first day of quarantine my gardener gave to me The schools closed indefinitely On the second day of quarantine my grocer gave to me No toilet paper and the schools closed indefinitely On the third day of quarantine my congress gave to me
Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. With tell us this is being brought to you live and recorded live at 9.24 p.m. Pacific Time. Right now, it is July 31st. We'll be in August by the time we're done with the show. Because we go very long, we go very late. And someone who goes fairly late until we can no longer have him because he falls asleep... Last week he messaged me, I can't keep my eyes open, Druff. I have to go. That is Trader Ruski. We're going to put him on right now. And while we're reaching him, we have a free roll going on right now. It is $65. A $65 free roll. Hello, Trader Ruski. What's happening, Druff? Glad to have you here. And we actually have a segment about you tonight, a subject that you wanted to discuss. We're going to have that third up. Anyway, we have a free roll going on right now. Started at 915 and you, have, you can register till 940. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. 33 for first, 20 for second, 12 for third. 33 for first, 20 for second, 12 for third. The money this week came from Hutmaster, who gave 100 bucks, so it was 50 last week, 50 this week. And a donation on behalf of Tasha, a.k.a. Karen Nathan's new apartment. That's what I was told to say. <laughs> Uh, by a regular listener to the show, Karen Nathan has been making some uh, interesting, let's just say, threads on Poker Fraud Alert's Flying Stupidity Forum. And some people have asked me, is that a dupe account? Is that a fake account? That's really like some dude, some regular of the forum, right? It's not a real female who is new to the forum. No, she's real. She is real. She actually came from a different forum that I also run called Vegas Casino Talk. She found her way over here. She is a verified real female. And... Whether she's putting on this kind of strange persona on purpose or if it's really the way she is, that's up for debate. That's been debated on other forums long before either of my two that she showed up on. But that $15 is on behalf of her. She didn't give it. It's on behalf of her. So 33, 20, and 12, you have till 940 to get in on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase, and you'll understand the rules and qualifications to get the free money, which, if you win, I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, and by other methods that can be used to send money around the Internet. PM me Dan Space Druff on the forum to claim your prize, Dan Space Druff. Alternate ways to claim the money, email dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com or text me. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. But I prefer the PMs. It's easier to keep track that way. That's where most people go to claim their free roll prizes. And let's see here. We have a chat room, a chat room that you can go into. Probably not that much longer before I have to change it because it's a flash chat room. You cannot get in unless you have flash on your device, meaning iPhones and iPads can't get in. And if your browser doesn't work there, that's probably why. But if you can get in, then you can go there. You need a forum account in good standing to get into the chat room. Only when we're broadcasting live, when we're in the archives, there is nobody chatting in there. Uh, I check it every so often, but Trader Ruski uh, looks also every so often. And let's see, we may have another co-host here that we can add. And I better get moving on this one, because if you don't get him at the beginning... You don't get him. You either have him for a long time starting from right around when the show 
gets going. If you or, don't get, or you don't get the him beginning. at all. Uh oh, we have an echo too. Turn off the show, please. Vintage one, hello. Welcome back to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. What's up, fellas? Long time no see. Yes, I'm. I'm glad that you've. Uh, What's happening? I'm glad you've returned to the show, Vintage One. Uh, having uh, a, a very unfortunate uh, death in the family, and that uh, sent him away for a while, very understandably. But uh, <laughs> yes, it did. But we're uh, we're very happy to have him back. And uh, uh, I was uh, Trader Ruski said you got to get him on right now, otherwise we may not get him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay. Hey, well, let me tell you, the the poker community has been very, very great to me and my family and you included trader ruski was uh a very valuable part of it all and i appreciate you guys and um i thank you well you no know, problem and uh I, I still feel bad for you and what occurred especially being that it was so unexpected and uh this is something you never completely get over but uh, of course uh, sure. time makes it uh a little bit more tolerable and uh uh, glad you're back on the show, and we can go forward as we did before. So, uh, so anyway, let's. Uh, Brandon may come on later too. He texted okay. me. That, he texted me that as well. So, uh, I will do the rest of the intro, and then we will get going. The phone number to the show: seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. All the co-hosts are coming out of the woodwork tonight. Look! Look at this! Look at this! We have somebody else here. Who's the somebody else we have here? It's a voice we've heard before, occasionally. Go ahead, voice. Speak. How you doing, Druff? Trader Ruski? Wow, Calwatt. Calwatt. That's, now, that one's a surprise. I had no idea he was going to be here this week. What's going on, gentlemen? Well, what's, we're, up, what's up? How you doing, brother? I can't believe you're up at 1230. I know. It's shocking. I was up. I was watching some old UFC fights. Okay, well, whatever works, whatever keeps you awake. Cal Watt's another one. If you don't grab him near the beginning of the show, then he doesn't get on either. Though for a different reason, he falls asleep. Vintage one, just it's like a mystery. With vintage one, if you just don't get him at the beginning, he just vanishes. So I, yeah, I, I mean, in fairness, it's after midnight here already, right? I'm not blaming you, know? you. I'm just stating that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just explaining to everybody the way this all works. It's a, it's a delicate balance here with the co-host. The only, the only one I can just count on is just there. Is Trader Ruski. Trader Ruski, I know he's just always there. Everybody else, I have to figure out the formula to get them on here uh, more often. So, okay, Calwatt, very happy to have you as well. And uh, well, if we have Brandon, it's uh, we have, may have the problem with too many co-hosts. So maybe uh, I know we're going to have to get Mike on soon. You know? <laughs> it'll be like an old school party line. Let's let's uh, not go that far. Let's not go that far. Okay, so. Uh, let's see here. The call to listen line. You can't forget about that. The call to listen line still works. The number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. You can call it from any phone in the world, no smartphone or app required, and it will not cost you any data. It's just like a regular phone call. It's a beautiful thing, Except unless you have T-Mobile, and it's not so beautiful because it costs you one cent a minute. But anyone else can call it uh, like a regular phone call, 605-313-0736 or 641-741-1095. Is the alternate number. Just click on the radio tab near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com if you forget these numbers because they're not very memorable. The Mount Charleston line is a line you can use to call into the show. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. And the main phone number, 775-FRAUD55, also to call into the show. 
And you can text that main phone number, 775-FRAUD55, if you wish to reach me before, during, or after the show, and I will respond to you. I really will. Well, not all the time, but usually. So that's all the information, other than the agenda, before we get going. But uh, I do want to make one quick announcement. iHeartMedia, which I've been battling with for about uh, two months. I I put out the announcement like two months ago that we're going to have our show on iHeartMedia, and then it didn't happen. They agreed to put us on, but they had technical issues, and you wouldn't believe, maybe I'll post it later, the back and forth with me and tech support. It was uh, laughable. It reminds me of my back and forth at WSOP.com a few years ago. So I I thought it was never going to get solved, but uh, like two days ago, they finally solved it, and we are now on iHeartMedia. So if you get the iHeart app, or just go to the iHeartMedia website. You can search for Poker Fraud Alert Radio and put spaces between Poker Fraud and Alert, just Poker Space Fraud Space Alert, and you will find Poker Fraud Alert Radio right there starting this week, starting like two days ago. It actually works now on the iHeartMedia app. We're also on Spotify. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher. We're on the TuneIn app. We're on the Bullhorn app. We are on Google Play for the Android people. There's so many ways to listen to the show. I keep adding. I don't subtract, I just keep adding. I want there to be like a hundred ways to listen. But iHeartMedia, I had the patience with them because they're a pretty large operation. I want to be on there. So I I needed them more than they needed me. But nevertheless, we are on there and it finally works. So uh, let me get the agenda, then we'll get going. Hey, Druff, are you ready for the Day of Reckoning, though? Oh, I know. I I already mentioned it about the Flash, I know. It's coming. Not just not just the chat room, but also like the radio player. Like that just does yes, not work. I know, I know, I know. People yeah. have been complaining about it. Yeah, that's. I mentioned it last week on the show. I'll mention it again. Calwat, he's giddy about this. He loves when Flash. I have Flash problems because he hates Flash, and he's he's wanted me to do away with Flash for a long time, and I have resisted. And uh, at the end of the year, Flash is going to no longer have support, and I'll be forced. But I'm pretty much already being forced because, uh, as he mentioned, the radio player to listen live does not work very well anymore because of uh, the Flash issues. So I am working on replacing all of this Flash stuff, and I'll make an announcement about this uh, when that is done. But uh, actually, thank you for reminding me, though. I do have to do it. As much as, uh, as much as I hate to, I know that sometimes the time comes for change to occur. It is time, Druff. It is time. Like, Flash is like the Model T of the web world. I know. Like you you, you got you to gotta go with that Tesla now, man. You know, yeah. it's just, I just, Flash was kind of like, it was like a relationship that was flawed, but kind of still worked, so I didn't want to break up. And then yeah, I, get I, it. Then I find I get out it. that the, that the girl's going to be leaving <laughs> me. She says, I just want to let you know, pretty soon I'm going to be leaving you. It's kind of like Perlot Friedman's wife. But okay, but anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> um, wow. Daniel, uh, so here's the, the agenda this week. Daniel Negreanu, a lot of no, news with him this week. First, he got banned from Twitch as a result of the crazy video he made where he was threatening somebody. He was threatening some troll who insulted his wife. And then because of that, he got banned from Twitch. Now, we played the meltdown on the show last week. Someone alerted me to it as I was doing the show. That wasn't a planned topic, but I squeezed it in there. And uh, I'll play it again this week. But he got banned from Twitch. And the second topic is that Doug Polk, after releasing a video mocking that entire thing and mocking Daniel's two meltdowns on Twitch and kind of mashing it up with his Masterclass advertisement. Uh, Negranu was none too happy, and then Polk challenged Negranu 
to a heads-up match, and Negreanu agreed. But there's more to it than that. So we're going to dive into the whole Negreanu-Polk thing, which was kind of quiet for a while because Doug Polk claimed he had retired from poker and from poker videos, but he came out of retirement for this. It's all because of Negreanu's meltdowns. Trader Ruski is the third topic. He really is. Trader Ruski is not going to sit back silent in the background any longer. He's going to go off on Bovada because Bovada cheated him out of a tournament ticket. He told me the story. I'm going to have him tell you guys the story. I will tell you right away he's 100% in the right. There's not even any question. He did get ripped off. It's not for a huge sum of money, but I, of all people, understand it is the principle that when you win something, you should get it and you should not get it taken from you in bullshit fashion, and that's what happened here. So we're going to have uh, Trader Ruski tell us about that, and uh, I hope he gets that resolved. But we will tell you about that during that segment. Ryan LaPlante used to be a listener to this show. He was a regular listener. He told me this when I first met him at the World Series of Poker. Ryan LaPlante is also one of the earliest openly gay male poker pros. He he and uh, Jason Somerville were probably the earliest two I can think of, gay males in poker who admitted they were gay males. Uh, Somerville's much better known than LaPlante was, but uh, LaPlante's gotten better known over the years. He won a bracelet. He He's a very prolific tournament player, and he's one of these guys at the World Series who's just like playing all day and all night every day for all seven weeks, something I couldn't do. I think I'm too old to do that, but he's like... He was, he was doing a lot of vlogging too, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and he has a training site, so he, he's a busy guy. He does a lot of things, and I I don't agree with him politically at all. We're very opposite politically. He's a social justice warrior. We, we don't agree politically at all, but uh, where I did have respect for him was the way he handled poker issues. We When it came to something poker-related, we tended to agree. When it came to anything else, we tended to disagree, but I, I did respect him for his uh, willingness to call out uh, BS in poker and to call out scammers and to call out uh, when casinos or online poker sites weren't behaving right. He was one of the voices against uh, the Bill Reney bullshit that went on on WCB.com. So a lot of times, like when he tweeted about poker stuff, I would retweet it or respond in agreement. And I, I think he respected me for that as well, even though he also does not like my politics. But anyway, he's, he hasn't listened to the show in a few years. I don't know why he quit. Probably political related, but he's in hot water. The cancel culture is coming after him, but maybe rightfully so. It has come out that Ryan LaPlante used racial slurs in chat, in poker chat, not just once, but multiple times over the years. So that's pretty bad, and I'm going to read some of the stuff he said. Now, some of this is many years ago, but I think some of it wasn't that many years ago. And uh, that's a bad look from someone who has been frequently calling others homophobes and racists. So that's a big controversy for him. We'll talk about that. You might have hundreds of dollars waiting for you on WSOP.com and don't know it. Now, that probably doesn't apply to any of us here on this show because... This really is for people who've played a lot there. I'm not sure if it applies to cash game players, but I know tournament players uh, definitely have something there if you've been playing a lot of WSOP.com bracelet events. And I think cash players as well, but a lot of people had hundreds of dollars waiting there and did not know. But thanks to Alan Kessler, many do know, and I'm going to pass the message along to you on how to find 
the money that might be waiting for you in your WSP.com account if you have played actively on there. Perlod Friedman, I mentioned him a few minutes ago. Yes, we're going to discuss him. People like the Perlod segments. People find them entertaining. So we're going to continue the Perlod updates. Yes, it's about his wife again. His wife might have left him already, or they might be separated in the same house. It's kind of hard to tell, but something isn't right with that relationship. It's not quite as obvious as last time, but uh, it could actually be more serious than last time. So we're going to delve into this. We get to that segment. A dude disguised as an elderly man had 83 different fake IDs for use of making fraudulent withdrawals from casino ATMs. And it was a very complex scheme that was working until, guess what? He got too greedy. It seems like all these criminals are either dumb or greedy or both. This guy wasn't dumb, but he was greedy. So he got caught, but it was actually a pretty clever scheme. And it was really only because of his greed that he got nailed for this. If he'd quit earlier, he would have never been caught. Well, thankfully, most people are not criminals because, you know, they decided to drop out of college to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. This guy wasn't dumb. It, he had a, it was a pretty clever scheme. He just didn't know when to quit. And that, that's a big problem, too, where you just like you feel it's working and then you go, I could quit now and probably get away mm. with it, but there's so much more money I could make from this. Why would I stop now if I've got away with it so far? So that was that was probably his thinking. It didn't work out. I have an update on a story we did back in November about mentally ill poker pro Mark Bateman, also known as Mark Ari. You may have heard back in November the clips I played of him. On uh, he, he did some live streaming of a weird confrontation he had with police. It was very clear he was mentally ill and he was held for a while and we kind of lost track of it. We kind of forgot about the story. It was never a big story within poker. Like hardly anyone cared about this. I know that uh, that Hanson kid cared about it. He actually brought my attention to it. But uh, most other people did not know or care about this. I thought it was more interesting than it got credit for. In, in the general poker media. Like, just hardly anyone knew about it, and when it was brought up, people didn't really seem to react much. But I, I have an update on that story, and it's not good news. A Poker Fraud Alert listener attempted to play WCB.com in the Seniors event, and he got denied because the Seniors event buy-in was $500, and he had a $200 max loss limit on his account. <laughs> and then he couldn't remove it. He could not remove the $200 max loss limit. So I'm going to discuss that small fail on the part of WCB.com. Not entirely their fault, a little bit his fault too, but we'll get into that when we uh, talk about that situation. We have some coronavirus discussion this week, as always. Only three topics, but the first one will be about the 12 different vaccines in development. A lot of people don't know much about the vaccines in development. They just kind of know what's happening, but they don't know much about them. You may feel better about the future of this country and the world and your life returning to normal when you hear about these 12 vaccines being developed. Maybe one of the 12 will be very effective. So I will read details for all of them and give you my opinion of what we can expect with these vaccines. And I have two other coronavirus topics after that. Then I will talk about Vital Vegas getting smacked down on Twitter, not by a person, but by another business, by the Sahara. The Sahara is fighting with Vital Vegas on Twitter. And the Sahara is right, by the way. So we'll talk about that. Two Nevada casinos, not in Vegas, 
and also a bowling alley in Lake Tahoe may be fined for COVID masking violations where they weren't forcing people to wear masks when they were supposed to. Colorado, I don't know if any of you have gambled there. Anyone here gambled in Colorado? Like physically? Yeah, I've been there. You haven't been they, there? They have some yeah. really weird, like they, they can only play spread limit or something and there's a max bet or yes, some shit like that's that. that's exactly it. They, they originally yeah. had uh, a max bet, I'm not kidding, a max bet of $5. That was that was the most you could bet at once. Now you could do multiple fives. You could go five, 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 five. But, but each bet has to be $5 max. They did away with that only in recent years and moved it up to 100 But that's still the maximum single bet, which is very tough for poker. For blackjack, it's not bad because you can still play decent limits uh, if, if betting up to $100. But in poker... When you can't put in more than a hundred dollars in the pot, that that kind of sucks, as you guys all know. So they're they're trying to get that overturned, and I'll tell you about that effort that's being done state to turn the hundred dollar statewide max into something higher. Finally, some people have been busted for human smuggling into Macau, but it's not what you think. It has to do with smuggling gamblers into Macau. That really happened. And the smugglers and the gamblers have been caught. I'll tell you about that as our final segment of the night. I wonder who will still be around then. Probably no one. Probably just me. Hopefully I can make it through because I have a headache. I get 250 approximately tension headaches per year. You didn't hear that wrong. 250 per year. And you may wonder why I'm not concerned that this is something very bad that could be dangerous for me. It's because this has been going on since the 90s. And my mom had them since, like, the 70s. So what is it like, Druff? Like, what is it when you get one of these tension headaches? What does it do to you, and how does it affect you? Well, okay, so the only good news about them is that they're usually not severe. They're not like a migraine. They're not debilitating. Once in a while they are, but usually they're not. Because, I mean, I've got kids. I get headaches all the time. I don't know. <laughs> like, well, is this different? Like, what is it? Well, it might be different. My, mine come from my neck, from the back of my neck. I can feel a line of pain moving up from my neck to the back of my head, which then makes my head hurt. And it's, it's kind of like a mild to moderate headache, and it will sit with me until I get rid of it in some way. If I try to go to sleep, that will not work. I can sleep as long as I want. I'll wake up. It's right there with me. And usually taking aspirin will do away with it. About 95 to 97% of the time, aspirin works. When that does not work, then I have to take a Vicodin, but that's not very often. It's probably once every few months, so... I don't become a Vicodin addict, but uh, this was one of those nights I had to take a Vicodin for the. Uh, is it is it debilitating? Does it prevent you from doing things? Or no, it most of the time. It... Once in a while, it does. Most of the time, no. Most of the time, it's an annoyance, but it's bothersome. So when like I, when I'm about to start a very long radio show, that's not what I want to feel because I, I know I have to sit here for hours and hours and hours feeling this as I talk. Uh, I get more in the winter and in the summer than any other time of year. Uh, I get them in the spring and fall. What the hell also. was that? That was uh, Santa Claus coming down my chimney. Uh, okay. <laughs> he comes for Jews, too, just just uh, a little bit late, seven months late. Yeah, it's, it's July 31st, not December 31st. But anyway, uh, they, they they come for me in the summer and the winter, and I figured out the reason for it. It's because temperature change does it to me. When I When an air conditioner comes on, when a heater comes on, when I walk from one place that's warmer to somewhere cooler or vice versa, somehow an abrupt temperature change that you usually get because heating or air conditioning is on, 
that causes this, among other things. I, I get it. A number of things can cause it, but that's one of the big ones. So, like, during the summer at the World Series of Poker, this happens to me a lot. So I always have at least two aspirin, usually four, in case I get two of them, in my pocket when I'm playing World Series events. Because I get these so often. Because, like, that's another thing. Like, would you want to sit there and play the World Series of Poker for all those hours with a, a headache the entire time? So, like, I can function. I'm not – that's why I'm able to do the show tonight. It's just annoying. Yeah, playing poker is about the last thing I would want to do with a headache. Right. You know? and that's, so that's why I have the pills. Now, the good thing is the, the pills do usually do away with it. And usually it's just regular aspirin. I'll never have to worry about being one of these old people who forgets to take their aspirin for their heart. I'll, I think I'll be taking that my whole life. But uh, there, there's some reports about COVID-19 that about aspirin that it's bad for you. And I'm like, no, I, I can't stop it. I don't care. I'm not going to just live with this headache. Because if I, if I don't take the aspirin, I'll just have it 24-7. Then I found out later the aspirin's probably good. So I think I actually might be helping myself. But who knows? It's, it's changing constantly. All right, let's get going. I want to talk about what happened with Daniel Negreanu. Uh Vintage, when are you still here? You, got, you went kind of quiet. I'm here, baby. Well, okay. I'm surprised. You're usually not this quiet. Trader Risky is quiet often, but you're... I'm just muting it now. I've learned. Oh, okay. Okay. It's, I, I like hearing from you. So, Daniel Negreanu, he's had a pretty active week. He has been in an endless battle with Doug Polk, as we've talked about before on the show, as I'm sure most of you are aware. One thing I want everyone to understand, and, and I'm not really on any side in this. I, I kind of see both sides of this one. But before we even get anywhere with this... It's important to know they have never liked each other. It was not just because of the more rake is better thing or since Negreanu joined Poker Stars. I mean, that's what Polk will tell you. If you ask Polk, why don't you like Negreanu? Oh, he's a hypocrite. He, uh, he's a sellout, blah, blah, blah. You'll get all those answers from Polk, but that's not really true. There's footage I found. I don't have it with me right now. I found footage from like 09 where they were arguing on some kind of live poker broadcast. They, they just never liked each other. So when Polk had the opportunity to bash him, once Polk became a, a, a bigger name, not bigger than Negreanu, but a, a bigger name than he was before, and his channel started to get more and more popular, and he found himself with a golden opportunity to bash Negreanu, which accomplished two things. Number one, it got him way more views. And number two, he got to bash someone he didn't like. So that's a one-two punch of positivity <laughs> for Doug Polk. Like, uh, how happy are you when you can increase your views by bashing someone you dislike? So that's, now, that's, how much do you think that Polk dislikes him? You, you think he dislikes him quite a bit, right? Oh, I think he hates him. He's just disgusted by him. Yeah. He now, does. Can you imagine if if Polk like put in the hair gel, put on the Axe body spray, <laughs> and went out and and fucked Amanda? <laughs> can you imagine like Daniel would be out of his fucking mind probably, if he's if he's flipping out in Twitch? Can you imagine? He'd probably take out a contract on him, but. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, do you think Polk would do it just to just to get? Oh, him I, I, oh he, if he had the opportunity, I'm sure he would. But <laughs> yeah, Polk Polk definitely hates him, and and Polk I think kind of convinced himself to hate him even more than he did before because Polk had to justify in his mind. It's not Polk isn't sitting here like ha ha ha, I'm an evil mastermind. I'm fucking with Negranu. He's thinking to himself, I'm doing good here. Negranu's actually a bad guy. Negranu's actually a piece of shit. Uh, this this is deserved. Even if I get more views for it, this is deserved. So. I always. I felt, think he could do it though, Drop, because like, Amanda is not known for saying no to poker players. Well, but so, who knows? I mean, it's it's hard to, in the past. Yes. Well, you watch out. He's going to have a tirade <laughs> against you now, Negreanu. But uh, um, and what? Now he's been in the gym, man. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's very aggro now, man. He, he's got the roid rage going on. Yeah, good for him. I, I kind of thought about that. I, I, it's five fun. foot seven and angry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but Napoleon complex. Really tackle punch. 
So, but anyway, oh, I, I, I will say this: that Polk has. I don't agree with the level of Polk's uh, vitriol towards him. I don't think Negreanu deserves the type of hate he gets, and the t- like. There's many people who are way more deserving than Negreanu, and Polk is like focused almost all of his wrath upon Negreanu. So it really that's, is a it really is a personal true. thing. However, Negreanu is not a saint, and he's brought up a lot of this upon himself. That he did. Uh, uh, he, he says a lot of outrageous and controversial things on Twitter. He, he's uh, super opinionated. He, uh, he did make a lot of excuses for some of the unethical, not scammy, but kind of unethical behavior on the part of poker stars when, when Amaya owned them and, and did it in kind of an arrogant and unapologetic fashion that sure. rubbed people that's, the wrong that's way. That's his biggest downfall, Drop, is he just thinks his shit doesn't stink. You know, he just is so high on himself and whatever he thinks is just the word. And it's it's very unbecoming. Yeah. And that's and that's what gets a lot of people angry with him. And that's why Doug Polk's uh, like it's kind of mixed. If you look at the opinion on social media about what Doug Polk does, some people think this is great. This is funny. Daniel Daniel deserves it. And you see others going oh, you know, Polk, you're an asshole. You're you're immature. This is petty that you're obsessed. This is stupid. So I've, I've seen kind of both sides of it. Of, of what people are responding. I really am in the middle. Like, uh, when I see this, I go, yeah, I don't go, yeah, get Negreanu. Yeah, he's terrible. And I, I don't go, oh, man, that's bad. Why is Polk doing this? It's not fair. Like, I, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I really, I understand why Negreanu is like, what the hell? Why is he coming after me so hard? What did I do? And I also understand why Polk is like, um, hey, I don't like you, and you're not, sure. you're not innocent here. I mean, I do have some sympathy for, for Daniel to some extent because anytime you get any kind of an audience – you're going to get a bunch of haters, right? I mean, it just yeah. kind of goes with the territory. doesn't really matter who you are. Um, and there certainly are lots of people that are douchier and scumbaggier in poker than, than Daniel has been. On the other hand, you know, I mean, you know the way the Internet works and the way trolls are. Anytime they see any kind of weakness, any kind of reaction from anything, they're just going to go in for the kill. Like, I, I would love to know. What that guy said in chat that just said Daniel. Yes, off I would on love that to. Tirade, man. I gotta have some guesses, like I without even seeing. So it, it's got to be on two plus two or somewhere. No, I don't. Somebody's I don't think anyone found it. I, I I wish this guy would come out. This Tom Estrada. I don't know who he is, but I, I wish he'd come out and and just repeat what he said, unless unless he thinks Daniel's like roid raging is going to kill him. I don't know, but uh, you know it had something to do with Amanda. No, like it, it did. Had to no, have, it did. Right? Amanda, you know? Amanda admitted it had to do with her. She she put it out okay. there. Okay, yeah, and so. and so that makes it all the, all the better if. If Polk could kind of weasel his way in there, like Daniel would just go ballistic, you know. So uh, yeah, so yeah. I mean, that's that you bring you bring up a good point about him with the trolls because for whatever reason, Daniel just hasn't learned how to handle the trolls on Twitter. He he'll ignore a lot of them, but then he'll just one or two will set him off, and it's not even like trolls that that have a big audience like Polk. I'm talking like like random trolls like this Thomas Strata will say something offensive, and he'll just flip out. And when you, yeah. when you're when you're just gotta let it go. Yeah, especially you know? if it's a nobody. If it's a nobody attacking you, no one's gonna care what they say. And on Twitter, not many people are gonna see it because they don't have a big audience. So oh, it's next level though. Negrano now, because I, I was watching some of his uh, his uh, uh, vlogs and his he streams an hour a day on World Series of Poker when he was event bracelet hunting, and this guy just loses his shit and. I mean, he really, you would think he's on roids because he goes absolutely ballistic and then he'll always end it as if he's kind of joking and he's sorry. 
So, I mean, he's like all over the place. It's pretty frightening. You know, someone else mentioned that. It's not normal for him. Someone else mentioned that uh, on the forum. Someone had mentioned that they noticed the same thing, that starting not too long ago that he started like displaying a temper on these broadcasts where before he didn't. So I don't know if this is something new that that's happening you know something like like roid rage or just some change in his personality or if he's just been suppressing it all this time and the real him has come out well there's someone here who is what happened we, we had him brandon are you here we had brandon and he's gone no i think he might have a bad connection went off I think Negranu has always been a little insecure about women and girlfriends and stuff like that. Now he feels so so confident with Amanda that now he just feels like he's the king of the world. Well, that's what I was wondering, Druff, is that, you know, he's Negranu's got plenty of money. He's got fame. If something is really upsetting him and causing him to have a personality change like this, I wonder if everything is okay at home with Amanda, to be honest with you, you know, especially if the comment was about her that set him off. Maybe he's, you know, a little overly sensitive about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've wondered that, too, if there's something going on with him. But, okay, Brandon Drexel Gerson, we, we have, hold on, we have another co-host. We now have uh, our fourth too, co-host on here. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Way too many cooks. What's going on, I, Brandon? You know what I wish I could do? I wish I could just spread this. I <laughs> just hung up. <laughs> okay, God whatever. damn it. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get him back when we Bastard. I'm going to have to pay him some money to go out for a slushie or yeah. something. <laughs> too many cooks in the kitchen, he hangs up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Before he comes back, though. I will say, you know, Negreanu, you know, he used to play at the Mirage. I used to see him there before fucking the Bellagio even opened, you know? So it's like he's been the one putting his dues. When all the online poker shit started, he was the one who knew Russ Hamilton was a scumbag. And even the rest of the Full Tilt people. You know, so you got to give him props for that. And I just feel like that buys him a ton of... Uh, that version of Scalancy. Oh, he's a bad dude, but I, I think Alawat's right that there might be some trouble in paradise because if you watch these vlogs, it's absurd. Amanda's always sleeping. You, you, you never see her. She doesn't come out of <laughs> the room until about two in the afternoon. That's a good point. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, you don't see her that much. Yeah, that's, it's, it's whispering in his gym at like 1 p.m. because she's going to get mad at him if he wakes her up. <laughs> I mean, it's absurd. And you just yeah. see her. She has piles of Amazon boxes that aren't even open in his living room. She is just living high on the hog right now. Yeah, well, oh my goodness. I'm going to play you. Yeah. Well, gonna... the quarantine, just being stuck together, too, that cannot help. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. That is just a real test there, too. But, I mean, it, it, he's too volatile to be this extremely happy-go-lucky guy. But you know what I mean? Like, there are lots of people that have less in life than Daniel does that are relatively happy. And a lot of the times it's because they have a good, they enjoy their career and they've got a good home life and all that kind of good stuff. And so it makes me think that, you know, there's something going on in his life that is just not good, you know? Yeah. And it, Amanda or his relationship with her is, is an obvious candidate, I think. Yeah, def- I agree. definitely. Okay, so I'm going to play you guys in case some of you haven't heard it. If you didn't listen to last week's show, here's the really big meltdown that's gotten more attention. The one about a week or two weeks before that also got attention where he was mad that he lost connection at WSB.com. But here is God, he should week. be used to this shit by yeah. now. I mean, for God's sake, here's the one from you know? last week. But I, I the, the losing connection, like 
we've all had that who've played online poker, and it is very right. frustrating. Uh, I, I haven't reacted the way he does, but I, I can picture being really frustrated when that happens. But th- when, when some troll bashes you, that's that's what's like you can't respond the way he did here. But I'm gonna well, real quick, Jeroff, you mustn't forget that. Uh... Daniel is very crafty in the way he hypes. He always wants to talk shit about WSOP.com without actually talking shit about it because all he wants to do is push G, uh, GG poker. So it's it's all very well crafted too, his, some of his moves. And I think that's also what Doug Polk hates because he sees right through all his bullshit. Uh, possibly. Okay, I'm going pl- to play here this, uh, this clip. And this was last week when he melted down and uh, this actually uh, got uh, deleted. It was not on YouTube. It was, uh, it was originally put up on someone's Twitch channel and then it, it vanished. I don't know why. I don't even know who put it up, but uh, here it is again. This is thanks. Thanks to seriously serious who is uh, works for Doug Polk and is also hated by Negreanu. That's a shocker that seriously serious. So seriously, got a copy of seriously it. serious had a copy of it here. <laughs> And and here and he put it back up. So here, thanks to him, we get to play this for you again. Here it is. Hey, Thomas Strata, go fuck yourself, you piece of shit. <laughs> Lock that p- cock motherfucking piece of shit. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you in your ass. How about that? Okay, Thomas Strata, fuck you in your ass. Eat some of that piece of shit. Come fucking step to me and say that, and I will knock you the fuck out. How about that? Huh? I'm not fucking around. I will break your fucking teeth if you come step to me. And I will feed them to you anally. How about that? How about that? <laughs> okay, that'll teach you for a fucking stupid comment like that. You know I have Ace King, right, bro? <laughs> okay, he's doing some shit over here. Get me all heated with dumb comments. Okay, so that that was the uh, thing he got suspended for. So they, they Twitch actually. I actually like the feed him to you anally. Though. Yeah. that was pretty good. <laughs> well, he he expands upon this, but uh, here here's what uh, he said on Twitter about it afterwards. He said, you should have heard me on the stream, told the guy I was going to break his teeth and then feed him back to him anally. And so somebody asked him, what did the guy say? It must have been something pretty out of bounds. And he said, here's a hint. It was about my wife. Come at me and I'll laugh. Come at my wife and you'll get the band hammer. Uh, so uh, he said, haha, it, it was fun for me. I enjoyed unleashing and do occasionally. Now, this already kind of left some people scratching their heads like what is going on here between the complete freakout when he was losing connection on July 10th and then this one. Has Negreanu gotten a pass for his blackface stuff, by the way? You know, the blackface is Because there are lots of people that have not gotten a pass for that. Well, this is, this is interesting. So he did the blackface thing in 2006. Uh, he was pretending to be a Jamaican guy. I don't believe there was any racist intention behind it. I don't think he was trying to mock black people. I think he was trying a comedy bit that he didn't understand uh, that you don't do. You just don't do blackface, even in 2006. Even, even in oh, 19... I, I think there are lots of people that have done it and not intended well, right. badly, but they still haven't escaped. Right. You know? So so, so I, as far as the blackface accusations, uh, like he did it for sure. And, of course, Seriously Serious saved that video and reposted it too. But, no. uh, but he, he did it, and he did it in 2006 when he should have known not to do it. Like I, I knew – a long time before 2006 that you don't do blackface, but he did it. Uh, as I said, I don't think he meant it offen- offensively, but the thing is, he still hasn't apologized. He should just come forward and say, look, uh, it was a bad choice. I did not mean anything 
offensive. I wasn't trying to make fun of black people. I just uh, I was just trying to pretend to be a Jamaican. I thought it would be a funny bit, and uh, and I'm sorry I shouldn't have done it. And that's that. And just you know, quickly not put out a long social justice warrior type thing about white privilege or nonsense like that, but just just put out, hey, I shouldn't have done it. I realize that that's something that's rude. And when I did the video, I wasn't thinking of that, and I'm sorry, and it was 14 years ago, but I still shouldn't have done it. That's it. But he still hasn't apologized as far as I know, and I think he should. And so that's been kind of following him around because Doug Polk brings it up and Serious and Serious brings it up and other people who've seen those videos bring it up. So anyway, speaking of Serious and Serious, uh, he did a video for Doug Polk, which then Doug Polk distributed. And keep in mind, Doug Polk quit with all the Negreanu videos months ago because he retired. But uh, I guess they couldn't help but do this because they saw these meltdowns. And they're like, oh, Doug, why aren't you doing videos anymore? They're probably, yeah, probably him and Seriously Serious are going, oh, man, we, why, have we, why don't we do this anymore? You'd be perfect. And Doug's like, well, I guess we could do one. So Seriously yeah. Serious. How could they resist? Yeah, so Seriously Serious, know? they couldn't resist. They put one together. Doug released it. Now, most people think Doug did it, but it, it was Seriously Serious's video just distributed by Doug. And, and DeGrana knew that too. But – I'm going to play you this video, which even though it's uh, not a video show, you'll be able to understand from the audio of what's going on. This is uh, the meltdowns spliced in with the masterclass advertisement that Negreanu has. <laughs> it was nice a very funny present. Like this was a, this was a very funny video. This is a very funny video. Full disclosure, I'm not going to get into it, but me and Seriously Serious uh, a few weeks ago, we we had some uh, some disagreements. We had some uh, we're past it now. We we've we've, uh, we've made up, but uh, Seriously Serious and I had some issues, but I, I can admit this was a uh, a funny video and I laughed at it and and this was most people really thought this was humorous, and this was uh, put together very well. And what can I say? Negranu gave him plenty of material to do it with. So here it is, and yeah. you can still find it on Serious the Serious's channel. Uh-oh, Todd would tell his video is coming next. Right, that's, that's why I had to make up with him. <laughs> I, I knew how I was dealing with it. I was just like, you know what? I can either keep feuding and be the next target of him and Doug Polk, or I can nip this in the bud. So here's the video, and... You can still find it on his on Sirius and Sirius's channel. It was deleted from Doug Polk's channel, and I'll explain why after I play this. You need to understand that everything you do at the poker table conveys information. You can't be like, go fuck yourself, piece of shit. So there's three basic characteristics. One is, if the rate is too high, it's actually better. The other is, fuck the pros. Yeah. <laughs> when you're at a poker table, your true colors come out. Cock fuck. If you're a bad loser, that's going to shine through. Fucking like this fucking computer. The third part is what I call discipline. It's on me. What the fuck, man? It's not. You okay, buddy? Don't. It's okay. Don't. Don't worry. I'm not yelling at you. Poor puppy. Sad. All right. You make me sit up. I'm going to share things that I've actually never shared before. For example, I look at a guy and say, I will break your fucking teeth if you come step me. And I will feed them to you anally. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. You're sick human. <laughs> but when you smoke the ganja, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Learning nothing from those mistakes is the mistake. I'm Danny Negreanu, and fuck you, fuck you, fuck you in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's fucking right. brilliant. That, that I mean, oh. that is funny word. 
And you, you should see the video with this. Like you, there is, you see the blackface videos spliced in. You see, you see when he's parked in the handicapped spot, when he says, I made a lot of mistakes. Like you see all these different things that are spliced, like all his best moments that were spliced into this and it all, it all fit in perfectly. And then now, you imagine what, if someone videotaped Daniel's reaction when he watched the video, they probably, oh my God. It's probably oh, several things broken in the house. Fake laugh, but it hurts him deep inside. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. That, so, that is, that is beautiful. That's a work of art. That, that was, was wonderful. That was very, ever. very, very positive response to that on the internet. People thought that was uh, hilarious. <laughs> and, they did have to remove one thing before reposting it, and it actually it suddenly actually originated on Poker Fraud Alert, believe it or not. So this is what happened. Uh, some time ago, a few years ago, uh, Seriously Serious was playing around and in some thread about Negranu, and someone asked him to like Photoshop Negranu uh, like with a dildo in his mouth. So Negranu actually had really there was some video of him, I don't know where it's from, but him sitting at the World Series doing kind of like a motion, his mouth almost like he's sucking a dick. He was joking about something. So, <laughs> so of course, seriously took the seriously serious took this, and this is in the Poker Fraud Alert thread. He wasn't doing this for Doug Polk or for for Twitter. He did this on Poker Fraud Alert, and he he photoshopped in a dildo going a pink dildo, a bright pink dildo going in and out of his mouth. Then he added a black dildo in. Uh, in Negranu's hand while he was doing that, and then someone, and then people were laughing, and he's like, "Hold on, one more thing." And then he added a Choice Center logo in the bottom left. <laughs> oh man, why'd they have to take that out? So, That's wonderful. So, so that was done on Poker Fraud Alert, and somehow this got back to Daniel, and that was really the turning point. Remember, this is a few years ago. That was the turning point from when Negranu went from going, okay, you know, seriously serious, he works for Doug Polk, I'm not going to hate him for it, he's just doing his job, to I fucking hate this guy. So it was that moment, and Negranu has referred to him before as, quote, the dildo guy, uh, because because of that gif. He hated that gif. I've seen Negranu reference it several times on Twitter before, where he talks about, oh, you photoshopped dildos in my mouth, and like he's always bringing that up. So that was the gif that turned everything to where he hated Seriously Serious too. So anyway, that was put at the very end of the video. At, at the very, very end of this video, you see that. So someone, I'm wondering if it was Daniel, reported this to YouTube, and YouTube deleted it for sexual content. So, so they Seriously Serious reposted this on his own channel, but he had to remove that end because otherwise it would be deleted all over again. So at, at least the way it currently is, is standing. Now, you may wonder, does... Daniel have... Oh, there's, there's sexual content up on YouTube, though. That's weird. That's what I wasn't understanding. There must be some sort of line you can't cross there. Maybe you can't uh, you can't have overt like dick sucking on there or dildo sucking. I don't know. But the, apparently that was beyond the line, according to YouTube. Now, hmm. now Negranu actually put out sort of a statement about uh, everything, but he was kind of joking. He planned on uh, July 27th on his stream that he, what he was going to do was uh, he was going to put on a suit and he was going to make this very serious sounding statement. That's actually a joke. He, he was trying to do it to kind of like laugh at himself to make himself uh, make it look like he's not taking this so seriously. The problem was, I guess they had some sort of technical fail and they couldn't get it done. So then the ground kind of did it in the middle of a stream when he finally got it going. So it kind of destroyed the momentum, but nevertheless, he did make his statement and I'm going to play it for you. This was uh, on July 27th, this is a few days later. And this is after he already got banned from Twitch. And this was in the middle of – this was during the uh, $400 No Limit Freeze Out 
stream he did. Had he already seen the video? Yes. Okay. I'm sure he saw it like within moments of when it was made. <laughs> so here, here is uh, Daniel's statement on the matter, which this one hasn't gotten that much play. Like the other stuff I played you, everyone's seen by now. But uh, the response, because it was buried in his WSOP online event number 27 stream, most people didn't see this. So here it is. Here's him in a suit reading a prepared statement. You know, formally apologize for suggesting that uh, breaking the troll's teeth and then feeding them to him anally is the appropriate way to deal with an opposing viewpoint. Uh, the process is lengthy and tiresome and not at all practical. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to shatter teeth, and even for a practicing dentist, and, and even more difficult to place them individually in someone's rectum. So this is not the best way to handle a troll. In the future, I will simply ignore the comment and click the block button. I don't like saying I'm going to do something and then not deliver. And upon further reflection, it's become clear to me that I won't be able to pull something like that off. So my sincere apologies to any of you who saw this behavior and thought it was a workable solution to fixing the problem. So to correct my previous statement, I withdraw my comments that I would break your teeth and feed them to you anally if you step to me. Uh, this will not be possible. Uh, I was wrong to boast that I could do such a thing, and I take full ownership of my false statement. I believe that should do it. Unfortunately, we busted, as you saw. So until tomorrow for the Omaha High Low, sorry, guys, short stream. But, uh, you know, accept my, accept, expect, accept my apology to those of you that thought that was a good way to handle things. It's now officially time for him to get rid of this shit. So he's taking off the suit now, and he's going back into his tank top. He's back in the tank top. What? See y'all tomorrow. Scoopy. <laughs> no, man, we had all these technical issues. I had it all down, but and then I busted right away on the damn stream. So, say lovey. Anyways, guys, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't disregard all the dumb shit I just said. But in all seriousness, yeah. Obviously, when I said that to the guy, I was like in a ragey, joking mode, and I'm a human being, and sometimes I get pissed off, and I say things that are just crazy, and I have Tourette syndrome too, which probably doesn't help. But uh, we're not going to blame it on Tourette. Wait, what? 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 Well, hold on a second. What the? F no. <laughs> no. Yeah, he says he has Tourette's, and he's had it for a while, and it manifests itself with his squinting that you see him doing oh, all the time. Oh gosh. I think he blames Tourette's for this. Like that's it sounded okay until that moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have done it. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, I, I probably lost my temper. But, oh, and I have Tourette's too. That's probably what did it. What? I mean, yeah, him, Negranu, Negranu in his tank top there. He looks about as threatening as a thirteen-year-old boy, though. That's you know what, what I mean? Saying, man, this guy's <laughs> over one hundred and thirty-five, and he's gonna. If you step to me, he's gonna knock your teeth out. That's yeah. the funniest part of the whole thing. Uh, I, I still like the, the. It's so funny though with that. He sounds so reasonable in the way he's describing it, and then he goes into the Tourette's thing. It's just people are like, "What?" Okay, I'm, I'm going to finish this off. I, I've known people that have had Tourette's, and I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure there are degrees of it, but he in the in the history of me watching him and and seeing him in person, like I, I don't, I have a hard time. Yeah, I know someone that, too. I, you know? I knew someone for a long time since the '80s who has Tourette's, and 
This guy, he didn't shit fuck pussy. Yeah, he it wasn't even so much like that. It was just he'd do a lot of throat clearing and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and uh, even if there is cursing, it's not so much like angry cursing at something you're really angry at. It's more like just kind of out of nowhere, it just slips out. So that that's not what happened here. This wasn't Tourette's. This was a bad temper, is what it was. That's that's all it was. And he should just say that. He, should, he said some well, shit about my right, wife, and I, I, and I had a bad temper, and I flipped out. But the blinking is a. Fo- but the blinking is a form of it, no? No, he might have like it, but that's... Well, vintage one says, right, but maybe it's like a lack of, to be able to control that. I mean, first of all, wasn't that kind of a trolling statement anyway? All he was kind of redoing is saying over and over how what he was going to do to the guy again. Well, yeah, he was, what was he did trolling, is... It was a trolling apology, but right. he just is kind of making it up as he goes along now when he just threw that – maybe it was the Tourette's as an afterthought. Well, you know, he's just reaching for everything. Well, right. Well, it, it, I mean, Tourette's is, like, uncontrollable, just... and he seemed very in control of what he was saying. You know what I mean? Yes, I, yes, I, I don't know. definitely. And and what I was going to yeah, say but... about his statement, you, may not have, you, you couldn't see it because I played you – only I could see the video there, but – the the in this video he, when he had the suit on that was him reading the prepared statement which was clearly a joke but then when he ripped the suit off and got back into the tank top that's when he was just ad libbing and he's going on no no in all seriousness guys and that's that's when he went into the real explanation for what happened which sounded good until the Tourette's but here let me let me play the rest of this and we'll hear if he says anything else stupid happens to be a fact um, and yeah so listen when someone comes at my wife. You know, with dumb shit, it triggers me a little more than it should. And 99% of the time, when, you know, trolls are in the chat, I just say, whatever, no big deal. I move on from it. I don't care. But, uh, I don't know. In this case, the guy just triggered me, so I went off on him, you know? And, uh, I just, there's a lot of weird things happening on Twitter and stuff like that with, uh, you know, people making the connection to like homophobic slurs. I talked to both my, well, my assistant and my chef, who are both, they bat for the other team. And when she bats for girls, he bats for guys, whatever. And they were, like, both confused as to how, like, what I said was homophobic, right? They don't get it. Like, I get how you can make that connection, but if you're doing that, you're really stretching and you're really searching. Well, I agree with that, but that's not what most people were saying. I, I didn't even see any a- allegations of homophobia there. I just kind of just saw that people were saying he's losing it <laughs> and that he's freaking out at some anonymous troll. That's That was the problem here and that also – how did GG Poker feel about this? Remember, he represents GG Poker. He's the face of GG Poker. He's not just some random guy in poker, or even just some random famous guy in poker. This is—he's representing a site. Like, don't you think that? Do you think this is what they wanted when they signed him? <laughs> he's telling people he's going to knock their teeth out and feed it to them anally. They, <laughs> I, I think this is part of why Poker Stars separated from him because of his erratic behavior. I, I also think because they weren't serving the U.S. and what little part of the U.S. they were serving wasn't profitable. So they, they, they really didn't want a U.S. player as uh, the face of the site, even though technically he's Canadian. But, oh, and he's a big-ticket item, too. Yeah, but, but I, I think some of it was because of his erratic behavior, that they just got tired of being a liability to them and they, they moved on. So I wonder if GD Poker is going, oh, my God, what did we do? <laughs> why, why did we sign this guy again? So he, he brings like he did bring some marketing value for sure, but this does hurt it somewhat. Like this, you, you don't want, and that's the thing. If you're going to take all the money, he took a lot of money. I don't know how much he took, but he took a lot of money from GG Poker to to be the face of the site. And Jeff, who the fuck? Yeah, I'm sure you've talked about this, but who the fuck is GG Poker and these 
They're giving away bracelets, like WSOP bracelets for the events that are running on there. What the fuck? It's it's they a it, $25 million guarantee for the main event. Yeah, it's it's a site that is trying very hard to be the top of the non-U.S. market. They're doing fairly well. But how did they get the blessing from the WSOP to actually have bracelet events? Like, I, what the I, fuck happened? I can tell you hey, how. It's Daniel Negreanu. That that probably has to do with the two. You're you're right. It's probably Negranu and and money, because they. Uh, but yeah, there's been some criticism because they got DDoS and weren't ready for it. So they yeah. had to, very first event. It was great. Yeah, I heard that conversation, and yeah, you, you're right. I mean, uh, I think Trader Ruski brought it up. It, in these days of Kubernetes and dynamically scaling clusters, like it's ridiculous that they. <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous that they would have capacity problems. Yes, it doesn't. Well, it wasn't so much. It was DDoS problems, but still, they doesn't they, doesn't matter. They have, doesn't they have matter. To Same for thing. It. Yeah. I mean, there there are plenty of ways that you can have DDoS protection, and I mean, it's just yeah, it was stupid. It's a it's a joke, and ah oh, man, I, I was talking to myself when I was listening to the last episode because you guys were also talking about the the Tim Possel thing and and Druff, If you knew how little technical skill the people had that set up the streams, both at, you know, all of these places, the bike, stones, all that kind of stuff. Like, they don't, there's no security going on. No, of course there's nothing. Of course. Nothing. No. So. Anyway, I'm sorry. Anyway, anyway, uh, so let let me see if there's anything further he says that's interesting. Okay. It's really silly. Okay. I said I would put teeth in his butt. That's hardly sexual. You know, stick, break his teeth and put him in his butt. Like, who says that? Well, it's obviously said. silly. Now, as for Twitch, listen, whatever. That's their prerogative. They have every right to uh, adhere to their TOC. I didn't read them, to be honest with you. Like, I never, nobody does. Like, most times you don't read a terms of service. So I didn't read the thing, and uh, I didn't realize that what I would done had broken the TOC. So I get it. They have every right to give me either a warning, since it's my first attempt, or a, you know, suspension. I think a permanent suspension is a little much, but if that's the case, so be it. You know, we move on. We still have plenty of opportunities to um, stream and, you know, continue to do this for here, and then we go to Mexico. Uh, As of right now, it just won't be on Twitch anymore, so if you did come here from Twitch, know that, you know, we're good here on YouTube, and if not, Facebook Live, Periscope, the whole deal, so... Yeah, I'm just looking at your comments here. See if you guys catch up. I'm kind of curious. All right, I've heard enough. But uh, that that was. If you want to see the rest of this, start at the 5:45 mark on Negranu's YouTube channel for the one called 2020 WSOP Online Event Number 27, and then you can watch the rest. But there is more to this story. We're not at the end here. That's just the beginning of it. That's the first half of it. That's the meltdown followed by the Twitch ban and the uh, subsequent apology. But there's more to it, which we're going to get into here. So let's talk about the aftermath and Doug Polk and his challenge. So, of course... Quick drop, you know, Sean D got real involved and was like champion Twitch to, to ban him. Yeah, well, Sean Deeb's not exactly unbiased because he hates Negranu too. Oh, of course, but he was like a—he was the first to start bringing up Twitch to ban him. So he—he he started that whole uh, parade. Yeah, I didn't even know that. But I'll say this: I'm not in support of any of these stupid bans. Like, I, I don't 
I understand he got banned there and he technically violated a rule, so I'm not saying the ban was unjust, but I never try to get people banned when these type of things happen. It's so stupid. I, I, I don't like these bans. You're obviously not a party to cancel culture then, no, Druff, because no, that's all the rage is no, canceling people off of whatever platform they have. Oh, I've talked about it on the yeah. show a lot, but I, I will say that I'm one who never I, – I don't think people should be banned for things like that, and I don't – think Negreanu should have been banned, but I understand it. I, I'm not saying it was an injustice. It's just, I, if I was in charge, I wouldn't have done it. Nor would I have like reported him or tried to get him banned. Now, maybe if I hated his guts and I just wanted to piss him off and I wanted to piss him off by getting him banned, I might try. But I'm saying as far as just someone in general who's observing this, I don't go, oh my god, he should be banned for this. I, okay. In fact, I, I don't want him banned. I, I think these things should stay up so we could see him. So, it's it's been hard with these videos getting deleted than having to count on Seriously Serious to to provide us copies, which he has, fortunately. So that was the first part. The second part has to do with Doug Polk. So this started on now July 28th. This is the day after Negreanu's uh, pseudo-apology. And Polk tweeted this. If this tweet gets 1,000 retweets, I will come back to poker for a No Limit Hold'em heads up for Rolls grudge match against Daniel Negreanu. He won't do it, though, because he knows he has no chance to win. And then Doug Paul continues with another tweet saying, in before he wants to play nine card Omaha, 12 or lower stud session, and then play one tournament and call it a day. I want a 25K hand, four table, heads up, no limit, throwdown. Let's fucking go. So for those of you that don't know what that means, Polk is saying that he's afraid Negreanu is going to accept, but only if they play some form of uh, mixed games, of, of several of which Polk has never played before. So he's saying, I'm not challenging him to just any games of his choice. I want to play heads up, no limit, and I want to do it for tabling where we play a minimum of 25,000 hands, or we play 25,000 hands, uh, period. And let's then go. Galpon challenge. Yes. But, but, it's interesting that he says heads up for rolls, though. I wonder what uh, he's actually thinking about throwing down there. Well, you know? we'll, we'll get to that. He, it, that was interesting, but it doesn't look like it's really for rolls. But, no, it's not. But, but anyway. Heads, oh, heads up. I got it. I got it, Druff. Heads up for Amanda. <laughs> oh, do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, maybe, my maybe goodness. Maybe Polk won't want to win. It'll be like, Polk will be like, yeah, it'll be heads up, but if you lose, Amanda is going to suck me off and you're going to watch. I'm going to cuck you. No, no, but, but what happens if Negreanu wins, though? He has to get something out of it. <laughs> right. So uh, how much is it worth, Cal Watt? What's the other side have to put up? Let's hear it. I don't know. I think it would be worth an awful lot to him. Maybe maybe if Daniel wins, then Polk will, Polk will give Daniel a blowjob. You know, let's see what's fair. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the maybe the anal thing he was talking about oh, yeah. so much. You know? Yeah, maybe maybe he's, maybe he's seriously serious. will loan him a couple of those dildos that he photoshopped. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so now keep in mind here, Doug Polk is a heads up, no limit specialist. That's by far his best game. In fact, he is considered possibly the best heads up, no limit player in the world. Doug Polk. So that's, uh, of course, he's challenging Negreanu to a form of poker that is his very best game and where he thinks Negreanu is an underdog, which he probably is. So Negreanu is in a little bit of a tough position there because he's either got to accept this challenge knowing he's the underdog or uh, or decline it and look like he's scared. So, so then, surprisingly, Negreanu was warm to this for 
reasons we'll get into. And Negranu responded back, number one, uh, I know you are anti-giving to charity to help others. That's fine. I'll explain what he means by that shortly. Number two, how much do you want to play for? Number three, what stakes? Number four, when? After WSOP mid-September to early October? You worked hard for this opportunity. I'll give the people what they want. And then he went on to tweet, 200-400 online. That's 200-400 blinds. Two tables. Hold them. Table stakes. If this will make you feel better and give you some sort of closure from your multi-year obsession with me, deal the fucking cards. And then he played that little uh, clip of uh, Teddy KGB from Rounders. So that was kind of an acceptance. But then some more information came out about it that made Negranu not look as good. So, uh, first of all, let me read the blog that Daniel posted on Full Contact Poker, which has been his longtime website. He posted this first blog since, like, November and explained why he accepted the challenge. Because some people are going, wait a minute, Daniel, why are you accepting the challenge from Paul? Don't you hate him? Like, why are you, why are you even giving the attention? Why, just, why not just ignore him? Why, why do you have to respond to heads up for roles? You could just say, no, I'm not playing with you. I don't like you. Keep away from me. That's, uh, that would have actually been a valid response. Like, he, he isn't required to play heads up for roles just because Doug's challenging him. So here's, here's Daniel explaining why he accepted it, which I was wondering, too. Why I've accepted the challenge. On one hand, you have someone who played and studied a specific format for most of his playing career, referring to Doug Polk, and was the self-proclaimed best in the world at it. On the other hand, you have me who has a total of approximately six weeks total playing this format in my 46 years on the planet. He will try to tell you that he hasn't played in a couple of years, so somehow that evens the playing field, but I haven't played this format in about 10 years, and when I did, it was approximately a six-week period. It was shortly before Black Friday. So let's not kid ourselves with the false narrative that this is a level playing field. Well, I, who said that? I don't, who's, no one said it's a level playing field. I don't think Doug said that. Uh, I'll agree that Doug is the favorite in this. We are playing his specialized game, No Limit Hold'em Heads Up, on his specialized platform, the Internet, on his specialized terms, a cash game with no raising stakes. Because uh, what had happened was uh, Daniel put out a question if they should do escalating stakes or same stakes. And I said, for sure, same stakes. I even responded saying same stakes, because otherwise it's like a tournament. If you escalate stakes, it really is a luck fest, because really the one who runs the best at the end wins. That's not, that doesn't, in tournaments you have to, or it drags on forever. But uh, in this type of thing, if you're trying to show, like, who's the better player, if it's like a grudge match, you don't do escalating stakes, because that, uh, that really makes it disproportionate which portion of the tournament, uh, which portion of the match matters Versus the other points of it. So I, I agree that uh, it should stay without raising stakes. But anyway, going on. He writes, there is no possible interpretation you can come up with that credibly denies I'm the underdog going into this match. The cards are stacked against me, and I accept that reality. It's akin to Steph Curry challenging Shaquille O'Neal to a three-point shooting contest that decides who's the better basketball player. I will, however, do my best. Regardless of the outcome, as long as I put in my best effort, I will find satisfaction in that. I have always believed in setting goals, but more importantly, focusing on the journey towards those goals. While others may mock my lofty aspirations, it doesn't stop me from trying to achieve them. Reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. And then I'm not going to bother reading it. It's this quote from Theodore Roosevelt. Clearly, this is something that created a lot of buzz in the poker world, and poker fans want to see that match. 
What does it all mean if you win or lose? Nothing really. It may mean that one player is better at a very specific form of poker than the other, but we already know that. There are some details that need to be ironed out, but I'll play the match. I thought it would be more fun and exciting to play deep stack freezeouts, where you start 250 big blinds deep for a 1,000 hands and then make it a best of five. It would be unlikely that with that many hands we'd go past that, so it's essentially a cash game freezeout. He refused. He wants 200-400 the whole way through a set number of hands. Again, we are playing on his turf and by his rules. Well, it's, I mean, it's reasonable. It's, uh, uh, when you start doing the freeze out and all these things, the, the, where you're playing a number of, of freeze outs there, again, you start to get into the situation where people have to adjust their play because they, they get short stacked. And like, that's, that starts to put more luck into it. Of course, there's always luck in it, but there's, this puts more luck into it where you have things like that. So I, I understand. Uh, Polk saying, I'm challenging you to just play me cash heads up where uh, it's it's not a matter of it's, it's not a matter of uh, freeze outs or escalating stakes or anything like that. Just just we put money on the table, we play whoever has more money at the end is the winner. Pretty simple. As far as showing my whole cards goes, he he's already a big enough favorite and that would only increase his advantage by allowing him and his team to dissect my play. Now, that would make it pretty boring for the fans, wouldn't it? <laughs> to not be able to see whole cards, but he doesn't want to. Doug does want to. Uh, as far as how many hands we play, I agree to play between 10 and 25K hands. That's still to be decided. Many have suggested adding a charity component to the match to, to do some good in the world, but he is anti-giving to those in need. Charities don't care how the money's received, be it through a promotion or anonymously, but he has an issue with people using charity and promotion. Otherwise, I imagine we could have done something positive with this. He refused. Well, it's kind of unfair because... I see Doug's point. He wants to take away Negranu being able to use this, his acceptance of this, to spin it into something positive. Like, uh, hey, guys, I didn't really want to do this, but I'm doing it because I care about the charity so much. I, I want this charity to get money, so I'm doing it. So he he wants to put this all in Negranu, that if Negranu accepts, it's because he wants to accept and nothing else. Not because well, he wants- Negranu's already positioning himself to not be able to lose anyways. Even if he loses... He's, he's setting it up that he's such an underdog that he can't lose. Right, he either right. wins and wins money, or he's like wins because he stepped up to the challenge and lost. Right, and that's definitely what he's doing here. And then the so so I understand why Polk's refusing the charity. And what Polk said back is, uh, he, he, you'll hear in his response, he's like, "You can give to charity if you want. To give whatever you want. We're just not attaching it to this match. It's not a match for charity in any way." And I understand that. Again, why why? Why make it about that? It doesn't have to be for charity. Charity has nothing to do with it. Again, if you want to give to charity, give to charity. Uh, so I agree with Polk there as well. Uh, he says, so at the end, why am I doing this? To give the people what they want. For many years now, this man has made a living off of trashing me on a regular basis, well past an unhealthy obsession, regurgitating the same attack lines over and over, not because he truly believes I'm an evil monster, but purely for personal gain, disguised as standing for some noble cause. It's partially true. Like, he has pushed it farther than he really should. Like Polk has come at him harder than he deserves. I've, I've said that the whole time. And that uh, and Polk did benefit, not as much as Negron is saying he did, but Polk did definitely get a lot of extra views and a lot of extra notoriety because of coming after Negron, that's definitely true. And, uh, um, and some of the stuff he said wasn't fair or was morphed a little bit to make Negron look worse. Like Negron really did rationalize that higher rake is better. He did say that, but... Uh, it was characterized a bit unfairly by Polk, the way it was put. But also Negranu, it wasn't taken out of context. He did really say it. So uh, anyway, 
Uh, isn't that kind of narcissistic, though, Druff, thinking that Polk's entire career was built on trashing Negreanu? Because I don't, I don't think that's fair No, it's all, not true. It's know? not true or fair. Yeah, that, that's why I mean. It's exaggerating. That's not Polk. Polk, let's have them in a ring and box. <laughs> well, that, that's what some people are saying. They should be in a ah, ring. That's now, Polk is a lot bigger. It's funny because Polk, when I when I saw Doug Polk the first time, I yeah. was shocked that he was the same height as me. I, I pictured, because Polk has that faux hawk, all these guys who have the hair that kind of like sticks up like that, usually it's because they're short and they want to make themselves look taller. So I was shocked when I when I met Doug Polk that he was like the same height as me. I was sure he was going to be a short guy, and he was not. So uh, He's and, just a Vanessa Selbs uh, yeah. fanboy, you know, going after. <laughs> so uh, he, he finishes off by saying... I take offense when poker media calls us a back and forth. How disingenuous. I have never made a video targeting this man. I have barely referenced him in the last four years, while my name is on his lips constantly. Where is the evidence that there is a fourth in this case? Maybe this was all part of his long game plan. Attack me endlessly, bully me, mock me, in the hopes of getting me to agree to a high-stakes poker match. If that's the case, well played. You have your wish. Well, okay, well you didn't have to do it. <laughs> if, you, if you think that was the plan, just don't... Why give what he wants then? Just say, sorry, a, you, you've been trying to hassle me until I finally do this, and maybe this is your plan. Maybe you're just trying to get more attention this way. I want no part of it. I want no part of you. I don't like you. You've been a jerk to me. I, I have no desire to play you heads up or do anything with you. Goodbye. Like the, He could say that, and I wouldn't have any criticism. I wouldn't go, oh, Nick Ryan is a chicken. Or you just ignore him, or you do what Bart did and just say, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But he's an <laughs> apostle, right? Just fuck off. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he doesn't have to say yes to that. You don't have to respond to heads up for roles, especially because Negranu's not trying to prove that he's a better heads up, no limit player than Doug Polk. You could even say, this is your specialized game. You're great at this game. I admit you're probably better at this game than me. I'm not interested. I want nothing to do with you with anything. Please leave me alone. And had he said that, I would not be criticizing. I wouldn't be calling him a chicken. I'd say that's a perfectly reasonable response. This one is kind of like, well, I don't really want to play, and I've been bullied into playing, but I guess I have to. I'd really rather it's for charity, but Doug Polk won't do that because he hates charity. And uh, so, but I'm a huge underdog here, everybody, because Doug Polk, this is his, this is his specialty, and he's he's a he's the, maybe the best in the world, and I've, I've barely played this at all, and I'm still going to do it, though. I'm a huge underdog, though, so if I lose, of course I'm a huge underdog. You guys know that, right? So it doesn't affect what you think of me in poker because I'm a huge underdog. So this just want to let you know, this is this is one spot where I'm really not that good, but I'm going to do it anyway, guys, just to let you know I'm, I'm a huge underdog. Like he's saying over and over and over and over again, I'm a huge underdog, for, and just like Vintage One said, that's the whole point. He wants you to come away believing that he's brave to play Doug Polk as a huge underdog. So this way, if he loses, there is no shame in it. And in fact, maybe yeah, that's he can right. Win. It's an escape hatch, you know. And I can yeah. understand this thinking because I remember back in junior high school. In junior high school, at least in my time in junior high school in the eighties, there was there were a lot of fights there. Everybody got to fights in junior high school, and I wasn't in a rough neighborhood or anything. Far from it. But the but uh, it was like all just suburban white and Asian kids. But boy, there were a lot of fights in that junior high school. And I was in some of them. And I found, strangely enough, I preferred to have fights with guys who were perceived to be like, who were perceived to be a little stronger than me. Not like way stronger and I'd probably get my ass beat, but, but like a little stronger where I'm, where I'm the underdog. And to where if I lose, it's understandable. There's no humiliation. If I win, then everyone uh, says, oh, wow, cool, you beat him. I couldn't believe that. And then, you know, it's a humiliation for the other guy. But I, I didn't like fighting the guys who I was perceived to be the favorite because if I lose, then I get the humiliation. And I, and I had both. I had it where I lost fights to kids that were thought were going to lose to me. 
And I had one where I won fights where people who were thought they were going to beat me. And, and so I started to think, you know what? I, unless the guy's like way bigger where I know I'm going to get my ass stomped on, I, I think I'd rather fight the guy with a, with a perceived small edge over me because uh, this way I'm not going to get beat too badly. And if I, if I lose, then if I lose, no big deal. And if I win, then, then I get all the, the props rather than the reverse. So, so I, I understand that line of thinking from way back in junior high school when I had playground fights. And so that's, that's definitely how he's setting this up. And so here's Doug Polk's response. Of course, you know he's going to respond. So this is, this is his response. This was done uh, yesterday, July 30th. He wrote uh, some really great stuff in this D-Dag's blog post. Number one, you said 10 to 25K hands, and you said 200, 400. Get out of here with this, his turf, his rules. <laughs> That's funny. Number two, if we both show whole cards, it's equal. You have just as much opportunity to watch as I do. It's what the fans want. That's kind of a good point. Like, uh, he's saying, oh, that gives Doug Polk an edge to have whole cards exposed. Well, doesn't that give you the same edge? Like, uh, it's, it's an additional element, but... I, if you're doing it for entertainment purposes, you probably should. I don't feel super strong. No, but Hulk can run it through his uh, his simulators really easily if he shows the whole cards, you know? I mean, that's that's what he thinks, I guess. But Negreanu can get simulators. I, I'm pretty sure he can get the same tools that Negreanu, that Polk has. But, One would hope. Uh, you know? Anyway, number three, quote, many have suggested adding a charity component, but he's anti-giving to those in need. And Polk says, imagine thinking I'm, quote, anti-helping people. I didn't say I didn't want to use charity as a promotional aspect. Most charities are horrib- are horribly mismanaged. Uh, I, you know, sorry, let me, he said, I, I said I didn't want to use charity as a promotional aspect of this match. Most charities are also horribly mismanaged, is what he said. Uh, so, okay, that's understandable. Number four. For many years, this man has made a living trashing off of me on a regular basis. He's quoting Negreanu. He says back, I have won millions of dollars online and live. Can you explain to me the part where I made my living from trolling you with pictures of rakes? Now, that's kind of oversimplifying. Yes, Doug did make additional money from trolling Negreanu. He can't deny that. But uh, it's also totally false that he made his living doing that, as Cal Watt pointed out earlier. Number five, this did work out better than I hoped for, LOL. So then Daniel shot back. You first tweeted 200-400, and I responded with 200-400. You have constantly been anti-charity. All of a sudden, you don't like it when people extrapolate to make you look bad. Poor kid, you do this constantly for years. You opened with 200, 425K hands at four tables. Forgot already? Scroll through your own feet. Okay, yeah. I mean, what, if he's right that it was Polk's initial uh, offer there. But it's not so much his turf, his rules. It's like, hey, let's play it this way. And then, like, Negranu seems to agree for the most part. So I don't know why that's even a debate. Uh, then Polk said back, I said I'm fine playing 200, 400 or so. If you want bigger, we can do that. Also, I I said we could play a game of your choice as well. We were in the negotiation aspect of setting the terms. Well, that doesn't seem much at first, but read that again. I also said, this is Polk writing it, I also said we, cu- we couple, I think he meant could, play a game of your choice as well. We were in the negotiation aspect of setting the terms. So let's think about that. That means that Polk did offer to let Negranu throw in a limit game or some sort of mixed game or whatever into their match to make it more even. Because Negranu Seraci or some bullshit game. Yeah, <laughs> it could even be like limit hold'em. I mean, it's just just something that that, that uh, Negranu is likely better at. And I think probably any yeah. limit game Negranu is going to be better at. So, uh, so Polk is saying I offered to do this, and uh, now he didn't say you refuse. He just said we were 
negotiating the terms. So uh, perhaps one of the more brutal blows in this whole public Twitter conversation came from an unlikely source, from Daniel's own radio co-host, Terrence Chan. I was very surprised to see this. I guess Terrence isn't worried about pissing off Negreanu, even though they do that show together, the Dat Poker podcast. But uh, this is what Terrence Chan said back, and this is in response. Remember in the blog where Negreanu said this is like uh, Steph Curry and Shaquille O'Neal in a three-point shooting contest to determine who's a better basketball player. So Terrence Chan said back, by your analogy, you failing to add a limit game to the mix when he offered is like Steph saying, and I'm willing to add a shot-blocking component to the challenge, and Shaq saying, no, let's just do the three-pointer thing. <laughs> nice, Chan. I mean, that's right. That's totally right, Terrence. Like, so, so what is the ground of complaining about if Polk said, hey, you want to add a limit game? You want to add some game of your choice that I'm probably not that good at to make it even? And 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 Negreanu just like somehow didn't do it, and then complains about that this is he's a big underdog, or not complains, but yeah, then he has he he if he loses he actually really loses. Right. That that's why he didn't want to do it. That's why Negreanu's yeah. like, oh crap, wait a minute, I don't want to have this game in because now now if I lose now I have no excuse because half of it is yeah. a, half is supposed to be where I'm a big favorite, half is supposed to be where he's a big favorite, and if I lose both or if I lose overall, then that looks pretty bad for me poker wise so no i just want to say the underdog that's okay so that's that's a great point that's a great point that daniel is so obsessed with being the underdog he's even uh either refusing or not that interested in adding a game that he's definitely better at to the mix like why else wouldn't you want to like can you imagine if somebody challenged me to a heads up for roles for uh or a heads up, not for rolls, but a heads, some kind of heads up, no limit thing, and some good heads up, no limit player, and I'm like, oh crap, I'm not, I'm not that good at heads up, no limit, which I'm not. So, like, let's say I accept it, and then the guy's like, you know what, let's make this more fair. You want to play limit hold'em too for half the time? I'd be like, yes, yes, please, let's play limit hold'em. So, to turn that down, the only possible reason is that you want to be seen as the underdog. There's no other possible reason. So that's going on there. And uh, they don't have anything nailed down, so this may fall apart. So people are excited about this. People want this to happen. I imagine the ratings of this will be huge on uh, wherever it's streamed. But who knows if it's going to happen? Oh, i, I got to admit, I think the whole thing is kind of stupid. About it. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Every podcast is talking about it, every poker podcast. So I, I think it will, will happen. I mean, there is, yeah, in CalWatch, what you said is, it's, it is kind of stupid, but I, I am interested with, with all the bad blood between them all these years, to actually finally see them heads up. I mean, look, I, we had an interest in the Mike Dentali, Kate Hall thing, and to be honest... No, no, is, for, for sure, but I, I think part of it has also got to be that the poker world is just so starved for anything, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. People have been shut out of poker rooms for forever and all that kind of stuff. There's that too, but I definitely want to see this. There's no question. Like I, I would be interested at any time in this, and I, and there's not many okay. I'd be interested in, other than this. Would you, or would you rather see them play poker, or would you rather see them in a cage match, like well, you were saying earlier? Oh, like, I'd which rather be, see which. Uh, think would be more entertaining. Oh no, I'd cage, sure. For sure, everybody would rather see the cage match. Cage match. I, I bet if you did a poll on that, it'd be like ninety-five to five or something for the cage match. What if they alternated? What if they? What if they played poker, and then they they took you know they play poker for five minutes. 
and then they would fight for five minutes. You know, they like, <laughs> maybe they should do that. Maybe, maybe Negreanu could be the underdog there too. He could say, "Hey guys, you know, I, I'm agreeing to the cage match, and uh, even though I've uh, I've been working out and trying to post uh, shirtless photos to show how buff I am, uh, just just keep in mind, Doug Polk, he's he's way taller. He's uh, he's way heavier." He's, he's just way bigger than me, and uh, I'm the big underdog here. So I want to let you all know that. So I, I'm going to be an underdog twice in our fight well, and Hulk no limit hold. Hulk is definitely bigger, but I would be shocked if he's ever hit anyone in his entire life. Well, right. Like, I, would that's, be, that's, I would be really surprised. That's where Negreanu may actually have an edge because, yeah, Polk probably hasn't fought very much. I don't know. Someone posted something about how he – I don't know. if I don't think I believed it. Some, some, some story about how he used to – be involved in some sort of fighting league or something. I, th- I think it's BS. No, no way. I doubt it. I like just, just. It, I kind of doubt it <laughs> from everything I've seen. There's zero shot. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, that would be entertaining. I would love to see that. And they, the thing is, they, Negreanu definitely has a lot of rage towards him, and, and Polk probably even has some rage towards Negreanu. And you may say, well, why is why would Polk be mad at Negreanu? Because Negreanu is kind of correct that he hasn't come after Polk that hard on social media. I mean, he's done a little bit, but it, it's been by far much more Doug Polk. And also, Negreanu hasn't hired someone to produce videos about him. Like, it's uh, what Negreanu has done is just tweeted some things where Doug Polk had seriously serious working for him turning out this material. So, Negreanu has a good point there. But there have been some things that have happened behind the scenes, allegedly, to where Doug Polk has been shut out of awards and things like that, where Negreanu's used influence to uh, keep Doug Polk away from certain poker opportunities and uh, and even Seriously Serious alleges that that was done to him as well. I don't know if... I have no doubt that that probably happened in some oh, way. You sure. know? Yeah, I don't have proof of it, but I, you're right. I, I believe it. I believe that would happen. So... Uh, so, so Polk ha- definitely has some rage towards him. Polk isn't sitting there going, ha ha ha, I enjoy trolling him, ha ha ha, he's never done anything to me, but I'm, I just have fun tormenting him. Like he, Polk really has bad blood towards him as well. The, the two really, really hate each other, and that's, that's very clear. So, yeah, I'd love to see some kind of, uh, actual fight, but it's not gonna happen. Now, if you remember also, Polk ended up, I think twice, right next to Negranu at, televised World Series events and or, or one was a World Series and one was I think just some other poker event and and he uh, he had on a more rake is better shirt. It was the one drop. One of those the one drop, yeah. And then one was something else. I saw a second picture from something else, but both were like twice he had like a more rake is better shirt to troll Negranu at the table and then perhaps worst, the billboard that was outside the Rio with, with a more rake, more rake is better during uh, last year's World Series. So there's there's been a, a lot of trolling of Negranu by Polk for sure, and Negranu's just uh, he's he's at the end of his rope with this, and he's I I still don't quite know why he's accepting this. I mean I see the whole underdog angle he's using in case he loses this, but why accept it at all? Like is is he afraid he'll be called chicken? Is it like in, in Back to the Future Two where where George McFly kept being called chicken and getting himself into uh, into hot water? He's bored. He wants to stay relevant, and when he can't play live poker, he's not relevant. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 something. I mean, I, these are just any answer is good here because we we're not in his head. But I, I have kind of wondered, like his blog called "Why I've Decided to Accept" really didn't answer the question. It just why I've decided to accept should have really been called "I'm an underdog after I accepted," and here's the reasons why. 
That that was really the theme of the blog, not why I've accepted. I mean, the the thing of oh, you bullied me into it. I don't believe that for a second. That's that's not the reason. It's not even like he said to Paul, "Okay, I'll do it," but then you have to agree to quit this stuff. Like, there's no condition attached. So it doesn't make any sense. But the, he wants to do it, obviously, and we'll we'll see if it happens. I know Doug definitely wants it to happen. Uh, Daniel may have just accepted, and then it might not occur. I've seen these heads up challenges before where the person instantly accepts and then it never happens. It's, it's kind of like when people threaten to fight each other online. I've seen it where people have agreed online to go fight and then it just never occurs because one of them accepting the challenge, uh, w- one of the two isn't serious about it. Sometimes both aren't it's serious. It's amazing to me that he's 46 years old yeah, and he's still whipping his dick out to compare it with these <laughs> guys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Well, Come and, on. Right. And, and that and, and also it's amazing to me that he just handled these trolls so poorly. You've just got to say, I'm a very big name in poker, and this comes to the territory. And I'm not talking about the Doug Polk trolling. At least Polk has a huge audience. Just like, these, like this Thomas Strada guy or anybody else, no matter what they say, just say, I, this is inevitable. There's no way you're not going to get trolled, especially if you're an outspoken yeah. figure. If, if you're just this really – like Phil Galfond, he's not going to get trolled very much. And maybe a little bit about his, his poker site, but, uh, I, but he doesn't get trolled much because Phil Galfond's always smiling and always positive and, and, and uh, always nice. So uh, people don't have the desire to troll him. He tries not to be controversial. Galfond like, tries as hard as he can never to be controversial. Negranu loves being controversial. He's always loved being controversial, but but especially I, I don't even know how much Galfon tries. I mean, I think a lot of that is just his personality. But it, it almost strikes me that Daniel is deeply insecure about something. You know, he's he's got the hair stuff going on. He's got the he's working out. He's got the he's flipping out over comments over his girlfriend. He, he's getting in fights. He's challenging people. I mean, it's just you know what I mean. It, it seems like there's some kind of insecurity there, which is bizarre. Well, and, and there's yeah. lots of different drama with him. Like of, of all the poker pros that you see on social media, he's probably the one who's involved in the most drama. I, other than the scammers, like of, of people who are not accused of scamming, uh, he's probably involved in the most drama with the, the the largest number of people. And I'm not talking about like with, with random trolls. I mean, like he has the issues with Sean Deeb, and he went with uh, he had that whole thing with those. Uh, Host of the Chip Race podcast uh, for Tourette's. Island. It's his Tourette's. Bro. Yeah, so like, there's just a lot of times he gets in these disputes with people and these these arguments and fights with people, and it just it's it, if you're going to do that, fine, but then but then you got to say, okay, I'm not going to let. That's also going to attract trolls because number one, I'm a big name, and number two, I'm very outspoken and controversial and get in arguments with people. So. Yes, that's going to really attract a lot of trolls to try to hassle me. And what then you need to say is, I'm not going to let those trolls bother me. I'm just going to ignore them. And he, I believe he ignores a lot of them, but I've seen it where he can't control himself, like when this Thomas Strata situation. So that's uh, that's what happened there, and that's what led to all this. So we'll we'll see if this really occurs. And well, again, you look at all of the stuff that he does, though, and a lot of it just seems like it is something that someone who is deeply insecure about something does, you know, constantly feeling you have to prove yourself. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it could be either. You it's, know? It's textbook. It's textbook uh, psychology. He, he is so insecure that he overcompensates to massive degrees. 
Yeah, there's a, and then he had some. Family. Are you saying he drives a really big truck? <laughs> well, <laughs> is he, that what you're saying? He, you know, he he had some family issues too, and I, I've discussed this before in this show. Uh, he's he, he this is stuff he said publicly. I'm not revealing any secrets. Uh, he revealed that he and his brother hadn't talked for many years. They they just started talking again. He he, he praised Choice Center for this. He said Choice Center helped him start a conversation again with his brother whom he hadn't talked to in many years. Now, maybe it was his brother's fault. And again, who goes to some place like Choice Center? Right. Exactly. Someone who's deeply insecure. You know what I mean? It's, uh, Searching I don't know. for something. And, and, then, and then he also uh, – I, I had said that I, th- I thought he went to Choice Center because he kind of felt like, like once his mom died, he's lost both parents and his mom – after his mom died some years ago, uh, it was – I think he had no family left other than his brother who – wouldn't talk to him and he wouldn't talk to his brother. Like they, so they didn't get along and his parents were gone and, and he wasn't married. He didn't have a steady girlfriend. So I think Negreanu kind of felt like nobody loved him. He knew a lot of people liked him and admired him, but nobody loved him. And I think that was really bothering. I think he had like this emptiness, like nobody really loves me. And that's where people will seek out things like Choice Center because it fills a hole in, in, in your where you feel like you're not loved and you're not close to anybody, you're not truly close to anybody, something like Choice Center can fill that. It's it's phony, but it can give you the feeling it's filling that. That's why I think he got drawn into it. But let me read you what uh, Amanda said on July 27th when describing what uh, was said to make Negreanu flip out. She wrote, He defended me when some troll kept saying bad things about me in chat. Glad I have a husband who stands up for me. Guess these losers attacking would let their wives get trashed publicly. F them. Imagine being such a bitch that you'd want to get someone banned from Twitch. And then she put a laughing emoji. And Negreanu responded, My wife, ladies and gentlemen, this may shed some more light on why we are a perfect match. Hashtag ride or die. Hashtag got your back. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I, I do wonder if... Like I do wonder what Amanda thinks. It's possible that she is impressed by this. It's possible he did this because, in part, I mean, he, he was just raging when this happened. There's no question. I don't think it was well thought out. But it is possible that she does enjoy this, that she's like, oh, Daniel, you're standing up for me. Thank you. Or it's possible that she thought this was embarrassing but has to stand up for him because they're together and she's got to say this. I, I don't know which one it is. but Amanda. Amanda, no more Amazon packages unless you defend me on Twitter, Amanda. At least open the packages. They just come and sit there. That's what this Estrada guy said, Ruff. He made some comment about Amanda opening up too many packages, if oh, you know what I'm saying. Oh. All right. So that's where we stand right now with the situation with Negranu and Doug Polk. And who knows what's going to happen next? It's it's still going on. Like there's There's still discussion out there. So who knows what's next? We will have to see. And uh, next, I'm going to give the floor to young Trader Ruski to go off on Bovada because Trader Ruski, who plays sometimes on Bovada during this show, he actually sometimes sometimes I'll hear in the background boop boop boop, and I know it's not the No Fraud Online poker room, and I go Trader Ruski, are you playing poker during this show? And he says yes. Yeah, Trader Ruski is a loyal Bovada player. And uh, it's that much more frustrating when a site that you've given a lot of rake to over the years, as I'm sure he has to Bovada, screws you over something relatively minor. And and I've had this issue with other businesses that have nothing to do with poker or gambling, where they know I'm a regular. I've never asked for anything before. Like like people have the idea 
uh, of me, I'm not talking about Trader Ruski here, but some people have the idea of me, that any business that I go to, that I, I must be constantly uh, complaining and demanding free things. And let me tell you something. That's not true. Now, while I do make sure I always get what I pay for, and that I don't get screwed by businesses, I don't demand anything unless I, I really think I'm entitled to it. So, um, I have had situations before where there's been a business I've been patronizing for a very long time, never once complained, never once asked for anything for free or anything to be replaced, anything like that, and I go in with a, a relatively small request over something that happened, and I'm denied. What's the, what's the name of the massage parlor? <laughs> That's, I think they're they give me some satisfaction in more ways than one. But uh, it's really infuriating, and I've had a hard time explaining to people why it gets me so mad. They're like, oh, it's only over $10. And I go, well, no, but I've given them so much business. Uh, And then they refuse to do this over something so small, it's a slap in the face. So I can totally understand how Trader Ruski's feeling, especially because it's much more than $10. Not a huge sum of money, but it's a lot more than $10. Trader Ruski, I will give you the floor here. Uh, What happened there with you and Bovada? Thank you, Drop. And I've been up since 4.30, so I'll make it brief, but I'll continue to trash Bovada because it's really scummy. <clears throat> you, you know, they have, like, they have a Sunday tournament that's like 100K guaranteed. It's a $162 ticket. You know, you, they have $22 satellites. You can saddle, you know, buy get tickets to that. And I had two tickets that I had won the week before the Sunday. I've done it so many times I can't even tell you and essentially I played that Sunday didn't need to rebuy still had a ticket left and then two days later it disappeared and then I looked and it said it was expired so basically you for, know people, what? <laughs> uh-huh. for, for people who don't who, who haven't thought, who may be who, this may be uh, a little confusing basically the very long and short of it is you won two tickets to $162 tournaments and that they both expired very quickly and there was no way to use them both unless you busted once and had to rebuy. And then they told me during the exchange, too, that they're, you're, you're not able to use them for rebuys. <laughs> Although I can swear I've done it, but who the fuck knows? So they're, they're, so they're know, even admi- so then they're admitting really it. Two. They're, they're admitting that, that. So then they're admitting, even if they're wrong, they're admitting that if you win two, the second is worthless. Right. <laughs> and I should have known one of the comments was or something and you know but really the thing is though because these were were eight players put in 22 bucks you know it's not a points or some other free thing they gave you that they could say it expired but this is eight players or nine players putting in 22 dollars winning a ticket that now should go into the pool and then instead of the players being a chance to win it, Bovada's just taking the money. That's insane. That's the worst part, that this is actually real right. U.S. dollars going into it, and they, they, they can just confiscate it. It should, it should be good not just for more than one week. It should be good with no expiration date ever, just like cash has no expiration. Like, like if, if I've got, if I've got uh, money in my account, uh, Bovada can't just come to me and say, hey, you know what? Your money has expired. We're, we're taking it all because your money expired. They, can, they can't do that. Money is money. So here... This should be equivalent to money, except you can only use it for tournaments. And and they, to make it expire in a week when there's only one of these, so he only can use one. So if you win a second one that he paid money for, it becomes useless. And and they so when you talk to customer service about this, I assume you had to chat because they don't answer the phone anymore because of uh, COVID. 
what what did they say exactly. to you? What did they say to you and Chad? Chatted, went back and forth. I say something, I have some emails, but oh, you have to pay attention of when things expire. I, I you know, I never, I mean, I've looked at where the tickets are, but I've, I, I played so much past tense there that, you know, I didn't monitor things, you know, and monitor certainly if I knew it was going to sit in there for a significant amount of time, but since it was cash. Then they offered, so then back and forth, back and forth. Then they offered me a $22 ticket because that's what I put in. <laughs> I thought that was laughable. So you win and it. Then and I they, said, they, well, they, what you, about the other money? Well, said, they, what about the other $140? So, so you win it and they say, uh, they, they win it, you win it, they take it away from you and they go, oh, yeah, um, hey, here's a compromise. Uh, we'll give you back your original stake so you end up winning nothing, but you, you at least don't lose out of it. <laughs> oh my god yeah no and they said instead of fucking the players out of 162 dollars we're only going to steal 140 yeah that's generous basically what they said you know <laughs> give a covid discount so you know that was it fuck them i'm done and then you know vintage one kept telling me to play on acr i think the software is so much better I know there were some issues, but you know, I've, I've been working so much, I haven't even played too much. But. Well, here, here's what I suggest. I, I said it to you privately too, but I, just for people listening, in case you're in the same predicament, I've had my own ridiculous stories. This is actually probably more ridiculous than any story I've had there, which is, says a lot. But this is, I mean, this is just beyond ridiculous. The fact that you actually paid U.S. dollars to enter a tournament uh, as sit and go, and that everybody else in there did too, and you won it. And then they actually have it expiring is insane. That that's just absolutely insane. But uh, uh, right. that's that's and bad that's enough. Them, that's culinary. just them stealing money from players. <laughs> I heard someone put culinary. color. In, someone put culinary. Culinary. Who, 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 culinary. Who, who's this culinary, culinary master here? Culinary. culinary. I was right about that. Who's that? It's someone putting culinary through. Culinary. I, can, I can see on video this person. By the way, this culinary. person doesn't know. I can see them on video. Culinary. They culinary. Brandon, are you going to say anything except culinary? Is this a fraud show? It is. You know you're on video, though, right? Yeah. I'm okay. I, I didn't know. Well, that's cared. my new thing. Listen, I'm doing a I'm doing a video show with uh, uh, a guy who hasn't left his house in ten months. A guy who makes videos and a queer. I mean, what do you what do you want from me? <laughs> hey, uh, you know the uh, the guy who hasn't left his house in all these months. That's true. Sonatine, who's a very frequent poster on Poker Fraud Alert, uh, and he's. A very good poster on Poker Father, too. Even when we don't agree, he makes good posts. But uh, Sonatine revealed on, on the show he does with Brandon, he actually revealed that he hasn't left his house since March. Not like he's hardly left his house. He hasn't left his house since March. And I'm like, what? Like, I, I couldn't believe when he said that. It's, it's, it's true. It's not a troll or a gag. It really is true. Yeah, that's, that's crazy because I try not to leave much, but uh, I've definitely left. I, in fact, a week doesn't pass without me leaving, and uh, I, I leave probably on the average now once every two to three days. I just don't go indoors anywhere, but uh, but I, I I do leave and, and do certain things uh, either in my car or outdoors, or I, I guess I I quickly walk into 
get uh, I have a private mailbox I go into, but I can go in after after hours and there's nobody there. But anyway, uh, that that was. Well, you know, I'll ask. I'll ask, who's on who's on the line? So here? we we have Trader Ruski. We have Trader Ruski who's telling us about his his anybody Bovada stealing from. They really just stole. <laughs> they they outright stole uh, money from him, which is through a he won a tournament ticket. They just took it. Uh, and then yes, uh, me and eight other players. They stole twenty two dollars from all, all nine of us. Yeah, well, especially you because right. you won it though. And then and then uh, they and then we have Cal Watts who came back unexpectedly. And oh we, no shit! I always liked that guy. Yeah. What's up, buddy? What's going on, Brandon? You want to go get a slushy somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> How's that doggy doing? That had the surgery back in the day. Is he still kicking? I hope. <sighs> so we actually had two dogs that had surgery. And well, the one that we talked about on radio that you were updating on Facebook, we talked about him a couple of times, his recovery. Yeah, I so I think the well, I think the one that you're talking about is our dog Aya. Yeah, Aya. that's the one. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, she's doing good. She's she's still right next to me. Unfortunately, um, in December we lost our other dog. Um, but he, you know, he had the we had surgery, and he got another two years out of his life. So good for him, you know. That's awesome. Good to hear that. And who else is on the line? It says you took a snapshot, Brand. Are you really? Do you really want? No, to, no, do you no, want a picture no, of this of moment here? I didn't know. I thought no, maybe you, I thought you wanted to take a picture of the tremendous moment uh, of all of us together like this. Jesus. No, I didn't even know what that button does. I'm on the. I'm on my cell phone. Okay. Well, snap snapshot away. Video. I don't care. I, I'm not on video, so you can take There's picture. Nothing all you to want. see. Yeah. I know. I, so, oh, uh, Vintage One is on. Here. Vintage One, I was going to get to him. Yes, Vintage One is back for the first time uh, since the uh, unfortunate death in his family, and uh, he's come back to the show. Very happy to have that. And you know what? When Vintage One, well, listen, I'm going to say this: Vintage One, it's it's very good to have you on. Um, obviously, sorry for your loss, but I do want to say now that you're back on the show, I don't want to have to do no apologies and no women named Daniela. So please, <laughs> let's just keep it civil, okay? Where is Vintage One? We haven't heard is him. For, is he still here? Is this thing on? I don't know. I, I hear you, but I, I, maybe Vintage One disappeared. Well, you remember we had to apologize to all these no, I, I, I was getting confused. Oh, I, I remember only too well. But uh, Vin, we may have lost Vintage. He's still here on the right. listed, but I don't know what happened. Uh, what is this podcast that, uh, that you're doing, Brandon? I, I've been out of the loop. What, what's the podcast you're doing? Where can I find it? He's, he's, okay, so I'm allowed to promote it here because it's not a competing show. It has nothing to even do with poker. In fact, poker just makes me utterly sick. No offense. Um, <laughs> hey, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so it's on Sunday nights at 7:30 Pacific time. You go to YouTube. It's one of those Zoom, like you see all the hosts talking. It's a video yeah. podcast. Yeah. And I hate this title, but my co-hosts wanted it. They loved it. So the, the, the title, all you have to type in YouTube. You can see our channel. It's LOL Stockaments. Like LOL documents that you know Barry Greenstein made famous 15 years ago. It's literally L- one word LOL, the word stock, and then amints, a m e n t s. And it's a podcast, kind of with a financial theme to it, but it's more of a variety, just you know, laughing, telling jokes kind of thing. No gambling, just like a potpourri, all kinds of subjects. But so I'm doing it with uh, seriously serious, and you know he's the one that did the videos of party in the well the doj and well more more he, recently uh, trolling negrani with videos yeah and where he produces all of the pokes videos and then sonatine who only leaves his house bi-yearly and then uh <laughs> a guy from the forums that's been around for a while named uh p 
P-L-O-L, which I don't think you know who he is. But I think you would know Sonatine from PFA. And obviously, I would assume you know Seriously Serious, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I know P-L-O-L, too. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So that's what it is. It's not. It has nothing to do with gambling. It has nothing to do with poker. Um, it's a show on Sunday nights at 730. And it's just kind of like a variety show with a little bit of a financial theme to it. But uh, nice. mainly you guys are all you guys are all rich investors. Is that what it is? You no, you know what? I'm not. I'm not even close. But Sonatine has gotten into the market. And it's like a passion of his, and nice. uh, I guess seriously, serious is as well. So I'm learning from those guys because it's you know I'll always be the first to admit when I don't know anything and when it comes to like you know I know the basics about buying stocks in general, but the, they're doing other things I don't even understand. I won't even begin to lie and say I understand. So uh, give it a listen. It's on 7.30 on uh, Sundays. I hope to have Druff on one of these days. Druff, would you, would you come on? Yeah, I'll, I'll, a... I'll come on at some point. You know what? The, the video aspect, though, uh, I just, I'm not used to that because I'm just so much used to, I'm so much more used to an audio format. And so they have a video format. It's on YouTube, as you mentioned, and you, you get to see all of them. You get to see Brandon. You get to see yep. uh, Sonatine and now, LOL and Seriously Serious. And, uh, I think uh, you should totally do it, Druff. Like, instead of... Well, trying to you know do custom software on your site or whatever, just move the podcast to YouTube or Twitch or whatever, and you're going to get video, you're going to get live streaming, you're going to get chat, you're going to get all of that shit for free. That's what all the kids, the cool kids are doing, man. I know. I just well, I, I don't want video. No, though. But, but I, they, they won't. They won't have the call to listen line though, Cal. That's true. Let they me won't tell have the call you to something. Line. It is a little known fact. It is a little known fact. How many episodes, roughly, draw or exactly has have PFA done? Uh, roughly uh, a little less than 400. Okay, so we'll just say 400 then. So out of the 400 episodes, don't even say nothing, Druff. I don't want to hear nothing from you. Trader Ruski and Kalawa, out of the 400 episodes, there was one episode in which Druff, myself, and another guest, you know, a popular guest at the time, appeared on video. And we only had to, we only appeared on video because the guest insisted it had to be done that way if we wanted him on the show. So out of 400 shows, one show, we did. We, we were actually on video. Now, you all couldn't see it, okay? But the guest could see it. We could see the guest, and he insisted it. And we made it clear that we were looking at the guest. The guest was looking at us. Do either one of you know what show that was? Trader Whiskey no, and uh, Callawat. I have Callawat, no this was Number 132. <laughs> No, I, well, I have no I clue, was, but I, I'm not actually I, surprised because I, I do a podcast as well, and there are a number of people that I've talked to that they prefer to do it yep. on video so they can see people's face and their inflection and all that kind of stuff, you know? Now, in all fairness, Trader Ruski wasn't around yet to the degree he is now, but Callawat, you were fully around. You might have been off that night, but do you have a guess, you have a guess as to who that guest was that insisted that if we wanted him on, we had to do it by video? Madison. So, who? Teddy the Iceman Monroe. Nope. Druff, tell them who it was. Y- you go ahead. Let, let, let you break. You, you, your story. Do you not know who ahead. it was? Do you not? Did you forget? I oh may. Oh my re- God! Did Druff? Did Druff forget something about his own podcast? I, I may. <laughs> I may have. When we okay, it's okay. When we interviewed the infamous William Kasuf. You don't remember? Yeah, I do remember now. Yeah. When we did it, he was literally sitting at his desk. Remember we, we laughed that he had a shiny new Rolex on. And we said, oh, you know, we were LOLing about how he spent like half of his right. deep native event run. And, <laughs> you know, 
then off the air we're like, well, how long is he? This guy until he's bust out. That's Little right. We know a year later he's palming roulette. Yeah, chips. yeah. He's stealing from his friends. He's stealing roulette yeah. chips from his friends. You're, but do you remember he insisted? Well, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I remember. You know what? You know what? Uh, I'll tell you, Brandon. I, I think I've told people here before. Um, ever since what happened to me two years ago, there there were some uh, holes that kind of came in my oh, memory. Oh wow! Yeah. Because this was before you even. This was years before. No, what I know, I know, but but it, it actually it actually caused some. Not only do I have a big hole from that time where I don't remember much at all, but uh, like I remember some of it, but a lot of it's just totally out of my head. But then some things from before that have kind of vanished. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Was was that 2015 or 16? Does anyone that was like the Stacey Madison William Kasuf like battle? And then they did I think a it was I think it was 16. Okay, so that's so we had them on. Shortly after that, like in the fall of 2016, and I just I didn't know him. I messaged him on Twitter. He agreed to come on, but with the one rule that we had to all be on video together. And I, I guess we did Skype video because this was way before yeah, it was, was it was around. yeah it was Skype video. And uh, yep. you know, it's with video. I'll tell you why. There's a few reasons why I'm just not uh, in, into doing video. Uh, first of all. Uh, I, I've always been a big fan of radio going way back to when I was a kid, and I, I always thought it would be cool if I have my own radio show one day. So I've, I didn't really so much like, oh, I want to have a TV show or I want to have a show on video. Like I, I, It always was radio I was thinking of. That's the first thing. Number two, I spent so many hours talking on the phone in various ways, like in a social way. I'm not, not talking about like customer service calls, but like I, I had so many – Phone, long phone calls with 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 friends, with with potential girlfriends, with things like that. I was on the phone. I even called party lines a lot. Like I was so much on the phone that I got very to- comfortable talking for long periods of time on the phone. So that's just kind of a medium that I'm used to and feel most comfortable with in, in this kind of setting. And and also, I just don't like to have to worry about what I'm doing on a video. I don't worry about picking my nose. I don't have to worry about making some funny face or, or anything or, or how the, the, the angle I'm sitting at and, and how I look on camera and the people they take screenshots and make uh, – like it's just it's, – it's a simpler thing. It's just – but it seems to be the else. way that, that people like are enjoying it these days. Like it seems to be just the way it's trending. I it is. It is somewhat. Sense, and and uh, but I, I'm still sticking to the audio thing right. for now. I'm not saying I won't come on your show in video format. I mean, I, I can. And and I'm not. You know, I'm not hiding. Like I go to the World Series. I'll, I'll meet anyone. I'll. I'll uh, uh, they take pictures of me. Like I don't. I'm well, not trying to hide who I am or what I look like. Well, the other difference is you're doing an eight-hour show. So that's. I mean, that's a long time to be on a video. Like. The show that I do, you know, with the other guys on Sunday, it's sixty to ninety minutes. It's never going to be anywhere near the length here. So I guess that's yeah. part of it too. I don't know if I'd want to be on video for eight hours. That, 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 that is another part, and no one wants to see Druff piss into the Gatorade bottle. Now, <laughs> you know what? Speaking of which, this is really insane. I'm flicking buttons while you're talking to me, guys. And did you know that Skype has subtitles on it now? Everything you all are saying, it's auto dictating to me. Well, maybe, I'm reading maybe are you on the phone version? Wow. That... I'm on the phone version. Okay, I, I don't. I don't even have that installed right now. Yeah. So, I don't mean to hey, hijack Brandon, it. it start... yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, Brandon. It starts at seven thirty. Seven thirty Sunday Sundays. night, buddy. Sunday night, you're more than welcome the... to come on as a guest, as a co-host, whatever you you got. Uh, you, get, you get anything you want, Trader Risky. You know that. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Okay, cool. Will the will the draft uh, episode start at eight fifteen? <laughs> no, we actually start like we started last week at seven thirty four. We were four minutes late, so it was actually okay, nice. Pretty... I guess so listen, my joke is no good. I don't want to hijack the show, I, I, but as I have text Druff before, I have to be up tomorrow at seven. 
And I swear, no matter how much I'm going to want to or I get into this, I'm going to stick around just because it's a Hall of Fame cast tonight to about midnight. And then I really, I just got to get like seven hours of sleep. No, I understand. Oh. That's, um... So and I've been up since six this morning. I should really be in bed now. So what I want, I want to ask you two things. I want to first ask you, did you see the news about baseball today? Yes, I saw about how they may possibly, they're, they're warning, the commissioner's warning that they may kill the season because the Cardinals now have some players infected and they're afraid that uh, well, the teams aren't taking yeah. this seriously enough and that they, yes. they're threatening I was to kill say, the... Take it a step further, the commissioner's claiming that the players are not following the protocol and other sources are saying the commissioner went as far as having conf- or conference calls today with all the major networks that air games to let them know that they should start looking at alternative programs. Oh, wow. So that's, and most sources are saying that uh, if things don't improve or if there are any more positive tests among players across baseball on Monday morning, he's going to cut it. He's going to just call it, which, no offense, not brought to my own horn. I actually predicted this about a month when I first came on here about a month, five weeks ago, that at least one of the seasons, you know, meaning baseball, hockey, the restarts, basketball would not see it to the end. And I still stand behind that. Like, unless you're doing what the NBA is doing, like the NBA is doing it right, the right way. Like, they should be fine. I think they're really going to be fine. I mean, they got – if they, they have security. I don't know if you all know this. They have security. And if the players literally leave, like, a certain area, like, literally, like, a demilitarized zone, then they cannot come back for, I think it was either four days or seven days. Wow. So there was, like, a player that, like, stepped five feet. Listen to this. I can't think of who it was. It wasn't a star. But the dude went five feet past wherever this line is, like on the property <laughs> of the hotel, and they made him self-isolate for four days. Like in his room, like he couldn't leave. He had to get his food, everything for four days. So I, the NBA is taking it serious. And I think that's the only way you're really going to be able to have a season like this. You can't let people go home to their cities because you just don't know what they're going to do, who they're going to hang out with. What You know what I mean? Like you just don't know. Yeah. You know, so. And, and, Anyhow. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so that's I mean it's it's too bad because I'm I'm actually getting more into this season than I expected to. I at first I'm like oh this is going to be so stupid and I didn't like some of the rule changes and that stupid 10th inning thing and like uh, there's a lot of things and I I don't agree with some of that stuff and I, I in some ways I thought this season's just stupid and they should skip it. But once it actually started and I I've been watching the Dodgers and like I I maybe because of uh I've been starved for sports for all these months. And uh, maybe because of just you know, lack of other things going on, but I, I was happy to see it again. And even the fake crowd noise doesn't bother me. I, I think they they're not doing it quite right. I think they should either do more of it or just kill it completely because it's kind of like too muted. But but it it is better that like it, it's it is better than like it's a silent stadium. I can for, if I don't look at the empty seats, I can almost forget that it's empty and that we're not just watching normal games. It was kind of a yeah. nice thing to see back, and and I was enjoying it. Uh, I don't know, like if the Dodgers were to win the World Series this year after all this time. I don't know how I'd feel about oh, this is the year that breaks the streak when it's. In- but that's what do you really want that? No, I kind of like wouldn't want it. No, I like, kind of don't. Like okay, it's one thing in like a strike short strike shortened season that you know some people have an asterisk, but then you know what you forget about it. Like if I said you do you, do you remember that the Spurs first championship uh, in '99 was. With a, you know, it was a strike short in year. I think they played forty something games. Whatever it was, it was a little over half a season. Most people don't remember it, but people are going to remember this. Oh like yeah, of course. There really is going to be an asterisk for this season. 
There's yeah. no, you know what I mean? Yeah, and and so so right, and so the fact that this would be breaking the 32 year long streak that they haven't had a World Series uh, would, would kind of suck for it to be this year. But still, I, I've been enjoying the season, and I will be very disappointed if they. And I even have something to bet on again, uh, sports wise. So uh, that that part of it's fun too. So like, I I will be kind of sad to see it's yeah. gone if if it does disappear. But yeah, like like you, I've been. Suspicious that the whole season isn't going to get all the way through. It's it's the biggest money grab that in the. I mean, it's, it's they never should have done it. They never should have tried, especially the way they're trying to do it. You know, with all the hotel travel, the airports. You know, just players going home, not knowing what they're doing. You just it can't be done that way. They should have known. I mean, you really the NBA model is really the only way. So okay, Druff, if you had to bet right now with all the information we have, do they finish? Do we? Is there, you know, I won't even say that. Will they be, will there be a World Series champion declared in your opinion? Yes or no? No, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think there will. We, given what came out today, I don't think there will be. All right. Trader Ruski, what do you think? Uh, I buddy. agree with that. I just think there's too, I just think there's too many players to manage. Callawat? I have no idea. Cal- not, he's not, not a big sports guy. Sports? He's not a big. I, we never talk about. No, sports. no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm into, I'm into football, UFC fights. I don't give a fuck about baseball or basketball. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right, fair enough. Um, yeah, so it should be interesting. And you know what? What happens? I guess at this point, since it's only like a little over a weekend, if they cancel it, I guess everything just gets stricken from the records, right? Like nothing. Like if you hit, say, I don't know who's leading the league. Maybe it's Aaron Judge. Maybe it's Stanton. But whoever has five or six home runs, or whatever it is, is that like do you count that? Like, I think what I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't hear what would happen to the stats. That's a good question. No one said anything. Yeah, there hasn't even been a, a comment on that. Yeah, so. it's it's just we, I'm actually doing fantasy baseball this year. The same group of people I've, I've been with for a while, and we had to have a discussion what we're going to do if the season gets canceled. And we we decided the way we're going to handle it is that the season has to have thirty games. Uh, uh, there has to be 30 games at least played before it gets canceled. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then we just uh, throw away the whole thing. And in fact, we completely throw away the whole draft as if we didn't do it. So that'll be a big waste of my time. If that's which, which way did Peter DC vote? Peter DC actually, what he did is uh, he got he, the, he got the hotel room again. For yes, quarantine. Yeah, yeah, that's what he, he he voted that we get another uh, big suite in the Bellagio and he'll pay for everything. Jesus Christ, funny. So let me ask you. Uh, I'm going to be on. For at least thirty-five more minutes, can you kindly tell me? I uh, did my due diligence. I read the agenda earlier this evening, right after you posted it. Can you tell me what has been covered so far? We, so ca- we covered Negranu and and uh, Polk and that whole thing, and then we briefly were talking about uh, Trader Ruski's incident with Bovada, which I think we're basically done with. But it just quickly, just to let everybody know, uh, I was going to say this, and then. Someone popped on putting the word culinary over and over and over. Sorry, culinary. Actually, it can be either one. So I will stick to. I will stick to no, culinary. Listen, I, I, I admitted after you conceded that you were wrong, and then I heard the secondary version on a different site. I gave you props that you were right. Well, thank I you. Mean, I mean, I'm the man enough to admit it. Thank you. You're right. Okay. So, so uh, what I was going to say at that point was that they have a weird situation on Bovada and Ignition regarding customer service because you cannot call them anymore. You have to chat with them ever since uh, the COVID-19 shutdown started. And it's going to be that way for probably a long time. Same thing, same thing with WSOP. Yeah. So, 
So the way you get to speak to someone at Bovada or Ignition is you have to ask for a supervisor because when you ask for that, they don't try, they don't transfer you to a chat supervisor. They actually have one call you usually. So at least in my experience, what they did is they said, yeah, we'll get a supervisor to call you. And then one called and then it was like a normal conversation. And that's how I got my issue at the time resolved where uh, just like what Trader Ruski is dealing with now, I got just like idiotic, nonsensical answers on chat with whichever monkey was working at support there because they, they really have idiots working first-level support at Bovada and Ignition. Like it's just you get mind-bogglingly stupid answers, as you heard from Trader Ruski is what he got. So uh, the supervisors, it's hit and miss. Sometimes you get like an asshole who just wants to say no to you in, in whatever way possible. Uh, other times you will get ones that are reasonable, that will solve it for you. So what I called about a few months ago, it was, I got nowhere with the first level rep. And then the supervisor who called me was nice and solved it for me. So I, I won't get into what happened, but that I, I suggest that trade risky, try that. And anybody else who has an issue with chatting with Bovada and ignition and, and their support and that it sucks, just ask them to have a supervisor contact you. And, and then they'll usually call you and you'll sometimes get better results. So uh, I'm I'm obviously interested in it, but I'm not going to you already obviously covered it. So I'll listen in the archives. Um, I just want to add one thing. I know you talked about Doug Polk and the ground, but it's really funny. It's a sign of the times, but it's more so a sign of the fact there's not a lot of news uh, sports wise, but things are picking up a little bit now. But still, there's not a ton Uh, in the Las Vegas Review Journal, which I'm probably the only one definitely on this podcast that still gets a physical paper. But I, I just enjoy it. Something about having a paper in front of me with the ink and having my coffee early in the morning, I enjoy it. So I get a newspaper. The second page of the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal sports page today, they had a full-page article about the Doug Polk Negreanu feud and the grudge match in the actual sports page. Wow. It was unbelievable. That's, yep. That is unbelievable. Wow. So That's a... <laughs> it's funny. I talked with, I talked with uh, Thomas today, and he seriously serious. He didn't even know about it. So I sent him <laughs> I, really? I took some screenshots and sent it. And I'll send it to you just so you can see it because it's kind of cool. That, that's that, like, fun, that's funny are... because I would I would have expected that Thomas contacted them and got them nope. interested in it. But if he didn't know, wow. Let me see how I can do this. I'm just going to send it to you in the text but, so you can see it. Wow. Um, but yeah, and yeah. So that was all I had to add. I'm sure you added. You know, I'm sure you all covered it very diligently. But I'm going to send you on your cell phone the screenshot from the newspaper because I thought that was really cool. You know what, Brandon? By the way, I do enjoy also having a newspaper in my hand. I think it's just kind of from something you're used to when you're younger, and it's just something that you, yep. to, to, it's, when you do it, it's just it's just something that brings back a calming feeling from from the past. That it's uh, so funny you say that because. I think when I was in maybe seventh grade, it started that when I'd wake up in the morning, I would read the sports. I look at the box scores. And then as I got more knowledgeable about the world, I would, you know, gravitate to like the main section and the local news. And I've always just enjoyed a newspaper. It's weird. Even though I can go on and read it online on the app, something about folding the paper, having, I don't know. I just, I enjoy it. It is relaxing. Like I could eat a meal and I'm by myself and it's tranquil and it's peaceful and it's just calming. You're right. Absolutely right. You know, you know what? what it is. I, I I have a story with a newspaper. In 1987, I was at in high school, and it was a cold, rainy day. So for lunch, I went and got my lunch, and I ate it in the library. And I always did that when it was a cold, rainy day uh, in high school because it was much more pleasant to be in the warm library to eat than than outside the cold. So 
I would go to the library and, and read the newspaper that they had. They had the LA Times there every day. So I, I was reading the newspaper on one uh, cold day in 87, and there was a story about a family doing battle with a phone company. I was always fascinated with phones, and so that was I – mean, I was immediately drawn to that story. So I read this interesting story of a family in the San Fernando Valley that was doing battle with a phone company because their son was calling 976 lines over and over again. 976 lines were those uh, paper call sex lines. And his, her, their, their teenage son was calling those over and over and over without their permission and racking up tons of money on the phone bill, which ended up being thousands of dollars over the months. And they wanted the 976 numbers blocked, and uh, the phone company was refusing to do it because at the time there was no way to block 976 or 900 numbers. So the family was saying, we don't want this service. Get it off our phone. And the, the phone company was saying back, no, you control your kid. This is your problem. And they tried as hard as they could. They would, they would hide the phone and somehow the kid would find it or the, phone, the kid would buy his own phone and plug it into the jack. Whatever they tried to do, they couldn't stop him from making these calls. And he would sneak down there late at night when they're sleeping. So uh, it, it was a big problem. And uh, like over $10,000 worth of calls racked up. Uh, and, uh, and this actually – cause, and that's what this article is about, the California Public Utilities Commission eventually ruled in favor of the family. Number one, forced the phone company for, to forgive all the 976 charges. Number two, uh, they mandated that the phone company allow any fam- any customer to select to block 900 and 976 calls to be called from their phone for, uh, the, for the, a one-time fee of $20, which was later removed completely, but uh, at the time they were introducing it for $20, you can block them forever. And uh, and so that was the first family to ever have that blocked, and they had the charges forgiven. And they also made it to where non-payment of 900 or 976 numbers could not be used to disconnect your phone line. And at the time, I, you know, they didn't, I, I don't know if they named the family or not, but whatever it was, it wasn't meaningful to me. At the, But then I met the boy who was calling those 976 lines. Not in 1987, but I met him in 1991. Any guesses who that might be? I uh, met the kid. I met the kid. Ken Scaler. Right. It was Ken Scaler. It was Ken Scaler. He was the one in that freaking story, and I had no idea until he told me about this about a year into knowing him that that situation happened. And I go, wait a minute. I read that story back in the LA Times. <laughs> he said, yeah, we were the very first family to have 976 blocking. And so if you remember the 976 blocking back in those days, that was actually because of Ken Scaler. He's actually the one who made that happen. So uh, that, that I thought it was funny that I read about him years before I ended up meeting him. But uh, yeah, I, but whether it was there or whether it was at home in the morning like you, like I, I'd read the sports section and look at the box yeah. stores like you did and the standings and all that. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I got to really enjoy it. And like you, that also would make me gravitate towards other uh, sections of the newspaper and, and start yeah. reading more about Funny. the world. So, yeah, so that's so I can understand Funny, actually, the, 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 how much we actually have in common considering, you know, I grew up on the far east coast. You grew up on the west coast. We didn't know each other over, you know, the first 30 years almost of our lives. But, yeah, it was the same thing. Gravitated or sports started it out and then everything else just started coming. And then it got to the point where it, you know, just became almost like therapeutic. So, yeah, interesting. Well, interesting. That's, that's very interesting. It appeared in the paper. Wow. Well, I, I sent you a, uh, I sent you the the link. You can look okay. at your phone okay. or a screenshot rather. A screenshot. Yeah, it was. That's the first time. Well, okay. In all fairness, when the online WSOP started for the first time, the newspaper started covering 
poker on a daily basis. They were reporting who would win, but it was more like a couple small paragraphs. And that was because at the time, there was no baseball, there was no basketball, there was nothing except for UFC. There wasn't even golf. So they needed something, you know, just to fill the newspaper. So they'd say so-and-so won the first event of the WSOP, but you know, so-and-so won the second event of the online, I'm talking about the online, you know, WSOP. Um, but this was the first time they've ever covered, I don't know what you want to call it, like poker gossip or non, you know, World Series. You know what I mean? Like just a, yeah. a poker story, I guess. Yeah. First time. It's never been done. Yeah, so I, I hadn't seen it before. It never happened. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. That, that was got, interesting. like, you know, coverage. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, by yeah. the way, I, I got a, a text from the 773. He wrote... Uh, 20-plus players have had their Major League Baseball debut, giving them a lifetime pension. All stats count. And he said, no, actually, 61. More. He said, if 61 players, not just 20-plus, he corrected himself after that. So that is interesting. This is from a, a player, from a listener who I, I know who he is. He's a, a big baseball fan in the Chicago area. So I guess they're all going to count. Interesting, even if it gets canceled. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I guess it won't be complete waste then, but it'll be a waste for the fans, kind of, if you've been watching uh, watching the season and then it just stops. At least if it stops on Monday, it won't be as painful. Like It would be much more bothersome to me if I watch a bunch of games, we get like 20-something games in, and then they call the whole thing and it's useless. That's, yeah. how, I, that's how I felt in 94, but at least in 94 I didn't immediately know it was going to not happen. It just uh, eventually the news slowly came out that it was uh, there was going to be no World Series, which was very disappointing. Who do you think the most famous person is, or I'm sorry, famous, who do you think the most acclaimed poker player, tournament cash, whatever, that's ever been a consistent listener? I have my guess. I want my opinion. Who's yours? As far as a consistent listener, I would say it's Mac Lance. I got someone I think who beats him. Who? Back in the day, in fact, this is how I met him because of this podcast. Back in 2012, a little, not even a little known, a nobody of a poker player messaged me on Facebook. In fact, I saw the message because it's funny and asked me if I would be willing to talk with them about the heads up. Oh, limit I, I know who it is. Anthony Zeno. Yes. No one. <laughs> he was a no one. Like, you know, this, yes. he, he had $200 tournament caches to his name. And now he's, I think he won player of the year. Yeah, he had, yeah, he, he, had did. he had a really huge year at one point. He, he won card play because he won two WPTs in one year. He, won a bracelet that same year i would think from a money wise like tournament earnings wise i don't know how he is as a cash player he probably wouldn't he be the biggest you yeah think? then he like would be player? yeah 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 but anyhow it, it it was almost like the dustin neverwin curse of like you know all the women he remember the curse of neverwin or the gen no the jet i'm sorry the genocide curse it was almost kind of like that where literally right after i met him the dude went bananas like within six months and started like which I still don't even understand. Like, I remember like it was yesterday sitting with him at seven in the morning at Caesars talking about this. Cause I did, I, I, I never, uh, I don't think I messaged him back because before I could, I was at Caesars myself one morning playing and sure as shit, he shows up and we sat there all morning into the afternoon, drinking coffee and just talking three about this limit holding bot. And he was telling me, which is the most remarkable thing that he was looking for backers to play like in Venetian tournaments. Like, you know, like Venetian deep stack, like $500, maybe $1,000, like, you know, those kind of tournaments. And within six months, he was a year at the most, he was playing the biggest tournaments in the world. It, it's just unbelievable. Like, what happened? How, what did he know that the rest, you know what I mean? Like, how does someone go from one point to that point? You know what I mean? 
It's just kind of crazy to me. It's the best part is a couple years later, uh, I send him a message on Facebook and I just say to him, Hey, you know, you think you can come on PFA? And then, uh, he said, Oh, sorry. You know, I'm on a plane, but some other time I'm going on a plane right now. Some other time I will. So then I, I text him like two months later, you know, this is when I was doing radio regularly. I'm like, Hey, you know, just checking in. If you can come on PF- PFA. And he ghosted me like on Facebook. And then finally, like I saw that he read the message, but he just never responded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on. Like, what a dick. Like I sat yeah. there when you were a nobody and I helped you. I mean, I don't care. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't know anything bad about him, but still like, I thought he could do that one nice thing because like before he was anyone, I spent a whole early morning and early afternoon talking to him, just being a right. nice guy. And then like he blows up and like, what is he too big now to come on a podcast that isn't some, you know, award winning global poker award, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And when I saw him, I saw him like a year or two ago at the world series and he was, he said hi to me and everything. He was friendly. Yeah, I know, but still, yeah, I know. know, Funny how people, when they're nobody, they'll come on here, but then once they blow up, they want nothing to do with it. People probably don't know. I mean, you'd have to be on here for a good 10 years to know this, maybe even longer, but the original, incarnation of these sites which was never win poker okay one of the earliest posters or maybe not even the earliest but you can you could probably tell us a year was a poster named Durr. yes yes that same Durr that came from this community who used to beg for stakes online okay true story Druff, what year well not only that no he, he i think he came i don't know exactly when he registered but it was early on like oh four or something and he uh, either oh four oh five never win poker started in oh four and he was one of the earlier users, and he I, not only was he begging for stakes, but also when he ran it up a little bit, he posted on my forum there and asked for some bankroll management advice, and I didn't respond to him in time, and then I finally responded. He's like, oh, I wish I read this before. I, I, I had run up 10K, and now I just shot it all off on one chance. Oh, well, that's, the, that's it for me. <laughs> well, that could be a telltale sign back then, and just – for the record, to keep it straight, what happened once Durr blew up and became famous and had a lot of money? Poker famous and had a lot of money. Yeah, he just he, – he, well, he wouldn't even answer his phone. No, but right, but he wouldn't he, – he, he left the site, the, the forums that he grew a part of, that raised him basically, never came back, never even acknowledged. Right, he, 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 right, he, he wasn't acknowledged. He was there. He, he, he pretended like he never knew any of us. And this – by yeah. the way, when I met him, I met him for the first time – he came up to me. It was that I think it was like some like the, the Imperial Palace karaoke or something. He came up to me and he, he says, uh, you're, "You're Dan Druff, right?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Oh, I've always wanted to meet you." And he he was so happy to meet me. Were you saying Durr was was starstruck meeting you? He's a he was. He, to- he told me he was. Yes, he told me oh that. He told me that. I he, believe you. Yeah, he I just this, never heard that. Of course, this is when he was a nobody. He said that he's he's wanted. He's always wanted to meet me, and that he's so happy that he gets an opportunity to. And he was so he he was really like like a fanboy there, and was so happy to be meeting me. And and I saw who, who are you? He said I'm Durr. I said okay, oh, yeah, I know you in the forum. <laughs> and that's I, I'm sure now he. he like he, he, I don't know if he remembers I exist. Do we have any but updates I, I on really, him? By the way, huh? is he still? Is he still like you know chained to, to a table in the Chinese triad or, or anything? Like, what's going on with him now? Yeah, I I think he's still involved with that whole th- that whole group there. Like he he has the yeah he has that Chinese triad based and then putting him in the Macau games where at least he was until the Macau shut down. I don't know if those games are going again since they opened again, but uh, yeah, they were. I mean, in, in, in some ways, it's good for him because 
he has the bankroll that are, is necessary for that game, and he doesn't have to worry about holding on to his own money because he's playing for the triad. But you know what? The fact that he never paid the full buyout to Jungle Man is doesn't that kind of I mean I know we're just gossiping here like schoolgirls, but the fact that he never took care of that doesn't that kind of lead one to believe he's not cash flush? Oh, I yeah, what I don't do you think, think if he you know had a ton of money and it's like okay I'm winning he'd take care of like his obligation from a decade ago. Uh, yes, I would. Think I would so. think so. I, I would think so. You know who the one person who knows what the story is? It, it's uh, is seriously serious. He he told seriously serious at one point what his reason is because what Dirk claimed with the Jungle Man challenge yeah. when he didn't finish, he claimed there's a very good reason which he can't say publicly. But oh, that if people yeah. knew, if people knew that they would understand, then he would never say it. Then he Listen. told seriously serious privately. But it could, I don't know if it's true, and I never. Yeah, you know, I don't. I never heard what I've been hearing this was. for ten years. I can't tell you privately, but it's not a secret, right? I, yeah, he's been down this song and dance before. Well, but also, but all this, all this stuff came out about Jungle Man cheating and stuff. So maybe it was something like that, right? Trump, all that stuff came out way after that. Well, yeah, it just came out fairly recently. But I think that I think he would have said something about that. I, my guess was this happened around the time of Black Friday. I think that uh, if I had to guess what the the excuse is, is that. Uh, Full Tilt had agreed to take a big piece of him here, and then once Full Tilt uh, went down from Black Friday, that uh, they couldn't do that anymore, so he had to stop the match, but uh, but that Jungle Man didn't know that Full Tilt was backing him on this, so he can't blame Jungle Man. So, I, th- I don't w- know about that, because back then, right when this started, I would have wagered he probably had more cash at hand than Jungle Man even did. Now, he might have, remember, but- when he issued this challenge, he was kind of still on top of the world to some degree. I mean, he, you know what I mean? He was still the biggest name in internet poker. But, but who knows? Then, he, may, he? he may have shot it off in some huge game. It just takes one or two of those to, to wipe you out. So that may oh. have happened where he's killing everybody but then shoots it off some super high-stakes game. And uh, um, Or maybe he just wanted – maybe Full Tilt offered to do it and, and he accepted. But w- that would be my guess – but yeah. seriously, serious was told. Who knows? If it's the truth. It may, if he could have lied to seriously, serious. But uh, that's one person who at least knows what Durr claims is the situation. I, I think it's very bad that Durr never has addressed this. You all know, these years what's later. weird to me is all these years in Macau, you would think something concrete would leak. But like you know what I mean? Like more than oh, there were rumors he lost a five million dollar pot or like you know you would just think some kind of trip report from somebody reputable would come out, leaked or not. Otherwise, just because you know what I mean? you don't know. For all we know, he could be, you know, I know he got married, right? He could be living back in Edison, New Jersey and barely plays. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, is anything concrete definitively I think been acknowledged he's been, in the last few years? Uh, no, he's been playing a few other play. Like, I think he's played some cash games. I know he, he hasn't completely been in Macau. I think he came back to Vegas this year and was playing in some cash games. Uh, I think that uh, people have seen him online some places. Like, he's... I haven't followed it that closely, but I, I know he's not just like missing like he was for some time. He, he is yeah. playing, but uh, I don't know what his story is, and I don't know the money still could be coming from from the triad there. He definitely had some connection to to that uh, triad there. Like it's not just a rumor for sure. He had some kind of connection where they were putting him in games, and uh, now what his personal finances are and, and how controlled he really is by them, or if they're just his backer, I don't know. Uh, what, what's interesting is the guy, you know, the, the one who was who got in trouble at Caesars for running that sports betting operation for the Paul, World Cup. Paul yeah, Fua. Paul, Paul Fua, yeah. 
Paul Fua, uh, he was one L- of the... LOL, the FBI doesn't get a warrant. Yes. LOL. Yes, that I was I mean, not, really? LOL, very... they, I, I, just what people are talking about during the, the last, uh, the, uh, the World Series, the soccer, the, the World Cup, rather, not the one the U.S. missed, but I guess, what year would this be? Like 2014, maybe? Yeah, something like I don't that. Know, yeah. 15, 16? They, they paid in cash. They weren't even gambling. They stay in these baller, like, not just one. A handful of baller villas at the Venetian, of the Venetian at Caesars, and they were running a worldwide World Cup sports betting ring. They were handling the action. I'm talking about Malaysia, Indonesia, you know, Vietnam, all over, all over the world, out of these villas. And the FBI came in under the pretense of being Caesars, LOL, uh, text because. There was an internet problem. No, 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 no. Almost. They made the internet problem happen on purpose. They, right, they screwed, right, right. They screwed right. up his internet, so in and then he calls up. He, yeah, he calls up and says, uh, "Hey, my internet's dead here. What's wrong? Oh, we'll send. We'll send well, some no, text." He said it with an accent, though. He didn't say it like that. <laughs> say it like he said it. How do you think? Uh, he's gonna get me canceled here. Oh uh, yeah, it's right. I, I, we got canceled. Uh, got no, canceled. We, <laughs> internet, no good. Internet, so, internet, very bad, very bad. Send, send, send someone now. So, so a bunch of, so a bunch of. FBI guys dress up in like Caesar's tech costumes and come in there without a warrant and they bug the room. No warrant. No judge's warrant. Yeah, that was actually an interesting ruling where they they said, well, he let he let us in. We didn't force our way in. We didn't break our way in. He opened the door and said, come in. And his his lawyers argued, yeah, but he let in techs. He didn't think he was letting in uh, FBI agents. He he voluntarily let in people who misrepresented themselves who were actually law enforcement officers. That's a different story. You can't you can't bug without a warrant if if. It, it's not like he let you in uh, as, as law enforcement officers and you, you bugged it. He he let you in uh, thinking your your texts working on the internet. So yeah. they, so the whole thing got thrown out. And but anyway, here's something you may not know that the open faced Chinese rage that we've had for the last several years came really from him. He's not the one who invented the game, but he really loved uh, uh, or not open. I said not open face short deck not. Short deck. Yeah, I was thinking open face. Yeah, I never heard face. that. No, no, no. But no, no short. Not. Yeah, short deck was a game he's been playing for half a decade plus. Easily. Right, right. So, so it was short deck that he was very fascinated with, and he pretty much forced Durr to make a video promoting it, and it was very awkward. It was like the two of them, but you could tell Durr didn't really want to do it, and he was very. Like Durr didn't even enjoy being on camera. Yeah. Durr, Durr did not enjoy this, but you could tell he had to. So. Durr was trying to promote Short Deck and explaining how to play, and up until that video, like nobody had heard of Short Deck. And uh, have you ever played? Have any of yes, you ever played Short Deck? Yes, I'll, I'll tell. I was going to a home game in uh, 2020 and, and late 2019, and we were playing all kinds of games, some of which were made up. And it was actually, in addition to being kind of fun, it was low stakes, but it, but uh, it was also helping me uh, practice at games I wasn't as good at, like stud, and. Uh, yeah, so I introduced uh, short deck to the group there, so and, and that's the only time I played it, is I introduced it to that game, so that was my only playing of short deck. But, Interesting. But uh, for those of you that don't know, short deck is is where they uh, remove the, uh, the the twos through uh, fives from the deck, and and then that changes the game tremendously. It doesn't sound like it would. But it does, you, you, and then you, they are, you even change the ranks of uh, which hand is better than other hands because it starts to change so much how hard it is to draw to certain hands. So uh, anyway, they short deck got the popularity it has 
thanks to Paul Fua, who forced Durer to promote it. So, so moving on here, uh, this is a, a weird story, and I, it, it's not weird on its surface, because this type of thing keeps happening with all the cancel culture and all that going on now, but it's involving who it happened to and who's involved that it's a weird story. Brandon, do you know who Ryan LaPlante is? Yes. Okay. And exactly who you Yeah, right. So he used to listen to the show very regularly. He First time I met him, I didn't even know what he looked like when, when I met him for the first time. He, he just ended up next to me at a, at a No Limit event, and he said, I want to compliment you on your very good podcast, he said to me. And I said, oh, you listen? He said, oh, yeah, I listen to every single week. I listen to every show I have for a long time. And then I said, oh, what, what's your name? He said, Ryan LaPlante. And then uh, I still didn't know who he was then. This this is a while ago before he was as well-known as he is today. And then I looked him up, and uh, it was only after that I had played with him that I learned about him, that he was uh, an openly gay poker player, that he was one of the first openly gay poker players, uh, at least of male poker players. And uh, then he went on to win a World Series of Poker bracelet. He's also had a ton of World Series catches in recent years. He's one of these guys who plays just event after event after event. Like the second he busts, he registers for whatever he can. He just plays an insane number of events, an insane schedule. Uh, very good tournament player, for sure. And uh, he also has like a training site. So he, he works pretty hard in poker. And uh, the, he happened to win his bracelet right after that Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting, where uh, which is a gay nightclub, and it was shot up. So he uh, he when he made his bracelet speech, it was a very emotional speech. Usually I don't like when people get up and talk about things in their speech that have nothing to do with poker, but because of what had just happened there since he was gay, and you know, I, I thought it was a good speech. And Ryan, I don't agree with his political views at all. He, he's a social justice warrior. He's one of these guys always calling everything racist and homophobic. Of course, he's he's very big on the gay activism because he's gay. But he like not all guys who are gay are like that. Like there's there's plenty of gay guys who just uh, say, okay, I'm gay. You know, to, as long as you don't treat me badly because I'm gay, I'm I'm not going to get involved in all the other stuff. Ryan Laplante definitely is into all of that. He's very big into the gay rights activism, and he really is like one of the Twitter social justice warriors. Is always calling people uh, the homophobic and racist and and all that. So that's why it was surprising. That's why it was really surprising when it came out earlier this week that Ryan Laplante had used the N word several times in chat over the years when he played poker. And uh, when this first came out, there was only uh, one instance being discussed. So, and, and this is from back in 2010. Now, keep in mind, Ryan Laplante is a lot younger than I am. He's uh, he's 31. So 10 years ago, he was 21. So at first, I looked at this and I said, okay, I can look at this very neutrally because overall, I can have a neutral opinion of him. I have a positive opinion of, of him when it comes to poker because I, you know, he's never had any scandals. He's never ripped anyone off. In fact, on the other side of it, he calls it out. He calls it out when bad things happen in poker or when companies behave badly, similar to like what I do. When it comes to poker-related things, we very frequently agree, and I like that he's willing to speak out. And so, so poker-wise, I have a lot of respect for him. But as far as his politics, not only do I disagree, but I, I feel like a lot of times he's sanctimonious with it, and uh, I, I don't agree with a lot of not just what he writes, but also the, the tone in which he writes it. So overall, though, I have a neutral opinion of him. He's not my friend. He's never been my friend. Uh, he quit listening to the show for unknown reasons a few years ago. 
I, I'm not bitter about that. Anyone can listen or not listen. That's up to them. But I uh, thought that it was because he disagreed with your politics. I, that's what I'm guessing. I, I'm, okay. I'm not sure, but there's a good chance of that. But yes, that's uh, so. Whatever. Uh, well, and how did you find out he stopped listening? Well, because uh, for a while he had commented occasionally about things I said, and then he just like stopped talking about it. So I asked him a while later, "Do you still listen?" He just wrote, "I do not." So I go, "Okay." It came out that he had said some things in chat first in, in 2010, which you know he was 21 years old. So my first reaction was, "Okay, this was a guy who was relatively young." And just said some things in rage in chat and, and called some people the N-word and, you know, big deal. Like, I'm not saying it's right to do, but I'm saying that young people do that sort of thing. Young people rage in chat fairly easily, especially over something that can sometimes get your emotions up like poker. Look what Negreanu did. He wasn't yelling epithets, but he was saying he's going to feed someone's teeth up their ass. In chat, especially, you can say a lot of offensive things without really being a terrible person or even with chat really representing what you are in real life. So while I wasn't defending the way LaPlante had acted in that chat conversation that was posted to 2 plus 2, I understood, and by the way, this wasn't a new post. Someone dug up an old post from way back then when it happened, from 2010. So I had thought, okay, this is a one-time thing. He was only 21 years old. He obviously isn't like that now. In fact, he's kind of seems like the opposite, where he's super sensitive to any anything that he deems racist or homophobic. So, yeah, it's kind of a bad look for someone who's always chiding others about their language that, that he acted this way when he was 21. But, okay, let's not be the cancel mob here. Let's look at the overall body of what he's been. And since it seems like he's been a solid guy, uh, he's apologized, which I'll read the apology shortly. Uh, let's Let's move past this and forgive him. And so I posted, I made a thread about it and I posted my opinion, which was mostly pro Ryan. It, it was totally pro Ryan, but it was mostly pro Ryan, even though on Twitter, they were coming at him pretty hard on Twitter. There's a lot of people really going off on him. And I got a lot of people angry at me on Twitter, including a lot of people I didn't know or never heard of before for the appearance that I was defending him. And then some of them, actually took the time to show me why I wasn't correct to defend him. And then I hate to admit it, but uh, I think they were right. <laughs> I think, I think I jumped the gun on this one with defending him because it looks like it was more than just that one conversation. Now, again, I'll never be part of the cancel mob. So even if he has used, uh, the N word in chat a number of times over the years, and it wasn't just that one time, which appears to be the case, I don't think that means you shouldn't buy his training or you should just ignore him and, and, and treat him like he's persona non grata and uh, treat him like he's, he's this awful, horrible, terrible person. Or vote for him. <laughs> but, but but I don't <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't agree with the behavior. But I, I'm saying that uh, I'm not one who is is big on on canceling people like that. But at the same time then I can't really defend him and say, oh, why is anyone mad? Because if, if, you're, if you've done this a number of times over the years, even if you stopped some years ago, if there were multiple instances of this, then uh, obviously that's going to look bad for you, especially if you're one who goes out and chides people for being homophobic or, or, or racist or whatever, and then you've got this in your past that especially makes you look bad. So I definitely understand the critics a lot more at this point. Like before, I was like, oh, they're just harping on something from 10 years ago, which, yes, was, was inappropriate, but uh, 
you know, it was only once, and, and now I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> looks like it's more than once, so I understand the criticism. So how did this all come out, though? What, how did someone find this from 2010? Why was anyone looking for this from 2010? Well, this is what happened. Ryan was calling out somebody else, some guy who goes by a Poker Guru 740, and uh, he was calling out this Poker Guru guy for what he claimed was homophobic language. Like, I think he was saying something about faggot or something like that. I think that he was using words like that on his Twitch stream. And I don't think it was like he was bashing gays. I think he was kind of like... Uh, Kind of like the context of, oh, let's let's see what this faggot has who's who's, who's calling me, something like that. So again, you got to watch yourself when you're you're doing Twitch streams so you don't use language like that. But uh, uh, I, I don't know much about the poker guru thing, and it's only a peripheral part of this. It's only kind of what kicked this whole thing off. So Ryan called it out, and he he'll call this type of thing out all the time. Oh, look who's being racist! Oh, look who's being homophobic! So, uh, and that that's a part of Ryan I never really liked very much. So. He called out this poker guru, who I don't know, and some back and forth happened about that. Uh, the, the tweet Ryan made about it initially is now gone, so I cannot uh, comment on that. But this caused some people to remember that Ryan had used some language before in the past that wasn't appropriate himself. Ryan played online under the name Potential. P-R-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-L. It's like the word potential because it's potential, like a, the potential to be a pro. So now he's on Twitter and has been for a long time as Potential MN. stands for Potential Minnesota. Potential MN. So he used to just post on 2 Plus 2 as Potential. I think he has uh, two other accounts there, like Potential MN and Potential something else. But someone found... A post he made, or the post that was made back and forth with him, it, it, uh, it was on the, it wasn't on News Views Gossip on Two Plus Two. It was on like Medium Stakes NL or some some kind of poker strategy forum, and some guy was arguing with him in that thread, and this is back in 2010. This person posted a, a, a capture of chat between uh, someone and. Uh, and Ryan talking back and forth. So in this chat from 2010, there was a guy named XXGrinder1TMXX. I'll just call him XXGrinder. It's not Mike the Grinder of Ms. Rocky. It's just some guy online at the time 10 years ago. So XXGrinder wrote, other, day you, other, days, other day you said niggers are scum or something. That's really dangerous. I don't think you meant it, but you come off racist. So then... Ryan says back, no, I said, guys like I sucks at poker, which is another guy. The, I sucks at poker is the one who posted this screenshot, by the way. Uh, we're scum and thus niggers. And then XX Grinder says, but you see, that comes off as, quote, niggers being scum, which he's right. You can, I, I hate when people use that word and say, oh, no, no, I don't mean black people. I just mean bad people. I mean scummy people. Well, you can, come on. That, that word has had a specific meaning for a long time. So if you use that word, you're using a racial slur. You can't try to claim it meant something else. And if if you think you're using it in some other way, you're not. It's, it's not the way it comes off. So that Ryan was trying to say at the time, this was 10 years ago, that uh, he didn't mean that. He was trying to say that this I sucks at poker guy uh, is just scum, and that's why he used that word. He wasn't doing it about it being black. Now, I don't know if anyone involved in this conversation was black, but uh, uh, that's – so Ryan wrote, I don't mean black. And then XX Grinder wrote, yeah, but everyone thinks you do. 
And then potential Ryan writes, "They's be ignorant," which is, is already. I mean, now he's trying to use uh, like stereotypical black slang that, that already it, it doesn't say very much about his case there. Then he says, "I mean the original." So then he says, "I mean the original meaning of it." XX Grinder says back, "Yeah, I get what you mean, but still." Potential says, "Which is stupid, second class, ignorant, illiterate." And then XX Grinder says, uh, "Niggers are black people." LOL. And then Potential says, "Nah." Uh, niggers come in all colors, mostly white. I spent my summers in all black neighborhood growing up. That's what Ryan said. XX Grinder said, still, it comes off really poorly. And then Ryan says, I, I was growing up in a large American city. But that, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I, he's trying to say he grew up in a large American city, pre- presumably meaning I had a lot of contact with black people. That doesn't mean you can't be racist. <laughs> Maybe that's how he became racist is, uh, or maybe his family was racist to pick it up from them. But obviously, they're like to, to make that comment and then try to explain it. You've either got to say, no, I'll use whatever language I want. I don't care. F you. I'll be offensive if I want. Or, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I won't do it again. You, you, you can't explain it why it's okay and it's not, it's not a racist term. Of course, it's a racist term. By the way, for those of you who are, who are mad that I'm using the term when I'm reading, I'm just reading what was written here. I'm not using the term myself. I just, uh, I, I, I don't want to abbreviate it as for politically correctness sake. I'm, I'm telling you like it is here, but I'm not condoning any of this chat that Ryan did. And as you can see, I'm uh, saying that it was wrong. So uh, that was the conversation in 2010. So, okay, Ryan was definitely in the wrong there. But 10 years ago, I hadn't seen any examples of this. I hadn't seen him acting racist in any way. In fact, he'd call out what he perceived to be racism I thought, okay, you need to give him a pass here and let him apologize, which he did. What he wrote was, seven years ago, I don't know why he wrote seven years ago, but that will play into the rest of this story. In a fit of rage on 2 plus 2, I called someone the N-word. My reasons for doing and my intent are irrelevant. It is something that never should have been used in any context. It was deeply wrong for me to do so. I've tried my best to make amends for that use, but I know I will regret my use of that language for the rest of my life. I'm not posting this to lessen the impact that I used it. The post is simply an apology to everyone who has been discriminated against, especially those who have faced hate due to racism. I am extremely sorry for how I acted and my use of that word. It is something I'm deeply ashamed of doing. Like, okay, but... So first of all, why seven years ago? He, he clearly saw it was 2010 in that post. Did he forget how to subtract? Why say seven instead of ten? Like, ten instead of seven would make more sense. You go, ah, it's about ten years ago. Why would you take something ten years ago and say seven? Well, you may say, okay, maybe he just got confused. Maybe he's just not uh, counting right or forgot the exact year it was. But it looks more likely that that was a different incident. (laughs) It looks like the 2010 thing was separate. And from looking into it further, it looked like what happened is that someone found this 2013 thing, which I still haven't seen. And then Sean Deeb, I don't know how he found it, but Sean Deeb was the one who posted this one from 2010 after that. So I think Ryan was apologizing for something else seven years ago where he used the word on 2 plus 2. And then uh, <laughs> and then someone found this other thing from 2010. And then other people came out in the Twitter thread and were saying, yeah, Ryan's called me a racist name too. Or I've seen Ryan use this word in chat much more recently than 2010 or 2013. Now, they're not saying it happened yesterday. They're not saying it happened this year. But they're saying it wasn't 10 years ago. They're saying this is something that wasn't that long ago. 
and that it happened multiple times. And a lot of people came out to where I – yes, they could have been making it up. I didn't see proof or screenshots. But a lot of different people I'd never heard of before came out and said, yeah, I've seen Ryan do it or Ryan did this to me. So I have to think that Ryan did this a lot of times. And I don't know why he did this. I don't know why he couldn't control himself when he would behave this way. Here's something else that someone found, again from 2010. This is what uh, Ryan wrote to somebody. If I ever get a chance to meet you in real life, pray to God that there isn't a sharp object nearby. He spelled by, by, nearby, N-E-A-R space B-U-Y. Because I will castrate you and fucking make you eat your balls, you fucking piece of nigger-ass motherfucking douchebag. Yes, I am serious. If there's nothing close by, again, he misspelled by, B-U-Y, that is sharp, I will just kick you in the balls so hard and so many times you will bleed at the worthless excuse of your two-inch flab of skin that you call a penis for the next three months. Wow. Wow. Uh... That's really surprising to read from Ryan. He he is not a violent guy by any. Sure, is that the the new statement from Daniel Negron? That's what I was gonna say. Maybe the two of them should get together. Uh, mm-hmm. Very similar. Uh, one in two thousand twenty, one in two thousand ten. But uh, Negranu, uh, yeah, he said he said it on Twitch. Ryan he he posted <laughs> this at the time, and if you've ever met him, I mean, if you think Negranu's non threatening. Ryan LaPlante is, is like this short, skinny guy who's he's not, he's definitely not someone you would be like physically afraid of. This is not someone who comes off as like physically imposing or threatening. He seems very harmless in that way. I've never even seen him behave this way ever. Like unlike Negreanu, who has his rage moments, I had not seen Ryan ever just completely flip out like this. Now again, this is ten years ago, but obviously he had some issues back then, and maybe still. But obviously back then, to be writing things like that, that's uh, pretty graphic. <laughs> so uh, then people posted some other things. Uh, someone named Hollis Thompson wrote, uh, Ryan, let's relax. You called, you, caused, you called me some pretty mean and perhaps bigoted before. Uh, Chris Hunichin wrote, Ryan called Joshua, which is someone else in this conversation, a, quote, nigger in chat but called everyone else a racist and a bigot, GTFO. Now, by the way, were these things written this week? No, they were written in 2016. So this has been discussed for a while now. It just, for some reason, Ryan has escaped it until recently. Like, uh, people would say this, I guess, because nobody knew these guys very well who were calling them out. This kind of just passed by. Uh Ryan responded back in 2016 to this Hollis Thompson, and I was wrong in doing so and apologized for being a dumb cunt, not hard to admit it. But to me, this looks like that uh, Ryan had some issues, maybe still does, did this multiple times. And I think if I had to guess, I don't think he's like a secret massive racist. I think he kind of just learned this when he was younger, that this is like an insult. And and, and uh, that that juvenile part of him would come out whenever he'd rage about something in the poker chat. That that's my it's guess. Tourette's, yeah. That's Tourette's, yeah. Uh, by the way, someone else found uh, uh, another one where he, where he used the word like I, I've seen other screenshots. I won't read them all here. It's, it's you guys get the point. 
there, there's something going on there. There's this, this wasn't just a one-time slip-up. And maybe he's corrected it in the last five, six years. I don't know. But there, this happened for at least a number of years back in the first half of the 2010s, maybe since then. Multiple people have come forward. And he needs to address this better than the little blurb he put up there. Oh, I said something seven years ago I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. He should just... He should just come out and be honest. Just say, "Look, I, I have I have some anger issues, and and I just spout off and say things that I totally don't mean, but I just uh, I just say ridiculous things. I've got to get this under control. Or I've gotten this I've gotten this under control in the last X number of years. I really regret my behavior before. I was hoping this wouldn't come back to bite me later. Uh, apparently, some people have found it. I make no excuses for it. Uh, it was stupid. I, I want to assure you, I have no issues with any other race. These were just offensive things I would say when I was mad." And and I hope you can forgive me, and I hope you know that uh, uh, I understand fully how this was wrong. Just something, something like that. Just be just be open. Just be honest about it. Just be honest that you had this problem, and you've since corrected it. His apology was kind of more sounding like it was a one-off thing, which even fooled me. I, I believed it was a one-off thing. Uh, he actually pinned his apology on his Twitter, so that's the first thing you find if you go to his potential MN Twitter. And uh, he has been tweeting since then, but he's really just been retweeting things from what I've seen. I don't know if he's actually tweeted anything himself. It kind of seems to me like he's laying low. He sent me a PM, which I will not read out here. Kind of wish I could. I could, but I, I'm not going to be a jerk and read it out here. But uh, uh, I, I kinda, he didn't tell me he's laying low, but he, see, all he's doing is retweeting. Ever since that uh, that whole thing that happened, it looks like he's not gone silent, but he's been uh, just – all he's done is retweet. I'm looking for the last two full days, just retweeting a lot of things. It's kind of like I don't want to leave Twitter, but uh, I really kind of want to participate, but I don't want to tweet anything myself because people will bash me, so I'll retweet. One retweet he did was interesting. It's from someone named Christian Soto. I don't know who that is, but uh, uh, in reference to Poker Guru, who apologized for his uh, homophobic language, Christian Soto wrote, That was big of Poker Guru to admit wrong to potential MN, meaning Ryan, and also to take steps to educate himself of the problems of the LGBTQIA community face. The progress is good to see. A lot of myself... A lot of guys, myself included, use, quote, locker room talk too freely, and it's time we start being more mindful. So Ryan retweeted that yesterday. I don't know what he's trying to put out there, though. Is he, like, is Ryan putting that out about himself or, or, or to about people should be more mindful about saying, like, anti-gay stuff? Because, like, I, I think Ryan has lost the ability to chide others for language at this point. That's it. He, he's kind of ruined that. Once that comes out about you that you used that language yourself for that long, even if it was when you were a little bit younger, uh, now you can't go chide people for homophobic language or racist language. You, you can't do it anymore. You you used bigoted language. You should want others' forgiveness, and then you have to learn from it and say, okay, you know what? If I want everyone to think I'm not a bad guy, I'm going to make some progress myself and realize that not everybody who uses bad language – or, or uh, you know, uses epithets is necessarily that terrible. They shouldn't be doing it, but but some are kind of just doing it as, as like this Christian Soto guy said, locker room talk. They just they just kind of say it 
out of habit, out of uh, kind of the juvenile side to them coming back, whatever it is, that some people do it without really hating the group they're talking about. So they should seek not to use such language, but that you shouldn't condemn people because they're caught using it. That, that should be Ryan's message here. Okay, I've realized you don't condemn everybody because of something they've said. You, you try to look at the whole body of who they are. And, and I'll tell you, I told Ryan this privately. Like, I, I won't tell you what he said to me because he wrote it to me privately and I'll respect that. But I, I will tell you what I said to him in part was that you, you basically you have to learn from it and that I don't think he's a horrible person. I'm not looking to have him canceled or have anything bad happen to him. I don't mean like physically bad. I mean, I, I'm not saying people should boycott his coaching or any of that. Just, I, But I, I think at the same time, he needs to fully address the accusations and probably true accusations. And also kind of learn from this that maybe you shouldn't be the language police of Twitter. Maybe you shouldn't uh, go around condemning people for everything you think sounds homophobic. Or you think sounds racist because look, you did it too. And unless you want to say that you're a piece of crap, you of all people, Ryan, can understand that sometimes decent people can say stupid or bad things. And I actually think that's a good description of what happened with Ryan. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think maybe he has some anger issues he has to address. I think there's there may be some kind of dark side to him that we don't see, but I don't think it's a terrible dark side. I think it's a, like a raging side and some uh, pent-up frustration or anger that he suppresses in his public persona, but that comes out sometimes in chat. And he should look at that himself. I'm I'm not in his head. I can't tell you what it is, but there's no way he just said this randomly. I don't think it's a, a Negreanu-style Tourette's. So that, that happened, and I, I wonder... If Ryan's going to even bother continuing on Twitter doing what he was doing before, if he's going to going to go back to uh, just commenting on more harmless things or more things people couldn't question, such as like poker sites not behaving ethically. But just want to make it clear, I'm not anti-Ryan here. I, I'm surprised by this, but I'm not condemning him. I think he should just own up to it, fully address it, explain why it happened, explain why he's changed. And explained what he's learned from this. And not just what he learned about himself from 2010, but what he's learned about judging people by every word they use. Because there's too much of that going on now. There's too, there's too much cancellation of people going on by uh, things they've said or done at some point. And it's dumb. You should look at the whole person. Unless it's something really, really major. I'm going to have to cancel myself, Druff. I was wondering I wanted, if that was going to happen. I wanted to make it to the coronavirus stuff. I really did, but I, I can't do it. Oh, you should have told I me. I could, I could have skipped ahead. Okay, but I, I know you're too tired uh, now. No big deal. All right. Well, th- thank you, Cal Watt. Uh, feel free to come back anytime. And we're, we're really lost co-hosts here. So I think we've lost Brandon. He kind of uh, – yeah, he told us he'll be probably vanishing. Yeah, he's just yeah. gone. And uh, Vintage One, he's just not responding. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. And uh, Trader Ruski, are you still with us? I am, but I'm fading fast too. How do I go from like uh, ten, old faithful? How do I go from like ten co-hosts <laughs> to zero? How does that happen? I've been up since four thirty. Oh my god! <laughs> Dude, see, you're starting it's it too to late, bro. Yeah, good to good to talk to you guys. Thanks for. Thanks for having me on, Druff. Sorry, okay, I, I couldn't have the uh, no. Constitution to make it much longer. No, it's three a.m. I understand. So, yeah. all right. Well, thank you, and uh, 
By, by the way, I, I see you you sent me an article. The man who lost penis to blood infection has a new one built on his arm. Yeah, I mean it's a crazy story that I feel that uh, you should be covering because okay. this guy apparently had some kind of a uh, some kind of an issue, and he said he knew his penis was going to fall off, and it fell off. Like his penis. Imagine you wake up one day and your dick just falls off, right? And he said, I knew it was coming, so I just picked it up and I threw it in the bin. You imagine what kind of day it would be that you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> like your dick falls off and you just throw it in the trash, you know? But why would you throw it in the bin? Why not try to save it? Like, why, why would you throw it in the bin? Well, apparently, that? like, you know, it was, uh, it was too far gone. There was nothing that could be, like, reattached. Like, it was basically rotting or, you know, whatever it was. And then he found a, a doctor that is, like, a penis magician or something like that. And they're growing him a new penis, and they're growing it as a on his forearm. They're like using a skin graft from his forearm to like grow his penis, and he's kind of like waiting for the final surgery that will transfer this thing from his forearm to his penis. So he's going around. He's got no dick, but he's got an, a second dick hanging off his forearm. Now, now here's here's a question: If 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 a guy if a guy if it's really really important to a guy to have a bigger dick, could could yeah. he? Have a doctor grow a gigantic penis on his forearm, and then just have them eventually cut off his his original penis and put on this giant penis that grew up on his forearm. His forearm? Do you think that's possible? Is that the new uh, innovation well, actually, in penis? It actually says surgery? it in the article. It says oh, really? that he asked the guy to put on an extra two inches. <laughs> it says it in there. <laughs> but what about people doing this voluntarily? Like that's what I'm wondering about. Is this going to be the because the, this, from what I've heard. Uh, penis enlargement uh, operations are really not very effective. That they yeah. uh, they get like a yeah. tiny bit extra, and it's uh, and then there's all kinds of uh, complications to it, and uh, it's right. it's really not like some people just have the idea you can just go into the doctor and say, "Hey, I want a penis enlargement." They can just add like three inches to you. It's not like that. Like they can't. It's, right, and this guy is going to have the same kind of issue. So this is not going to be a fully functioning penis. He's oh, got like okay. a pump oh, that's hooked up right. to it that he has to use to get it right, and it's going to cost him. $65,000 to do this. But I mean, the whole story is just insane. But I think the most insane part of it is just that he's got this dick hanging off his forearm. <laughs> he's waiting to get transferred. He should just wear like really baggy shirts with long sleeves and hope nobody notices. I guess. And if you look at the pictures, they've got it blurred out like you know, the Japanese porn. They've got his, <laughs> his, his forearm dick is blurred out. <laughs> I, I would think that it's not obscene so, if it's. Is- is it sixty-five thousand? Because it's like ten thousand an inch or something. He's gone for six and a half. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's what he's going for. I don't know. I don't even know if the story is real. It's like New York Post, which I don't think is, I think is kind of a rag, right? I don't know. It is, but I don't see them but, outright lying. It's not like it's not like some of these which just write absolutely false Inquirer stories. Yeah, yeah. It's above the Inquirer for sure. So I mean, the story is just fucking. I mean, it's just hilarious. He says, he says, uh, you know, for. For two years after losing my penis, I felt the shadow of a man. My life really fell apart because I had no self-confidence. I drank too much. I didn't see friends and family. I just didn't want to face up to the fact that I had lost it, he said. But then he found out from his doctors that there was a doctor called a penis master, a professor at <laughs> London's College Hospital. So the, the penis master that he found is the one that is helping him build a bionic penis out of a skin graft from his forearm. <laughs> I don't think master is the word they should use anyway. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. They have maybe two not. meanings there. All right, well. I wouldn't pay $65,000 just to get a dick put back on that doesn't work. Like, i got to pump it up. I yeah, mean, that's a big know? problem. That's what I was going to say. If, if once The whole pumping thing is kind of 
ruins a lot of the whole point of uh, oh, hold on, guys. baby. You keep that keep that mood. Let me get my pump out. <laughs> it's fucking well, pumping it, it like might, it's it a basketball. Those, like, the, might have it like the inflatable mattresses at least now though. So you just plug it in and press the button. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it has like a release valve. Like you know, you don't want to overinflate it. God damn! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Think it explode like a grenade. He'd ruin his new penis. Yeah. yeah. Well. Uh, that's that's a weird well, story. Well, now he knows he can just go get another one if he has problem. That's true. I guess if, if he has enough yeah, money, how much money he, can he have? Well, if he's got a lot of money, he he may have uh, like he could have uh, fifty penises in him, maybe. maybe well, he and he's going to run out of forearms. There are other you know body places where he can grow new penises. You know, what if he grew like several at once? True. What if he grew like <laughs> what if he grew like backup penises? They could they can freeze some. <laughs> Like octo penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> See, I mean, you know, they, 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 Negroni was all upset, seriously, serious, like, you know, photoshopped in a dildo. Could have been a lot worse, right? He could have had dicks hanging off of his forearm and stuff, you know? <laughs> and then why have that written up in the New York Post? Why not just, why, why publicize that? <laughs> You've got a penis in your forearm. I don't know. I mean, I guess someone found out about the story, and there's some kind of issue going on with the final surgery that will transfer it. So I think he's kind of like stuck in limbo with his dick on his forearm or something. Yeah, I guess he can still use it technically. <sighs> for what though? It may like be this... easier. No, he can use it for sex. It'd be easier actually. Only if the pump is hooked up, right? Oh yeah, if the pump's hooked up, yeah. I mean, right now it's just like this dangly, like I don't even know, like fleshy thing i don't know it's weird it's a weird story man i i just thought it was important that you cover the important news of the day yeah I'm, I'm sure i'm sure on uh all other podcasts they'll cover this as well i'm sure it's a duplicate topic yeah People, all right man with that with that story my mission is complete okay. i will talk Th- to you thank later. you for bringing that to us and thank you for bringing, right, bringing yourself to us calwatt and we'll talk to you later all right good night guys good night all right so we're how do we lose all the co-hosts so quickly? They just—they all come so fast and they all go away so fast, and and I'm left alone. I—I I don't know how you're still up, Drop. We were texting back and forth at like five thirty, right? Did, you must have taken a nap or something. No, I—I I, I slept during the day. That's—that's that's what I did. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, let's let's see what's next here. And uh, Triggers, you you can kick off whenever you need to. But all right, I'll stay as long as you can. All right, thank you. I don't want to guilt you into I'm it. Still in an ACR tournament. So oh, okay, okay. That's gonna, that's gonna <laughs> force you to stay to around. Like Ten or eleven. So. Yeah, that's gonna force you to stay around. All right. Well, I want to quickly point out here that you may have hundreds of dollars waiting for you on WSP.com, and you may not know it. And this is thanks to Alan Kessler for. I don't know if it's discovering it, but at least pointing this out. And people have said, hey, you're right, Alan. I actually do. I actually have money waiting for me on WSB.com that I did not know was there. And they really thanked him for it. So I wanted to put that on the show. Now, don't bother if you have not been playing on there. So if you haven't been playing, don't even look because it's not going to be there. But... There have been people playing World Series of Poker.com events. There's been people playing cash games, I assume, contribute to it as well. And apparently you're accumulating rewards at what Kessler claims is at a fairly generous rate. 
I guess it's kind of like Rakeback, and they are not publicizing it in what I really consider this to be marketing malpractice. Imagine they have a fairly good Rakeback program, and they are not publicizing it or letting people know the money's there. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a good thing to promote? I mean, yes, I guess people redeem it, and that causes them to lose a little bit of money, but they obviously want people to redeem it if they're going to give it. So why give it and get no credit for it? But that... It's, it's it's almost like like how do you give away money and get the least credit for doing so? That's exactly what they're doing here. So, I thought it was important to let everybody know this is happening, so you can go take a look if you've been playing on there, and you might very well find money that you didn't know exists. So on July twenty seventh, Kessler tweeted. Everyone probably knows this, but for the one or two who don't, by the way, it's far more than one or two. A lot of people didn't know this. If you've played a lot of events on WCB.com, they have a generous rakeback program. Click on My Profile and then click on My Rewards and then move that to your bankroll. So you may have hundreds of dollars sitting there if you've been playing a lot on there. Click on My Profile, then My Rewards. I should tell Brandon this. I know he's been playing on there. And you can find it. Now, Smith 84 poker Jared Smith, who I played with uh, twice at the 2019 main event, which I would have preferred not to have, but uh, I'd rather have a fish in his place. But uh, nevertheless, he got at my table twice, once on uh, day two and once on day four, when we finished around the same spot, too. We got paid the exact same, in fact, in that World Series event. But he wrote, it's in a super weird spot. Click my profile, my account. It should default to the bonus tab. Then from there, you should click the drop down and change the status to completed to see how many you've done already. Wow, that's a lot more complicated than what Kessler said. Mario Quijano wrote, Oh, wow, thanks, Alan, for the tip. I just converted some reward points into my bankroll. Didn't even know they were just sitting there waiting to be reclaimed. Uh, David Prosiak wrote, Thanks, Alan, for telling everyone. I already knew, but I'm sure a lot of people might not have been aware. Uh, another person, Greg Jennings, said, Thanks as usual, Alan. Never crossed my mind to look. And... Let's see who else. Uh, oh, Max Pescatori found over $500, $550 in his account. He said, wow, I owe you dinner chainsaw. So a good win for Max Pescatori to have uh, 550 bucks in his account. So a lot of people don't know this. So definitely go take a look if you have been playing at WSB.com. And all you have to do is click the Convert Points button once you're at the proper screen, and it'll move it to your account in real dollars. I don't know if there's any kind of playthrough, but I don't think there's much of one. There's either no playthrough or not much playthrough. So it looks like real money that's just sitting there that you should claim. So again, uh, according to Smith 84 poker he says, click my profile, my account, then if you see the bonus tab, then click on that, and then you can click on the drop-down and change it to say the status to be completed, and then it'll show you. Interesting. So I did not know about that either. I may have known it a long time ago because I know I was getting 35% rake back by being seven stars back when they did that. So I probably did that back then, but I bet a lot of people don't know. And I wouldn't have thought to do it today. I, I, I kind of pictured that I was getting nothing at this point. All right. Prolage Friedman is kind of back in the news, kind of more because I put him back in Poker Fraud Alert news. It, on its face, it doesn't appear to be a big deal, what's going on, but I'm noticing some things that 
might be indicative of some trouble there in paradise with Prahlad and his wife. Now, remember, Prahlad is married. I don't know if he's officially married or just says he's married, but he does have a kid with her and lives with her. I'll call her his wife. That's what he calls her, and I'll assume that's what she is. But he's been married for a few years now. And the woman he's married to is a much younger, I think she's like 24 or something, and he's 42. But she's a much younger Brazilian woman. Uh, Sometimes she calls herself black, but she doesn't look it. She's dark-skinned. But she looks more Hispanic to me than black, but I don't know. I don't know what her real ethnicity is. She's, she's definitely far from white. Uh, and, and I'll explain shortly why that plays into any of this. It never appeared like Prahlad was really her type. It's, so originally, Prahlad was trying to get her music career going. And she went by... Uh, she was Redbone... Aida, A-I-D-A, Redbone, A-I-D-A. On Twitter now she's Aida Leal only, A-I-D-A-L-E-A-L-O-N-L-Y. Aida Leal only is her name right now on Twitter. But uh, she was trying to uh, become famous uh, musically under the name Aida, which didn't make much sense because there was already someone from the UK who was using that name that was much better known than she she was. And Perlod at one point claimed he was devoting full time to getting her music career going and he was going to try to get his going along with hers, which I don't think was very smart because he doesn't have very much musical talent. He thinks he does, but his, his music is pretty bad. As Willie McFML, who listens to this show and posts on our forum, pointed out to Perlod, if you're having a good time making your music, by all means do it. If you enjoy it, then have fun with it, but don't be under the delusion it's good. It's pretty bad. It's, uh, uh, others are not going to really enjoy this very much. Don't don't believe yourself to be a great musician. If you like doing it, great, but don't think it's going to get you anywhere. So I think he promised her that he's going to make her famous. That's my guess. I don't know, but that's how I think she became interested in him. He was interested in her because she was a, a pretty uh, young woman. And she had some interest in him. And he's 42. At the time, he was a few years younger, but whatever. You know, he's, she's way younger than he is. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have the, the hot young Brazilian chick. And she was obviously interested in him for a combination of money and getting her music career going. And somehow this led to what looks like a marriage. And definitely they had a kid. who's was a baby right now. And that was a big mistake. Because it doesn't look like they're compatible at all. She has made a lot of posts over time on Twitter. And I, I've covered them before on this show where they've had their marital squabbles on there. And where uh, he's been jealous about her flirting with other guys. And about other guys flirting with her. And her posting scantily clad pictures. But other times he seems to be encouraging the scantily clad pictures. So it's kind of hard to tell what his position is on that. And... She has posted a number of times about guys that she thinks are really hot. Which is already kind of disrespectful for a married woman to be posting. about This guy's hot, that guy's hot. But the guys she seems to always be focusing on are ones who don't look at all like for a lot. She seems to like young, muscular black men. Which 
kind of makes sense. I mean, it makes a lot more sense than her being into a middle-aged white guy. So that seems to be her real type, not Prahlad. In fact, she's bashed white men in general on her Twitter before and saying that uh, yeah, white men this, white men that, and people are like, wait a minute, aren't you married to a white man? She's like, oh, uh, uh, well, uh, the Prahlad's different. <laughs> but it's pretty... Drop, drop. I think she met him on a phone line that thought he was black. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe you heard one of his songs or something. That's right. That's a good question. But uh, uh, she's also written things like, uh, this, is, this is back in May. This is sad, but the worst thing a man can do is act insecure. That shit be drying me up like a mofo, she wrote back then. And uh, it, it's weird. As, as far as the scantily clad pics, like sometimes he's flaunting her and... and and posting the pics himself, or retweeting the pics himself, and other times he's saying how how she shouldn't be doing this if if she's a mom. It's, it, he's all over the place with this. It, it seems like he he likes it when he can show off and say, "Oh, look at the hot young chick I'm with. Look at her body." And it, you guys should be jealous of me. But it's, it's it's not so fun when there's other dudes that are that are PMing her and she's enjoying it. That's kind of what it looks like to me. So uh, th- this has been going back and forth for a while as we've covered over the show, but we haven't talked about it in, in some time in about two months. But she posted a picture on July 22nd of her with a guy who very much looks like her physical type. She is standing next to a young, shirtless, muscular black man, very close to him, leaning, leaning up on his shirtless chest. And that's the first picture. And she's got these short shorts on, and she's not worrying very much, very much herself. So she takes that picture and then took a second picture with him kissing her head as they are uh, taking that photo. So that's kind of not what you expect of a married mom, right? That's not exactly... I wouldn't want my girlfriend uh, posting a picture like that on Twitter or even taking a picture like that and not posting it on Twitter. So that by itself was already suspect, especially because she said this is uh, what she likes in the past. That's what she's revealed. Now, she wrote... In Portuguese, remember she's from Brazil, so she wrote in Portuguese, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but this is what she wrote. Eu vou ficar bolada se a gente não durar. And what that means in English, according to Google Translate, I will be fine if we don't last. Hmm. I don't think she's talking about the black guy in that picture. I will be fine if we don't last. That's a message to Prahlad. Hey, I don't care if we don't last. Look, look who I have to replace you. The type I really like. I, I don't really like 42-year-old white men. I like the young, muscular black guys. That's, that's what I've always been into, not you. So you think you're going to be crying if we don't last. I'm not. Look what I already got here. Look who I've got kissing me here. Just letting you know. that's what I've already got him on deck, is what that seems to be saying. So that already was a problem. Now, unlike before, Prahlad was not... Like posting publicly, he would be going at her publicly when things like this would happen. Here, here he hasn't. He's been tweeting his usual uh, virtue signaling about racism, blah blah blah. But he hasn't really been uh, focusing upon that. But there's been more. She posted on July 29th. Now only uh, two days ago, born to ride that dick. I'm sorry. And then she she had another tweet, which is no longer there. I should have saved it. But she also wrote something like, when we're together, something very positive about 
when we make love, the whole world stops. That's not what she wrote, but something along those lines. Like, do you ever write that about someone you've been with for years? You can really love the person, but you're not, like, thinking that after being with someone for many years. You're not actively thinking about how you feel when you make love with them after you've been with them for such a long time because you get used to it. That's more of kind of a lustful thing you write. That's when some, you, you find someone new and you're very excited about them. And that's – there's phases in relationships. I'm not just talking about Prahlad. Everybody's relationships, there's phases. And you, anyone who's dated here knows that. I'm sure everybody here listening to the show knows this, that there's the period where you're really excited about the person and can't stop thinking about them and everything you're looking forward to involving them. And then that translates over to – sometimes it will translate over to – a uh, more stable, calm, kind of like addictive quality to being with a person to where you really want to be with them. You feel like a deep love for them. You get used to being with them. You'd feel really empty if they weren't with you anymore. But you're not like actively excited about them anymore. And that happens fairly fast. Like usually by the year mark, this has happened, and usually quite before then, often at the six-month mark, the three-month mark, somewhere around there. But usually not much more than a year do you go through the period where you were so excited. Then you you, you, you kind of go from excited to hopefully just happy to be with them and more of like a stable, deep, loving feeling rather than an excited feeling. So the, the tweets here were excited tweets. They were tweets about how she's feeling when she makes love and, and she's born to ride that dick. You don't write that about your husband that you've been with for a few years. And now she's deleted one of the two. That especially, If that was about Perlod, why would you delete it? Perlod also posted that he's going solo, uh, not as far as his relationship is concerned, but that he's thinking of going back to music. He's just going to start to go hard on my own music. Solo shit. I got it. Don't go to sleep on me. And they put a heart at the end. So he's going to go solo on his own music. Now, they were mu- making music together. Now it's solo. That's some coincidence. That was on July 24th he tweeted that. So I think that they may have done kind of like a separation in the same house which i've seen before i've seen before that people just decide it's over but they're not ready to do an actual move out yet so they've just decided they're breaking up and they go date other people and yet they're still living in the same house they sleep in separate beds they don't have sex anymore they don't touch anymore but they're just living in the same house until they can go their separate ways something's going on here something's definitely going on here i'm not sure what yet but it kind of looks to me like she's messing around with other guys and that maybe they've already agreed that it's done or that they're doing a trial separation. I don't know what it is. But if there's ever a chick who is not into middle-aged white men, it's her. From everything she's written, middle-aged white men are not her type. So Perlod was not the right choice. And the mistake he made was marrying her and having a kid with her. If he wanted to tell her some tale about how he'll make her famous and she has sex with him and they, they mess around for a while until she gets wise to it and realizes he can't do anything for her career and she leaves him fine. But this is a matter of where he took it very seriously and he married someone with apparently very little in common with him and where he's not even her type and where there's a big age difference and they really have very little compatibility and she's starting to feel, hey, like I, I'm not happy. I, I don't, I'm not really into you. I've never been that into you. I kind of want to be with my type. I want to be with the type of guy I have liked. I'm not happy here. Yet she has a kid with him, so it's not trivial to just get up and leave. I think 
it's time for him to just give up, cut his losses, hire a good attorney, try to get out of the marriage with the least financial damage possible, and move forward. That, that's what I think. Brandon, I see you're back. You know, this happens every time. I say I want to be in bed at a certain time, and I get delayed by something. So listen, just to show my commitment to, to the fraud show community, I'm back. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give the community, the show, the listeners, 45 minutes. At 1.30, if I go on, you have to tell me you got to get some sleep. i got to be up at 7 no matter what. I have something to do. Somewhere I have to be. I, I can't, it can't be delayed. So at 1.30, 45 minutes or so from now, will you please make sure, just even if you have to cut me off right, right at the, the cusp of this, will you send me off to bed? Yeah. Please? Yeah. Okay. So right. uh, I, I will All do right. that. And uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank Good you for friend. coming back. I'm glad to have you back here. So now, have, have you followed any of this lot stuff? Is, has Trader Ruski fell asleep? I'm still here, but I'm about to, I'm fading fast. Jesus. What about uh the Kilowatt? Kilowatt. No, Kilowatt. we lost we lost everybody else. Jesus. What about the one that insulted the female? No, no, he's gone too. It's it's been carnage here. Just uh, it was only Trader Ruski and myself until you came back. Well, you know what, buddy? If there's one thing you can say about me, you can say a lot of things about me, but one thing you can say, I'm, I usually. I hang. I can hang tough with the best of them on this fraud show. Yes, I mean, and and Brandon has a, a show now. He does as well on, on Sunday, yeah. so he's got uh, he's, he's double dipping here. I'm double dipping. If people don't recall last week. I set my alarm to watch a Korean baseball game. I had wagered on. Did the fraud show for the game, <laughs> and you know, people don't know. I, I I did another fail podcast. Not I'm talking about my new show, which is right now a fail podcast. I think we had nine people that listened last week live. It's kind of. A fail show, but I did another fail show many years ago, and I did your show too at the same yes, time. So I've double dipped before. Yes, I remember, and yeah. I, I occasionally so, came on that show as well. Yeah, you did. And then we, you know, I will say the one good thing or the funny thing was you did get to interview or be a part of the interview. What was it, Ryan Dempster? Wasn't that kind of a cool thing for you? Yeah, the baseball player. Yeah, here I'll, I, I have somebody else who's calling in here. We both know Tyrone. No, it's it's someone you know better than Tyrone. Caller, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Dra. Oh, oh God. <laughs> there she is. That's um, we just wanted to call in and say hi. What do you mean, shush? <laughs> Anna, shut up. Okay, Dra. Say hi. I'm deflating. <laughs> what is going on there? Yeah. What is, what is going on? I have no Where idea. What's, I have no idea what's going on. We have Brandon on here too, by the way. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Okay, Jeff. Um, we just wanted to call and say hi. But who's um, we? Who else? Who, who else is there? Uh, it's me. Gary is yawning away, trying to go to sleep, but we're all in the same room. And Anna and Chris—they were talking about you today, Jeff. What do they say? Hey, Todd. Hey, Todd. How are you, man? Hi, Chris. So what? What did, what did hey. you say today? I heard you're talking about me. What were you saying? Um, we were saying, where's Druff? He uses the fun of this party, and you're not hey, here. Join us. Come over. I, I, can't, I, don't, I can't. I don't want the coronavirus. Hey, I'm afraid to Rachel, go anywhere. Rachel, you're not going to say hi to me? Oh, hey, Brandon. <laughs> I mean, really? Oh, my God. That's you're even, on the like, right, Brandon, hi. I didn't know you were on. I thought you were going to be at Harrow's with us. I have to be. I I know. I have to be up at 7 in the morning, and I... I was supposed to Druff tell her I was supposed to be asleep an hour ago. Yeah, Brandon I mean, shouldn't I, even be here. He he decided to come on to spend at the expense of his sleep. Yeah, that's the truth. Oh, okay. Did did you did you ladies uh, and I guess gentlemen did you have fun at Harris? How how'd it go? Um, 
Yeah, it went really bad. We uh, went over to Venetian to get some clean air. <laughs> well, what was wrong with the um, air at Harris? Well, it was really ghetto. It was really dirty. It was really ghetto. No, no, it wasn't ghetto. It was, it was Gary ghetto. says. Was ghetto. I haven't seen Gary, Harris. Gary um, dragged us out. Yeah, I've never seen Harris be ghetto. It's just, uh, it's not the nicest place, but it's not who terrible. Is, Rachel, who's the Anna that you're with? Is it the Anna, the poker player? I can't pronounce her name. No, list. no, it's a different one. A, I know, oh, I know, I know who it is. Robolowski, Robolowski. No, no, it's, it's a different oh, okay. one. Yeah. All right. Druff, it seems no. like you know all these, you know this whole crew, don't you? I, I do, actually, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we, we we hung out downtown with Druff, and today we were um, playing UTH, and everybody's like, where's Druff, the guy we played with downtown? And then I said, he's not around. And so I that thought I'd call and say hi. That is true. I was downtown with all of you. That was, uh, wasn't that like, that was like shortly before the main event last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for those that don't know, uh, Rachel is the girlfriend of another PFA member. I mean, I, well, I, you know, do we, do we, is it known? Like, I mean, not his real I, name. I don't, I don't know. PFA I don't know how much, I don't know how much is known, uh, or how okay, much, he, or how much he wants known. But, but yeah, she's she, a girlfriend of a PFA guy yes. that, we, that we all know that we're friends with for years. And Rachel is also a very, very pretty young lady. And the PFA member is very lucky, I think, to, to have her. Well, he knows that. And, and now, yeah, Rachel. Rachel is one of the. Uh, she's one of the younger listeners too. She's only uh, twenty nine years old. Wow. wow. Young, damn. I, I think is, is Rachel okay. the prettiest PFA listener we have, like female, that we've ever had? I mean, she's a good looking girl. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. What would you say? I, but I don't know who they all are, but uh, well, I'm the one thing up there. Know, I guess what I'm saying is, if we were doing a pageant, who would win heads <laughs> up, her or Karen Nathan? Her or Karen Nathan? Oh, she would beat Karen Nathan for sure. Okay. No, that wouldn't even be close. Just, all right. Well, all, all I said is Karen Nathan's a real female. I, I haven't said anything more than that. But, yeah. uh, but true oh story. God, so true story, if I recall correctly, and again, I'm not going to give out names, but uh, Rachel's boyfriend initially back, oh, way back, like 11, 12 years ago, when I was when we were doing this show uh, with Mycon and Druff was in, still in L.A. at this point, Mycon played in a tournament with me at the Aria, and it was the first ever in Las Vegas, at least, all interfold tournament. And Mycon was obsessed with it. Mycon wanted an all interfold uh, trophy in his mantle, and you know we went to the Aria. He played this tournament. He loved it. He busted out. You know, I mean, it's all in her fold. It's kind of, you know, <laughs> a lot of luck involved. So anyhow, later on, maybe a couple weeks later, it was his cousin Dave's birthday. And cousin Dave was Mike Con's cousin Dave. And cousin Dave was coming to Vegas. Cousin Dave is like literally like the degenerate blood related cousin of Mike Con. You can see it when you meet cousin Dave, which I've met many times. Like I once watched cousin Dave play four, eight limit hold him at the Orleans for like 30 hours straight to the point where he literally missed a flight back to, I don't remember, somewhere on the East Coast because he didn't want to get up from a 4-8 limit holding game <laughs> at the Orleans. He's a degenerate. Good guy. Good guy. Even, you know, we all have Yeah, a- I like that. You know, I, I saw Cousin Dave uh, some years after Mike on and I had the falling out, and we, we still mm-hmm. talked. We still had a, a good conversation. Like, he, he didn't hold it against yeah. me. Nice guy. No, nothing bad to say. So, anyhow, Cousin Dave is coming to Las Vegas for his birthday. And Mycon decides for his birthday party to throw, in honor of him, an all-interfold tournament. 
And that was right after we had prank called the Palms on Black Friday. And that's, that's another story, but we ended up prank calling the Palms and we were talking about it on a radio show, the Black Friday emergency radio show. And the Palms happened, Palms poker room happened to be listening. So they knew when we, do you remember this? Drop? Yes, yes, there. I remember when that. We, yes, yes. When we called the Palms, with our prank call, they knew. They're like, hi, Micon, hi, Droff, hi, Brandon. Yeah. They already knew. Yeah, they're they listening to our show. Because <laughs> I was the one that was ingenious enough right after we knew all these sites had been confiscated. To, to, I'm like, Micon, get Droff. Let's go on radio. This was like at noon on like, you know, obviously a Friday. It was like noon. We were on the air. Do you remember that? We were the first ones. So everyone was tuning in. It was the highest ratings we ever had. And then you know what happened? Do you remember what happened after yes. that? We, we had the Monopoly. Then the goddamn snake, the snake in the, in the grass. grass took it. I know. Yeah, yeah. Pulls up his the quad jack motherfuckers. Now I'm working with one of them. So okay. Anyhow, <laughs> I digress. So we that started a very fruitful relationship with the Palms. So the Palms was more than grateful to host Mycon's All In or Full Tournament for his cousin Dave's birthday. So we announced it on uh, I don't know. Would that have been Donkdown or NWP Radio back? Which one was it? Uh, that that would have been on, that was that was on Donkdown. Okay, I just get confused. So, so we announced it, we marketed it. You know, everyone, anyone can come. So we show up the day of the Palms, cousin Dave's, Mike Con's all in a full tournament, and uh, Rachel's boyfriend showed up, and that was the first time I had ever met him. Apparently, he had never called in. Apparently, he had been a listener for years, and that's how we all met. And that was like his in person, whatever you want to call it, introduction. And he sat there, he played the tournament. I think he played the tournament, but I know he hung around all night. And afterwards, we had cash games, and we were drinking, and he was drinking with us, and that's uh, that's how it all started. Now there is a small Rachel Rachel's boyfriend Goldfarb connection, but I'm not going to get into that this week, folks. We'll, we'll <laughs> put it on a cliffhanger, and maybe we'll talk about that some other time. But anyhow, that's that's how all this came to be. That was, I guess, was that 2000? That was 2010, then, right? The eleven the, all in is eleven. Okay, 2011. So it was nine years ago. Yeah, and that's how we met her boyfriend. And By the way, she Rachel hung, she hung up for some reason. <laughs> like no, oh well, I don't think. Did I say something? I no, no, it was fine. No, I thought it was okay, fine. I don't think I did. So anyhow, that's how we met. So people, you know, want to know the history of other characters, and I'm not going to say it now. Maybe I, you know, just for privacy reasons. But he doesn't post. He's not a poster, but he plays in the free roll. He does post like very randomly, but he listens to radio all the time. Yes, and he listens. To ironically every enough, show. I saw him at nine o'clock this morning. Yeah, so. yeah, he listens to every yeah. show, and and Rachel yeah. listens to every show, and uh, and he actually has referred others to listen to the show. There's others who listen regularly now that learned of the show from him. Yeah, yeah, I actually met some of them. I just, you know, I don't know if it's interesting. People could text Druff, you know, and tell Druff, and then Druff can tell me if you all like like hearing these. When I come on lately, I've been doing this because uh, it's just so long, and and things get lost. If you like hearing like the little tidbits and the little stories about the history of what PFA is now, like you know, because all this stuff is what eventually led to PFA, let them know. If you guys don't think it's relevant, you hate it, you know, I, I don't want to tell all these stories because I think it, I like it. I like reminiscing. I think it's really interesting because I guarantee you there are people tonight that are going to be like, oh shit, Thur was originally a part of this community. Oh shit, like I didn't know Brandon Adams was, you know, Wind Potts was a part of this, you know, community. Like people don't know those stories. Yes. Like, they just don't, yeah. you know. I don't even know. Like on PFA, how many people are on there that have been around for 15 years now? 14 years. Like it can't be maybe 10 or less. Yeah, there's not that many, many people. Even the people who are from Neverwin Poker kind of – most of them kind of came around a little bit later, not right at the beginning. Because it is interesting. Like when you really think about 
the characters, the stories, the things that happened you know, to where we are now, it kind of really, it, it really is an against all odds story that this even remnants of this community is still here. Like, think about it. I mean, it really is. You're talking 15, 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you know? what, I, and that's what I've been preserving here. I've put a lot of effort and time into making sure it keeps running. And uh, that's, that's part of the reason that the show, the site's even up. So some of the other part of the reason for the site is, is in its name, poker fraud alert. And here that's Rachel's calling back in, but like, I, I like to, I like to call out the frauds in poker and, and, uh, and in gambling and, and, and then there's the show, but, but, but some of it's also to preserve the old and everyone poker community. Uh, okay. So Rachel's back. What's going on? We lost you. Sorry. Um, my phone froze, and uh, I don't know what the fuck happened. But uh, there was Rachel, how much calling. how much have you drank tonight? Yeah, here? I think probably a lot. <laughs> Not much. I've been drinking uh, Patron, but I think Gary filled it with water. So God. I'm oh, I'm not. Well, Rachel, where where are you physically? Now? Are you in uh, are you in Harris? Are you in the Venetian? Where are you right now? Right now, we are in the hotel at Venetian, but okay. we have a room at Harrah's, and my friends were like, why'd you get me a room here when I could have just stayed with you? They made a good point. I would have rather just had the room myself. They shouldn't be complaining. Well, they're complaining. They're I don't know. It's funny. You could literally be a 100 or $200 a day strip gambler now, and you're likely able to find a comp room on the strip. That's how bad things are right now. Like, you have to literally be the biggest flea. And I'm not talking about Rachel or her boyfriend or whoever they're with. I don't know anything about them. But just in general, I'm, I'm hearing more and more people that I know that are getting offers and able to stay in hotels they never could before because they're that freaking desperate to, to get people in there. Like, you can, you can just tell. Like, when you go into a casino, like, you kind of – like, you know, you go into the Blanche on a Friday, Saturday night. You're used to, like, a certain clientele, the way they're dressed, the way they – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just – I don't know. Like, it's a vibe. Like, and you know, you know the vibe at the Aria, you know the vibe at the Cosmo, you kind of just know, and you know the vibe at a place like Circus Circus, and you can just see when you're out and about, like, there's just different, a different crowd. Like, it's not saying it's a bad thing, but it's just, it's, it's just easier now, you know, because they had, they had to definitely lower their standards in terms of comps. Yeah. Of, it, like, of play. Well, you know, you know that actually happened, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that, not from a casino standpoint, but in Vegas after the, uh, the housing crash, where it hit Vegas super hard. Starting around '09, the apartment complex I was living in at the time, which I, I know you lived in at one point, Brandon, uh, and even Mike lived there at one point. People that were at the complex, I, I started noticing there was a change, and I'm not talking about anything racial, by the way, in case anyone uh, wants to try to give me a hard time. I'm talking about just uh, I, I would look at the quality of, of people that were in the complex, and it had definitely changed. You, you started to well, have a, a, a I had difference. Moved out of there in, I had moved out of there in 2004, but it's funny. When I moved in right after 9-11, it was considered like a high-end, upscale kind of like apartment complex. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, it was like that in, until the crash. Yes. Yep. Yep. And what happened was because it got so much cheaper to rent there because of the crash, and also they lowered their credit requirements – that a lot of people started coming in 
who, uh, to put it bluntly, were, were kind of scummy. And uh, and again, I'm, I'm not talking about a racial thing. I, I've all I wanted of, of my neighbors was that they were uh, respectful, didn't cause trouble, and and didn't yeah. look like they were they were criminals. And I didn't care what race they were, and that's that's the honest truth. But but I I saw people really of all races that were didn't look like they were very good quality people. Well, and then, and indeed, we started being a lot more fights in the parking lot and and a lot of other yeah. crap going on that wasn't going on before. It's funny you say that because I just read yesterday. This is very scary. The feds reported that for the second quarter of this year, our economy contracted at a higher rate than ever on record before. Ever, ever, ever. That's believable. So, I'd be surprised if that weren't true. <laughs> no, I know. But I'm just saying, like, you know what? We talked about the hyperinflation. And, I, buddy, these are some scary like, – the thing is, I don't think people realize like once this is over and there's a vaccine or there's herd immunity, this isn't going to be the end of it. Like this is going to like it's going to be insane. The repercussions that we're going to feel for years. Yeah, and it's going to get really, really sure. bad. And you know what? I guess the best advice I can tell people out there is seriously save your money. Like really, like save your money as best you can. Unless there's hyperinflation, get... if there's hyperinflation, that's bad advice. But other than that, I agree. Well. You know, I mean, I'm not, what are you going to tell people? Like, spend their money? Like, you have to kind of <laughs> save it and pray. Like, you know, that, I, I, you know what, I just, well, I mean, what do you think? I mean, when they say that on a wreck, I mean, this is like, I read it was like eight times worse than the Great Depression. Like, how do you, what do you do when you hear that statistic? Well. That this was eight times worse than the worst thing that's ever happened. Th- this, this is harder to judge from that standpoint because this is from something artificial that's occurring, uh, uh, it's not just an economic thing. It's something that's uh, from a separate cause. And uh, once that cause goes away, it's possible that it could snap back very easily, whereas it, during normal economic depressions, it's not that easy because there's, there's not a major thing that changes that would cause it to snap back. So that, that we've never had this before, so it's, it's very tough to see where this is going to go. But I do agree that there will be repercussions from this for a very long time. Uh, it's not just going to be over the second that uh, the coronavirus is over. You, you still with us here, Rachel? I'm here. I'm just a little lost about everything that was just said. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Okay. Uh, Sorry. So, so uh, let me ask you. Something? I'll ask you about what you've observed. Is it crowded at all in Vegas where you've been, in the Venetian and Harris? What, what's it been like there? It's been very busy. Every oh. every slot table's taken. Well, but there's only three people to a table, so that's right. Three. Well, and, and, three and, it's, and it's no, it's still busy. It's very busy. Like I wanted to go to the bar that's outside um, Casino Royale, but it's the only bar that's open. What is it called? Numb. That Tuesday. That line. Since I got up and gambled, I've been over at Harrow's many times today. The line is so big. I mean, you'd have to wait at least an hour. But it's, but, it's, it's very in my opinion. But isn't that because it's that's the only bar that's open in the whole place? Yeah, that's what I was guessing. Yeah. It's the only bar that's open. Well, that's, well, that's why, why it's so, Yeah, that's why it's so crowded. Yeah. yeah. But it's also Rachel, Friday. It's also Friday night, so I I probably Rachel, on a weekend. Being on this trip, have you noticed like a different kind of clientele or a different vibe? Is it more mellow? Are there different kind of people that are there gambling and partying or is it almost just like a normal Friday night in your experience of, of what Vegas has always been? Um, I've noticed it's a little different. Like, I feel like I'm in New Orleans right now. Wait, I said it wrong, didn't I? New, tell me. New Orleans. New Orleans. No, New Orleans okay. is fine. Oh, okay. You can say it. You can because say it's a lot of, lot of Cajun, like a lot of Cajun stuff going on. 
it's uh yeah. I mean it's huh? uh <laughs> I thought I was in Louisiana today. That's all I could say. Jeez. Yeah. From um, Tuesdays from Haitian to Harrow's. <laughs> right. Now also let me ask you this, Rachel. Uh one of the industries that supposedly or allegedly have been the hardest is the uh prostitution hooker, you know, escort economy in Vegas. Are you seeing on the ground a lot of hookers walking around these strip casinos or is has that been impacted because of, they got to wear masks and you guys can't see what they look like are they still hookers everywhere well we don't like to call them hookers we like to call them workers quote quote okay I'm and sorry. yes we sorry. Her get arrested today didn't we yep. and Wait. yeah she's pretty good looking um <laughs> well, i missed what you said metro. you saw a worker get Tiny arrested little... today is that what you said yeah where wow we're walking uh, right outside Harrow's. Druff, is that true? You can't call them hookers anymore? And I'm being sincere. I didn't know that that I don't know. Was... There, I know I know. there's some people that have been saying, oh, we can't uh, look down on sex work, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, you can call them hookers as far as I'm concerned. You can okay. call them hookers, prostitutes, whatever. So, but, we just call them so Rachel, are they still like all over the strip, like on the Friday and Saturday nights? Or even they, or are they toned down right now, too? Oh, they are all over. Every time you blink your eyes, you're like, they're there. They have not disappeared. Yeah, they're there. They're there. Now, are hookers social distancing? Like when they're walking, like say two hookers or, you know, walking down the strip, like, you know, two friends. Are they maintaining a a safe distance or are they still kind of arm in arm with their phones out in their left hand as they're walking? The hookers don't even have a mask on, so I don't think they're social distancing. I didn't know that, that. girl Jeez. that got arrested, she had mask on. Nobody, no, they didn't have masks. No. Wow. Mm-mm. Well, you know what, Rachel? Thank you for this. This. <laughs> what? Okay, sorry. I, I should send her down. Uh, I should send her down Tropicana and see if the actual street walkers that are on Tropicana are still there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the trucks. I haven't made it down there. No, I don't mean the trop. I'm talking. I'm talking about. I'm talking about Tropicana. Uh, Avenue. There's actually uh, a little bit uh, west of the Strip. There are actually street walkers yeah. that hang out on Tropicana Avenue. Oh yeah, I, I, I've known a couple, so yeah, I understand that's where they mm. hang out. But um, <laughs> we call them, yeah, yeah. That we call that the trap, like Tropicana. If you want to get a prostitute hooker slash worker, you go to Tropicana where that in nut burger is. I didn't know that. So, yeah, you didn't know about Tropicana? Mm-hmm. See, I, I discovered this. Well, I mean, uh, I know that. I, I know it's an unsavory road, but I didn't know that it was known for street walking. See, I, I didn't either until last year. And uh, I was I went over there for Raisin Cane's, and I, and I got uh, my chicken strips, and I, I pulled out of there, and, and I turned left to go back to the Rio, and, and I saw women on the side, and they go, these really look like street walkers. And I looked more carefully. Yes, that's what they were. They were actual street walkers. I go, wow, I haven't seen actual street walkers in a while. And then I found out, so then I tweeted about it and people mocked me for not knowing that, uh, the Tropicana has had uh, street walkers for a long time. I stay away from Tropicana like it's the plague. Unless I absolutely like have to go to the Orleans or I'd say New York, New York, the casino, I don't go down Tropicana. It's always congested. It's always backed up. It's, you know, and the, and the thing you're saying about the, the, the street walkers, I wonder if it's because I would probably guess it is. Because there are a number of low income, like or low rent budget, like weekly motels. Yes, on that there's road. a lot of weekly so that's motels. That's probably there. why, because they stay there and they just don't leave. Is that correct? Probably. 
I would guess that too. Yeah, that's what I thought when I saw him. Hmm. Well, interesting. Uh, well, Rachel, tell us, is there anything else interesting you observed? Uh, are people tipping dealers as much as they were before, do you, do you think? Like, tell us about that. Tell us about your, the dealer interaction. Are dealers, even though they're wearing masks, are they still being friendly? Are they still interacting with the guests? Or do they seem happy to be working? T- tell us what you've witnessed with dealers on the strip since you've been here. Do we lose her? Joe, she's still here. No, I'm still here. I'm still here. Yeah. Did you, did you um, hear the question? Raising, yeah. When you said raising canes, you made me really hungry. Uh-oh. I think raising canes is oh, better. Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Um, dang. Uh, sorry. Can you tell me? No, I was asking you, Rachel, I was asking since you've been here, how is, how has the interaction been with dealers, casino dealers on the strip? Are they just as friendly as before? Are they more standoffish? Do they seem happy to be there? Do they seem not happy? What, what's your opinion on dealers behavior, their attitude, so on and so forth that you've witnessed? Um, I think they've been big assholes. I mean, <laughs> well, give can you give some examples? Like, what have what have what have you witnessed dealers do that you'd, that you'd say that? Okay, our son Pi go today. Okay, no, no, no. Sorry. First, I played blackjack before I left at eleven a.m. at Venetian, and she was so cranky. It was my first time playing free bet blackjack. Didn't even know what the game was, and she was so edgy, like very cranky, you know. And then I lost very fast. Gary's never seen a session like I played. Then I went over to Harrah's at, like, I would say 8 p.m. later on in the day. And they were just, um, they are just really cranky. They seem really cranky, like, they're constantly yelling at you if if your mouth even goes below your nose. They're like, pull it up now. And I'm like, I can't fucking breathe. And on top of that, you... If you have drinks, you're constantly drinking, so you pull on your mask. So it's really hard. It, uh, so it is think, really hard to drink. Do you think? People. Do you think mainly <laughs> that? Do you think mainly they're cranky because they're dealing with a deadly disease all around them, or for other reasons? Um, honestly, I don't know why they're cranky. I mean, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's a I combination. Mean, it could be a combination. It could be a combination that they're dealing with the risk of uh, getting the coronavirus and they're making less in tips because there's uh, there's fewer gamblers there and maybe they're not playing as high a limit. Who knows? Yeah. All right. I've tipped more that since the coronavirus came, I've tipped more than I normally would. What? Like, I ordered two drinks. I tipped the lady 10 bucks for wow. the drinks. Constantly tipping because I feel bad for them, you know. Like you're so cranky. I'll I'll yeah. do like a I'll do a bet for them, no. and then I'll do the force. Oh, really? I see. I, I do the opposite. I if if I get any employee who's cranky, then it makes me tip them less or not at all. Yeah. Now, Rachel, yeah. can I ask you one more question? Uh, I don't know if you saw the news tonight. So obviously, you know about this COVID nineteen. They were reporting. It's not confirmed yet, but they're reporting on the news tonight that there are reports now of a COVID twenty starting to appear what are your thoughts on this the, the alleged covid 20 that's now with the covid 19 my thoughts too much yeah. for my brain i'm gonna All continue right. drinking 
quote, right. quote, that, water. That's a fair water. answer. That is, that is a, a very, very, very fair answer. Are you going to kill my bug or what? No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm not really thinking anything. I like to live my day by day. And, you know, I, know. I could be doing it wrong. And I might uh-huh. regret it later on. But, you know. I don't know. Well, you're you're, 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 you're 29. You're not, that, you're not that much risk, so I wouldn't no. sweat too much. You're, you're doing a good job. You're, you're a good girl. Good girl. Hopefully. My middle yep. name is Good Girl, by the way. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, Rachel, good. Rachel, we're gonna we're gonna let you go back to your your drinking and everything else you're doing there, and uh, so have a good time in Vegas. And uh, and thank you for listening. Thank to the you show. for being on the show, Rachel. And thank you for coming we, on we, here. And... Absolutely. I'm going to okay. sleep soon too. Yeah, so soon stay to, safe, soon to all of you guys. Me. Stay safe up there. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, it was nice talking. Aww. Yes. Nice right, talking to you, Rachel. BB Buzz Buzz. Bye. Right, bye. Aw, that was cute. <laughs> is Trader Ruski still with us, or is he gone? I see hey, him. Buddy. I see him, but I don't know. Got that COVID twenty. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I, I tell you, if I would have asked the if I would have asked the Iceman, he would have had a very strong worded opinion on that COVID twenty. Yeah. <laughs> he would have said he heard all about it. It's so it's so dangerous. You better watch out, boys and girls. It's it's one time stronger than the COVID nineteen. Listen up, boys and girls. <laughs> Listen to the Iceman. That COVID twenty something to be uh, taken seriously. I tell you something, young people. You think that COVID nineteen's bad? That COVID twenty's one time worse. <laughs> oh jeez! I, I don't believe um, she was only drinking water tonight. Yeah, you know what? If I had to deal like with all this going on and the stress on the ground, I would be cranky as fuck too. So I don't blame. I'm sorry. Like you can't blame the dealers. Like these are people that literally, you know, they don't want to be there, and they have mortgages, they have families, they have kids, they have car payments, they have credit card payments, and they they have no other. You know, that's the one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point. I, I would that's, I would probably be very frustrated really, being there too. <laughs> one of the worst. I mean, one of the best parts of about dealing is the job security. Like, if you want to move to, you know, almost any state now, you could find a, a you know a blackjack roulette, craps, you know, carnival game job. It's a great, great, you know. But the, one of the bad parts of it is if you want to get out of dealing and you've been doing it for a while, it's kind of hard to make the same kind of money you're making. So I know. A lot of these guys and girls are trapped and they don't want to be there and they have no choice because they want their kids to have food. They want their kids to, you know, you know be all right. They want their kids to have electricity and cable and, and, you know, their phones paid and they have no other choice. So just think about that, guys, when you're out there. Like a lot of these people don't have a choice. Like they really don't want to be there, but they, you know, they don't want to risk their health. But, you know, they're too proud to, you know, let down their family. So just think about that. Yeah. Right. I, I can understand. Yeah, I, I can think about how that's – some of them may realize that it's one of the more dangerous places to be because they have determined that the real danger comes from being indoors with uh, a lot of yeah. people where there's air conditioning. So you've Well, got I'm that. just saying, like, look at your situation, Druff. Look at, look at Trader Ruski's. Look at mine. Like, we're all very fortunate. Like, we really, really are. Like, most people – we have to realize most people aren't, aren't in the position that we are – that we could literally isolate as long as we want, if we had to, you know, or wanted to, or needed to, and you know, we don't have many worries. I mean, we have worries like everyone else, but you know, we don't, 
we're not forced to be in a place where it's well, dangerous. Well, other than not. the fact that I, I have with, with the kids here, it's a little different. But yeah, it's it's as far as us, yes. Well, I'm just saying we could take more precautions than most. I mean, we really yes, can. yes, we can. So, I've just we're uh, very very lucky, and I for one, I, I say that every day. Like I'm very, I tell myself how lucky I am. Like, what would I have to do if I had to be somewhere with, you know, tons of people around me every day? Like, I'll tell you, I go out and out of the store. You know, that's one thing we've talked about, that we're different. You know, I know you order all that stuff in. And, you know, I'm still going out and I'm shopping, you know, for my dad, shopping for myself. Because, I, you know, I won't let my dad go out because he's, you know, he's up there. He's, you know, senior citizen. Um, he's a higher risk group, obviously. And just going out to, like, Smith's, which is our, you know, our Kroger, you know, our local grocery store here. It's stressful. Like, just going shopping, like, for 30, 45 minutes, like, I'm navigating people, I'm watching, like, who's next to me, who's coming close, like, it, you know, it, it's it's stressful. Like, for me, at least, it is, even being gone for an hour. Like, I find it, well, when you're going out now, whether it's to a doctor's, or you said on small occasions, you have no choice. When you have to interact with people, okay, you're not talking about going to a pharmacy, like, through a drive through window, but when you have to physically get out of your car and go somewhere where it's semi-crowded, do you find it stressful? I found it very stressful, which is why I started doing the delivery. I, the last store I went into was Target, and I was so stressed walking through that Target. And I just after I got out of there, I was so stressed. I said, "I'm not doing it again. I'm going to figure out how to get this all delivered." And I just can't go into these stores anymore. What about you, Trader Ruski? When you have to be out in public with people around you, do you find it stressful, or are you okay? Can you just calmly do what you need to do and then go home? I mean, no, I don't find it stressful, but I'm just trying to be aware and get done what I got to do and get the fuck out, you know? So, like, you could go to, like, a, you know, Trader Joe's, Walt, you know, Whole Foods, Walmart, whatever it may be, and you walk in and out and you're not just kind of, not in a panic mode, but just, I don't know, like, like you don't kind of maybe feel a little bit of tension in the air just amongst everybody in there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel a little bit of that, but I mean, just as far as me, it's more... I mean, I just feel intentional. Let me get in and out of there and, and just be safe, you know? Yeah. All right. I don't know. Really try to think about it too much, but I try to limit what I need to do, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I just tell you what, you know, I, I heard today, I think it was the Orleans I was told. Yeah, it was the Orleans. Today they started having eight-handed, Oh, was it cash games or tournaments? It was one or the other because they had plexiglass installed. I think it was eight-handed tournaments. And I'm just thinking even now with the plexiglass, I just couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't sit there, and I, I just wonder how people can do it. Like, you know, not be nervous and just anxious and calmly sit there and, and with all that and still concentrate on playing. Yeah. I'm pretty I, sure a friend of mine told me that today they went and that it was in eight-handed. They finally went to eight-handed because they had plexiglass installed. Pretty sure. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Know. I wouldn't enjoy that, and uh, I, I, I really try to have almost no time indoors. Uh, the two times I've had to go indoors in recent months has been uh, to take the dog to the vet, but other than that, I have not uh, gone indoors. And I've uh, really just when I've left the house, it's either to go hiking or to pick something up in a way like a drive up or whatever, where I don't have to go in anywhere or really interact with anybody. And um, let me ask you, looking at these subjects, I, I really, as much as I'm enjoying this, I am going to have to go. Soon. Yes. I was going to tell you it's at, almost one thirty. I know. Thank you, buddy. Looking at these subjects, have you talked about the money waiting for you on WSOP yes. and, or yes. okay, you did that. Yes. That's really interesting. Cause my friend Jeannie and then her friend and a couple other friends found two, 300 plus dollars that they've accumulated 
for a couple of years that they had no idea was there. Yeah. On there. And Jeannie actually posted about it on Facebook. Um, did you talk about the PFA listener attempts to play senior event? Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, actually, uh, that I, I will reveal a little bit more. That PFA listener actually is Rachel's boyfriend. And, uh, this happened to him. And, uh, so here, here's the story of what happened to this, this listener. He is from the LA area. And what happened was he went there on this trip among other things, because they were having the seniors event, and he's over over 50, so he qualifies. Personal information. $500 seniors event. And he attempted to deposit to WSOP.com. So, and he, there's no money issue. He can, he can afford it. It's uh, nothing like that. But uh, he went to go deposit, and they said that he could not do so because he had a $200 loss limit on his account. And then he said, okay, well, no problem. I've got uh, a few hours here. Why don't I just uh, call support and I'll have them remove it? So he did. And they said, okay, yeah, we can remove it, but it's going to take 24 hours. Yeah. So that doesn't help him if he wants to play the event that same day. Uh, He was unable to play. So he just didn't play. So uh, I got a little more information because some people asked him, well, what about going to the cage? And... Why was there this $200 loss limit? Why, why haven't we heard about this on other people's accounts? Why are you the first one we're hearing this from? It turned out that, uh, and I, I asked him about this directly. He said that the loss limit he actually put on himself because uh, when he was living in Vegas at one point, he uh, he just wanted to play recreationally and just, uh, he said, okay, I'll just. I'll he's just, a nit. He's a nit. He's, yeah. They'll admit he's a nit. I mean, he has money. It's not about yeah. that, but he's just a nit. So that's what he, he was, he was like trying the, to be a nit. He doesn't he, like the. Li- he doesn't like to lose his hard-earned money. Yeah, that's basically so. So, 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 in order to prevent that, he had them put on this limit for him, and so this doesn't apply to anyone who hasn't done this. But it is funny that they absolutely could not remove this. Well, but it's the same thing. Poker stars had this for years. Like, if you banned yourself for thirty days on stars, or you remember how stars used to let you ban yourself, or they'd call it self-exclude. No matter how much you begged them or pleaded. Once you did that, you could not get that account back. Uh, do you remember that? No, I know that, but this wasn't a self-exclusion. This was a lower limit. It, but it's a, it's the same thing. Like if you do that, it, it it's it's in the it's in the law. And this, you know, I talked to him about this. This is one of those kind of issues where, you know, the people that regulate it, like the gaming board, they're not poker players, so they might not get that it's not the same thing, or, or you know, it's like somebody that has like a you know a blackjack problem. But anyhow, it's written into the law. That there's a 24-hour mandatory oh, I waiting. I didn't, I didn't know that's this in isn't, the law. Okay. Yeah, this isn't, and I explained it. This isn't something that Caesars mandates. Caesars has to has to honor that. If Caesars doesn't, then they could be fined. Then they'll be ridiculed for breaking the law. They could. I mean, they're not, but they could lose their license. So those aren't things. Just like I learned about the IP, uh, you know, the, the multiple IPs, you know, resolving from a hotel. Those are things that are out of their control. They're not allowed to. Like it's crazy as it sounds. Well, that one was more. That one I blame them more for because that one they were able to get some exceptions made, and they just didn't try early enough. To, well, right, to... right. But I'm saying for other people that were just like, "Oh my God, I'm at the Venetian, I can't log in." There's nothing they can do about that. The way the law is written, okay, because it's not even a Caesar's property. Only one person in the entire Venetian can play. Yes. Like that's that's really. I mean, I'm being serious. That's that's you know, you go to the you go to the MGM Grand, you know. 4,000, 6,000 rooms, 
one lucky guy could be logged in on, on a, any particular table, cash game table, or one tournament. And that you just shows you how, how how stupid the people who wrote these laws were. They really didn't understand online poker. Well, that's my point. You're just not. But yet, anybody that knows how to hook up your computer to a hotspot can circumvent everything we just discussed. Yes. So it doesn't, and they don't. It doesn't make sense. It, it makes no sense. But and it's, so I, I didn't know this twenty four hour thing. I thought it was a limitation to their software that. Uh, no, nope, it's a law. Nope. Okay. Well, then that's not. I, I don't blame them for this. Obviously, if that's the law, it's the law. Uh, Listen, so he, I made it clear earlier. I don't want to be pissing off any of our Daniels. Let's so <laughs> not. Let's not put blame I, unless it. it I, I always be. have said if 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 the WSOP gets if they deserve a defense, I will give it to them. So okay, they. Since this was not their choice, then they did all they could. So I guess this was uh, this was her boyfriend's fault. This is Rachel's boyfriend's fault there for uh, putting on that limit in the first place and not taking it off before he came to uh, Vegas. So, well, you know, it makes sense if you're a recreational player and you know you're going to deposit two hundred bucks and you're going to have fun with it. And you're probably going to lose it, you know, and you maybe have a tendency to want to play more. You know, probably makes sense to lower your losses at max to six thousand a month. I mean, I'm just saying, wouldn't it, kind of? Well, no, I'm not blaming him for putting that limit on. I'm just saying he should have thought of it before going there that uh, to take it yeah. off. But maybe he forgot it was there because he didn't live there anymore. Well, you know what? But it wouldn't have mattered anyhow because even if he could, there was already one person staying there playing the scene. That's right. That's right. Him. He couldn't even get in there. <laughs> All right. Can you, wouldn't that be ironic if he if he was able to circumvent that one obstacle and get the, get the $200 limit removed all just to find out there's already a guy at the venetian yeah. playing camp <laughs> get in unbelievable you could talk about uh the three station casinos that are opening your poker room this weekend or today oh really um boulder i look i know boulder station is one of them and let me find the other two but that opened they opened today let me see what which ones they were go on to what you were going to say and i'll look for the, the it's funny the, that they're exactly. they're opening up more poker rooms with all this when they're uh, starting to struggle and with uh, the coronavirus getting worse. I'm surprised that there's more opening, not fewer opening or more or some closing. It sounds more, I would expect more to close, then, not, not to open. A lot of people, a lot of employees are really pissed by the way at Caesars. Um, did you hear what happened at, with the executives at Caesars? This was done on Wednesday. No, I didn't hear on Wednesday. Members of the company's board of directors approved pay raises for each other according <laughs> to documents that were filed with the securities and exchange commission as thousands of furloughed or laid off caesar's workers worry about making ends meet five specific company executives received pay raises can you believe that that CEO, doesn't make any sense yep ceo tom Riggs approved base salary jumped to two million dollars after the company closed doesn't say what it was before Oh no, it does say he was making 1.6 million, and he approved a, a pay raise was, was approved for Tom. Am I seeing it right? Is it Reeg? I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if it's Reeg or Reeg. Yeah. Okay. Reeg. Well, one way or the other, his salary this past Wednesday was approved immediately from 1.6 million to 2 million. Um, Chairman Gary Garano's base salary went from 1.1 million to 1.4 million. President and COO Anthony Carano's base salary went from one million to one point three, and CFO Brett Yunkers went from seven hundred fifty thousand to one million, and finally Chief Legal Officer Ed Quatman's salary went from six hundred thousand to seven hundred fifty thousand. Um, and uh, Brendan Busman, who's a director of government affairs for Globe Market, 
market advisor said, uh, a lot of this was agreed to probably before the pandemic hit, but this really does look bad. That's what I was going to say. I was since this these are people who all or mostly came from the El Dorado side. They were a smaller company, of course, and then uh, once they've merged with Caesars, they're a bigger operation, so they probably said, okay, once we become this huge company, we start eliminating positions because there won't be two CEOs and two of a lot of these. Uh, overall, it's going to save money, so we should have some room to raise executive pay, and, and in fact, it would be justified to raise executive pay because you're doing you're, you're overseeing a larger company now. So that all makes sense, except... It's during a pandemic. Well, why even announce this? Postpone the vote. Then. That's what they should do. Like, they should just postpone it I mean, because it looks so bad. How, like, how can you not? How do they not know that? Like, that's what I, I don't get. How can they even think knowing that voting on this now, making it official, making it public, is not going to make them look like a bunch of greedy and sensitive people that don't even understand the common plight of the common man? Not, like, not only that, it, that, it not only looks bad, but it's probably not even smart for the company because they're going to be struggling a lot. They're going to be losing a lot of money, the company. So it even would make sense that they wouldn't be giving people raises while the company is, is losing its ass due to unprecedented circumstances. Like, I don't think anyone in the casino industry could be making the case right now they deserve a raise based upon how their company's doing. Not that it's their fault, but just that yeah. uh, with the industry the way it is, they can't afford to hand out raises. I don't think anyone would say, no, yes, you can. Of course you can afford to hand out raises. We don't care if you're losing this much every month. It's like uh, they have the perfect excuse right now not to give raises to anybody. So they, I believe this is probably agreed to beforehand, but they should say, let's just not do it. And, yeah, it looks bad. It looks bad for sure. Okay, so the three poker rooms uh, that are slated to be opened on Monday, it's actually Monday, for eight-handed play are Boulder Station, Red Rock, and Santa Fe. And the rooms will have the reopening, it says, 9 a.m. on Monday, and they will be open 24 hours a day. There will be 10 tables to play at Boulder, 20 tables at Red Rock, and 14 at Santa Fe. And then okay. the article goes on to say that they will have several of the normal promotions. Um, as of right now, the, the, two poker, the two station casinos that have poker rooms, that you want to stay away from because they don't have poker room open, uh, both Green Valley Ranch, which is in Henderson, and Palace Station right off the 15 in Sahara. Uh, their poker rooms are still closed, and as of now, there's not a reopening date that's been announced. Yeah, I I have a feeling this is happening because of the plexiglass. They probably probably the state or the county, whatever is making the decision, is now allowing poker up to eight-handed if there's plexiglass where before you just could not have poker eight-handed. They probably made that decision fairly recently, and that's probably what is incentivizing them to open because they probably didn't want to open before with not enough people at the table. It just wasn't profitable. So now... Yep. Well, even with all that said, Todd, two people actually this weekend uh, have already had a, probably a, a trip of a lifetime. Just after midnight yesterday, a California resident hit the mega progressive jackpot. Listen to this shit. Just after Friday, or just after midnight yesterday, a California met resident hit the mega progressive jackpot on PiGao at Caesars Palace for $1,982,517. Lucky guess that he's going to buy a house with his winnings. He's going to buy a house with his winnings. Yeah, well, yeah. but, but the winning wasn't done. Right across the street, Druff. A Georgia visitor, an hour later, won $480,850 at the Flamingo, another Caesars property, after he hit the mega progressive royal flush 
on Texas Hold'em bonus poker. <laughs> you know, Druff, do you know what he said he would use his winnings for? What? I'm not making this up, by the way. I'm really reading the article. To celebrate his quote-unquote almost birthday. What does that mean? <laughs> won 480000 And then, Druff, you just, do case, celebrate, you're yeah. wondering, just in case you're wondering, Druff, or anyone else's, both winners declined to be identified. I guess that second guy didn't want people celebrating with him. So listen, I'm going to say goodnight. I'm going to thank you again for your hospitality, for having me on. I'm going to thank Trader Ruski, and I will hopefully are, – are you sticking most likely? You're going to try to stick to the, the Friday night show? Is this yeah, yeah, for your... now. That's what it looks like. I think next okay. week – actually, no. Next week, I can tell you it will not be on Friday night. Next week, actually, maybe on Thursday. You know, that's actually better for me then because it kind of spaces out the you know other show. On oh, the, the two shows, show and yeah. Then the, the, yeah. So I will try to be here next Thursday. And, Druff, I'm going to say goodnight. Thank you again for extending me all the hospitalities in the world. And if baseball is canceled, I'm going to assume that our Dodgers and Marlins game – how do we do that? Or, or if the Marlins get canceled. Well, that's right. I, I was, that's my next question. I was going to bring this up if because there is a small chance that the season goes on, the Dodgers play a full 60 games, and the Marlins don't even get to 60 because it might not even be meaningful enough to have them play those games, or it's done by winning percentage, which is something I read, that they might do that in terms of playoff spots, meaning if you know the Marlins play 50 games, they won't go by record, they'll go by win percentage to see if they are one of the 16 teams. So how would we would be a fair way for us to settle our, our big wager? Uh, I, we I, have I, to go to arbitration I, no, with Barry I, Greenstein? I, I, no, not Barry Greenstein. We have an arbitrator who... Uh... Oh, Eric Benzamokin. Yes, he's associated what was with the I show. thinking? Yeah. No, what we could do is we could just, uh, if, if either team doesn't play 60 games, uh, if it ends very early, like if the Marlins just don't play again, then we just cancel it. If, if, if they do get to the end but the Marlins just haven't played uh, 60 games, then just uh, translate the record to what it would be at 60. Pretend they played 60 and just uh, translate what it would have been at 60. So if they... Like at the, you mean like the pace they would be at? If yeah, it was that's 60 a, games? right. If the pace they would have been at, so if, let's say they played forty-five and finished fifteen and thirty, then you would change it to twenty and forty. Yeah, I got it. Okay, all right. We could. Do, we don't need no Benzamokin to decide that. I don't think. No, I wait, think we wait. can handle ourselves. Okay, all right. Have a great rest of the show. Thank you again for having me on, and uh, I'll be back hopefully next Thursday, or I will be back next Thursday for at least some part of the show. Okay, okay? very good. Thank you for coming on. Right, good night, good night, Trader Ruski. Still there, buddy? Oh my God, he's still here. Oh wow, he's still here. Trader Ruski's going to outlast me. Is wow. this like a personal thing? Well, I don't think you've ever outlasted. The only me. reason I stayed. Fuck. All right, I still <laughs> got to go. Probably out on Thursday. All right. Hey, you guys have a great rest of the show. Have a good night. Good night. All right. Good night, Brandon. Trader Ruski, you're saying you couldn't make Thursday? You think? Yeah, it's going to be hard because I think I've got a real early meeting Friday oh, okay. morning. But maybe I can be on for the first hour or so. Okay. I see Brandon back now on video. Uh-huh. Is that on purpose? He's blowing smoke in my face. Okay. I, okay. I was going to try to see if Trader Ruski hung up and then I could just peek back in and win, but you had to blow it for me? I didn't know what was going I mean, on. on. I see you blowing, I think you're blowing smoke <laughs> in the screen. I don't know what's going on here. I feel like I just, It's my worst nightmare for me to hang up now and then he just hangs up a minute later. I don't want to do that. That's not right. So Trader Ruski, why don't you... Are you going to stay on till seven? In the morning? No, no, no. I'm going to go, Brandon. I'm going to go, Brandon. Uh, I'll hang up first. <laughs> okay, hang up first, then, please. All right, so keep I, him on an extra hour, Jeff. I, I will. No, <laughs> I got to wait for the little trader Ruski icon to disappear. Okay, All right, he's gone. Yeah. All right.
I'm gonna, but I, listen, I'm gonna have all this in the queue. So if I see him come back and this is a trap, I'm coming back too. <laughs> okay, that's it. Might happen. All right. Good night, buddy. All right. Good night. All right. Good night, buddy. All right. So it's just me now. It's just me. There's nobody on the Skype with me. It's just me, all by myself, conducting this show alone. Alright, so I'm going to tell you guys about the story involving this elaborate scheme to steal from ATMs and casinos. It was actually pretty good. It was actually a pretty smart scheme. And it was only ruined because the guy was greedy, as I mentioned during the intro. And we, we don't have that very often, because usually it's just the, the criminal stupid. But this time, it was a smart criminal, at least a clever one, who uh, got too greedy, which I guess you could say is stupid. This reminds me a little bit of something Phil Locke did, except Phil Locke wasn't committing crimes. But Phil Locke, at one of the World Series events, wore this really weird old man face. He, he got a semi-realistic-looking mask that he wore during an event to make him look like a very old man. I remember he surprised Mikeon. He just showed up next to him at a break and said, hey, let me take a picture with you, and took a picture with him. And Mikeon's like, oh, who's this old man? So Mikeon was actually fooled by it, believed it was a real old man. Uh, because of what Phil did, they actually made a rule at the World Series that made this a an offense that you can get disqualified for. If you cover your face with a mask like that, uh, they will disqualify you, that you cannot cover your face like that. You can wear sunglasses, but that's about it. You can't uh, do anything to significantly cover your face. Now, people complained about that, saying that Phil wearing this mask allowed him to uh, suppress any facial tells, as well as uh, people could use this to uh, hide who they are and give away less info about their play style or deceive people about their age or whatever. So they, they, they made this something you couldn't do at the World Series. But back to what happened here? A similar mask was worn by a guy who wanted to steal from ATMs. So he came up with a, a complex scheme where he would wear this mask and then would put a hat over it. And so he'd just come off as like a, an innocent-looking old man. The, the point was to look like a very old guy, so there's less suspicion of him. And then he would use a ton of fake IDs he created and uh, would withdraw from casino ATMs with information that he had tricked people into giving him. And the reason for the disguise, you may wonder, well, okay, if he's pretending to be all these different people, why is he the same old man over and over? The whole point of the disguise was to throw authorities off of his trail, so... Once these fraudulent transactions were realized, if they were to go look at any security footage, they would have no idea what they're looking for. They would think they're looking for a very old guy doing it, when in reality, the one who was committing the crimes, while not young, was only 55 years old. So the, the mask made this guy look like he was over 80. So they wouldn't be looking for a 55-year-old, and also the guy who did this looks uh, nothing like the... Uh, he looks nothing like the, the old man he was pretending to be. So uh, it was a pretty smart scheme because he not only figured out how to get these people's info and make ATM withdrawals from casinos and 
knowing that casinos, uh, there, there's so many of these different ATMs there that he can victimize and so many different casinos out there that he can hit a lot of places and get away with it, but also that they'll be looking for the wrong person, that perhaps they won't even realize that it's a mask and that they'll be looking for some old guy who doesn't really exist. And even if they realize it's a mask, they're not going to have a description of him. So this is a way he can completely cover his face without looking suspicious. So all of this was pretty smart. All this was uh, a pretty clever plan. He ended up stealing about $100,000 overall with this scheme, which is pretty big considering ATMs don't dispense a whole lot of money at once. So what happened was, uh, starting in April 2019, it is said that uh, John Christopher Coletti, that's his real name, 55 years old, uh, started to withdraw money from ATMs at casinos and uh, he hit 10 different people that month, at least that reported it, that they were victims of identity theft. And uh, what he was doing was going to these ATM kiosks and then he was using information that he had uh, socially engineered from them and was able to get, uh, was able to make fake driver's licenses and uh, was able to use those to withdraw cash using uh, the the fake licenses, the social security number of those people that he had social engineered from them and their phone numbers. So armed with that information, with a license and those two pieces of info, apparently he was able to withdraw from these ATMs. I'm not sure exactly how that's done, but it must these ATMs must be able to connect to some network of accounts these people have. And uh, this way he was able to keep withdrawing money. All he had to do was make these fake licenses and uh, get this other information like the social security number and the, uh, and, and the phone numbers. He was uh, doing this to a lot of different casinos in, in Michigan. And he did this over some period of time. I'm not sure how long, but he did it enough to where they became aware of what was going on. They didn't know who did it yet, but they were aware of the fact that some guy was wearing a disguise and was uh, withdrawing money from these ATMs and was... Uh, using other people's info to do so. So they put out an alert to watch out for him. And what was his undoing was that eventually in uh, in Kansas, not even in Michigan where he was doing most of this, but in Kansas he was at an Indian casino at the Prairie Band Potawatomi Tribal Casino in Mayetta, Kansas. And they saw him making withdrawals from one of these kiosks. These are called uh, global payment kiosks. And uh, what happened was that they saw he was acting suspiciously and he was uh, making uh, these withdrawals there. So security approached him and told him that he needs to go to the cashier's cage because uh, he was trying to make a large withdrawal. He was trying to make a $20,000 withdrawal, and they said they need him to do that at the cage that's too big for the uh, the kiosk. 
This must have been when he's getting especially greedy and trying to make larger and larger withdrawals. So they said, please go to the cashier's cage. So they noticed that instead of going to the cashier's cage, he went to the restroom and then came out wearing no disguise anymore. He came out as himself and he had a noticeable bulge in his pants that they assumed was probably the mask he was wearing. So I'm guessing he, he stuffed the mask in, in, in his pants and was hoping people would think that was just his dick or something. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So they noticed that bulge. They noticed the mask was gone. And obviously they knew he had to be up to no good. Then he left the casino and uh, they arrested him at that point. Now, you may wonder why did he do that. Why didn't he just go to the cage? Well, once he knew he had to go to the cage, he knew the jig would be up. He knew there'd be a problem. So uh, when they told him, hey, you got to go to the cage, he panicked and realized he can't go to the cage and he's, he needs to get out of there. But he was probably afraid that they were onto him. So he figured, okay, I can't just run. It'll catch me. And I'm afraid if I try to walk out that maybe they'll arrest me right now. Maybe they're waiting for me to do something stupid like go to the cage and, uh, uh, and try to withdraw the money. So uh, I'm going to trick them. I'm going to the, pretend to go to the bathroom. They'll figure there's nothing worrisome there because I can't get away through the bathroom. There's no window there. I have to come out. They know that. So I'll, I'll go to the bathroom, pull my disguise off, and they'll think it's a different guy coming out of the bathroom, and I'll walk out before they know what's going on. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. So they didn't, he didn't realize they, they knew he was the same guy. And uh, security, uh, so, so they arrest him and uh, they searched him and they found 83 different IDs that he had. I'm not sure if they were on him or in his car, but he had 83 different IDs and they linked him to all of these crimes. There were 83 driver's licenses, 14 insurance cards, six water diver certification cards, and, quote, much more. I don't know why he had these water diver certification cards. That's kind of weird. Maybe just to give him, uh, if anyone doubted the idea, said, look, I even have a diving card in my name. They also found, when they uh, went through his car, four different face masks, not just that one, numerous articles of clothing, Numerous cell phones, flash drives, computer tablets, counterfeit money, books on how to get away with committing a crime. How do you keep that in your car? You're a criminal. You have a box of how to. You have a book on how to get away with committing crime in your car as you're committing crime. That's like straight out of a TV show. Surgical masks, a brief a briefcase, and paint cans. I wonder what the paint cans are for. On the flash drives, and they looked into them. They found forged documents. Background checks on various individuals, tutorials on how to counterfeit money, handwritten signatures, probably him copying other people's signatures, and Excel spreadsheets with all, over a thousand different names in the spreadsheets. So this is like a, a sophisticated scheme, and he was copying, uh, he was getting as much information as he could on all these people to, in order to uh, falsify their identities to work at these kiosks. I wonder if the diver's cards were really were just a props or if, if anyone approached him and 
asked him if that's really him, he can whip out that card and say, why, why would I have this otherwise? Like, like look, I, I, if you don't believe this, like I've even got a diver's card in my name. Why would I ever have that? What could I ever do with a diver's card? So uh, they only had six of those. And he had 83 IDs. There is a picture posted by the U.S. Attorney's Office of different Michigan driver's licenses he had. Now, these driver's licenses had his face on them, or the some form of, of him in these prosthetic faces. So uh, he had these, of course, in case anyone approached him and asked to see his ID. He can't show an ID with somebody else's face. So somebody else's info, but uh, but with his face. And uh, But they got him. And had he not kept doing this, and if he didn't try to do, get $20,000 in withdrawals from this kiosk in Kansas, then this whole thing wouldn't have fallen apart. They were already looking for him anyway because of what he had been suspected of doing in Michigan. They already were looking for this guy in the prosthetic mask, but they hadn't caught him yet. This, this only happened in a different state. And it's possible he, he bounced out of Michigan because he knew that uh, they were looking for him. And maybe that's why he was trying to do bigger hits at one point, but that ended up getting him. If he just quit and stopped and was satisfied with the hundred grand he got, this the hammer wouldn't have fallen on him. And they really didn't have a way to get him because they still didn't know who he was. They just knew it was this guy in the mask. And had he not told anybody about it, which I don't think he did, and not gotten caught doing it again, they would have never found him. I just don't see how they would have found him otherwise. Otherwise, it was pretty untraceable if you think about it. Maybe he did something else stupid that would have traced to him, but like maybe they, or maybe they could have pulled some footage of his car. But I think most of these crimes were committed in early 2019, and I, I think up till then they just kind of gave up and figured they weren't going to get him. And then he tried this in Kansas, and uh, and they nailed him more than a year later, and it all fell apart at that point. So this really was a case of. Uh, a carefully researched crime that fell apart because of greed. I know that a lot of these people, he was uh, socially engineering the information out of them, as I mentioned. So it wasn't just he looked it up, it's that he would uh, contact them in some way. I don't know if it was by email or calling them or whatever, and trick them into giving this information. The kiosks in question, see, I'm wondering if, he figured out who to target because he saw them withdrawing from there or what. But uh, these kiosks apparently are ones where you can sign up for the ability to make large withdrawals. They're called global payment kiosks. And you have to sign up for them. So what I don't understand is how he identified the people to impersonate. And I don't think he had any inside help. It looks like a one-man crime. But somehow he figured out who was using these kiosks and then uh, was able to socially engineer this information out of them and pretend to be them. And this whole disguise thing was just to prevent them from figuring out who he was once they figured out what he was doing. It says in the indictment, it said that he did this in the MGM Grand Casino Detroit between April 26th, 2019 and May 27th, 2019 for almost $100,000 for 98840 He would insert a counterfeit driver's license into the kiosk. He would look at a piece of paper likely containing the victim's last four of their social and the last four of their telephone number. And then he would make multiple 
withdrawals from different locations within the MGM Detroit. So he was only hitting one casino doing it. I still don't understand exactly where he was getting their names, though. That's the one mystery in this whole thing to me. He went in with a mobile walker over to that one in Kansas where he ended up getting caught. There was a prop to make him look like he was a feeble old man. Again, he was 55 and didn't really need a walker. Interesting idea. Interesting scheme. But ultimately, it did not work out. Okay, I want to give you an update on a story we did in November about a poker pro who goes by Mark Ari. His real name is Mark Bateman, B-E-I-T-M-A-N. And we covered a meltdown he had and that he live-streamed as it was occurring. And this didn't get much attention in the poker world. Bart Hansen brought it to my attention. He's a listener to the show, and he knew Mark Ari. So he said, hey, go check this out. And I said, wow, that's a pretty bad meltdown. And the guy put it on camera. And not only was it a meltdown, but he was live streaming himself being detained and arrested. And part of it you got to see video. Part of it you only got to hear audio because he had the phone in his pocket by order of the police. You could tell by watching this video, which I have saved. It's now deleted from YouTube, but I have it saved. You could tell from watching this video, and I played the audio of this back on the November 8th show in 2019, so you can go back and listen to that segment if you'd like, but you could tell that Mark Ari, a.k.a. Mark Bateman, was mentally ill. You could tell he had a lot of problems, and I kind of felt bad for him listening to all this. I mean, he was a jerk. He treated the police officer, who was super patient with him, kind of abusively. But you could tell that Mark had a lot of problems. You could tell that this was mental illness speaking. You could tell that Mark needed a lot of help. This wasn't just a matter of him being belligerent just for the sake of being belligerent. This guy had a lot of problems, and I had a feeling if he didn't get help soon, this was not going to end well. Keep in mind that Mark is not very old. He wasn't one of the super young poker pros, but uh, he was not very old either. He was uh, born in 1986, so at the time this occurred, he was 33 years old. He was taken into custody on November 4th, 2019. The whole situation started because he was walking his dog, and his dog was uh, causing some trouble, like jumping up onto people's trucks, and neighbors were going like, what's going on here? Control your dogs, and he got very rude with them and very confrontational. Uh, No fighting occurred no one threw punches or anything like that but uh, the neighbors started getting nervous with the way he was behaving and they called the police and it turned out that mark had a dui related warrant from a different county so when the police made contact with him they took him to uh to jail to be booked for the dui and he was in jail i don't know how long but i know for at least several days he was there in jail possibly on a mental health watch, it was very clear to everybody that there was something wrong with him. When the police came to him, they lied and claimed they were there for something else and just happened upon him. In reality, they were just protecting the neighbors, and they didn't want to make it seem like the neighbors called it on him, and then he may retaliate one day. So they say, oh, we, we happen to be in the neighborhood, and we saw this going on here, and we heard about some disturbance, so we came over, and... Uh, Something like that. But it was clear the neighbors must have called the police because he was acting in an erratic fashion. And he was. And he he put his whole video out there. 
And it was very interesting to watch. It was sad, but interesting to watch. And you knew that if he didn't turn things around with his mental health, that things may not end well. I'm going to play a clip again, not as long as what I played back on November 8th, but I'm going to play a clip again of Mark Ari, and uh, you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. You'll you'll hear the police officer and how patient the guy was with Mark. A lot of police officers would not have been this patient or nice to him. Maybe the police officer had dealt with mental illness before and had some sympathy. Here, Mark Ari, as he's being taken down to the station, I guess he was carrying some stick that he had dropped on the street during all of this, and he demanded the police go search for his stick because it was supposedly his grandfather's stick that was very important to him. I don't know if his grandfather's still alive or not, but he was claiming it's his grandfather's stick. Most police officers say, tough luck, uh, have someone else go get your damn stick. But they actually tried to find his stick, and he was still obnoxious about it. Check this out. The condo, did you grab my stick? Where's stick oh, come on, guys, that's my grandfather's stick. Where is it? It's on that street. Why am I in this fucking car? Can I get my stick, please? So what? Can I get my stick? Well, it's my grandfather's stick. It's very important to me. And you said you would get it. You didn't get it. It's on Maze Landing Road? It's No, it's on that side street right there. Okay. We'll take a look for it. We'll have him drive you to it. If I lose that stick, I'm going to be very upset. By the way, this occurring in Maze Landing, New Jersey, which is in the Atlantic City area. Don't shut those doors. I don't have the keys, all right? The front door. Keep it open. Yeah, but don't. Oh, I'm talking about the front door. Okay, I won't shut the front door. Yeah, keep, he's talking about. Yeah, but don't lock it. He, he's talking Make about sure. his own unit where uh, they were putting his dogs back while they're taking him down to the station. It's not locked. All right. Yeah, just put them up there, and then we'll get my stick. And then uh, if it'd be good if I grab my ATM card. You want to grab my ATM card for me? Actually, I don't want you guys in the in the condo. Good. Just put the dogs in there. Put that player. <laughs> what was that? How you doing, officer? Wonderful. What's your day? Officer Canava. I know. We'll probably I'll probably see you tomorrow and the next and the next and the next. I, don't see that. I didn't know it was illegal to be five two white man. It's not illegal. What am I a pa- the patriarchy? What is the fuck is this? Yeah, you have a traffic warrant. You didn't show up for court. Yeah, it was a bullshit DUI. I blew a zero point zero zero. But you still have to show up for court. Fuck them! Okay. <laughs> I'm going to sue the whole fucking Hamilton Township Police Department. They also signed a complaint against you for uh, the, uh, uh, I guess you threatened on one of your YouTube videos to burn the police station down. It's an expression. It's a figure of speech. Well, they charged you. For what? For terrorist threats. Ooh. They'll explain everything. Ooh. Little pussies. We're going to leave here and go to Hamilton Township. Yeah. Do they know that I'm an actor? Do they know it's a comedy channel? I don't know. Fucking faggots. I don't know. You'll have to explain that to them. Nah, they can go fuck themselves. How about that? They can talk to my lawyer. Okay. Sammy Davis Jr. Ever heard of him? I did. He's not my lawyer, but you've heard of him. I've heard of Sammy yeah. Davis. Listen, I want to get my stick. That's candy my grandfather's. Man. The candy man. The candy man. Can. Mixes right, it with love. Just hang tight. Grab my stick, please. Yep. The candy man can because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. I'm a dangerous man. Oh, forget the bike. I just need my stick. Okay, very good. Don't worry about the bike. I'll get it later. All right. All right. Very good. You want me to get my uh, debit card while I'm here? Oh, yeah? You like to laugh? 
Haha, motherfucker! Anyways, if you guys don't call my dad, uh, I guess he's gonna have to bail me out because they're not letting me get my card. 609-374-0907. That's 609-374-0907. Tell him to bring 1500 bucks. You can also call my girl Elisa Sanchez. He's actually giving out these phone numbers on his live stream for people to call up and get him bailed out, like through his dad. Find her on Facebook, Alicia Sanchez out of Marfa, Texas. You can call Ball Mower, you can call Ghostbusters, or I'll just hang out for a while. I don't give a fuck. Okay, so you get the idea. And this went on for like an hour in this video. Anyway, I kind of forgot about the whole thing. Because, you know, it wasn't a huge story. It just was kind of interesting to see unfold. And I know he was in jail for some time after getting brought in. But we have an update as to what happened to him. This is dated Friday, July 24th, 2020. Mark Evan Bateman, founder and author of the philosophy website, died on July 24th in Atlantic City, New Jersey. He was 34 years old. Mark earned honors, Phi Beta Kappa, and honors in philosophy from the University of Delaware and an MA in religious studies from the University of Chicago, where he also engaged in PhD studies in modern Jewish thought. So obviously this was not a dumb guy. He just had big mental illness issues. Over the course of his life, Mark also studied and wrote in depth on Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, taught ballroom and salsa dance, and had an expansive YouTube channel devoted to teaching poker. He enjoyed visual arts, snowboarding, and water sports. Most recently, Mark delighted in being a new uncle. He is survived by his loving parents, Dr. Robert Bateman and Rabbi Goldie Milgram, brother Adam, nephew David, and Alicia Sanchez, who is or was his girlfriend. The funeral is being held privately due to the pandemic. Shiva will be held on Zoom. That's the Jewish ceremony. To attend, please reach out to the family for further information. Donations in his memory are requested to NAMI or charity of the donor's choice. So that is what happened to him. He is the son of someone with a doctorate. I don't know if he's a medical doctor, but a someone with a doctorate, uh, Dr. Robert Bateman, and a rabbi. His mother's a rabbi. And as you can see, he was into the... Jewish studies. He was actually studying at one point for a PhD in modern Jewish thought. Kind of an interesting guy based upon all that, but he clearly had some demons, clearly had some issues. And I would have to guess that the death was self-inflicted. That's my guess. Either self-inflicted or from some sort of substance or alcohol abuse. One of those two. But it's all related to the mental illness in some way. Uh, often mentally ill people will self-medicate. So those that die of drug overdose or alcohol poisoning, they will sometimes be doing that because they are mentally ill and that's the way they try to feel better. I'm sure his parents are very, very aware of his condition, but sometimes there's only so much you can do. And sometimes there just is no curing what ails people mentally especially if he had something like borderline personality disorder, then that's a very tough thing to get under control for some people. So it is sad this happened, even though he was acting obnoxious on that video. This was a mentally ill person, and 
he ended early, as some mentally ill people unfortunately do when they cannot get their condition under control. You might wonder, why are there so many mentally ill people in poker? And I have a a theory on that. Poker is a game that you can play after learning it pretty quickly. It doesn't take a long time to learn how to play. It takes a long time to learn how to get good, but it takes pretty short to learn how to play. And people can easily get a false sense that they are better at the game than they really are. And also there's the allure of easy money. Instead of having to work a 9-to-5 job for an hourly wage, here you can just sit down, outplay everybody else or get lucky, and win money. And you see the professional poker players on TV winning all that money, and it's something that attracts people who want to make money and want to make easy money, especially ones like those who are mentally ill who have had a hard time holding a real job down because of their mental illness. Also, gambling in general attracts those with other demons, people who have mental illness, people with addictive personalities. So the gambling community in general will bring people who are mentally ill towards the game. And that's... I don't know what brought Mark Evan Bateman, a.k.a. Mark Ari, into poker, but it was probably something like that. I have to imagine that uh, he was having a difficult time getting employment or even uh, remaining employed if he did get a job at any point. I have to imagine he had a lot of struggles in life and that he said, hey, I'm a smart guy. I can learn how to play poker. I can learn how to play fairly well. I don't know how successful he was, but he probably figured, hey, I can do this, and this doesn't require getting along with other people. This doesn't require complete sanity. This doesn't require having to show up for a job every day, and this doesn't require not having to piss everyone off. I've just got to sit down and win. So, hey, maybe I can support myself this way. So, unfortunately, a number of mentally ill people make their way over to poker. And then what they don't understand is that it isn't difficult to win as a mentally ill person in poker. There's plenty of mentally ill people who have done very well in the game. But what is very difficult if you're mentally ill is to manage your bankroll, to live life responsibly, to hold on to the money you win, and also to resist destructive temptations that often ride along with the gambling community, such as uh, crippling uh, negative expectation gambling habits or crippling drug and alcohol addictions, things like that often ride along with playing poker if you're not careful. And sometimes those who are mentally ill don't have the most self-control and they get into these things or they fall in with people into these things and Unfortunately, they end up in situations like this where they either kill themselves or have a drug overdose or whatever it is and they don't make it very old. So that's just the nature of the poker community. It attracts a wide variety of people. You have those who are very responsible that do it almost like a job and they manage the money very well, manage the risk very well don't succumb to temptations, then you have those on the opposite end of the spectrum who are just 
living a super crazy lifestyle and the attraction to gambling and poker is just one symptom of it. I had a, I call him a friendly acquaintance. His name was, well, the way he, he went under the name Thy Prez online. I've talked about him before. He was a self-proclaimed fish. He actually liked the attention he got being a fish. It's kind of strange, but there were many odd things about him. But he had some degree of mental illness. I don't know exactly what he had, but there were definitely issues there. And he ended up dying of a drug overdose in his 30s. I, I knew him very well. We weren't, like, good friends or anything, but we talked sometimes. I met up with him a number of times. He actually met Neverwin through me, and they became friends. And then I heard one day he was gone. I even went to a memorial for him. So anyway, it's too bad. Sounds like his life could have had some promise if he wasn't afflicted by mental illness. So rest in peace, Mark Evan Bateman. And I hope his family's doing okay. This just happened. This just happened last week. All right, so moving on here. I want to talk about the coronavirus, and I'm going to tell you about different vaccines that are on the table, ones that could end up being the vaccine you take one day. And this is a piece of possible hopeful news. It's possible all of these will flop in some way, but it's also possible that one or more will be effective. It's kind of like if you're looking for a long-term relationship, you can go on a lot of crappy dates with a lot of different people, but if you find one that's good and you stay with that person and marry them, then it's been successful. You don't worry about the 10 crappy dates you had before if the 11th one is good and you stay with that person and that's basically who you've been looking for. So same with these. You don't need the majority to work. You only need one to work. With that said, that doesn't mean any of them will work. It's also possible that there will be multiple options that can work and that there will be several to choose from and that maybe some will work better for certain people than others and that it'll be good to have more than uh, one choice. So I'm going to go over the vaccines and I'll tell you my opinion of whether this is something that we should be uh, hopeful about. There are more than 150 in development across the world. So there are seven vaccines I'm going to cover here that we should watch. And you, you should Google this every so often. I will too if you don't want to. I'll do it every so often and cover them on this show. But these are the seven you should watch. You may have heard of some of them before and maybe some of you haven't. And see where they go. The World Health Organization claims that they are working on developing uh, a vaccine that will have 2 billion doses available by the end of 2021. The U.S. has said that they are looking to deliver 300 million doses by January 2021. That's, of course, uh, just within the U.S., which has a population of 330 million. So I'll tell you how these U.S. vaccines are going. These seven. A lot of times vaccines are very slow. In fact, they usually are. 
it can often take 10 to 15 years to bring a vaccine to market. The very fastest vaccine that has successfully been brought to market was one for the mumps in the 1960s, which took four years. So how are we going to get one to market in less than a year? Which, if it's available by January 21, would be less than a year. Not that much less, but still less than a year. That would be a tremendous uh, breakthrough compared to four years or especially compared to 10 to 15. Now, it is important to understand that there has never been an effort like this before to develop a vaccine. Never has there been so many different simultaneous companies putting so much money into a vaccine. And of course, modern medicine is much more advanced than medicine in the 1960s or before. So yeah, it took four years in the 1960s when they set that record, but it's been 55, 60 years since then. So you think that we can do better than that, but still vaccines are tough. It's not really simple. You, it's simple to take. And that's why you can trivialize how hard it is to develop one. But vaccines can be very, very difficult, especially because it's a lot more difficult to develop a vaccine than a medication. Because with a vaccine, number one, you have to prove that it works. And number two, you have to prove it's safe. Because with a medicine, there is some acceptable risk because you already have a problem. And so to get rid of the problem, you're willing to take a risk that the medicine could cause some harm with a vaccine you are putting it in your body when you're healthy so people are much less willing to put something in their body that makes them unhealthy when they're fine it's a very different story to use something to make something go away that's a problem if you're going to put something in your body to sicken yourself that's very hard to do that's so as you can imagine, there's a much higher standard for the safety and lack of side effects for a vaccine compared to uh, treatments. So vaccines are very tough for that and other reasons. But a vaccine is super important here. Will there ever be a successful vaccine? Possibly and possibly not. And will a vaccine be good enough to eradicate the coronavirus or will it mutate and will we have to use a different vaccine every time it mutates? Will it take a long time to develop the new version of the vaccine? And is it possible that we'll never have a vaccine that is very effective? And that is possible. But it is possible that everything will be great and this will put an end to this. For example, how many people do you know who have the mumps? I bet you don't know any. I bet you don't ever know anybody who had the mumps unless you were alive prior to that vaccine in the 60s. So it might really do away with the coronavirus. Anyway, here are the vaccines which are under development at the moment. Moderna Therapeutics is developing one that they're calling mRNA-1273. They are based in Massachusetts, and they collaborate with the National Institute of Health. They inject snippets of the virus material, the genetic material, called mRNA, into human cells. And that creates viral proteins that mimics the coronavirus, which trains 
your own immune system to recognize its presence. Now, this technology has never been used before for any other disease. So this would be the first mRNA vaccine approved for human use. So this could be a big breakthrough for vaccines in general if this works. That's basically pretending the coronavirus is in your body when it really isn't. And then your body says, oh, there's the coronavirus. I'm going to create an immune response. And then your body has already made their immune response. So then when you get the real coronavirus, your body fights it off. That's that's basically what that is. This is a lot different than traditional vaccines where they're actually really putting the disease in your body, but in very small doses to where it can't hurt you. And then the same thing happens where your body comes up with an re- immune response and is ready for the real one when you get it. So this is one where you're not even getting the actual coronavirus put in you. You're getting a... Uh, the, the uh, snippets of its genetic material with it actually, without it actually being the virus. So how is it currently going? Well, on July 27th, just uh, four days ago, Moderna announced it has started the third phase of its clin- clinical trials. Preliminary findings from phase one have shown that healthy subjects produced corona antibodies and a reaction from their T-cells Phase three will test the vaccine in 30,000 U.S. participants. Moderna says it's on track to deliver at least 500 million doses per year beginning in 2021. They have struck a deal with a Swiss manufacturer known as Lanza to allow it to manufacture up to 1 billion doses per year. The downside to this one is that this technology is unproven. It's not like mRNA vaccines have been used before. This would be the first one. Doesn't mean it won't work, but we've never seen this successfully used before. Pfizer. Pfizer does something else besides Viagra. Pfizer's working on one called BNT162B2. They are collaborating with a German biotech company, BioNTech, and they are also working on an mRNA vaccine. And apparently BioNTech in Germany had previously been working on an mRNA vaccine in experimental cancer vaccines. Yes, there's possible cancer vaccines down the pike, which would be great for people my age who are starting to get uh, into that territory where cancer is possible. Pfizer signed a nearly $2 billion contract with the U.S. government to provide 100 million doses by December 2020. But that agreement only goes into effect if the drug is approved and delivered. On July 27th, Pfizer and BioNTech launched a trial that combines phase two and three by enrolling a diverse population in areas with significant SARS-CoV-2 to transmission, which is COVID-19. They will examine how well it's doing with uh, 30,000 people from 39 U.S. states plus Brazil, Argentina, and Germany. And they're looking for the uh, regulatory permission this fall in order to meet their deadline for December by 2020, by 2021, they are looking to have 1.3 billion doses ready of the vaccine. Preliminary, preliminary results of phase one and two shows that the vaccine does produce antibodies and T-cell responses for COVID-19. 
University of Oxford is taking a bit of a different approach. They have one called Chad OX1 N Cove 19. University of Oxford is working with the pharma company AstraZeneca. And they're calling theirs a Trojan horse. So what's basically happening is that uh, they have transferred the COVID-19 spike protein, which is what they use to uh, attach to cells. You know, you've seen the picture of the coronavirus itself, the little spikes on it. So they have transferred those spikes into a weakened version of an adenovirus, which typically causes the common cold. So once this adenovirus is injected into humans, the belief is that the spike protein will trigger an immune response. So basically they're going to give uh, what's similar to a common cold to people, and then your body's going to trigger the same immune response that it does to the current coronavirus because it's got those same spikes going on. So it's a, the, the body will see it the same way. It'll trigger the same immune response, but they're really just giving you a common cold, which, of course, you'll get over very easily. I, I don't know how – if it's going to really be like full symptoms of a common cold. Like it wouldn't be the worst thing if it did, except for people who are very vulnerable. But like if, if you had to deal with one common cold to – get vaccinated to the coronavirus. Obviously, that's a good deal. I'll take that in a second. But either way, the, the belief is that the body will think it's... Uh, it'll come up with basically the same immune response to stop those spikes from uh, from invading cells, and that will stop the coronavirus when uh, it attempts to invade your cells. But uh, their version, all that's going to do at worst is going to give you a cold. So how is this doing? Well, preliminary results from the first two clinical trial phases revealed that the vaccine did trigger a strong immune response, including increased antibodies and responses from T-cells. And as far as the side effects people got, uh, they got uh, fatigue and headache. So I guess it wasn't like a full-blown cold. They just got tired and their head hurt. They are moving on to phase three of the clinical trials, aiming to recruit up to 50,000 volunteers in Brazil, the UK, US, and South Africa. So that, that one's kind of interesting. Sinovac has a catchy name for their vaccine. Coronavac. So they're called Sinovac. They're making Coronavac. They are a Chinese company. They're a Chinese pharmaceutical company, and they're also working with a Brazilian research center. Coronavac is an inactivated vaccine. It's a non-infectious version of the coronavirus. So these can still uh, provoke an immune response without actually producing the disease that harms people. It is similar to the flu vaccine. On July 3rd, Brazil's regulatory agency gave them approval to move ahead with phase three, and they are monitoring the results of the first two phases. Sinovac says that so far the vaccine does produce an immune response with no severe adverse effects. 
they also tried this vaccine in macaque monkeys and revealed that the vaccine produced antibodies that neutralized 10 different strains of the coronavirus. Phase three, they're looking for 9,000 people in Brazil to volunteer for that. So that's the one that worked on the monkeys. Sinopharm, which you might recognize the Sino name. I guess it's Sinopharm, S-I-N-O-P-H-A-R-M. I bet you could guess where that's from. Yep, China. China's state-run pharmaceutical company, Sinopharm, in collaboration with the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products. Do do you really want a vaccine from the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products? That kind of sounds like the ones who made the the, the disease in the first place. Nevertheless, Sinopharm is using an inactivated COVID-19 virus that uh, it hopes they can get to the public by the end of 2020. They've said that the early trials of the vaccine triggered a strong neutralizing antibody in participants with no severe adverse effects. In July, Sinopharm launched its phase three trial with 15,000 volunteers from ages 18 to 60 with no serious underlying conditions. And they did this in the United Arab Emirates of all places. The reason they selected UAE is because they have a diverse population with 200 different nationalities. So they figured that, uh, rather than testing all Chinese people or all white people or all black people, that the the UAE has such a large number of uh, different nationalities that they can get an idea of how this uh, reacts with each race. Because there there can be racial elements to how diseases uh, affect people. So it's not a bad idea. But I, I don't know how that trial is going. I guess they, since it's only two weeks old, they don't know yet. Murdoch Children's Research Institute is doing something they call the BRACE trial. That's the Bacillus calmetti Guerin BRACE trial. And this is a, uh, what is the Murdoch Children's Research Institute? It's a child health research institute in Australia. The... Bacillus calmet Guerin vaccine, the BCG vaccine, has been used for almost 100 years to prevent tuberculosis by exposing patients to a small dose of live bacteria. And there has been some evidence over the years that this may actually boost the immune system and help the body fight off other diseases as well. They have wondered that if why that... Uh, Australia hasn't been hard hit, even though they have large cities, even though they have not been particularly careful. They are not socially distancing. They're not wearing masks. They really are doing everything wrong, you would think, in Australia. And yet, somehow, Australia is not doing badly with the coronavirus at all. They have some, but it's it's really not gotten bad there at any point. And people have wondered if that has to do with that vaccine that is said to give you better response to other diseases. They have only had 17,000 cases in Australia that are verified. They've only had 201 deaths from the coronavirus in the entire country. So they're doing extremely well. 
they've only had eight people die per million population. How does that compare to other places? Well, the U.S. had 473 people die per million population. Brazil, 435 per million population. Chile, 494. Peru, 582. Mexico, 362. UK, 679. They're among the worst. Spain, 608. So a lot of places were uh, were pretty uh, hard hit per million population. And yet Australia has uh, very low numbers. So they had eight. I mean, that's crazy. Eight compared to almost 100 times that in the UK. So why is Australia doing so much better? Well, at first people said, well, because they've got their seasons reversed. They've got their summer when we have our winter. So wait till it switches. Wait till they have their winter in July. Well, they do, and it's not bad. So uh, there's some belief that maybe it is because of that. Now, they they are a little bit worse off. They, they had 602 cases yesterday and eight deaths. So uh, they're not being hard hit, but they, it is going up a little bit over there. But they've been really not doing very much in Australia to prevent this. It should be much worse, and it isn't. So there's some belief that it has to do with that, with this uh, tuberculosis vaccine with the small dose of live bacteria. So researchers are investigating whether this is true, even though the World Health Organization has said that uh, they don't believe the BCG vaccine protects people against the coronavirus. But Murdoch Children's Hospital, or I guess Murdoch Children's Research Institute, has begun a, set, a series of randomized controlled trials that will test whether it really does work on the coronavirus. CanSino Bio- Biologics, which is another Chinese company, they are developing one called AD5-NCOV. CanSino, not Casino, but CanSino, has a viral vector vaccine using a weakened version of the adenovirus as a vehicle for bringing the spike into the body, similar to what I talked about before. Preliminary results from the phase two trials that were published in The Lancet have shown that they get a significant immune response to the majority of recipients after a single immunization without any serious adverse reactions documented. As of June 25th, they are still in phase two of their trial, but they did receive limited approval to use their vaccine in people. The Chinese government, though, has only given them permission to use this on the military for the following year. So I don't know what we're going to see with that one because we've only got uh, – it looks like they can't even use it on non-military people until July of 2021. So those are uh, seven major vaccines that are in development. There's many others. Which ones seem most hopeful? Well, let me start with this one. I guess there's there's two of them like this. With the, uh, the Trojan horse with the adenovirus that you're basically giving yourself a cold that mimics the coronavirus 
and your body learns how to fight the coronavirus while you all you really have is a cold. I think that this one could be a problem as far as getting people to comply with taking it. Now, I would not be afraid of this. There would be a lot of Americans who would not be afraid of this, but there will be a lot of Americans who are. Not because they fear the common cold so much, but I think it's very difficult to sell people the idea that we're going to give you a vaccine that's going to make you sick. Even if it's not very sick. Even if it's just fatigue and and a headache. People are not going to like this. There's a lot of paranoia, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. There's a lot of paranoia about vaccines. Unjustified paranoia, by the way. If you are paranoid about vaccines, you are not thinking straight. You are letting the conspiracy theorists scare you. So you should not be afraid of the vaccine. You should want to take the vaccine once you're convinced it's safe. And I don't mean by, when I say once you're convinced, I mean after they've successfully tested it and uh, they've come out with credible data that the vaccine is safe. So if you are afraid that Bill Gates has a secret conspiracy to inject you with something, to take control of you or whatever else, uh, don't. Like these, the the fear of the vaccine. I'm already seeing people talk about how they absolutely won't take it, and uh, they won't let anyone let anyone force them to take it. They're they're getting all ready for the fight to not let themselves get vaccinated, and that is stupid. But you're going to get far more people pushing back against this if it's a vaccine that makes you sick. I understand how it makes you sick. I understand why it makes you sick, and I understand how that can be a good thing. And if it's just like a common cold, we've all had it. It's not a huge deal. Then you definitely do it. If I could trade one cold for immunity to the coronavirus, I would do that in a second. But there will be some that are afraid of it for various reasons. Some that are believing the government's injecting something harmful into the body, Some will believe that uh, they're getting the coronavirus put inside them and that's why they're getting sick. Like, it's it's just very hard to tell someone we're putting this in your body and you're going to get sick. So there's going to be a lot of pushback to this. People want to feel like a vaccine is something you get and you hardly feel. And then it just prevents viruses from getting it. Think of the flu shot. Now, the flu shot has its side effects too. But not like this. To, To actually feel like you have a virus from a vaccine, I think it's going to be hard to sell some people. Even ones who aren't conspiracy theorists are going to be uncomfortable with it. Like, hey, here's a coronavirus vaccine. It's going to help your body fight the coronavirus. Yeah, it's going to make you sick, but not coronavirus sick, just kind of cold sick. They're going to go, whoa, hold on. I feel fine. I'm not putting that in me. <laughs> That's what people are going to say. Well, you're not, you're not, wait, you're going to make me sick? You're giving me a vaccine to make me sick? So that's going to be a problem. You're going to have Problems with compliance with this one. I think any with this model are going to have compliance. That kind of knocks out those two. That might end up being the most effective one, and then they'll have a tough decision on their hands whether that's the one the government wants to push, and they're going to have a lot of controversy. I can already see the problems with this one. Not a problem I'll have, but a problem some will have. The mRNA ones, the ones by Moderna and by Pfizer, are interesting, but I'm skeptical as to whether they're going to really work because it's new technology. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you get something that's new, 
Like think about if you, you get a computer with new technology or you get a router with new technology or you get a, uh, an iPhone with, with new technology it didn't have before. What do you often find at the beginning? You find bugs. You find problems. Because it hasn't been tried and tested. They, they, they attempt to test it, but it seems like when it gets to you, it still has problems and then uh, they have to find ways to fix it. And a lot of times new technology has trouble at first. And then they've got to fine-tune it. So this is uncharted territory, this mRNA vaccine. I'm not saying it doesn't work. This may be the future of vaccination. This may be a big breakthrough. This may be something that they talk about in decades to come was really a big turning point in vaccination Is are, are these mRNA vaccines. This could be something that is very effective. And And remember that one of these mRNA vaccines actually was being used for cancer. Think about that. Think about not only in the future could there be an mRNA coronavirus vaccine that's effective, but an mRNA cancer vaccine. Imagine if you get a cancer vaccine, even if it's only against certain cancers. Imagine you can get vaccines against certain cancers. I mean, this there's a lot of possibilities here, and we may look back on the days of development of the mRNA vaccines and see it similar to the way we see antibiotics today. And look back and go, wow, I can't believe people lived before, like they lived with the lack of these vaccines. Like it could be that big of a moment. But right now it's immature technology. It's never been approved for use in a vaccine. They've had experimental vaccines, but it's never been approved. Now, this would be a great first one if it works, but I hate hanging my hat on technology, including medical technology, which is unproven. And I could easily see this failing. As cool as it sounds and as much as this might be the future, unfortunately, it might not be the present. And we need the present. We can't wait very long. We, even if they could perfect this by 2023, we wouldn't want to wait till 2023 for a vaccine, would we? So I don't know. I hope it works, but I'm a little skeptical about these mRNA vaccines because of the medical technology that they are based upon. So there's that. So that, there's four there. This thing from Australia about the BCG vaccine it's interesting, but I don't think that's going to be the solution. And it's possible that even if they're correct that the BCG vaccine has provided some immunity to the coronavirus, number one, there's still enough cases in Australia to where it's not complete immunity. So it may improve the situation, but it's not going to make it go away. Australia is still under coronavirus threat. And number two, it may be something that you kind of develop over your lifetimes. It just—it's possible that the BCG vaccine uh, boosts the immune system and your your body develops uh, a better ability to fight disease, but over a long period of time. Not you immediately have it once you get the vaccine. That could be another problem. I don't have a lot of confidence in that study. It would be interesting to know, but I don't have a lot of confidence in that one. Uh, as far as the the let's see the the one that's more of the traditional vaccine 
the one that's similar to the flu vaccine from Sinovac, the one called Coronavac. Uh, that's definitely the one along the lines of what we're used to. And I, I guess we'll have to see where it goes, like the rest of these. The problem with those type of vaccines is sometimes they're just not that effective. That's, that's what we're used to. But the flu virus, uh, the flu vaccine is not super effective. It, it's good we have it, but it's because the coronavirus is so much worse than the flu. Uh, it's not acceptable, in my opinion, for us to have a coronavirus vaccine that's as good as the flu vaccine. We need far better. So uh, I don't really know what to what to expect with that one. The flu vaccines are said to work about 40 to 60%. So yeah, if you could bring down the rates of the flu by 40 to 60%, that's great, but that's not doing away with the flu. That's why we still get the flu. That's why you have people dying of the flu every year. It's not just those who don't get vaccinated. It's that the the flu vaccine lowers your chance of getting the flu. It doesn't eliminate it or come anywhere close to eliminating it. So we still have flu issues in this country and all over the world every year. We just don't talk about it. So I don't think a coronavirus version of that is going to be something we really want. Better than nothing, but that's not what we should be going for. We're not we're not going for 40 to 60% effectiveness. We should be going for much higher. Now, you don't need 100% because eventually, uh, hopefully this will lead to herd immunity. Once you have enough people where it's effective, even if there's some that it's not effective for, then the virus will die out unless it mutates. But still, we need to do better than what the flu vaccine is. So as you can see here, there's some promising vaccines that are in development, but none of these look like a slam dunk. And I wouldn't be surprised if all of these end up being a flop. I also wouldn't be surprised if they find that one or more of these are very effective and that we can look at the year 2020 as one where a tremendous medical accomplishment was had and that this was the year where after suffering through this terrible virus that medical research put together a successful vaccine in less than a year and then we can pat that industry on the back for uh, doing a tremendous job, which that would be if there was to be an effective vaccine that was distributed widely around this country and around the world and that eliminated or massively reduced the coronavirus to where it was barely a problem anymore. That would be a tremendous success story. That would be something humanity could be proud of. And I hope that's the story. I hope that's where it goes, but it also might not. It's possible that these mRNA things are just not going to work. It's possible that uh, none of these will work very well. It's possible that uh, they won't work for very long, that maybe they'll be effective for two months and then you're vulnerable again. It's possible they won't know this until after some time passes and people Got, who got vaccinated are sick with the coronavirus four months later and they go, what the hell? I will tell you that's something I will be nervous about. I'm not going to be nervous about the vaccine being injected into me. I will be nervous like, is this really protecting me? 
I will be nervous many months later. Did my protection perhaps wear off? There will be many things I'm concerned about. I don't know when I will feel like totally comfortable, like, okay, this is gone. I guess if it like just about totally eliminates itself and it's just not around anymore, we're just not seeing cases anymore, then I'll go, okay, like that's pretty much gone. Like, yeah, even if there's a tiny chance I get it, I'm not going to worry about it. Like there's, there's a tiny chance every day, not even that tiny, there's like a small chance every day I'm going to die. Could be from an act of violence, could be from a car accident, though not much now because they don't drive much. It could be from a sudden heart attack, could be from a sudden stroke. I'm not old enough for this stuff to occur. Uh, could be from an accident. So yeah, you know, things can happen that could just kill me out of nowhere. And that's a risk I deal with every day and don't panic about. So I won't panic about a tiny risk for coronavirus. I know how to do basic mathematics and read basic statistics. But if because there's such large unknown here, I'll be a little nervous of this one. I want to talk about the danger, the new danger that has been researched by the UK that unfortunately applies to me once again. I have been fortunate that I have not had the coronavirus yet. We are about six months into the pandemic and I have dodged it thus far, as has everyone in my family. Unless Benjamin got it at some point early on and just was asymptomatic, but I'm guessing he didn't. But uh, most of this has been because I'm so careful. We just haven't not exposed ourselves very much, especially since mid-March. But I think that's a wise decision on my part. I have stayed out of the casinos. I have stayed out of the supermarkets after sometime in April. I have... Uh, really not done very much that could put me at risk. And I made the conscious decision to do so and got the agreement from the rest of my family to do so as well, because they have to do it too. Otherwise, they could just bring it right home. But I have found that certain risk factors seem to always center around me. Well, not always, but it seems like ones that can always do. First, I heard about the Losartan thing, which still hasn't really been figured out. I know the last thing they said is it's not a problem, but I don't fully trust that. Where they said that blood pressure medication Losartan, as well as ACE inhibitor blood pressure medication, can make the susceptibility to bad symptoms of the virus much higher. So I quit Losartan for that reason. And it was also believed, and still is believed to my knowledge, that having high blood pressure raises your chances to have a bad reaction to the coronavirus. Again, these don't raise your chance of getting the virus, but once you have it, the severity of the symptoms has to do with this, if these factors end up being true. They have not proven any of these things, but these are theories that are believed to have some credibility. With the blood pressure, they're not sure if it's baseline blood pressure, meaning before medication, or if it's current blood pressure, that is, meaning if you're medicated and you have it under control, then in that case, it wouldn't affect you. But still, if it is baseline, I'm in trouble because I have semi-high baseline blood pressure. My baseline blood pressure, that is whatever it would be if I didn't medicate, would probably be around like 153 over 93, which it's not dangerously high, but it's, like, not good. It's high. 
I've known about that for a while. I've also known that there's been some belief that people with type A blood are more susceptible to bad symptoms of the virus. I know that was recently debunked by Harvard, but again, you never know what the truth is. There were other studies before that claiming that people with type A blood had a higher chance of bad symptoms. Well, now something that applies to me is not about the symptoms you get, but about your likelihood of getting the virus at all. It was found that people over six feet tall have a higher chance of catching the virus in the first place compared to shorter and average people. Now, how could that matter? Why would it matter how tall you are? Well, they did a study in the UK of people over six feet tall and of people who were not six feet and looked at the rate of infection, and they found something very interesting. With men, where the average height, I think, is around five foot nine in the UK for men, they found that men who were over six feet got the coronavirus at about two times the rate of those who were under six feet. But then, or I think compared to average, not the under six feet, but compared to the ones who were around average. But then they compared women, because women, of course, are shorter than men on average by a number of inches, and women over six feet are quite unusual. You don't see that many women who are six feet or taller. You've probably met some, but there aren't many. Also, the average height of women is shorter, so it's not just fewer over six feet, it's just that there aren't that many who are anywhere near six feet. In the UK, the average female is actually shorter than I expected. They said the average female in the UK is five foot three, where the average male is five foot nine. So the difference between a six foot woman and an average woman is nine inches, and the difference between a six foot man and an average height man is only three inches. Now, of course, there's men over six feet, which is more than that, but still, you're going to have the greater difference in women who are over six feet compared to the average women, With uh, if you look at it versus men who are over six feet. The reason this matters is because they found that women who are over six feet tall were nine times as likely to be infected by the coronavirus than women who were average height. So men were twice as much, twice as likely than men who were average. But women six feet plus were nine times as likely than women who were average. So that really led them to conclude that there is a height element. And the reason there is a staggering difference for women is because women who are six feet are so much taller than the average woman in the UK. But again, why does it have to do with height? Well, let's go back to what is the reason that is believed right now that people are contracting the virus and that is, or how is it transmitting for the most part? And it is now believed that it's not really on surfaces, that it is mostly through the air and that it's mostly through the air indoors and that it's, mainly when people speak or cough or sneeze. So they project something. Even when you're talking, you project out of your mouth. You just don't really notice. 
and uh, the louder you speak, the more you project. And that also places with air conditioning or some kind of internal ventilation tends to spread it more because maybe it blows the particles that hang in the air around the room more. So that's where it's found to uh, spread the most. It was also found that in places that would open the windows, even though it may create kind of a, a ventilation effect as well, that the infection rate was less because uh, maybe because the coronavirus would then travel outside and be replaced by fresh air coming in. There's uh, once once you have ventilation and open windows, there's a natural flow of air that uh, that goes outside. Which basically you know basically uh, if you have a cross breeze, it'll basically the air will suck out of the room and air from the outside will come back in from the other window. So it was found when they did that, it uh, lowered the incidence of the virus, and that would make sense because there would be fewer particles hanging in the air if they're, they're moving outdoors. Uh, but if everything's closed up and there's a vent or an air conditioner blowing the air around, that's the worst you can have. So what does this have to do with height? Well, it is believed from this study that tall people tend to be higher up, of course, that's where their mouth and nose are, and that the particles must be hanging in the air at uh, higher up, so you're more likely to get it. It also might be that you're closer to the ventilation, you're closer to the, the air conditioner or the fan, and that... Uh, if it is blowing things around, it might, uh, especially if something's recirculating through it, it might be first to get to you because you're closer to it by being taller. It's not known for sure if these factors are what's making it happen, but it, it has been found in this study that there is a clear difference for tall people versus average people. As far as short people, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure... Uh, what the deal is that like is someone who's under five feet safer than someone who's five foot six they might be but it was found that people over six feet will get the coronavirus more often and i really think it has to do with uh with the ventilation that's my guess would be it's because of uh, the recirculating air indoors that it gets to the taller people first maybe the it also could be that when people project as they speak, that the virus goes in a certain trajectory that goes upwards and then kind of hangs there before uh, disappearing or descending. So it's possible that uh, being six foot something puts you at the perfect height to where a lot of average height people who are shorter than you uh, project these particles in the air kind of right around where you're breathing. So the staggering difference in females with the coronavirus who are over six feet compared to average females. That's really the telling stat. The males, the, the, twice as much. That's more, but it it's not as staggering as nine times. So you watch out if you're over six foot, which I, I'm substantially over six foot. So for me, that's a problem. <laughs> now, this may be debunked later. Maybe there's something wrong with this study. But 
Uh, it was only studied by one place. The findings were not peer-reviewed. So they haven't said this is proven yet. But this is a theory going around. And it's one I can kind of believe. It seems like so often when these theories come around, I, I never read and go, oh, good, this doesn't apply to me. Like, it always seems to apply to me, and it's always applying to me worse. Like, it's never that the tall people are better off for this. It's never that the people with a high blood pressure are better off. It's never that I – mean, even the smokers are catching a break. Even the smokers are being told that it might actually be helping them. But everything with me, for some reason, it, it falls on the bad side of this. Now, my age is not as bad as being old. And with everything combined here, I'm still way better off than someone who's a lot older than me. But still, kind of sucks. <laughs> All these things, maybe some of them aren't true. Maybe some of them will be totally debunked later. But every time I hear one of these stories, it always happens to apply to me and always happens to be applied to me on the negative side. It is believed that this is also indicating that, uh, it, it is indicating that it's spreading through the air that is being uh, recirculated. So not only is it saying, well, not only were they trying to figure out why people who are taller are getting more often, but they're also trying to figure out what this means for everybody. So they're trying to say, well, okay, before we believed that it was mainly happening from uh, downward droplet transmission, but maybe it's more than that. Because if it, people are, who are taller are getting it more, it wouldn't be so much about that uh, because they would be above it in many cases. Wouldn't you think that if someone sneezes that the people who are lower would be more susceptible? Because the, think about it, when they're sneezing or coughing, it would it may go up for a second, but then it goes down. It eventually gets everybody shorter going down. So you would think that would actually leave taller people being safer from it, but it's not. So that's really making them suspect that recirculated air is doing this. And they are saying that they should be further exploring air purification indoors. That maybe businesses really need to be more careful about their air conditioning units and make sure that these units are, not just air conditioning, heating too, when the winter comes back. But anything that's blowing air indoors like in a business setting, maybe they really need to find ways to purify that air as it goes through because it seems to be hitting tall people more, and this could be saying that that might be a major form of transmission. Now, it's not the only form of transmission because for sure you can give this to someone just standing next to them and talking or breathing on them or coughing on them. You can also give this to someone outside. There have been people at beach parties and outdoor weddings that have gotten COVID from these places. So that's not the only place you're going to catch it. But it does give a hint, and perhaps that's even more important to the general public than just the whole thing about being tall being worse. So instead of breathing a sigh of relief, oh, good, I'm not anywhere near, near six feet, maybe what you should look at is, hey, wait a minute, what does this mean? I have long maintained that you've got to keep away from indoors that that's the key here i mean at the very beginning i didn't know that but as more evidence came out i realized that being indoors was the big problem 
And that's I, I described earlier in the show with Brandon. And I talked about when I last went inside Target, I was just so stressed and so nervous because I knew it in my heart that this was the most likely place I would get it. I didn't get it, obviously, but I said, I've got to stop doing this. I've got to find a way to stop doing this. And I did. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Drew. How you doing? It's Nick the Cop. Nick the Cop. Hello. And I know you texted me yeah. before. And uh, now you told me that, unfortunately, uh, you had or have the coronavirus? Yes. And it, it's uh, ironic because uh, I just woke up and saw that you were still on the line. And I heard you talking about tall people. And I'm six five and a half, oh. and I still have the coronavirus. <laughs> and I was amazed to hear that. I, I, you're the first person I've heard that from. Yeah, if you Google it, you'll see some articles about it. There was only one study. It wasn't peer-reviewed, so it's not getting a whole lot of respect. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. And, and as I said, if, it's, uh, if it is attached to that, it, it, it does have to do with ventilation in, indoors. Now, I, I have some questions for you about this. Sure. Um, first of all, how long have you had? Do you currently have it, or, or are you over it? Well, um, so a week ago last Tuesday, I started feeling sick. Um, just tired, I should say. Um, I was working that day. I had gone on calls. Uh, it was my second day of work. We worked six, day, six days on and three days off. And so this, so this would have been a week ago last Tuesday, whatever that date was. Um, I went home that day kind of tired, not thinking much of it. It was a hot day in the 80s, and I had worked out a little bit and just figured it was due to that. I woke up after a couple hours of sleep, and it was just like a freight train hit me. Um, I was sick that Tuesday and Wednesday and decided that Thursday, so it would have been a week ago, this past Thursday, I decided to take the, the test. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a nearby hospital. The actual process was real easy. I called my doctor. They faxed the order in. It was a drive-through, um, in a parking lot of a hospital with a you know, kind of like an RV there with a nurse. Um, I was the second car in line. It swabbed me within three minutes. Showed my ID. Showed my uh, showed my prescription card. Three minutes swabbed, and uh, I got a call last Monday saying I was positive. Mm. And how do you so, um, yeah, how do you feel currently? I feel fine currently. Um, now, ironically, three, I think it was three days ago, I felt terrible. And I had a virtual appointment with my doctor yesterday, and he said he's seen patients with a second wave day nine or day ten that are getting sick again. So you, get, you catch it, uh, you feel better, and then day nine or day ten, a second wave hits, which is exactly what happened to me. To me, it was day ten. I just felt terrible that day. All I have right now is I would describe it as the last day or two as just kind of like a, oh, if, you, if anyone out there has like allergies or something like that, it's kind of like that where you just kind of feel a little bit flemish and a little bit stuffed up. I see. And and uh, the, was the very worst point about three days ago? No. So three days ago was the second wave where I just woke up. And I was just like, oh my god! I thought I was over this, and it was just—I felt terrible. I never left. I haven't really left the—I haven't left the house at all, other than to go on a couple of short walks. Um, but that day, I was planning on going on a little bit of a longer walk to stretch out. I kind of live in a rural area, so I don't come across too many people. Um, and that day, I didn't even leave the house. So I was just—I sat on my porch and 
and that's it. So the first three days, the first the first night, and the next two days were the worst days, and um, mainly it was uh, body aches, um, really tired. The first day, the first full day, I had chills and sweats. So every 15 minutes, I was either too hot or too cold. I'd put the fan on, take it off, turn it off, put a sweatshirt on, take it off, and that repeated itself for hours that day. Um, at no point did I ever think, oh, my gosh, I need to go to the hospital or I'm going to die or any of that kind of thing. Um, the way I kind of told friends, because I'm kind of the first person in my group of friends that have gotten it, I kind of describe it to this as like if if uh, nine, 8, 9, and 10 out of 10 is like you're going to the hospital, um, I would say it's a 5. It was 5. So I never once thought you know, oh my gosh, I need to go to the hospital. Um, the doctor told me yesterday in a virtual appointment, if I'm still Flemish, in another two or three days, he was going to recommend like a Z-Pack or something. But I, he said, as of now, I didn't think it was necessary with just being kind of stuffed up. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> okay. So how old are you? I'm 51. 51. Okay. So you're close to my age. And uh, so that's, that's pretty fortunate so far that this is all you've had at 51. Uh, and uh, have you had any breathing problems at all? No, that's the... Uh, there's a couple of things that I didn't have that other people have had. I didn't have the, the the loss of sensation of smell and taste. I didn't really have any breathing problems. I had a little, like a slight amount of chest compression the first day or so, uh, but nothing to the point of bothered me breathing wise um i haven't been i don't have any kind of underlying issues i'm in fairly good shape i work out two or three times a week i'm not in great shape i wouldn't say like i was in my in my 30s obviously as a 50 plus year old man but i'm in i'm not in terrible shape so for the average 50 year old i'm probably in slightly better shape than what most 50 year olds are um so i think that might have helped me a little bit too yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad it didn't hit you that badly, and I, I've heard this, too, where some people feel better for a short time, and then it gets worse again, but uh, if, if you're getting better a second time, then I, I'm going to guess that you're probably not going to get it a third time. Uh, you never know with this thing, because it, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen, and there's so many new things they find it, out. It's strange, Drew. This whole thing is strange. The, the one thing I could tell your listeners, anyone listening how to determine between like a flu or whatever. It was just a strange, strange thing. How it came on so fast was one thing. The other thing is I never lost my appetite. I know that's one of the symptoms, but I was hungry. Even the first day of feeling terrible, I like, I was still hungry. I wanted to eat, mm. um, which I thought was, which, which is strange. I know everyone's different and that's the other hard thing about this. Yes. Um, now it took me, it took me four days to find out. They told me originally they told me five or six, but it only took four for the for the phone call. And I would say if you start feeling sick, you know, and you've got family members, I sent uh, two of my kids away. One of my kids was in, was in summer camp, so that worked out. And I sent two of my kids away. Uh, my wife stayed home, and thank God she never caught it. So um, if you're if you're around um, people that are you know, you think that they have underlying conditions, and you start to feel sick. You know, either you or they are going to have to leave the house. That's what I that would that's what I would recommend. 
Yeah, um, I, I had wondered what I would do that, if if I caught it. I'd I'd kind of wondered if like should I just leave and where should I go? <laughs> should I go to a hotel or something? I wasn't sure if I got it. I wouldn't I wouldn't worry sure. so much with Benjamin, but uh, you know, with my my girlfriend, I, she's close to my age. I wouldn't want to give it to her. So uh, well, my wife didn't catch it, and I just stayed in the I, between the bed my our bedroom and the front porch. is kind of where I stayed. I I'd kind of rotate. She slept on the couch in the living room. She's still sleeping on the couch to this day. Now, I get retested Tuesday. Um, they didn't want to do it too early because I could still have, um, I think, dead cells is how he kind of explained to it, and I could still test positive. Um, so I have to wait till Tuesday to find out if I'm officially cleared or not. And then the, my doctor told me I had to wait six weeks for a blood test to find out about the antibodies. He said the healthier you are, obviously the more antibodies you're going to have. And then that's, you know, I'll probably go out and donate some plasma to, to help to help other people. Yeah, that's good. Um, but as far as, you know, you and your wife, I, I don't, you know, it, it came out so strong that it was almost like by the time we figured out what was going on, it didn't really do a whole lot. Of, it wouldn't have done a whole lot of good to get her out of the house. She was, She had already been in contact with me. Yeah, I've known some people recently who have the virus. In fact, I I had kind of a, a shocking day uh, on Monday, either Sunday or Monday. I don't remember which of the two it was, but I woke up and I had three different people I knew personally that I heard about that had the virus. Uh, one of them died. This, now, the one who died wasn't a uh, friend of oh, mine. No. The, the person who died was someone I knew through Facebook, but I didn't know personally. Like I'd never met him in person. Sure. But he was only fifty. And this guy was – some of this was his fault because he was kind of one of these coronavirus deniers and just didn't believe it was a serious matter. And he acted recklessly and he, he went to bars. and So he, he caught it and then he was in denial about how bad it was or even that he had it. And by the time he took it, he finally started taking it seriously in the final few days and then he died. So um, that was – but I that was still the guy was – 50 years old so that when i see something like that knowing i'm close to 50 myself that was and i i don't believe he had any underlying conditions so there was him and then i i there's a listener to the show i've met in person and he and his wife and his kid all have it and fortunately none of them have have it that bad which uh they're only a few years younger than me so he's he's fortunate there and then i found out uh, another friend who I, I know through poker uh someone i know personally through poker uh it's a female she doesn't have it, but her husband and young child do. So I found all of this out on the same day, and and they're around my age too. And I I thought, crap, you know, like this is uh, there's so many of these. And I said, well, I'm I'm really happy I'm going through all the trouble I have been to avoid this. Uh, now, do you have any idea where you might have caught this? Like, were you indoors somewhere that uh, you think you could have gotten it? So, yeah, so. Um... Uh, the day before, um, we're not doing roll calls, so if you think of, like, TV, like the old Hill Street Blues or whatever, you know how you you kind of go and roll call, and there's, like, a, a sergeant or a supervisor standing up there um, giving off the daily brief, you know. So they, they've uh, lowered that to twice a week. And uh, the day before, I had gone to one for, for, the, and for the whole shift, for our whole shift. Um, so... That's the only time I was on Central, but I had been on dozens of calls before that draft. When the Department of Health called me, they wanted every person I've come in contact with, and I'm like, 
it's literally impossible to do that. I've, I've gone on so many calls. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's what I've people. said in general with the, with the contact tracing. It just it doesn't work. It's too hard at this point. There, there, there's no way. Yeah, they wanted to go back as far as July 6th, and I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, you could call the police department and get a printout of all the calls up, but um, but even that doesn't really. That just shows you, you know, what where the call was. I mean, sometimes you go on like a, let's say a car crash, and there's ten people come up to you all wanting to tell you that you know they saw the crash and wanting to talk to you, blah blah blah. So there's it's virtually impossible to tell where I got it. I'm fairly certain because I haven't really done a whole lot. I'm fairly certain I caught it on duty. Um, mm-hmm. There's no way to prove it or disprove it, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so because of me, because I'm the second one in my police department. We're not doing uh, roll calls anymore, which I think is a good deal because, you know, when I think back to it, all it took, all it would have taken is one, you know, cough or something in that roll call room, and I just affected, you know, every police officer on the day shift, and that just that would just cause chaos to lose. Yeah, well, and, some and guys, also you know? just the um, the air conditioner possibly that's that's moving it around. Like there, there really is starting to be more and more belief that the the air conditioner is what's doing it, and in fact, there's some belief that. That's why we're seeing spikes in some areas uh, in the summer where people are not going outdoors as much because it's so hot and they're sitting indoors in places and they're getting it. So there's a lot we don't know, but uh, I'm glad you're not uh, experiencing it that badly. Uh, I, I would have thought worse. If I if you just called up and said, uh, guess how it went, other than the fact that you have the strength to call in, uh, I, I would have guessed it was worse just based on your age. So that's... Yeah, I, I'm pretty blessed, Ruff, and I, I hope, hopefully, you know, people out there that are around our age, if they get it, they they get it as as less severe as I did. Like I said, I had two two and a half days where I was pretty knocked out, but I never once felt, you know, it's, it's hospital time or any of that kind of thing. The, the only thing I will say is, is like looking back on it, it's kind of strange when it's you that get it. You know, you're just kind of like, why is it me? Not none of my friends, no one I know, yeah. no neighbors, nothing. <laughs> it's going to be really, really tough to figure out how you caught it. I mean, you start scratching your head thinking, well, was it this house? Was it this person? But I never came in contact with anyone that had symptoms or um, that had any kind of signs of Ill- outward signs of illness. And that's the scary part of this stuff is that, you know, it's one thing if you, because we have gone, we do get calls from time to time where um, someone might say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling sickish, but I need the police for, you know, fill in the blank then you kind of prepare yourself even more, you know, you fluff off your mask up and you keep your distance as much as possible. But I never went on a call like that within the last couple of weeks to where someone's told me that they were feeling sick. Yeah. And that's the, that's the scary, that's the scary part of all this, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I'm glad I finally got to call in. It's tough. Uh, when I work, I work day shift. So, uh, I'm always catching your shift on the, or your show on the, uh, on the archives, so, but I'm glad I got to call in. Like, when I heard, when I woke up and saw that you were on and you were talking about tall people, it just, it, it floored funny. me being, <laughs> you know, 6'5. I thought, and it, of course, that could just be result bias, but it's just, uh, it made me think. It made me stop and think. Yeah, especially if it is air conditioner related. It may have been that, in that uh, roll call in, in that room. And I know there's no way to prove yeah. it or, or ever know, but uh, I, I think when this all is figured out better in the future, I think what they're starting to believe now is what's going to be known to be the case, that it mostly was transmitted that way and mostly indoors where which where there's uh, air conditioning and, and poor overall ventilation and, and a lot of people. And one other thing that was 
noticed, I don't know if this is proven yet, but it's believed that this is transmitting mostly through what are known as super spreaders, where like it's it's being said that a small percentage of people are transmitting 80% of the virus. They're, they're getting 80% of the people sick. I'm not sure what percentage. It's some small percentage of people, maybe 10, 20% are getting 80% of the people sick. And the belief is that certain people, for whatever reason, are more are able to transmit it more easily. And like the reverse of this is, there's some belief that kids don't transmit it very well to adults at all. So even if they have it themselves, they just uh, don't transmit it well. Where the super spreaders are the opposite. So that would actually explain why big gatherings of people. Uh, that you see a lot more of this than people together. Like the, the, something that people are confused about is like the situation with you and your wife. How someone can live in the same house and somehow not get it? Mm-hmm. If it's if it's this contagious, right. then how this is happening a lot. This it's it's more common that people don't get it in your same household than they do. Of course, people do get it in the same household and a lot more than if people, no one has it. But but you'd expect. It's almost certain everyone's going to get it, and yet they're finding the rates are like 30%, sometimes even less, of transmission. And everyone's kind of scratching their head about that, going, how could that possibly be? And the super spreader theory would explain that if cert- if a lot of people just don't transmit it very much. and there's the But if you get a whole lot of people together, you're going to have some super spreaders in there. So the more people there are, then the more opportunity is there for, for a super spreader to be present. So... That would explain that the the worst. That would make that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense, Drew, because you know she was sitting there taking care of me like you know any wife would, you know, giving me medicine, and she wasn't fleeing or running into the next room. Like you know, she was you know, feeding me and all that other stuff until we kind of both stepped back and said, "Oh, wait a minute, you know, we can't both get sick." And you know, if I do have this, then you know, when you've got four kids, um, all well, the oldest is a senior in high school, but you know, they're all. 15 and under, um, one's 17, the other's under 15. You, you can't, you don't want both parents getting sick, but she never caught it. So that would make sense throughout. That's, yeah, yeah. that would make some sense. But yeah. thank you for, very much for listening to me and hopefully I can call in more often. I always enjoy your show. Um, and take care. Yeah. Thank you for calling in. Have a good Thanks, day. Thanks, Jeff. Have a good one. Bye. That's Nick the cop, a real police officer listens to the show. He's texted me before. And he'd said he wanted to call in about this. That's how I knew already that he had the coronavirus. I'm glad it wasn't bad for him. I'm glad that... Uh, and, and something else I didn't get to say to him, but I'm sure he'll hear, that since he didn't have breathing problems and did not have that bad of, of a version of this, the, the chance of him having permanent damage from this is lower. It's not zero, unfortunately, but it is lower. The The chance seems to be much higher of having the permanent damage if you had a br- bad version of it, especially if you if you experience any kind of breathing problems during having the coronavirus, then it's a very high chance, unfortunately, that you got permanent lung damage. So since he didn't have that, there's a decent chance that he's going to walk away from this okay, and I hope he does. But he, he definitely <laughs> add him to the pile of uh, tall people getting sick from this. Now, again, just to clarify, the theory is not that the symptoms are worse if you're tall. It's the theory is that you get it more often. I'm staying the hell out of uh, ventilated rooms or not vent- uh, indoor places, especially with air conditioning. I'm just going to keep away from indoors for the most part.
All right. Uh, I want to go over some misinformation about COVID-19 being spread by both sides because I'm, I'm getting tired of this. I'm, I am so tired of the crap I see on Facebook, on Twitter, on forums, on Reddit. I see so much crap about the coronavirus. I, I hear it being said by people. And I got tired of correcting people. I used to correct people. I used to say no, and then I'd explain why they're wrong, and then they'd get in a big argument with me, and it just got tiresome. And I go, what am I accomplishing here? So I've mainly stopped it. I mainly just let people spout off their stupidity, and I don't respond. But here's here's something interesting. I'm seeing a lot of misinformation on both sides of the political aisle, and most of the misinformation is coming from people who are doing it from a political standpoint, even if they don't think they are. You have people on the left that are spreading information that goes along with their political point of view or to make Trump look bad, but they think they're telling the truth. They don't think they're lying. They just are are spreading either information spoon-fed to them or that they saw on social media, anything that makes them feel better about their point of view. And then people on the right are doing this too. And yet it's different, it's different misinformation. Like the, there's not common misinformation from both sides. It's, it's totally different, sometimes opposite. And yet there's some things that are very wrong. And we have people listen to this show from all political persuasions. We have people far on the left. We have people moderate on the left. We have people in the center. We have people moderate right. We have people far right. We do. And I do like that. I do like that I'm not driving away those on the left because they don't agree with me politically. I respect those who want to still listen to me, even though I think opposite or mostly opposite politically than they do. Even though this isn't a political show, that probably makes it easier for them. But still, there there are some who who have quit the show, quit listening because they know that I'm on the right. But I will say that the right, I've seen a lot of frustrating misinformation from them too. And I've tried to fight back about that. And I, I also get uh, some nasty thing said to me and I have some friends who are on the left who have complained that when they disagree with some of the assessments that are popular on their side of the aisle if they disagree and say no look that's not really true that people start accusing them of, of being closet Trump supporters and and uh, that they're just uh, Democrats in name only and uh, like they they their their left wing credentials are questioned because they don't go along with some of the misinformation they're seeing from their own side and I go yeah I can relate to that because I I've had that happen to me on the right so it's it's easy for me on the right to say ha 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 look how stupid the left is being about this and list all these points but then on my own side it's a little less comfortable to tell people I usually agree with no you're wrong about this but so I mean I'm gonna be honest here about I don't have all the answers about the coronavirus. Nobody does. And that's something else to consider. That's something else to know. Okay? Nobody has all the answers on this. A lot of things we believe today may end up being wrong. A lot of things we believed in February and March have turned out to be wrong or probably wrong. And that's just the learning process that comes with a new virus that's very different from anything we've ever dealt with. So... Anyone who claims with 100% certainty that they know that such and such is true is full of crap. And just any, any of that certainty that's projected without a qualification of, well, this is probably it, but I'm not sure, or this is my belief, or this is my theory. If they just say, this is true, 100% it's proven, then they're full of crap. 
because most of these things have not been proven. Even things like wearing a mask, uh, it, it's really not known how effective that is. It could end. Up, it could turn. It could turn out it's very effective in preventing the transmission. It could turn out that it, it was a very marginal marginal effectiveness. We we don't know. It probably is helping somewhat, but we don't know how much. That's the honest truth. But anyway, let me. I'm going to list you, and I'm not going to talk about any one of these for a very long time because otherwise I'll be doing this for 10 hours because there's a lot of points I'm going to get to. So I'm going to go by it pretty fast, each point. But I'm going to list all the things that the left is putting out that I can remember that are incorrect. And I'm going to quickly debunk each of them. And then I'm going to tell you some incorrect things the right is putting out that is incorrect. So let's start with the left. Number one, it's Trump's fault. How many times have have you heard that? This is Trump's fault. And you will see these montages of Trump saying stupid things about the coronavirus or downplaying its seriousness or predicting something about the way it's going to go, which turned out not to be true. He'll tell you it's good to – he'll say, oh, we'll be down to about zero cases by June. And, of course, that wasn't true, wasn't close to true. So he said a lot of things which either were uh, from lack of information he just – spouted off or he just said stupid things or he made predictions which weren't likely to come true and did not. So you can put together a big timeline of stupid things he said, stupid predictions he's made related to the coronavirus and without thinking very much, say, up, oh, look what a terrible job he did. This is his fault. America is getting clobbered because Trump is so awful. America is the worst in the world with the coronavirus. It's all Trump's fault. If we had a Democrat in charge, this wouldn't be happening. If we even had a more responsible Republican in charge, this wouldn't be happening. It's all Trump's fault. And if you need proof, look at all these dumb things he said over the last six months. There's a problem with that, though. These are things he's said. What has he done that has caused the coronavirus to be as bad as it has been in the U.S.? And that's a lot harder to answer. Back in February and March, people said, oh, well, he wasn't uh, trying hard enough to get ventilators manufactured fast enough and we may run out. Well, not only didn't we run out, it turned out ventilators weren't that useful for people with the coronavirus. That's one thing we learned over time. So that ended up not mattering. We also didn't run out. Uh, he, He wasn't doing enough to make sure there were enough hospital beds and people are going to not be able to be treated and die in their homes because they can't get a room in the hospital. That did not happen. There's been reports, oh, such and such hospitals getting close to capacity, but we still have not had a situation where we don't have enough hospital beds for everybody. It has not happened yet, even one day in the U.S. Everyone who's needed a hospital bed has gotten one. So it was true he was a bit slow to get everything going with that, but it ended up not mattering. It ended up being fine by the time we got going with it. We had enough hospital beds, and in fact, the extra beds and extra facilities that they quickly erected, it turned out to not be necessary. But they can always be put back up, put back online uh, if needed. So none of that mattered. All the stupid things he said didn't matter. So it turned out that Trump didn't really cause this. Now you may say, well, what about inaction? 
Maybe he didn't do anything that caused it to get worse, but inaction. Maybe things he didn't do caused it to get worse. Well, what? Well, he didn't do testing enough. What? Testing doesn't matter for that. Testing basically tells you, just to satisfy your own curiosity, do you have it? And it it also allows the government to figure out how many cases there are. It's, It's something used for statistical purposes. It's something to get visibility into what's going on. But it does not prevent the spread of the coronavirus. It does not. You go get tested when you're feeling you have symptoms. And if you feel you have symptoms, the advice is the same as whether you get a test or no test. It's it just stay away from people. In fact, there's a lot of false negatives with these tests. So they say just because it's negative doesn't mean you don't have it. So if you have symptoms that resemble the coronavirus, test or no test, positive or negative, stay away from everybody. That's the advice either way. So the tests don't matter. They didn't, the, the lack of tests at the beginning, which, by the way, we have plenty of tests now. And you just heard from Nick the cop. He got tested easily. But even at the beginning... The lack of testing wasn't the problem. What about lack of contact tracing? No, we've talked about that before. It's impossible, except at the very, 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 very beginning. And I mean very beginning. I don't mean a few weeks into it. I mean just like the first few patients they catch with this, they could put tremendous resources into each of the people who were uh, found with it to track down every single place they've been, every single person they've come in contact with. That would, When I say tremendous resources, I mean to where they'd have to put a lot of time, effort, and a lot of people on each case to track all this down to where once it's more than a few people, you, there just aren't enough people uh, working to do it. You can hire extra people. You still won't be able to. It's just a, There's so much to be done in tracking down everyone's movements that, especially over the last uh, like uh, two weeks, you, as Nick the cop there said, it, it's just too hard. So you'd have to put in tremendous resources to do it. And so beyond the first few cases, it's useless. So, no, contact, lack of contact tracing didn't matter. So um, these it wasn't Trump's fault. It really wasn't. He said a lot of dumb things. What about the masking? You know, he, he wasn't pushing the mask wearing enough, and he wasn't pushing back against people on the right who were saying they didn't want to wear masks. Well, that might have helped, but that didn't cause the spread of the virus. That just... Uh, it might have gotten a little worse, but the truth is that Trump wasn't influencing people not to wear masks. Trump was just appeasing those who already weren't going to wear the masks. He, so basically, there are people who just weren't going to wear a mask no matter what, no matter whether he said do it or don't. So Trump thought, okay, I can either piss these people off and tell them to wear a mask and they won't anyway, or uh, I, I can kind of stay quiet and, and keep them happy. And I feel either way, they're not going to wear the mask, and everybody else is going to wear it anyway, regardless of what I do, especially people who hate me. They're not going to follow my, my lead. So screw it. No, I might as well say nothing. I'm not saying that's right. He shouldn't care about what his base thinks about masks. He should just set a good example. And if he thinks it's safe for people to wear masks, just do it and wear them, wear it himself and set a good example. He should. But that did not cause people either. There weren't many people who said, oh, look, Trump isn't wearing a mask very much. Trump isn't talking about masks very much. This is his fault. And keep in mind, he never said don't wear a mask. He never said, uh, I mean, at the very beginning when they were lying about the mask, yes, but that was a different story. That was, uh, uh, and I've criticized that before. But that was not uh, Trump's decision. That was a, a health, de- in fact, you see the left pushing about how Fauci is, is so, 
he's the one you should listen to. Uh, he, he said this. He said not to wear the mask at the beginning. So that wasn't even Trump's, that wasn't Trump's thing. He kind of went along with it, but this wasn't his thing. It was a stupid idea to lie to everyone and so the healthcare workers could get their N95 masks. But, uh, Trump hasn't told people don't wear masks. It's not like he's going against the left who's saying, hey, wear masks, and Trump's saying, no, don't wear a mask. No, doesn't help. Doesn't help. He's not doing that. So, it's not all Trump's fault. It's not even close to Trump's fault. We would have the same problem if Obama was still president. We'd have the same problem if Hillary had won. We'd be roughly in the same place, to be honest. Next. Next misinformation by the left. And if, you, if I'm wrong, tell me what Trump did that actually caused this to get worse. Tell me. I've asked this before, and people on the left have a real hard time answering. Oh, look what he said. No, no, forget what he said. What did he do to make it significantly get worse in this country? They can't answer. Okay, next one. I touched on this a few minutes ago, but I'll say it again. Contact tracing is important, says the left. We're not doing enough of it. That's not true. You can't. You can try to personally contact trace. You can go, hmm, well, I have a coronavirus. Let me figure out where I probably got it from and also figure out who I've been in contact with so I can warn them that they may have it too and they may want to get tested. That's a responsible thing to do. That's what I would do if I thought I had the coronavirus. But that's not going to stop the mass spread. That would just help some people that you know you came in contact with. But... The time to contact trace is at the very beginning, as I said. We didn't, uh, by the time we thought of doing it, it was too late. It was, uh, the time to do that is the very, 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 very beginning. And the reason we didn't is because this wasn't believed to be as serious. This wasn't believed to be as dangerous as it turned out to be. And by the time we realized how dangerous it was, it, uh, there were already too many cases to contact trace. So, uh, you might as well give up with that. It's, it's, it's one of these feel-good things. You know, guys, how, you guys know how I feel about the feel-good things, where you, you do something because you feel it's helping. You feel it's, it, it, it makes you uh, – it, it has the feeling like you're doing something productive and useful and helping the world. And it doesn't matter if you're actually accomplishing anything. It's exactly what contact tracing is at this point in the U.S. You can feel like you're helping, but you're not. You may be helping a few individual people, but you're, you're doing nothing to stop the mass spread of this. So contact tracing at this point uh, on a mass scale is useless. The left also says certain governors opened reopened too early, like uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida getting a lot of criticism for this. Oh, they have blood on their hands. They reopened too early. Look at those numbers in Florida. Look at the numbers in Arizona. Look at the numbers in Texas. These stupid Republican governors reopening so early when it was dangerous. All these people died. Well, what about California? California never reopened that much. How does California have such bad numbers? And how come certain areas that already had it so badly, like New York, how come they're not getting very bad numbers at all right now? The truth is that it seems like everywhere needs to get it badly once. It needs to really smack the population hard in every area. And then once it's run through, perhaps uh, past the super spreaders, maybe the super spreaders are a big factor in that. Once the, there aren't enough of them anymore, it can't spread much. 
So it has to run through like that, and until that happens, then it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So New York got theirs in April and in May and in late March, and uh, other areas of the country getting it right now. And that's it. That That's what's going on. I can't be sure, but that's really what it looks like is going on. If you look at the patterns, that really looks like what's happening. So... Let's go back to the decision to reopen. The only way to avoid this from happening is to just not reopen. And you say, okay, well, let's just not reopen. Well, great, but what happens to the economy? If we really were going to have a vaccine ready to distribute to everybody on October 1st, I'd say, okay, let's just wait this out another two months. We'll be fine. We'll, be fine. we'll deal with it. But who knows when that's going to be? They're trying to make it for the end of the year or January, but who knows? We don't even know if these vaccines I talked to you about before are going to be successful. We don't know. So we can't just shut down for months and months and months and months in the hopes that the vaccine will, will clear the whole problem. What if they don't work? Then what do we do? The longer we stay shut down, the worse the economy gets. And that's a big problem. And that can be a worse problem than COVID. We can't just say, oh, who cares the economy? Okay, let these let these greedy fucks uh, lose a little bit of money. It's not like that. You hear anything about money and it's like a bad connotation. Oh, money over people's lives. No, money also means people's lives. And there's a lot of consequences to a shutdown, an extended shutdown, that would cause tremendous economic consequences. There's tremendous suffering and death and despair from hyperinflation or from depressions. I'm talking about economic depressions, but also uh, also clinical depression, which people are getting when they're cooped up at home. These are all real factors that have to be considered. You can't just look at the COVID deaths. You have to look at everything. And you do not want to bring on an economic depression. You especially don't want to bring on hyperinflation. That is a tremendous mistake. And we must not do that. We must not be so short-sighted and say, let's just save some lives now from COVID and who cares what happens later with the economy? You can't say that because that could end up causing a much worse problem than we have right now. So it's a balancing act. And since it appears that everywhere has to get it badly once, at least until there's a vaccine that works, if there is one, then it's not a matter of when you should reopen that's safe because whenever you do, it's going to happen. So yeah, sure, if Florida stayed shut down, a lot of people would still be alive that died from COVID, and they wouldn't have all these new cases. Same with Texas, same with Arizona, even somewhat same with California, but they never reopened that much. So that that also shows you it's not just about reopening, but reopening definitely has a lot to do with it, and probably some smarter decisions could have been made with a reopening with not reopening certain places that uh, are more likely to spread it. But it's kind of just being figured out the whole thing about the indoors and the air conditioning. And it's still not certain, but they're just kind of coming to this conclusion. They're starting to get further and further away from believing it spreads on surfaces and and getting more and more believing that it's it's indoors from air conditioners or or heaters or anything that spreads around the air indoors. So... uh, You can't blame these governors. The most you can blame them for is maybe reopening certain things like bars that were inherently unsafe in a situation like this and don't have to be open. So they probably could have done some things better. 
I'm not going to say they were perfect, but to say they should not have reopened or they were just valuing money over people's lives is inaccurate, and the left saying that is not fair. Now, speaking of governors, the left has made heroes out of Governor Cuomo and Governor Whitmer. Cuomo, of course, is of New York. Whitmer is of Michigan, especially Cuomo. Uh, Whitmer, too. But they've been seen as heroes. Whitmer, because she was obsessed with with uh, keeping things shut down, even though she was a hypocrite in, in some ways. And Cuomo, because he would get on TV every day and bash Trump in his like angry Italian demeanor, the angry, straightforward Italian New Yorker demeanor, the, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you straight. I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to I'm just going to give you the straight talk. And that includes bashing Trump because it's all his fault. And Governor Cuomo got very popular doing that. Because people who didn't like Trump love to hear that. And even people who didn't hate Trump just said, hey, this is a straight talking, earnest guy. And I, I he's, he's not BSing me and he's telling it like it is. And we need more politicians like that. That's what people think watching Governor Cuomo. But you know what? They didn't do a great job. I urge you to go Google Andrew Cuomo nursing home. Do that. And then Google Gretchen Whitmer nursing home. And you will read very credible articles about how they really screwed up the nursing home situation and actually caused a lot of deaths of old people. They did. Because each of them mandated, not just said it was okay, but mandated that nursing homes take COVID-positive residents, that they could not turn people away for being COVID-positive. Anybody who wanted to go to the nursing home who was COVID-positive and knew they were COVID-positive, the nursing home, by law, could not turn them away, thanks to Andrew Cuomo and Gretchen Whitmer. It's true. Look it up. Now, you might wonder, why did they do that? Were they evil? No, they were just stupid. This was at a time when there was this fear about hospital beds. Remember, that something that never came true. We never ran out of hospital beds. But there was this fear. Oh, my God, what if we ran out of hospital beds? And they said, hey, wait a minute. You know what? We can clear a lot of hospital beds. Nursing homes, a lot of them are not at full capacity. So how about in New York, they said, well, okay, if the nursing home is like less than 80% capacity, let's discharge COVID patients who are no longer really in danger, still infectious, but no longer in danger. Let's discharge them and just put them in the nursing homes. Now we freed up a bed in the hospital for people who need it. So that's what Cuomo went for. Cuomo didn't want the hospitals being full and figured they can just move those people who weren't uh, in really bad shape and were getting over it, just move them into the nursing home and just separate everybody. Just, just kind of, you know, just guys take them and just separate them, he told them. Well, guess what happened? Guess what happened? It, it turns out, maybe because of the air conditioner or the heater or whatever's running at that time, that despite the attempts to separate them, People got sick. And guess what? The staff got sick. And then the staff spread it to the other residents. And a lot of people in these nursing homes died. In fact, a high percentage of COVID deaths have been nursing home patients. And that's kind of been covered up too. How many nursing home patients have been dying? You just read about deaths. You don't see the stats about the age and whether they were in a nursing home or not. But a lot of them are very old people in nursing homes. And it's not hard to believe how that can happen, especially with the new theory that it spreads around indoors through air conditioners or heaters. So 
think about really vulnerable old people indoors all day where air conditioners and heaters run. Hmm. What do you think will happen? So can you imagine putting COVID positive people, knowingly putting COVID positive positive people and not just not only allowing it, but actually requiring it? And Whitmer did even worse. She required that these nursing homes take people who aren't even old into nursing homes. So not only did you have people coming in who, who are COVID positive, but you had some people put there who were dangerous to the old people, like this one 20-year-old who was mentally ill, who they mandated had to be put into a nursing home, and he was caught on video beating elderly patients for fun. Just beating them for fun. Now, I know that was a one-off situation, but that was thanks to Gretchen Whitmer. He shouldn't have been there. He was a COVID-positive 20-year-old who was healthy. Nothing wrong with him. He was just COVID-positive, and, and, and it was mandated he get put there. Go look it up. Google it. I'm not. You won't find crazy right-wing sites. You, you'll find right-wing sites, of course, talking about this because it's criticizing two Democratic governors. But you will find plenty of credible news organizations covering this, especially ones in those local areas that are outraged. And yet these two governors are getting a lot of credit for what a great job they did. Go look it up if you don't believe me. So maybe ask yourself, why isn't the mainstream media con- uh, covering this? Why are these two governors getting so much credit when they did this? And you'll start to see the bias. You'll start to see a lot of misinformation is coming from the left. Next, the U.S. handled this worse than other countries. We are the worst in the world. And a quick look at the stats, without examining them too closely, will validate that. It'll make it look like that's correct. After all, the U.S. has had 156,000 deaths so far from the coronavirus. Brazil had 92,000. But then you go down from there and... Everywhere else is half of that or less. The UK is number three, but they had 46,000 deaths. Mexico's number four, also 46,000 deaths. India, 36,000 deaths in fifth. So look at the US with 156,000, just dwarfing everyone else, even Brazil. How could you not say that the US did the worst? Wait a minute, folks. We have a big population, don't we? And some of these countries don't. Like... Let's see here. The UK, they only have 68 million people, and we have 330. Hmm. Well, that's a big difference, isn't it? We've got five times the people the UK does. So what if you multiply the UK's numbers by five? Wait a minute. That's worse than us. Wait a minute. The UK has 679 people that have died per million, and the US, 473. Huh. How about Italy? 581 deaths per million. U.S. 473. How about Spain? 608 per million. The U.S. 473. How about Peru? 582 per million. Now, it is true the U.S. is worse than other countries. But there are countries worse than the U.S. But let's look at the bad ones uh, with deaths per million of any country with any kind of decent-sized population. Like San Marino is the top, but that's tiny, so forget them. But Belgium... Was the worst with 849 deaths per million. Then UK, 679. Then Spain, 608. Peru, 582. Italy, 581. Sweden, 568. Chile, 494. Then the US at 473, which is an eighth of these countries. Then France, 464, very close to the US. Then we have Brandon calling in. We'll throw him on here. Hello, Brandon. I see you couldn't sleep. 
Yeah. Um, no, I did. I, I just woke up a little a little bit ago. That's not, a very, that's not a very long sleep. I can't believe you're still here. I, you're an animal. Well, I, I did quit in the middle today to handle something with Benjamin, but I am back. Oh, there was a break? There was a break, there yeah. A, yeah. How was, long? Eh, maybe an hour, hour and a half. That's hilarious. And yeah. now I'm back, too. I, no, I, I just – it's one of the things when you get older, buddy. I, I, I don't think you have this problem, fortunately. But when you get older, you can't sleep sometimes. I never had problems like this when I was younger. I, I had horrendous problems with this when I had this high anxiety times in uh, two years ago. But yeah. then it, it, it went away, thankfully. So, uh, so how's yeah. our show going? Where, where are we at? I'm just I'm just going on about different myths from each side from the coronavirus. I'm going through the left myths. So I was listening through a bunch of countries that are worse with deaths mm-hmm. per million or approximately even – of the U.S. Like France is very similar to the U.S. of deaths per million for the coronavirus. Bottom line is, like, what do all these co- countries have in common? Answer, nothing. Uh, they, they've handled the coronavirus differently in all these different countries. They all have their own strategies. All diff- the politics of, of what, which, uh, whether it's the left in charge, the right in charge, it, it's all over the place with these countries. So what does this show you? It shows you that it doesn't matter. It shows you that this has nothing to do with it and that this isn't Trump's fault. So that's uh, – so that's and the U.S. hasn't handled this worse. Look, look at all these European countries – that I named you, uh, that are either about equivalent to the U.S. or worse. Uh, France, U.K., Spain, Italy, Belgium. I mean, come on. These are, these are the same as the U.S. or worse in deaths per million, and, and yet the U.S. supposedly did it the worst. So that's, it's, it's BS. The numbers will tell you. Okay, next. There is belief from the left, and they're putting it out there, that mm. the mass social justice protests were not reckless or dangerous when it comes to COVID. Had nothing to do with the spreading, they say. False. I talked about that in a previous show. I'm not going to go into it a long time again, but that's just false. And and even the studies that have claimed this are extremely flawed and are based on false premises, and they omit very important points that would go against them. And they uh, and the people doing these studies are ones who are highly biased and are looking for that conclusion to start with. It's uh, so that's just simply not true. And go listen to the previous episodes where I talked about that, that the mass social protests, except in New York where it already ran through the population big time, the mass social protests definitely had an impact, especially in California. In, in L.A., that definitely had a, uh, a big impact. So if you, if you think it didn't, you're kidding yourself. Well, look at, look at, look at Herman Cain. It's it's everyone's pretty much accepted he got it at that Trump rally. Yeah, well, that's well, that's the other thing they're saying that that, that wasn't even on my list, but uh, there's somehow they say that uh, any right wing rally will get you sick with COVID and it's terrible, and if it's a left wing rally for George Floyd, then it's safe. It's, it's yeah, but for, tell me, how can someone that age and that risk group just a month ago have gone to a rally and not even worn a mask? That's insane, isn't it? Well, I'm going to get to that because uh, I'm being fair mm-hmm. here. I'm being fair and balanced, and mm-hmm. uh, you I'm, are. I'm almost done with this left wing. The the misinformation from the left and then i'm going to give you the misinformation from the right and that has to do with the mask wow yeah so some may say some may say i I might have just woken up in time huh yeah just to hear this all right so okay so so uh i I won't go much further into the social justice protest you can go to the previous episodes to find that okay another myth from the left misinformation they're putting out that everything should stay mostly closed until there's a vaccine well, I, I guess I already talked about that. It's 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 not realistic. It's too many months. It'll destroy the economy. You can't. It, you just can't do it. And it's just delaying the inevitable because uh, as long as there isn't a, an effective vaccine, whenever you reopen, you're going to get mass infections wherever it hasn't happened yet. 
So that's uh, that's stupid to say. Finally, and you're going to hear this this topic. I'm going to also talk about from the right something inaccurate they're putting out. But from the left, the war on hydroxychloroquine. They say that hydroxychloroquine is useless, and Trump has killed people by promoting it. Well, first of all, Trump can't pr- prescribe this to anybody, nor can you just go to the corner drugstore and buy it. It has to be prescribed to you by a doctor. So it doesn't matter what Trump says, first of all. But 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 second, uh, it has not been proven useless. In fact, even CNN reluctantly put an article out uh, about two weeks ago about a study, that, the, the credible-looking one, that said it actually does help. Then I've seen other studies that also look credible that say it does not. So what does this mean? It means that like a lot of these things with the coronavirus, it's hard to tell. And we need more data and we need more time to figure out whether it is effective or not. I'm on the fence. I think it might be useful. I think also it might be useless. I think it also might or might not have very bad side effects that can kill you that to where it's not worth trying. Uh, I, I'm kind of all over the place on this one. And that's where you should be because there's too many conflicting studies about it. But the left, not only are they strongly believing it's useless, but they are rooting for it to fail. Because I, I really believe there's many on the left who are disappointed whenever there's good news about the hydroxychloroquine because they don't want Trump to be proven right. They, they don't want him to look like that he wasn't a fool. So they, if they hear something good, oh, guess what? It saved lives. Oh, damn it. It saved lives. Oh, that sucks. Oh. They say, that's really the reaction. They don't think, oh, great, that maybe we, maybe it actually works. Maybe this is a good treatment. They go, oh, wait, shit. We don't want Trump to be right. Shit, I, I hope that study is, is crap. I hope it's not credible. Like the, I'm telling you that's the way some of them react. And when they see a study about how bad it is and how some people have died from it, uh, there's so much glee. They're so happy. I've never seen a medication politicized like this one. It's crazy how much politicization there is of a of this medication. It's crazy. The way this should be approached is very simple. If it works, great. Then we have something that works. If it partially works, okay, still pretty good because we have something that's partially effective. If it does not work, okay, it was worth a shot. Guess it didn't work out. That should be the entire the, the entire attitude you have. You should not care whether Trump likes it or dislikes it. I, I do not worry about what Trump thinks of medications before I take them. When a medication is prescribed to me or recommended to me or suggested to me, I don't go, hmm, now what does Donald Trump think of this? I, I I wouldn't care what he thinks. I wouldn't care what Barack Obama thinks. I wouldn't care if the politician I hate the most loves the medication that is about to be prescribed to me. If I think it's good, I will take it. If I think it's not, I won't take it. That's that's all it is. And What about if, if Clayton Kershaw thinks? Just as long as it's not as long as it's not in the postseason, I'd believe him. All right, there you go. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so so that's but anyhow, that's absolutely insane that there are people that would really take a medicine based on an endorsement, like from a president either way. Like it's just insane to think about. It, it is, and and not only that, that people just ignore the fact that the president he can't prescribe anything, nor can people prescribe it to themselves who like it. So you you can you can say, oh, Trump likes this, I want to take it. You're not going to get it prescribed to you for that reason. You, you're going to be prescribed to you from a doctor who believes that it helps. Now, maybe the doctor's wrong, but uh, you can't you can't take it anyways on your own. Nor can Trump give it to you. So I don't know what the concern is anyway. It's such a stupid thing. It's just it's just one of these things. With the left is anything that Trump likes, they hate. Anything he hates, they like. And it's a it's it's kind of a sickness. And that's uh, it's so politicized that medication, and it's so stupid. 
when I read coronavirus news and I read about medications, I'm just hoping to read that something's either working or promising. I just want to see good news about it. I want people's lives to be saved. I want perhaps my life to be saved if I get it or my parents' lives to be saved if they get it. I, I do not care which politician supports it, and you shouldn't either. Okay, so that's, that's the end of, of the left bashing. Now it's, now it's time for some right bashing. For, uh, you don't hear that from me very often, but I'm going to do it because the, there's people on the right who have been annoying me with some things that they've been saying about the coronavirus. And I, If you're on the right, please listen to me because uh, you guys know that I'm not some leftist trying to do this to bash Trump. I'm trying to tell you that this is the way it probably is. I say probably because nobody has all the answers, but I think that a lot of these things that the right is putting out is incorrect. So let me start off. Many on the right think that the virus's seriousness is exaggerated and it's pretty much just the flu. It's not actually the flu, but it's something similar in severity to the flu and it's being politicized to make Trump lose in 2020. Now, the, the last part is true. It is being politicized to make Trump lose in 2020 and it's it's working, by the way. But But that is true, but this is also very serious. This is not the flu. It's not being exaggerated in its seriousness. Trump's level of culpability in this is very much exaggerated, but the virus's seriousness is not exaggerated. And I, as I mentioned, when Nick the Cop called in, I knew someone through Facebook, as I said, not a a friend, but someone I got along with and someone I knew, not someone in poker, by the way. But he was 50 years old, just turned 50, and died. Died on Monday from the coronavirus. And this was a guy who believed it was not serious, it's just another flu. Uh, he took no precautions. He went to bars. He acted recklessly. Even when he had it, he was in denial. In fact, he made a post on his Facebook page five days before he died saying that it's it's not even as serious as the flu, that he, he's, he's hardly feeling anything. He was in total denial, and his, his daughter, his own daughter, who's only 17 years old and has to deal with this, it's a pretty sad story, actually. The daughter's 17, and her dad just died, and her mom has been in jail for 10 years. So she has no, basically no parents. I don't know what her mom's in jail for, but she obviously must be pretty serious for to be there since uh, 10 years ago. So uh, mm. that girl's been through a lot, and I feel bad for her. And But uh, she was saying that her dad was stupid with this whole thing, wasn't taking it seriously, and now he's dead. So uh, there were, there's many on the right who unfortunately like that. They, and why? Because they're kind of politicizing it. They're, they're feeling that they're emotionally invested in denying the seriousness of this because they want to believe that this is something exaggerated just to bash Trump and just to make the right look bad and and then some other crazy conspiracy theories. And so they've got to – if they go along with that this is very serious, then they feel like they're agreeing with the left and they feel like that they're allowing Trump to be hurt. So they don't want to – they don't want to even consider this being a possibility. But it's the truth. And two things can be true at once. You can have it to where this is very serious, and you can have it to where the left is politicizing it and and blaming Trump for things he does not deserve related to the seriousness of the situation. So uh, that's – it's very important for people on the right to know this is very serious. It's not exaggerated. It's not a flu. It's much worse than this, and you should take it seriously. And any attempt to get you to take it seriously – is not the mainstream media controlling you or or this isn't a hoax. This isn't something just to hurt Trump. Just believe it. It's real. 
it's real and it's serious and it's something that you should take seriously or you will end up like the guy I knew from Facebook who was currently in the ground who, at 50 years old, who was, as far as I know, healthy before all this. Okay, next one. This is Let's go back to hydroxychloroquine, but on the other side of it. Some of the right believe that hydroxychloroquine is the answer and that big pharma and the government are suppressing this information because uh, they want certain companies that, that are more favorable to these politicians to get the contract for, uh, for useless vaccines and useless treatments when we have the answer right here and it's being suppressed. There was a video that was put out by some doctor that I believe is a quack, and there's some evidence that she's a quack, that she was claiming what a great thing hydroxychloroquine is and everyone she's treated has gotten better. It's all BS. That, that, that video is BS. I mean, she really put it out. It's a real video. It's not BS in that way. But the, the stuff she was saying is not true. It's not credible. She's not credible. She said crazy things in the past. Now, hydroxychloroquine could be useful, and especially maybe they'll learn in the coming months how best to use it, and maybe it will be something that can be good to allow people to recover faster from the coronavirus. I don't think it's going to be uh, a cure-all treatment to where it's, it's the breakthrough. It may be something that has some usefulness. It may be something that has a lot of usefulness. Maybe it'll be a combined with something else to, to really uh, slow down the coronavirus and stop it in its tracks. Maybe that does have a future. It should not be dismissed. And anyone on the left is saying it's useless, it's harmful, it kills people, it's, it's bad, it's, it's something dumb Trump has been pushing, you're just a Fox News idiot. Like if, if you get told that, then you're being... Uh, told something stupid by partisans on the left. However, you are being stupid if you think it's the answer, because we don't know. We just don't know. And you have to admit we don't know. You can tell the people on the left that they're fools for saying that it's useless, because they don't know either. You both don't know. So anyone who makes a comment like that, that uh, they know what hydroxychloroquine is good for and not good for, or whether it works or does not work, you do not know. There are studies on each side that say something different. And when I say each side, I mean not biased studies, but studies that are from credible organizations that uh, say opposite things. So we don't know. It's still being looked at. It's too politicized on both sides, and you shouldn't fall prey to any of that. Next, there are some that believe the vaccines that are being developed are part of an evil plot by Bill Gates and that it shouldn't be taken even once it becomes available. That you, I've seen people on my Facebook say, I will not take a vaccine no matter what. You're not going to fool me, Bill Gates. I'm, and they're not joking. Like They're serious. They're, when a vaccine comes out, they're just not going to take it. They, and they're, they're gearing up for a fight with the government if they try to mandate they take it. And this is going to be a big problem, by the way. This is going to be something that they're going to have to Can they actually do that? Well, th- we don't know. That, that's, uh, that hasn't been done before, but we'll see. But it's, uh, these, we'll see what... But what would even be the law that they would cite that would be able to mandate people have to take it? They can claim for public health reasons, the same reason they can force people to quarantine. They could use it along those lines. I, I oh, Jesus. So, yeah, I, it's going to be... Imagine the, can you imagine the protesting and rioting that would occur if that happened? Well, that's, oh, why I was, right, that's what I was discussing earlier in the show. There was a vac- There are two different vaccines that are being developed uh, among this, the many 
that uh, are considered promising, and, and two of them have to do with injecting you with kind of a version of the common cold that's that's made to be similar like the coronavirus. So basically you give your body a cold and it thinks it's fighting the coronavirus and then it learns how to fight the coronavirus. It's kind of an interesting, interesting concept. But can you imagine the objection we'll get from these type of people to inject them with a vaccine that's actually going to get them sick? Can you imagine? Like it's bad enough to inject them with a vaccine that's not going to have many side effects. Can you imagine, hey, we're going to give you this vaccine and you're going to get sick, but it's, it's good for you? Like there's no way they're going to take it. I, I'm afraid there's going to be a tremendous resistance to a vaccine like that, even though I would take it, and I think it's the right thing to do if it, if it really works, right. that there's going to be tremendous resistance to something like that. So, And I'm saying that's the biggest weakness with that. Is it's gonna, you're going to have a hard time getting uh, mass cooperation with this. Uh, so that's, uh, so it's, it's not an evil plot by Bill Gates. There, Bill Gates, uh, I don't agree with some things he says, but, but he's trying to help. He, he means well with this. The, the, he's not trying to come from a place of evil here. Uh, he, he wants uh, he, he's warned about pandemics for years and no he didn't do that in preparation to inject you with his evil vaccine it's a stupid conspiracy theory when a vaccine comes once it is well tested and proven to be safe you should take it and and i'm going to take it and and you shouldn't be afraid of it and it's not a, there's not uh, an evil government plot to inject you with something to control you i i've seen such stupid things and yet a lot of people on the right believe it and it it really makes me cringe when I read some of these things from people who are otherwise intelligent. A caller, you're on the air. Hey, what's going on, Druff? Brandon, I can't believe you're on right now. <laughs> who, who is this? Oh, I'm sorry. My name's Pete Pac-Man. I've, I've called in before. Uh, you oh, yeah, I know. On I, the show yeah, I know you. That hiatus. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've oh, seen, okay. I, I've seen yeah. you. On Twitter. I'm sorry. One more, one more time. What was your name, sir? Uh, Pete Pac-Man. Yeah, I've seen, okay, I've nice seen, I've seen Pac, P. Pac-Man on Twitter. Yeah, so uh, nice to meet you. So what's going on? Nice to meet you. I used to. I, I even listened when you had your uh, when you tried to do your own podcast for a while there too, Brandon. Okay, cool. I'm really glad Thank you're you. back. I think you're uh, great for the show. Appreciate it very much. So, Thank you. Yeah. So anyway, the only thing I want to say, you got to also understand something about these vaccines, Druff, that I feel like people are feeling that they're rushed. Like, everybody's rushing for these vaccines, right? Yeah. Same thing kind of happened in Desert Storm, okay? Everybody was scared of anthrax, okay? So they rushed the pill, they gave it to the troops, and now you still have people that were in Desert Storm that have medical problems due to that pill. Yeah, well, that's... So, like, I think I think people ain't scared of vaccines as much as they're scared that these guys are just trying to rush something out, put a rubber stamp on it, then get injected with it, and then oh shit, it causes Parkinson's. I mean, like I'm making an example. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, whatever, I understand, but... and, and that's and that's a reasonable concern, and that, that's uh, uh, and that's like if someone said, "Would you like to volunteer for one of the studies to inject you with a vaccine?" I would say uh, no. <laughs> like I wouldn't be volunteering for that, yeah, for, that exactly. for that reason. So I, I understand that concern, and and yes, it's being rushed. And yeah, they've never had one faster than four years, so this is an incredible rush. But uh, unlike the thing with the with the anthrax, there's a lot more resources being put into this. A tremendous amount of resources are being put into this, and and study being put into this like nothing before. So uh, since there is this amount of effort, that could make up for the fact that it's rushed. Though I, I can understand some fear of it, uh, but I think that. Uh, Everybody has to make their own decision. If you make your own decision from an intelligence standpoint of like, I don't think there's been enough time since they did these studies 
and I'm afraid some things will come out a little bit later, and I'd prefer to wait a few more months before taking it because I, I want to see uh, the way this all shakes out. That's reasonable if you, if you want to do that, and that's that's different than the the people who are thinking this is part of uh, an an evil plot by Bill Gates to inject people. That's that's more what I'm talking oh, about. No. Uh, but uh, people who are skeptical of, of the the speed of its development or its its safety because you just haven't seen. Uh, many examples of people taking it and, and what happens to them that is just not, not much time passes and you're doing that out of uh, self-preservation especially if you're not in a, in a category where you think you're at in risk at risk of dying or or, uh, or, or something very serious from it then I, I can understand that and and that's also be a, a problem with with getting people to comply with taking it is that there will be people who think this way and I'll admit it crossed my mind before of okay, Let's say they're out with a vaccine in in January, and and, and it's available to me in January. It'll probably probably when it becomes available right. at first, it won't be available to me first, but it'll be available to me at some point after that. So when it's available to me, okay. do do I rush out and take it, or do I try to say, you know, maybe I should wait two months to see what happens to the people who are taking it, and then make it make a decision at that point. Uh, well, that's that's exactly my point. Like that's why I don't know. That's why I think you would have resistance if it if it comes out. Like, and then they're like, everybody has to take the shot. I think you're going to see pushback on that because, like you said, people are going to be like, ah, I want to wait a couple months. I don't think I'm just going to let you just inject me with something that just you know came out. Yeah, and that's re- and that's reasonable. If, if people from know. that standpoint, it's that's a reasonable way to look at it. And uh, but th- that's that's not what I was referring to right there when I was talking about the vaccines. But that's uh, oh, okay. But that that's that part's a, a reasonable point if it's just a, a fear of, of safety because of the the short time frame here, which is unprecedented for vaccines. Yes, and I wanted to bring up another point. You know, I just woke up. I'm on my way to work. Actually, that's why you heard me say fill it up. Um, I heard you were talking about you know. How the right and the left, you know, the right saying, oh, it's just a, a flu, and, you know, the left is saying, no, it's serious. And, you know, I'm in New Jersey, okay? Actually, I'm on my way to work right now, and I'm about to hit 322, and they have this canoe thing where everybody goes on the river to go on a canoe, right? Now, you think we've learned our lesson over here, but every time I go by it, there's about 100 people all stuck together. Some are wearing masks, some are not, to do this canoe thing. Okay. Yeah. And my point being, like, my my point on this is being is because I think the reason why this is happening is because of the media. I mean, and I am not look. Okay, I don't have you know a tinfoil hat on my head. I don't think that the government's trying to do like mass conspiracies. I'm not that guy. Okay, I'm just a 43 year old that has seen how the media has been playing this out and. The biggest problem with why people are not listening and this is spreading is because the mass confusion the media is doing. One side says it's bad. One side says it's not. One side says it's not bad to protest in huge groups. One side says that might do it. The other side says, no, that's because people ain't social distancing, but this is okay. You know, there's so much contradiction or political bias in everything that's going on on the media, on the left and right. I'm not, I'm not trying to go one side or the other because I, I don't want it to be a political debate. That people don't know what to do, right? Now you put in the factor that they've been stuck in their homes, right? They're bored. They want to get out. You know, they don't know who to believe. So who are you going to believe when you have conflicting information? You know who you're going to believe? You're going to believe the side that 
works in your own self-interest. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if you're young and you're healthy and they're telling you it's okay, you know, subconsciously you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to be okay. They said I'm okay. These other people, ah, oh, they're, they're conspiracy theorists. This news agency says this. You know, you're going to tend to believe whatever – you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, you raise a lot of good points. That, that, that's that's very true. That if, if there was just one consistent message from from uh, and, and I'm not saying we should mandate a message that's like controlled media, but but if if they, if there was uh, if they stop politicizing it and just uh, intelligently put together uh, a, a narrative that makes sense and and stop trying to uh, skew it to whatever makes their side look the best, then people could. Get, they'd believe the information more, and there would be fewer contradictions. There are a lot of contradictions, and people are having a hard time taking a lot of it seriously. And the, and, and also, there, there's things that look stupid on each side, that's the things I'm going over, like like the people on the right saying, uh, um, oh, it's, it's no worse than the flu, it's, it's all a big hoax. You have people on the left saying, oh, all those people crammed together, 60,000 people uh, – uh, uh, shouting and screaming uh, in the streets—that uh, that didn't spread it at all. It didn't make it bad. Like that's uh, you, you hear things like that, and you go, "Okay." Uh, like it's easy to look at each side and go, "This doesn't make any sense," and then uh, just come to your own conclusions uh, based on crazy things yeah, on social nobody, media. Exactly, and nobody will own up to it. You know what I mean? Like, let's own up to the fact that Florida probably had a surge because they didn't practice any social distancing. And they didn't, like, wear a mask, and they didn't listen. You know, that's probably caused the surge over there, plus the air conditioning. You know what? But let's also acknowledge that probably the California had a surge because of the mass protests. Yeah. Like, if we could actually just, you know, call out our own bullshit instead of always having a biased news source or a news source that always has a narrative to all their, their news. You know what I mean? I'm not looking for controlled news. I'm not. I just want news that doesn't have a narrative tied to it or a political agenda. That's yeah. all I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, I know. It's, because it's, I think if you had that... Yeah. Go no, ahead. I'm sorry. No, I agree. It's been very frustrating even before all this, and I've talked about it before. I, 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 hated, I, I started having to go to some foreign news sources for, for certain stories because I got so tired of, of, right. of, of the bias and misinformation in U.S. news that was based upon uh, some political point of view that I, I felt like I wasn't getting the truth a lot of times. So, like, I'd read something and go, ha, huh, this doesn't make sense. I have a feeling something's being left out here. So then I had to go, like, look at foreign news sources that wouldn't leave it out. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and, and it's, all, it's all true. So that's, it's, it's really too bad, and it's not going to change anytime soon, sadly. No, it's not. And, you know, it, it's scary because, you know, like, I mean, I watch, see, I'm trying not to put any, because I watch all of them because I'm just curious about one side to another. You know, at one point, yes, this is a, a serious disease. We should social distance. We should wear masks. Do I think we should close down everything? I'm not too sure. You know, I, 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 I hate when I watch a media outlet talk about out of three, four, five million, you know, God, I don't even know the number now. Of millions and millions of people, you know, that contracted it, they have a news article about the one 15-year-old that they can get their hands on that had an adverse reaction. And then when you read the article, you find out they had other medical conditions. Yeah, I know. You know I, what I, I mean? Yeah, like, I've complained about that as well, that they, they just uh, – it's not honest about which groups are more susceptible than others. And, yeah, the whole thing's bothered me. Okay, well, well – uh, Thank, thank you for your call. You, you've brought up a lot okay. of good points. We we do have to move on, but I, I, I very good call. Thanks, yeah. thanks for everything there. Oh no problem. Hey, you all have a good one. And uh, uh, nice Brandon, to meet I you, buddy. On. 
Yeah, and I will listen, and hopefully maybe you'll get another bet to get another one of those uh, watermelon smooth. What was it, a watermelon smoothie? Yes. That's <laughs> Yes, it's funny. Yes. Yeah, we, well, we had Cal Watt back on All tonight, right, so yeah. you never know. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later, and thank you for calling in. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, so uh, so finishing off what I was, some stuff on the right that I don't like, there's also the talk about masking. Now, I will admit that the left, and I left this out somehow on my list, the left has exaggerated the usefulness of masking. They're asking, they think masking is the end-all, be-all of solving this. If just everybody wore masks, then we, we, the coronavirus would be gone. I don't believe that to be true. That's never been proven. In fact, uh, there's been a lot of conflicting data that says that's not true. There's, there's places in Europe where there is very little mask wearing and they don't have it bad at all. And no one's been able to figure out why. And there's other places that there's a lot of mask wearing and it doesn't, doesn't seem to help much. So I, I think the left is exaggerating how the masking is, how important it is, and how that's pretty much explaining why it's bad in the U.S. and not elsewhere. But uh, And, of course, it is bad elsewhere. That's another lie. But uh, the right is on the opposite side, which is untrue. Many on the right feel that masking is useless and it's a violation of our rights. That if you're wearing a mask, you're giving in to the government, you're giving in to the left, you're giving in to the Trump haters. So putting on a mask is basically saying, I'm giving up my freedoms, I'm letting the government control me, and I'm letting the left-wing media uh, make a puppet out of me. So I'm not going to do it, I'm going to resist. And my response to that is, stupid. Do not do that. Uh, we don't know how effective masking is. There's enough data for us to be able to tell that it seems to be doing something. It seems to have some usefulness. And for that reason, you should just not to be an asshole because wearing a mask probably doesn't help you that much, but it helps others not catch it from you. It doesn't completely stop it, but it helps lower the chance that you will spread it. And you may say, well, I know I'm healthy. I know I don't have it. Listen to what Nick the cop said when he called in, that he didn't come into contact with anybody that appeared to be sick. So he got it from somewhere, from someone that did not appear to be sick. So that's what happens to a lot of people. In fact, it is believed that people are the most contagious right before they show symptoms. Not when they're showing symptoms. They are contagious then too. But right before they're showing symptoms is when they're most contagious. So just because you are feeling healthy does not mean you cannot be transmitting it. And as I said, don't be an asshole. Put on a mask. And maybe we'll learn later it was useless or mostly useless. And we'll say, fine. At the time, the data seemed to show that it was not useless. The data seemed to show that it was useful. So I did the right thing. And if it turned out that I did it uselessly, oh, well. Like, what does it hurt? Really, what does it hurt? It doesn't. So you're not making any kind of statement of protest. Whatever statement you're making is dumb. You're not giving in. You're not showing that the left was correct. You're just doing what makes sense. And there's many on the right, such as myself, who take the masking seriously, and, and I wear the mask. Now, I, I won't wear the mask to be symbolic. I see idiots wearing it in their car. I see idiots who uh, wear it when there's absolutely no one around outside. Uh, like You don't need to do it unless there's you're going to be coming in contact with others that you could potentially transmit the virus to. I also don't wear it like when I'm hiking. That's 
it's very hard to hike with a mask on because you're breathing heavily and you're uh, um, it, it's very uncomfortable. It's hard to do. It's, it's uh, you, you breathe in your own carbon dioxide. It's, it's something that is very burdensome, and you're outside. You're not passing many people. You're there's really not much risk in getting others sick when you're hiking, unless you're in a super crowded area, which I don't go. So you're hiking out in the open. You don't have to wear a mask, and I don't. So that's where it where it makes common sense not to wear a mask. Then don't wear a mask. But if everywhere else, especially indoors, wear the mask. And those on the right to say you shouldn't, or putting posting memes on Facebook showing why you shouldn't, uh, are just being stupid. Okay, next. I've heard from so many on the right that they are not afraid of the coronavirus because they are healthy, they work out, and they're not old. So therefore, they are at little risk. They are convinced they will fight off the the virus. They've even said, uh, I, "I never get sick. Uh, when I do get sick, I'm I'm barely sick for any time. I have a great immune system. Uh, I'm not worried about it." They say, and they believe it. They believe that if you're healthy and not old, then you're at little risk. Not true. Now it is true that you're at worse risk if you're old or if you're uh, if you have a major underlying condition, but it does not mean that if you are healthy and not old that you're at little risk. Now, if you're healthy and 20, you're at little risk. If you're healthy and 10, you're at very little risk. But if you're healthy and 40, yes, you're at risk at the very least to get permanent lung damage. Not just a, a thing that will get better at some point. You're at substantial risk at age 40 no matter how healthy you are, to end up with permanent lung damage that you will never be able to treat or make better. So you think that's no big deal? It's And no matter how healthy you think you are, this will attack you. So don't fall into that trap. Don't believe that you're invincible and can't get you. And it, it can be easy to think that way because you feel okay now. Maybe you don't get sick that often. And it's something you can't see, the virus, and it's easy to say, oh, the people who are getting really sick from it, uh, it's their fault. It's their, it's their lifestyle or their, their pre-existing conditions that I don't have. No, there's plenty, especially those over 40, who are uh, getting permanent damage from this thing and even some who are dying. Then the right also has been pushing very hard for kids to go back to school. And that's saying the teachers just need to deal with it. How dare the teachers' union complain about having to return to school? Now, I have a lot of issues with public labor unions, the teachers' union being one of them. I went to public school throughout my entire educational life. Even college, I went to public college. Never went to a private school, ever. And I dealt with some very bad teachers who were protected by the teachers' union. I did. I have a lot of strong feelings about teachers' unions. I think they should be abolished. But in this case, for the most part, they have a legitimate concern. And that is, you are telling us to return to an indoor environment, indoors, there. I guess an indoor environment indoors is kind of uh, (laughs) repeating myself, but it's getting late. An indoor environment with air conditioning. With a bunch of kids who, try as they may, are not going to be very responsible about social distancing, about anything that is about 
prevention of the spread of the virus. You can tell them to, you can try to remind them, you know how kids are. In fact, I got an example of this. This kind of freaked me out. I'm still hoping it ends up okay. There's a kid next door who doesn't live there. There's some old people who live next door. They're about my parents' age. And they have a grandkid who happens to be my son's age. And they get along. And when he comes over, they call and say that he's there and ask if Benjamin would like to come play with him. And and Benjamin usually does, and they have a good time. So uh, they did that again a few days ago. And I haven't let Benjamin go play with anybody because I don't want him to catch the virus and, and bring it uh, bring it home. And he's been okay with that. And a lot of other parents are doing that too. But anyway, apparently uh, the grandparents of this kid didn't care, which is surprising because they're old, but they didn't care. And, they, were, and they, they don't know the level of caution that we're using here. So Benjamin's very safe. He never goes anywhere that he'd catch it, but they don't know that. So they invited Benjamin to come outside and, and play and kind of like ride scooters together out there and just kind of distance. The thing was, there was miscommunication because uh, they attempted to call. I saw it ringing. I didn't answer it. I thought my girlfriend answered it, but she didn't. And then it turned out Benjamin like saw them when he was in the backyard and talked to them from the side of the house and then went in and talked to my girlfriend. Anyway, I believe that she had talked to them and agreed to send Benjamin out, and she believed I had talked to them and agreed to send Benjamin out. So we each believed the other person said it was okay to go out, and then we each somehow believed that they had some social distancing protocol in place. They had nothing. Like, there was a big miscommunication. So I'm out there, and I'm horrified seeing that none of the kids are trying to social distance. And I told Benjamin beforehand he had to, and he was the only one trying, but even he wasn't doing that good of a job. And finally, I just gave up and took him back in. But he was out there like 45 minutes, and I'm like, oh, so stupid after all the caution I've been showing. And now I just let him play with kids out there for 45 minutes and not – and, and you know, he distanced, but then not distanced. And the other kids weren't trying at all, so they kept going up to him. And you know what I learned from this? I learned that kids just can't do it. They can't. They're just not good enough at doing it. I, like teenagers could, but the kids that age, Benjamin's age, never gonna do it. they can't do it. They can do it a very short time, and then they mess up. Like, I wasn't even that mad at Benjamin because like, he actually did the best of anybody and he still did a crappy job. So they just can't do it. So uh, I, I hope no one's going to get the virus from this. So far, no one's feeling anything. The scary thing with Benjamin is he probably won't feel it and can transmit it to us. But uh, so far, so good. But I felt stupid for even like having that happen at all. And I'm not going to do that again. But the, the point I'm making here is that uh, teachers have a point because imagine a whole classroom full of kids who are not distancing as much as you try to get them to and uh, the teachers are stuck in there with them with an air conditioning running. I mean, that's really bad. The only saving grace might be if kids can't give it to adults very easily, but in Israel they think they see that happening. So I'd be very scared to go back and teach a class with a bunch of kids there. Like Brandon, would you want to go teach a bunch of ten-year-olds a class of no? 20? No, it's like wouldn't you be scared? I, yeah, yeah. So I, I, yeah. So I, I see why the yeah. teachers are complaining, and they now some of them are, are are being stupid about the way they're saying it, and some of them sound very obnoxious. Like I saw some teacher say, uh, not not in my district, but I saw on the news. Uh, 
uh, we're not de- we're not daycare providers. We- we're not just here so you can go back to work and make money. Like that's an obnoxious thing to say. Don't say stupid shit like that. Just say this is dangerous. We're f- we're afraid for our lives. That's fine. That we can relate to. Don't don't make this about uh, you're not daycare providers. We you know the, the, we're not taking care of your kid and taking a risk so you can make money. That's just an asshole thing to say. But. Uh, the basic point that unions are making about the teachers unions making it's it's a good point now there has been a reasonable counterpoint to this of okay well what about other workers how come how come supermarket workers have to go to work and and risk it how come other essential workers have to just risk it and deal with it look at nick the cop who called in he he has to work his his job as a police officer he can't just say i i don't want to come in because it's not safe and look he got he got covid19 probably from work so uh, why should teachers be exempt and the answer is number one because they're dealing with kids who are terrible at avoiding uh, spreading viruses around, and number two, believe it or not, and and I say this as a parent who really has seen that the Zoom learning is a failure, and kids just don't take it seriously, and Benjamin doesn't take it seriously as much as as much as I try. But I can tell you that even as a parent, that a year, even a year and a half of a kid being out of school and just not learning as much as they would have in school is not a disaster because they can catch back up. There's a lot of repetition in school. There's a lot of things you learn you never use. There's a lot of, like, honestly, school doesn't need to be as long as it is, like, for the number of years you go. There's a lot you learn that you forget or that you never use or that, uh, uh, I'm what I'm trying to say here is that it seems a lot worse than it is to have kids out of school and in this kind of pseudo school on Zoom than it is. Like like long term, if a kid misses the fourth grade, is that going to devastate his life? No, it's not. They, they, they'll quickly recover from that. You don't want someone like out of school for 10 years, then they, they, they'll be uh, illiterate and they'll be missing a lot of basic knowledge and basic skills. But for, for one year, for a year and a half, while it's not ideal – it, it's not a disaster, especially if everybody's in the same boat. If you, if your kid's the only one who's out of school for a year and a half and then you drop him back in there and he's behind everybody else, that's a problem. When everyone's in the same boat, that's not a problem. It's not ideal again, but it's not a, it, it's not the problem everyone's saying it is. Now, I've also heard that this is actually something, and the right makes this point. Remember, I'm talking about the right's misinformation. They say, look, you guys on the left keep complaining about the wealth gap. Uh, this is going to make it worse because parents uh, who have more money, they can uh, afford to do things and they have more time to do things to help their kids learn where people who are uh, – people who have less money, they have less opportunity to educate their kids during this whole shutdown. And uh, there's going to be a, a much bigger gap between the rich and the poor because of uh, better education for the rich and the poor because the, the the rich can do more for their kids during this time. And to that I say, again, if this was over a period of many years, you'd be right. But a, a period of a year, year and a half, I just don't believe this is going to have a major impact with everybody in the same boat. So I uh, – yeah, maybe some things the kids would have otherwise learned in fourth grade they're not going to learn or they have to condense things or they have to uh, catch up later, but – if everybody's in the same boat, fine, let everybody catch up. Like, it's it's not the end of the world. It sounds bad, but it really isn't that bad. And I say that as a parent and as someone who would love to see his kid back in normal school again, but 
I understand why the teachers feel scared there. They have a right to feel scared, and if you don't think they do, then you're not looking at this honestly. Finally, the right some people on the right feel we should fully reopen. That the any kind of shutdown is unconstitutional, that it's uh, killing our economy, that it's pointless, again, that this is just a flu, who cares, it's, it's being exaggerated, that we really just need to reopen everything. And while I don't think we should leave everything shut down, I do think that a complete reopening could be very bad, because we'll get too many cases at once. And there's some things that just seem downright unsafe right now, like bars are a good example. I don't think bars should be open, at least uh, not indoor bars. I don't think that uh, anything where there's a component of a lot of people getting together in a closed space where there's air conditioners or heaters is a good idea indoors. So that's uh, – I, I don't think that should just be done. I think we should be using our head and seeing what seems dangerous and what seems not so dangerous and try to make kind of a happy compromise in between. And those on the right that feel that we should just fully reopen because this is no big deal, and that's not a good idea. But there's many on the right who believe we should do that, and that's incorrect. So these are are all things you're going to see. Like on on your Facebook, you're going to see things on the left and right, exactly what I was describing. All the stuff I said, you'll see these points being raised by people on each side. And it's almost like like teams competing with each other, and uh, yeah. and it, it shouldn't be. This is, we should all be in the same boat over the coronavirus. We should the the goal should be to solve this and to not have our economy crash, and uh, and not worry about which politicians look good or bad or just just to do the right thing is what we should do, and we shouldn't put out misinformation or close our mind to the fact that maybe the information we were told is wrong. That uh, just because it comes from the side we like. So that's that's something you need to consider. And this is coming from someone who really just wants to know the truth and wants to spread the truth about this virus. And as you've seen, I've been critical of how some on both sides have handled this. So that's, uh, that's what I wanted to put out in that segment. I felt it was important because I still see a lot put out that I highly disagree with. Okay, let's get away from the coronavirus. Brandon, did you see the controversy with Vital Vegas and the Sahara? Yeah, Sahara. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, I I knew this was going to happen at some point. Vital Vegas, they just love to put out unfounded rumors about everything. And this is long before the coronavirus. They've been doing this for a while. They're on Twitter, and they're pretty well followed. And they hear rumors... And they just put them out there. And a lot of it ends up being totally incorrect. Sometimes they happen to come up with something that's correct and they have it before anyone else. And that really gives well, them some validation. Well, a good example of that was the Rio sale. They, they were one of the – or they might they were the first that reported that Caesars was selling the Rio. But they, they had a, but they had a lot of wrong information on that too. Sure. Sure. But – they got it right that it was being sold, and it was imminently sold to, I don't even know, what's the company that bought it and then leased it back to them? I don't even remember the name. Oh, yeah. I, I'm forgetting, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. But, but yeah. yeah it, it, it caused quite a stir. Yeah, uh, so, so this in is... In regards to the fair, yeah. Yeah, so this is what happened specifically. Uh, 
Vital Vegas put out another one of these rumors. They put gut punch of the day. Rumor is Sahara Las Vegas could close permanently in September. Permanently. This is the way they wrote it. So Sahara shot back. Sahara said, there is no merit to this claim. This is on Twitter, on their official verified Twitter account, Sahara Las Vegas. There is no merit to this claim. It is extremely disappointing to have someone spread unfounded rumors that detrimentally impact our team members, guests, and community. To find out what we are really about, visit sahara.lv slash saharacares. So they, they're just saying, uh-uh, not only is this not true, but you're irresponsible, and it's very disappointing that you're going to put this out, and you're, you're going to hurt not only uh, our employees, but also the, the guests who might want to come here in, in the community. This is – they have a good point at Sahara. It's got to be very frustrating that – this gets put out there if this isn't true. And Sahara's like, wait a minute, now people aren't going to want to book here, and, and the, the people who are working here may get upset about this, and they may want to look for another job. And uh, if this is all not true, this can really wreak havoc. And that's why Vital Vegas, even though they're right sometimes, they've got to try to moderate what they put out. And it, I don't know where they hear all these rumors, but it kind of just seems like, someone tells them something and they go okay we'll put it out there and they do very little vetting about whether the rumor uh, makes any sense or if there's any kind of verification to it it just seems like they almost want to be like the broken clock that's right twice a day so that's the sahara just couldn't stand it and and so <laughs> uh they wrote update this is vital vegas that same day Sahara says this rumor is unfounded and our story has been updated to reflect our aversion to interactions with lawyers. Look, come on. That's, that's still kind of being nasty. Why not just say, sorry, we, we, we put out a story that probably isn't true. We, we heard a wrong rumor. Sorry, we apologize to Sahara for this. Why, why make it seem like they're updating their story because they're being legally threatened? They might have been legally threatened, but, I mean, Sahara would be correct to do that. <laughs> so, they... I've seen this for a long time with them. This isn't a one-off thing with Vital Vegas. They have 14,000 followers, which may not sound like a whole... Or no, sorry. They, they have 72,000 followers. So that, that is a lot. I, I was reading the wrong thing. So yeah, that is a lot of people, especially because this is just about Vegas. So you have 73,000 people off whom have an interest in Las Vegas. And they see it and they believe a lot of this is true, especially if they have some memory of them being right sometimes. Vital Vegas describes themselves as your essential source for Las Vegas news, rumors, tips, and WTF. They're affiliated with something. I'm forgetting what. Someone told me at one point that uh, I think it's something downtown they're affiliated with. So they're not like independent. Like they pretend like they are. Uh, I'm not saying that's why they said that about Sahara. But I'm kind of skeptical of this whole uh, Vital Vegas thing. I don't even know specifically who's behind it. I, I was told at one point, so I guess I did know. Interestingly, Vital Vegas was created the exact same month and year as Poker Fraud Alert, March 2012. Yeah. 
There's another one that's uh, similar that I've seen out. I don't know if it's the same people. Las Vegas Locally. They're also on Twitter. And they put out similar stuff. But I see more from Vital Vegas. And I've even called them out before when I've seen seen them put out things that are true or, or that are unlikely true. So that uh, good for Sahara for speaking up here, unless Sahara's lying, unless they unless they actually got something that was correct, and Sahara's like, "Oh crap, we don't want this out yet." If that's the case, that's kind of an assholeish thing for them to put out. You know, if, if Vital, Vital Vegas happened to find something out before it should be known, then so be it. Denying it at that point is not being honest, but uh, I have a feeling Vital Vegas is just wrong. Or it's it's possible there was some talk of this at Sahara and they decided not to. Like maybe Sahara looked into possibly closing and said, "No, you know what? We're we're not going to do it. We'll we'll we're going to stay open for uh, for a long time, or we're going to stay open for as long as we can until we can't stay open any longer until it, we actually run out of money." Uh, and closing permanently, uh, that would be. I mean, I think it's going to happen. Brandon, I know you said that you think some of these are just going to close permanently eventually from from this stuff. But uh, I don't know if Sahara is really one that uh, would be doing this first because they're – I think the ones more likely to do that are properties that are part of uh, a portfolio of properties owned by one company where they feel like they, they don't need that many in one market. Like if Caesars or MGM closed one of their properties. Yeah. I think I think – Well, I mean – Running out of money, though, is still running out of money regardless. I yeah. Mean, you know, if it's, you know, that property has struggled tremendously since the rebranding. I mean, it's just, it's never, you know, and I've, uh, I've never gambled there. I've been there a couple times. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice, I've never seen the rooms. It's, you know, it's a nice property. The restaurants are really good. The casino's small. Uh, I don't think they probably have any great games there if, if you're an educated gambler. Um, but, you know, the restaurants, I, in fact, I had one of the most expensive meals I've ever had in my life there with really? enough of all people. Uh, one step. <laughs> uh, I don't know, about, it was about two years ago, maybe a little less. There's this uh, oh God, Jose Andres Bazaar Meats, it's called. And it's... You know, a restaurant there at the Sahara where they have this really high-end uh, Wagyu, uh, you know, steaks. I mean, just the finest meats that you could get anywhere in the world. Like, literally. You know, this, this restaurant rivals the best restaurants in New York. I mean, it's that good. And we got some Japanese Wagyu amongst other things. I think our bill for two people, and I didn't drink. I'm not really a drinker. One step, maybe one or two drinks. Not a lot. It was a little over a thousand dollars for two people. Um, it was amazing. I mean, I only did this once, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Like, if you're a foodie and you can appreciate paying high prices, but for like things you've never had that you want to experience, I highly recommend it. But anyhow, so they have an upscale sushi restaurant. This ain't like a, you know the old Sahara, like with the terrible buffet and like you know a failed Mexican restaurant that never really you know got up to the times. It's you know, there's some nice restaurants in there, but you know. The problem is it just it tried to kind of do, in my opinion, what the Cosmo did and I guess to some extent maybe the Palms. Like it tried to be a little boutique hotel that catered to, you know, like the younger crowd that has money. Like, you know, the 20, 30, 40-year-old, 
like LA crowd and you know like just that crowd that has money the crowd you see at the the Cosmopolitan on a Friday and Saturday and that's what they were going for and it just maybe it's part of it's the location and again I've never seen the rooms one of the few hotels I've never ever been in a room as you know as a uh, the Sahara, the, the new Sahara. I've been inside it years, years ago. In fact, I stayed there at the old Sahara when I was, oh, geez, seven or eight years old and came to Vegas, like way, way back in the day. Um, but that's the problem. They just never really, you know, when you're a casino in today's day and age, you have to make it clear who you are. You have to define the, the market that you're going after, and you have to kind of be steadfast in it. You can't really waver and, and oh, we're going to be this now, we're going to be that. And so what were they trying to do? Were they trying to get the young crowd, you know, which they had for their pool parties and stuff? Were they going after, like, the local crowd because they were marketing pretty heavily for a while the locals? Did they want, like, the older, you know, like, Bellagio-type crowd that you know, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s that like to gamble? You know, they never they never really made it clear. You know what I mean? Like, what, they, what they're after. Like, you can even look at a casino like Treasure Island. You know, Treasure Island is going after – they're not going after the high roller – that, you know, they're, they're going after the middle class, like, you know, 40, 50 year old type gambler that, you know, is probably going to come and you know, spend a couple thousand at most, a thousand or two on a vacation. And so, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just, if I even asked you, what are they, what are they marketing towards? Who, like, what kind of clientele are they going after? Could you tell me? Like, well, right. I, so I, I was going to say something similar, similar, a little bit different, but uh, with Sahara, when you say, I had one of the most expensive meals I ever had. Like for a second, I go, "Huh, Sahara?" And then I go, "Oh yeah, yeah they they became the SLS it, trying to be high end, and then the SLS was a fail, and they're like, let's go back to the known brand, but the known brand was known as something that's being kind of old and not very high end, and and so now now they're back to a more recognizable name, but but a name that was not associated with being high end. So the whole thing is a big mess." The, the, who, who wants to go there? The, the people who want to go to a high-end hotel don't think, let, let me think what high-end hotel to go to. Let's see, uh, should I go to the Aria or the Bellagio or the Venetian or, oh, the Sahara. Yeah, let's go there. Like, you just don't think of it in that group. You don't think of, like, like as you said, like, it's not even like a, a nice boutique hotel like the Cosmo. Uh, real fast, I'll tell you, that the most expensive meal I've ever had in my life, and that was because I paid the whole bill versus paying just you know, the meal with one step. We just chopped it up was a French restaurant at, of all places, Caesars, a restaurant called Guy Savoy. And this was yeah, back I've been, in 2000. I've been, I've been have you ever been there? Yeah, I have. I, I ate there one time. It was in 2007. And I got like a pairing meal. And it was like 600 and something per person. And uh, the pairing meal came with, I think it was more than what it normally would cost because there was alcohol served with every uh every every course like a, not you know a big glass but a small amount but you know you're talking expensive high-end wine anyhow so it was like with tip and all that it was well over 15 maybe i think it was 1600 1700 uh for two people it was just me and and you know girlfriend and it was amazing i mean if you like that what do you what did you think of it i mean was that like an experience for you for me it was yeah, and and I've I've been to some others uh, similar to that before. So that wasn't the only one. Uh, I I went uh, the time I was there. Uh, it, I think it's actually pronounced uh, Guy Savoy, but uh, close enough. it is written Guy Savoy or Guy Savoy. So I uh, but well, I uh, got the the Guy part. Yeah, right. you got the Guy. That's true. You didn't call it Guy Savoy, so I'll give you that. But uh, well, let, let uh, me ask you real fast. Not getting into 
too much information. I don't want to have an issue with you like to do with the chicken and the sides. But how, how, how many people did you eat with her? Well, a lot. So I was, I was actually going to describe oh, okay. who I was with her. Uh, this was actually uh, with uh, my parents and uh, and various other people for for a party they were having uh, related to their their anniversary. And this is oh, actually uh, this I can't is, even imagine that kind of a building. Well, it wasn't Holy a gigantic. It, it was it was large, but it wasn't it wasn't a gigantic party. It was it was like a family uh, group, and we don't have a huge family though. My my then did girl, you all do a fixed menu, or did you um, remember what, how you ordered? Yeah, it, it was it was a, a price fixed menu, and it was actually it was a number of years ago. It was enough years ago. It was in the two thousands because it was uh, the the I was with my girlfriend, but not my current girlfriend. I was with the previous girlfriend, and that's. Uh, and of course, there was no Benjamin then, but uh, but I was with my parents, and my brother and sister you, were there, and my my brother's wife was there. And uh, since you have such a good memory, do you remember roughly what it cost per person? No, the, the, the because fixed menu that you had that evening. No, because I didn't pay it. My dad paid it, and so I. Well, I know you can still see it, like I, you know. I, no, me, it it didn't yeah. because it, the reason it, we didn't is because it didn't. It uh, we had like a private room, and my dad like prepaid for it. So, uh, so, so I didn't see this. I, he may have told me, but I don't remember. Obviously, it was very expensive, and uh, they. Uh, so, what was your what was your overall opinion? Like, if you can remember that far, in terms of the food, like when you left or while you're eating it, what would you? What were your thoughts? Like, you know, just on the creativity, the quality, the experience, the ambiance, the service. I thought it was all top notch. Like, yeah. I, I thought it was, you know, as good as it could get. Like, you know, there's only so much you can do in terms of service, quality. I mean, it was just – it was a perfect experience. The only thing that I can compare it to in terms of, like, service and the whole uh, picture – and I'm actually glad you brought this up because this is a real good question to ask. Were you ever fortunate enough – because you would have had to have done this when you were young because it ended up closing right when I was here, right after I moved here, a couple years. Were you ever fortunate enough to dine at Michael's at the Barbary Coast? No. Okay. Have you ever even heard of it? I heard of it, but I, I didn't know much about it. Okay. Um, that was Michael's Barbary Coast. It was obviously named after the owner at the time, Michael Gone. And this was an old school. You know, I guess now the, the closest similarity would be Hugo Cellar downtown at the Four Queens. Have you eaten there? No. Oh, God, man. Really? No, I haven't. Those are places you want to check out before they're gone. I mean, they're not going to be here forever. You've heard of Hugo Seller, yes, I'm sure. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the next time you bring, you know, your your girl with down here, please. I mean, it's not ridiculous. It'll be a couple hundred bucks, but you know, for like steak sides and uh, just, you know, it's an old school restaurant. It's like old school Vegas. Still, even that one. When you go in, the first thing they do is there's an old, you know, older gentleman, like 60s, 70s. And every woman that comes into the restaurant every day, they hand the long stem rose to. It's that kind of a place, <laughs> and it's literally like it's literally in the basement at uh, you know Four Queens of all places, which you wouldn't think was this amazing restaurant. But you take an elevator downstairs, and it's just old school, you know, with the maitre d. And uh, you know, anytime you need something, you have four or five people surround you. It's just it, it's that kind of. Like, you feel like you've been taken back to the 50s and 60s. And the food's incredible. Like, you get, like, you know, a salad. They make it right at the table for you. It's just it's that kind of a, a, a restaurant. It's not a steakhouse. I mean, they have steaks. They have seafood. You know, but it's probably, I think it's probably the oldest, like, high-end restaurant that's in Vegas now still remaining. But Michael's was similar but even better and just higher prices, 
uh, bigger portions, a much more, you know, bigger variety. But that was a place when I first moved here to be seen. Like if you went there on a Saturday night, you were going to see, you know, somebody. You know, whether you recognize them or not, but it was always just filled with people. You had to get reservations, months and events. So to give you uh, an example, the first time I ever ate there, literally the table right behind me, like I literally could have screamed or talking loudly and the person would have heard me was Mike Krzyzewski, the coach of Duke, uh, the longtime coach of Duke and, you know, U.S. men's basketball coach was eating dinner with his wife. Like within and I could have thrown my fork and easily hit him. Like, you know, was just sitting there, like, with his wife eating dinner. Um, so, yeah, that that was another great place. But, anyhow, as you were saying, getting back to it, you wouldn't think when someone says, I had an expensive dinner or an amazing dinner at the Sahara, you don't kind of put the two together. Like, yeah, you just you don't. don't. I know. That's you know, what I thought. Still, at first, I was like, what? The Sahara? I go, oh, yeah, Sahara. Yeah. Like, I, that was my thought process, really. But, but they had at minimum, you know, and this has been two years, so I don't know what it is now they had a minimum three high-end restaurants they had the uh bizarre meats they had a high-end sushi place which i ate at that was really good and then they had another a high-end greek restaurant like greek slash you know turkish slash mediterranean like you know that kind of but high-end like you know good quality like you know meats and steaks and foods and you know it wasn't like a, a euro a gyro place or euro place however you pronounce it um and it kind of made you wonder could that place really you know support three you know hundred plus per person type restaurants yeah. you know that's that's a lot for well, a property like well that. and i'll tell you another problem with the sahara and that is its location is not something you associate with higher end yeah. hotels the, the north strip sure. area is just not where you think of high-end hotels being i was saying maybe they'll be helped out by resorts world because that'll start to make that area seem more high-end and uh that possibly could make people more used to that over there but right now it just seems like uh out of place yeah. especially with the sahara name you don't even think of it the whole yeah. thing the whole thing is a mess uh, by the way i see a little bit more about vital vegas I, I now recall what i heard and where i heard it from that is from your show co-host the other show plol he knew i don't know how but in march he posted on poker fraud alert that uh the one who is running Vital Vegas is the interactive marketing manager for the Fremont Street Experience. And he had posted that they were very irresponsible. On March 9th, they quoted something from Bloomberg, that uh, not Michael Bloomberg, but the company Bloomberg, an article that says, thousands of vacationers are ignoring the U.S. government's warnings that Americans should avoid setting sail on cruise ships. And then... Vital Vegas retweeted that and put yes and more yes, F the hysteria and live a little. This is on March 9th. Uh, and, and so PLOL was saying that they were downplaying the virus and saying it's seasonal allergies and that it's not as bad as the common flu and that they're doing this because they want people to come down to the Fremont Street experience, so they're doing this for profit motive, and huh. I, I have to believe that's true. They, they, I have noticed that, I, I remember that Vital Vegas, it seems like they rarely bash downtown. Everything's pro-downtown from them. That's what made me remember that it's something associated with downtown. So, yeah, that's the interactive marketing manager of the Fremont Street experience who's running this. And uh, that would make sense why they're bashing the Sahara or, or saying the Sahara's closing. I mean, they probably heard this rumor somewhere, but... There, there is something they gain from that because 
the Sahara is in that direction. It's not downtown. It's not right by downtown, but it's uh, it's kind of in between the center strip and downtown. So if you're going in that direction rather than stopping the Sahara, you keep going downtown. So maybe they're hoping that the Sahara crashes and burns, and that's a little less competition for for downtown if you're already going that direction. So that's. Let me ask you something. Uh, you've been coming here. When, when was your first trip to Vegas in your life? Roughly what year? Myself or when I just came at all? No, 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 no. Just with your family, like as a kid. Oh, that goes way back to when I was very young in the seventies. Well, I know that's what I'm asking you. What year? Would you guess? I think it was in like seventy uh, four or something. Oh wow! Yeah. So I, that was right when I was born. Yeah. Okay, so you were here like before you can even remember, basically. Yo, yes, yes. There were times that my parents have told me about there that they left me okay. with, with. They said never, that that, yeah. that hotels had babysitting services they don't have anymore that were very cheap. That you actually could yeah. go uh, even if you inflation I, adjusted, you could yeah. leave your. These are like good services. This were like it was actually a, a good babysitting service that was in a big room where but the kids were together and played and 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 it was cheap and and the then the parents okay. could go out and gamble i never yeah i never stayed here that young i think seven or eight maybe nine well where did, did was there one place particularly your family used to stay when you were that age see i don't know like what they, the old school uh, yeah so i don't know what they went to in the 70s i don't remember it well enough i know in the 80s where they went because that i do remember very well uh i remember going to las vegas in the 70s i just didn't pay attention to where i was uh the, in the 80s i i did pay attention to where i was and they went to the las vegas hilton all the time and, and and the MGM Grand, huh, they that's strange. They went they went to the MGM Grand as well. They, right okay. after the, right after the, the old, fire, right after the, the fire. Old, oh, the new one. Okay. Well, the, well actually, huh. uh, no, not the new one. The the the, the one that's now Bally's, but after the oh, fire. Oh, okay. So it was just after the fire, and I remember them telling me that, and it was right after it was rebuilt, they told me not to worry about the fire. I had heard about the fire and the eighty people dying. Then the fire was in nineteen eighty. So they told me that it's actually the safest place to be right now because they have a groundbreaking uh, fire uh, fire prevention techniques there now and, and sprinklers and a lot of stuff that they didn't have in hotels prior to this fire that they learned from it, and now it's very safe. And they were right. That was true. They, they really changed everything with the hotel I, industry and, and how they I wonder why fire. they would have picked, of all places, the uh, old Las Vegas Hilton. Only because for those that don't know that you know haven't been here a lot or just never been here, it's off the strip. And at the time when it was built, it was either the biggest, I think, yeah, it was or the second biggest. biggest hotel in the world. It was the biggest. Yeah, it was the biggest. Okay, yeah. So it, it was like a monumental type, you know, press getting, like, attention, you know, gathering property. But it's, you know, you have to, without a doubt, have a car. Or, you know, it's not, you can't walk to any other casino. You know, there's nowhere to walk really from it. Um, other than, I guess you could walk to the Sahara. But it's not, you know, it's it's a little bit of a walk. Yeah, they weren't they, um, they weren't big on walking around anyway in Vegas. They would drive to wherever we went. Yeah. Like I wasn't even even used to as a kid walking around in Vegas because we would just drive to where we needed to go. Yeah, and we, we stayed at the Hilton See, so many times. I'm really lucky because from the time I was about seven or eight, whenever the first trip was, up until when I could legally gamble, when I came on family vacations, I got to stay at a variety of the old school places that are no longer there i stayed at the dunes um i stayed at the old desert inn i stayed at the sands uh which was great by the way now that obviously it's called you know it's the, where the venetian is um I stayed at the old sahara so i got you know i can still remember in my head like what 
the sand steakhouse was like, you know, cause we ate there and what, how, you know, the dunes was the coffee shop at the dunes. So in all those years, when you were younger, or even now, what would you say your favorite restaurant was, you know, back then, or even now, it doesn't matter. Like if you had the list, your top two, and you know, we're not talking like, you know, a burger place, but like nice, like, you know, famous, even if they're not there anymore, did you ever come up with like a couple of places that just, you loved over others? Well, it was funny. Like that- one, one place I really liked, but I didn't know at the time that it was a ripoff, was uh, uh, they had this place at the Hilton called the Baron Shires, which was a uh, a ripoff of Lowry's. But I didn't know that then. Never heard a prime what a prime rib. It place? was a prime rib place that was very much a ripoff of Lowry's, but it had like an English theme to it. The Colonel would have liked it there. Huh. He, probably, he probably wouldn't have liked it because he would have seen it as inauthentic. But it was a it was a, a ripoff of Lowry's with an English theme. Uh, but uh, but I, I liked that a lot. I remember back then, and it was right in the Hilton too. Uh, unfortunately, I don't remember that many things with with meals we went to. Something I did like at the Hilton. I remember when High Lie was a big thing in the eighties. I know it was even in Florida where you lived. Uh, oh, it was big in Florida. I know. That's Florida. so. So they it, massive. Yeah. So it came. To, it came to. Uh, there even was some High Lie. Remember in Miami Vice, but they they High Lie made it to Vegas, and it was at the Hilton. And I remember I, I liked watching that, and yeah. my parents even let me bet on it through them. That's funny. And I well, you remember Highlight was even in the opening of Miami Vice. Like yes, in the credits yes. in the beginning, yeah. And there was an episode okay. surrounding it, like for some Highlight player's murder or something. So, yeah, I, I remember enjoying that as a kid. And, uh, and what, I, what year did that restaurant, the scam restaurant, cease? It exists because I don't remember that ever being. Uh, there. It, it, it went away fairly early. I, I have to guess in the early '90s it vanished or something. Okay. I wouldn't have remembered that. And uh, um, and I, actually, that was the first time I ever went to a Benihana. Was at uh, yep. Hilton for many years until about three years ago. That was the only one ever in the city, and then one recently opened up at the Fashion Show Mall. Um, yeah. I've been to that. I was been to that Benihana's with their own Trader Ruski. Mm. Hey, buddy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I you know it makes me happy because at least, you know, because of my age, I'm able to kind of reconcile both the old school Vegas, you know, including the restaurants and now how things have changed. Because you know there are a lot of people that never, you know, are going to get to know what it was like the younger generation to, you know, be at inside the dunes or the desert inn or any of those places or walk into a casino at you know seven o'clock at night on a Friday and Saturday and realize. Every male had a jacket on. Every woman had a dress on. Like you know, you wouldn't see the count of outfits that people wear now. Like, yeah, and, and I see, yeah, and I remember a lot of that stuff. And 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 I remember the look of down uh, the look of Vegas. I look remember how downtown looked, which is totally different than now. I remember a lot of the old hotels, which are, are gone now. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and you I'll know say, what? The transformation. I mean, you know, goes without saying, but there's really one person responsible for it, and you know, just kind of. Really bringing, ushering the new era, and, and who would that one person be? It was Steve Wynn. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. He's the one that, you know, when he really made Vegas this family-friendly place and, you know, kind of started to some degree with the Mirage, but then, you know, more so with the Treasure Island, Luxor, Excalibur, like it just, it really changed everything. It brought in, I mean, not just the resorts, but it, that's when the switch began from, you know, food, restaurants just being like a, a small losing type proposition to keep people happy to like literally being a money maker. Yeah, that's when that, rooms went from just, you know, being a, you know, a, 
losing proposition to people just making, you know, hotels weren't making money on the rooms yeah, back then. And, and you're just right. like they weren't with food. It was the Mirage that started in 89, and that was the beginning of it, but people didn't quite recognize yet that it was the beginning. It was in 93 when a lot of these opened around the same time, including the MGM Grand. Uh, yep. A lot of them in 93, they were, and I was there. I was there actually in the summer of 93. I, I, I wish I got to spend more time when it was all just opening, but I, I was only passing through Vegas, and I, I just turned 21. That's why I wish I spent more time there. I, I was 21, uh, 21 and a few months old when I was there in the summer of 93. But we were passing through on the way to Utah, so I didn't get to spend much time. And then we continued, and then I, I didn't get to go back, I think, for another uh, three years. I should have. I, I meant yeah. to go back, uh, especially because I lived in Riverside at the time, so I wasn't as far. I was a little closer than than people in LA are, but I, I just didn't. Uh, I just didn't get to do it for some reason. And so, anyway, uh, we, we've gotten all over the place with this, but yeah, it's it's oh. it, it was a lot. It was a lot different in those days. And uh, not did just you all looked. back back in the day day? Before it got changed, did you or your family, did you all ever do the, when you'd come here, the shrimp cocktail at downtown at the Golden Gate? Was that ever on something that you all enjoyed doing? No. we the 99 cents? No, we didn't know, go down. Really, we went downtown to uh, only to take a look at it from from the car. Like just the, we, I looked, we'd drive through and, and look at Fremont Street, and that was pretty much it. We, we didn't really go downtown as far as walking. Was that there. back because it wasn't as safe or wasn't even close to safe back then as it is now? Or just Yeah, that, I think that was the reason. I didn't I, – yeah. I, I don't – that you know, people don't remember, but I remember when, when we were here in the '80s and even the early '90s, you wouldn't go downtown at night. Like it was like you know a safety risk. And this was before everything. You know, there was the overhang, the down, the Fremont experience with the you know the roofing and the roads were blocked off. But you know, it was like you know almost like New York City in the '80s. You'd be afraid to get mugged or, or worse. Like there, you there, did not go downtown after dark. There's a funny then. a funny story from I think is. Card player magazine writer, I think it was Vince Bergio. He, he wrote a, a story about uh, being downtown in the days when it was less safe, and that he was walking out of casino with like two thousand dollars in his pocket, and he started some very shady looking characters started to came up and approached him and surrounded him, and he was and there was no one else around, and he was very afraid of what was going to happen, and he had to think quickly what to say. So as they approached him, he said, "Oh man, can, can you guys just back off? I, I just lost twenty five dollars in there. I'm just so frustrated." And they, he said, they did because when he when he was so unhappy about losing twenty five dollars, because he didn't really, he was claiming that they figured he must have no money on him if that's bothering him so much. So they said, "Okay, no problem," and backed off. <laughs> so, provided that story was true, I think that's pretty clever. Okay, let's move on to uh, the next thing, which also has to do with uh, Nevada, the not Vegas. Three casinos, or actually two casinos and a bowling alley in Nevada, might get fined for lack of cooperation with uh, COVID-19 safety protocols. The state is not just threatening to, but they're actually looking to fine them an undisclosed amount. So this involves two rural casinos and a bowling alley that has some slot machines in Lake Tahoe. 
you may or may not have heard of these casinos or uh, in this bowling alley and or even these cities where they reside. The COD Casino in Minden, before I go on here, I assume you know this, but I'll see if you do. Where is Minden? You know what? I know a lot of the small cities in Nevada. I don't know Minden. Okay. It's one of the ones I don't know. Okay. Well, you... I mean, I'm going to guess if I had to guess, it's in, in north, northern Nevada, maybe near Fallon you're in kind, that area. But You're kind of close. Right? Well, sort of, but not so much. Yeah. You're, you're, right I, in northern, yeah, you're right in northern Nevada. It is right below Lake Tahoe. If you were, in fact, if you ski it's south of Lake Tahoe, it is, uh, yeah, like southeast of Lake right. Tahoe. If you, so I'm off by like seventy to hundred miles. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, if you if yeah. you ski at Heavenly Valley and you go to oh, the, the Nevada, many times it happened. Yeah. Yes, if, many times there. So do you know? You know, um, at some point in the resort, you can look down and see uh, much like thousands of feet lower some uh, towns below sure uh minden is one of those two you're looking at minden and gardnerville i know gardnerville okay, okay. i've never heard of minden yeah in okay. fact in fact it's something that will probably be more meaningful to you is that what, what county what county is that in this is in uh douglas county i believe okay but right. uh, something that may be more meaningful is that minden gardnerville and carson city are all associated they're considered to be part of the carson valley and uh, that's all kind of considered the same area. Carson's a little bit further north, but uh, it, it's all kind of the same area. So everyone knows Carson City because it's the capital. But uh, Minden is, I guess, it's less known. Uh, I actually know some. I, I know someone personally very well who lives in Minden. I know another person fairly well who lives in Gardnerville. Neither are in poker. They just uh, happen to live there. And uh, so I, I've been to those. I've been to both those places. So the COD Casino, which I'm not familiar with, is one that uh, had formal complaints against it. The Nevada Gambling Hall in Ely. Do you know where that is? Ely, Nevada. E-L-Y. Yes. Yes, I do. So Ely, Nevada, is that's, that's really rural. Uh, at least Minden is, is by Tahoe. Ely. Yeah, I just looked it up. Minden has over 3,000 permanent residents. Yeah. It's a lot for... And then Gardnerville's it's almost like the same place. It's like they're, they're just they're connected and they're they're almost the same place. So you, you combine Minden and Gardnerville, and especially if you combine Carson City, it's not that small of an area. And then there's some other areas like Dayton and other ones that are kind of yeah that are in that general area, all small. But Ely is that's really out there. That is off of uh, Route 50, all the way to the east, uh, and it's almost in Utah. But it's not even in the part of Utah that's headed towards Salt Lake City. And it's not like Wendover, which is off of I-80, that's right on the border. That's uh, really for the Salt Lake City market. That's where Salt Lake City people go to gamble. Uh, yeah, it's a straight shot. Yeah, Ely is not that. Ely's really in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's, in fact, it's part of this uh, US-50, which is considered the loneliest highway in the world because you go through really nothing of any consequence for the entire way once you uh, get east of Reno. So Reno, you can go two directions. You can go northeast on the 80, or you can go, uh, if you're traveling east, you can go northeast on the 80, or kind of like directly in a little southeast on the 50. And you really pass through just about nothing on the 50, and 
Ely is, is kind of near the border of Utah, but then you're in the middle of nowhere in Utah when you get into Utah. So, and you're far from Salt Lake at that point. So, uh, that's where Ely is. And so they have this, uh, hotel there that I've never heard. Of. I've never been to Ely before. It's a Nevada gambling hall in Ely. And I, I could totally see where they wouldn't be taking it seriously. Hey, we're out in the middle of nowhere. We'll do what we want. Screw Screw what the state says. And, uh, so I could totally see that happening there. And then there's the Bowl Incline, which is that bowling alley in Lake Tahoe. I've never heard of that. I assume it's an Incline Village. So let's ask you if you know where that is. Uh, do you know where Incline Village is? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Incline Village, for those of you that don't know, is the northeast part of Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe is a pretty large lake. It's not like Lake Michigan or anything, but it's a, as far as western lakes, it's a pretty large lake. And uh, there's a California side to it and a Nevada side to it. But uh, the area with the casinos is the southeastern portion of Lake Tahoe. And that's in uh, – th- there's two cities that are uh, – one's in California, one's in Nevada that make up that area. One, The, st- the part in Nevada is called State Line and the part in California is called South Lake Tahoe. That's the Lake Tahoe that most of you are familiar with. But there's a lot more to Lake Tahoe than just South Lake Tahoe and State Line. So if you go no- directly north from there, then you'll be on the northeast side of the lake, and that's where Incline Village is. And uh, and then you could, uh, if you keep traveling east, then you start going towards Reno at, from that point. Uh, I actually went to go look to play in the snow for, for Benjamin and uh, when we were in Lake Tahoe over New Year's. That was actually the last trip I ever took and made be the last trip I take for a long time. But uh, I, the first snow place I tried to go to was a disaster because it was just jammed with people. So I was trying to look for something off the beaten path, which is kind of hard to find in Lake Tahoe. So I ended up going to Incline Village and then a little north of Incline Village, and I found this place off the highway that was pretty neat. And uh, not not an organized place, but just kind of like you park your car at this viewpoint and then cross the street and go into it, just an area in the forest there that just isn't really a supposed to be a play area but we made it into one and had a very nice view of the lake from there but that's that's incline village like the northeast part of lake tahoe and then uh and then there's the california side of lake tahoe where there's uh, towns that aren't as well known incline village a number of people have summer homes there who are from other areas so that's uh where bowl incline is and what happened with these is that uh, there are a number of uh, there were a number of complaints against these two casinos and this bowling alley. There were repeated complaints of failure to comply with new COVID nineteen mandates, and uh, what happened was regulators finally said, "All right, we're getting so many complaints; it's probably legit." These complaints, so they went down to go take a look, and. All three of these places were found to not force the guests to wear masks, that they just didn't care. I guess, especially in Ely, they felt like, who's going to find out? And they are looking to actually find them. So they're not being warned anymore. They're looking to find them, and they're going through the process of seeing what they can actually do. So... We will see what ends up happening with that. It's probably not going to be gigantic fines, but these are smaller places. Like the bowling alley, especially. I don't know how big of a bowling alley it is, but they can't. They probably can't stomach a gigantic fine. But Governor Sisolak has warned for a long time that 
he's going to start taking action. And I, this, this is the first action I know of where an establishment's actually going to, at least a gambling establishment's going to get fined for not taking the masking seriously. So we will see what happens with that. I, I do think it's interesting that they actually took it seriously enough in a place like Ely to go down there. That's the most surprising one. Huh. Though I guess they, they must have gaming officials in Ely because otherwise how would they, like, if a problem of any kind comes up there, it's so far out of the way, they have to have somebody living over there that, that can go take a look. I don't know about that. I, I would think probably they may have someone like What's the nearest big city from there? There, 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 there really isn't one. Like I, this, that, I mean, but within two hundred, three hundred miles, what would like be... probably Reno, but it's that's pretty far. Yeah, I don't know if they'd have somebody. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. If they'd have somebody living there, or just or you would think, how often does some kind of dispute come up that big in a such a small city that somebody would have to be on property to investigate? That's a good question. Yeah, a really good question. Ely to Las Vegas. Is uh, I guess that's the closest place, though it's not close. It's 244 miles, yeah. and Reno is 320 miles. So it's it's far from everything. It really is, and it's, it's far from Tahoe. Uh, yeah. it, it's far from really everything in Nevada, and it's not even close to Salt Lake City, which would it's a different state. But there's really no close, big or medium sized city to Ely. So uh, I wonder. What they have over there as far as regulation. That one surprises me the most. It really does that they caught anything. That would totally strike me as a place that could do what they want and get away with it. All right. So uh, do you know about the Colorado situation with the betting and the laws they have about that there? It's kind of interesting. You know what? I've never never gambled uh, in the state of Colorado, but I've known for years uh, what's – the famous one there. It's a Black Hawk or yeah. some Black something. Uh, yeah, I know about the hundred dollar max because it's it's just it's always been talked about. And that's why the poker scene in Colorado never got any street cred, yeah. just because it was ridiculous. But no, nope, never gambled there because why would you? But I've known. I mean, it, this has just been reported on and off for two decades now. But please go on. Okay, so you're you're on the right track with all this. Uh, Colorado has a really weird law regarding gambling in the state. For a long time, the maximum bet, that is the maximum single bet you could ever make, was a whopping $5. (laughs) And that's of any type of bet. doesn't matter what game it is. You You could not place a bet for more than $5. So if you were playing poker, the pot could be bigger than $5, but each bet could not be more than $5. So there's no, like, a, if you're in a no-limit game, you could not say, uh, I'm all in for $10. That would be a violation of the law. The, the most you could bet at, at one time would be $5. Uh, so for many years, that was the max bet. And I remember being pretty shocked by that. Like, why even bother? <laughs> Forget just poker, even other things. For $5 max bet, uh, I can't imagine that was attracting a lot of gamblers. So that was the law there until uh, 2008, they finally changed that, and they upped the betting limit from five dollars to one hundred. Now, one hundred was able to accomplish uh, reasonable limits for everything but poker, because if you think about it, like a hundred-dollar blackjack bet is a fairly big bet. It's not a super high roller bet, but most people who play blackjack are not betting a hundred dollars a hand. So you can most people could go to the casino with these hundred-dollar limits. 
and uh, and not be betting $100 or more at one time on, on one hand. The problem was still poker, because at poker, the, the betting's all over the place in something like No Limit Hold'em, and uh, th- this pretty much killed it, because uh, think, think of even 1-2 No Limit, how often are you placing bets for more than 100 on a single street? That happens fairly often. Now, when I say fairly often, I don't mean you're constantly throwing down hundreds. I'm saying that uh, you're, you're pretty much uh, putting in small amounts of money uh, to, to see the flop, usually. And then if, if you like the flop and somebody else likes the flop, you're often getting in more than $100 at some point on one of the streets. Uh, what they were doing for a while there is creating uh, spread limit games. Uh, so to try to make it a little more palatable where they'll say it's the betting is from this amount to this amount on every street because they know there can't be an all-in because the uh, you can't go more than $100. But still, it was very frustrating to poker players there, and as Brandon said, a poker scene never really got going there for that exact reason. Well, gamblers in Colorado are trying to raise that $100 max bet. The, uh, there's a com- campaign there called Local Choice Colorado, that claims that they have obtained the 200,000 signatures required to put Initiative 257 on the ballot, which would uh, be in November, and would raise the, uh, the amount that people could bet. Uh, I don't see exactly what amount they're trying to go up to, but... Uh, I know it got support from two prominent state politicians, uh, one named Bruce Brown and the other one named uh, Bill Cadman. And uh, obviously, the there were there were three towns with uh, with casinos there, that major casinos, Cripple Creek, Blackhawk, as you mentioned, and Centennial City, that really want this passed. There are 33 casinos in the state, despite this hundred dollar limit. I guess because poker is not a huge deal. To casinos, and they can, with a hundred dollar limit, they can still uh, run fairly profitably. Uh, the one that passed in two thousand eight was called Initiative Fifty, and that was what moved it up from five dollars to one hundred dollars. Uh, they, the group claims that raising the betting limits would allow Colorado casinos to become competitive nationally. They say nobody wants to come to Colorado to gamble with this limit in place. That the this will start bringing people over there because. Colorado already has things going for it for tourists. The the skiing, the summer activities, it's, it's a beautiful place that people like to travel to and that this will increase tourism when people also have a viable casino to go to. Uh, but, but if the casinos are crap with, with, with limits that uh, suppress people's ability to bet what they want, the casino doesn't become much of a draw and it becomes mostly a local's place. Uh, this is especially true in resort towns where... It's pretty expensive to go travel, and you have people with more money showing up there who want to bet more than $100 per bet, even in things that are not poker. So think of how expensive it is to go to Aspen, for example, or uh, a lot of these other places in, in Colorado uh, are not cheap to visit, especially during the winter. They have ski resorts. So they're, they're hoping that this will bring well-heeled tourists there who also like to gamble. And that'll be a, a draw there along with what uh, Colorado already has to offer. And they also say that this would increase revenue and would increase the tax revenue that they claim will support local community colleges. So 
we will see if this uh, goes anywhere. I don't know what public support there is, but they claim they got enough signatures. I've never played in a Colorado casino either for the same reason, though I, I haven't been yeah. to Colorado that often. And what was funny is I was actually planning to take a trip there prior to all this happening. Like, that was one of the places I was considering going in the summer of 2020. But, uh, see, I, I was, I was going to, I had a big Israel trip I had to cancel in April because of the coronavirus. And because of that trip being planned, I wasn't going to do like, I'm sorry, what kind of, what, what, I was going to Israel in, in oh, April. Vacation? Yeah, vacation for two weeks in April. Yeah. And I was going to see Israel again for the first time as an adult. I saw it only once at the age of 17. And so I, not only has 30 years passed, more than 30 years passed since then, but I, I, even if it was the same, I would still kind of see it differently at this age than I was as a teenager. So I, I was really interested in, in, in going again. And Ben was going to see it for the first time. And, and my father's from there. So I was looking forward to going. And this is a, a trip that we rescheduled. I, I was originally planned for October 2018, but because of the problems I had then, we had to cancel that trip. And we were going to go in uh, April 2020, and you know what happened to that. So now I don't know when we're going to go. And the uh, so, so given that trip was going to be, if, if everything had been normal, given that trip being a big deal, I would not have made a major trip in the summer for the family, but I still would have wanted to go somewhere after the World Series was over. And I would have I was considering Colorado as one of the options because you, know, you don't have to fly that far. I could even possibly drive there as part of a road trip. So I was considering seeing more of Colorado. Uh, the last time I was there was in 2013. I was in uh, Colorado Springs, but I, that, that's about all I did there. Went to the Pikes Peak at the top. Have you ever been to Pikes Peak? I have not, no. If you ever go there, it's in Colorado Springs. If you ever go to Pikes Peak, do not take the tram up. Drive it. It was a very okay. unique experience. It's, it's over 14,000 feet. It's the highest spot you can drive in North America. And, in fact, it's one of the highest spots you can drive in the world. Not the highest place you can hike to in the world, but it's one of the highest places you can drive in the world. And so not only is it high, but it yeah. looks high. It's not one of these places with the altitude's high, but it but it, it really doesn't feel high as far as, like, traveling to it. Here you, you start at about, I, I think, like 5,000 feet, whatever Colorado Springs is, and you wind up this mountain – and you go up and up and up and up, and if it's if it's like partially cloudy, you you see yourself rise above the clouds, and it really feels like you're driving into the sky. Like if you ever pictured it as a kid, like what if I could drive my car into the sky? Like that's what it feels like. And it was it was a very unique experience driving up there. And I had to decide: do I take the tram up, or or do I drive up? And I was very happy I drove up. The only downside to driving up. Let's see if you can guess. What would be the downside to driving up to the top of Pikes Peak? The altitude? Yes. You're not used to 14,000 feet. And 14,000 feet, the air is thin enough. You get Well, you get altitude sickness? You Sort of. You start getting dizzy and tired, and you start to feel, uh-oh, I've got to drive this back down. So I, if you're on the tram, you're like, oh, no big deal. I'm just going to go back on the tram. I don't have to be that coherent. But but here, you know you have to drive down, and you start to feel uncomfortable. So I'm like, I, I, I spent 20 minutes up there. I'm like, okay, well, time to go back down. But it wasn't a big deal because – at the very top, he was stuck in the clouds, so you couldn't see anything up there anyway. Like, like the very, very top, all the way up there, it was it was a great view. But once we got to the very top, we were in the clouds, so we couldn't see much anyway. 
and uh, so it wasn't a big deal to be up there. It was very crowded, so we were fine with only spending 20 minutes up there. But I was getting like a headache, and I was getting very tired, and I, I definitely wasn't doing that well up there. I wasn't sick. I just didn't feel that great, and I was like, you know, I don't want to stay here any longer because I want to be able to drive back. Uh, there's a, a similar drive, but not quite as dramatic. It's it's a much uh, the the drive up to Pikes Peak is more interesting. But a similar altitude drive that's also one of the highest spots you can drive to in the world is in Hawaii. People don't think of that. People don't think of Hawaii being a place that you drive really high. But Mauna Kea in on the Big Island of Hawaii, thirteen thousand seven hundred feet, and you can drive to the top of it. That's that's another one where you got to be careful with the altitude there before you know, how long you spend up there. The, the Pikes Peak, I really enjoyed the drive going up there. It was a pleasant surprise. So, okay, let me get to the, the last uh, last thing we have here. China has busted their own citizens for sneaking into Macau to gamble. I kind of learned some new things about Macau and its relationship with China and the gamblers there that I didn't know before when I read the article about this. It's actually a pretty... Uh, interesting situation, what happened over there. Here is what occurred. From the coronavirus, China changed the situation with people from the mainland coming to Macau. I had always thought that people from mainland China could just go into Macau uh, all they wanted. And in fact, uh, those huge games that would go there with uh, Tom Duan that were backed by the triad, I had always believed that he was beating very rich Chinese businessmen. And I, I believe that's what, that is what is going on there. But I had just pictured this, this is where you go to gamble if, if you're in mainland China and this just, you travel there just like you would travel anywhere else. Uh, the same way you travel from in the U S to Las Vegas. Well, it's, that's not true. Uh, with China and all the control they have over their people, uh, Macau is not an exception to that. And China, they were happy with other countries sending people to Macau to lose money, but they didn't want their own residents uh, developing big gambling problems and losing a bunch of money there. So China used to have very, very draconian laws regarding going from the mainland to Macau. They also had the same laws regarding Hong Kong for a different reason. Prior to 2003... If you were on the Chinese mainland, you could only go to Macau or Hong Kong with group tours or business visas, and these were not uh, easy to get. So it was it was much harder. But then in July 2003, they decided to make it easier to visit Macau and Hong Kong, and they devised something they called the Individual Visit Scheme, known as IVS, that allowed people to visit these two places individually without having to be on tours or get business visas. And they began with uh, 10 cities, and then eventually they expanded this to 49 cities where you could get these, uh, these, business, these IVS visas, and they started issuing them pretty easily. Uh, China issued... 450,000 visas just between August 2003 and November 2003 when the program began. And in 2019, they issued 10.6 million visas 
for people from mainland China to come to Macau. So there were a ton of mainland Chinese coming to Macau on these IVS visas. So as you can imagine, these weren't that hard to obtain. Now, yes, China has well over a billion people, so 10.6 million is not a ton, but a lot of them don't want to come to Macau. A lot of them have don't have the money to even come to Macau. So that's uh, 10.6 million people still is a lot, and there was nowhere near that number coming before when these IVS, before these IVS visas were available. However, the IVS program ground to a halt in late January because of COVID. They decided they're just not going to allow people to go from mainland China to Macau. So they would not issue any new travel visas to Macau. And once they reopened the Macau casinos, they uh, people wanted to go back there. And yet they uh, they couldn't do it because these IVS visas were not being granted. So what did the degenerates do? The degenerates had themselves smuggled into Macau. And uh, they were doing that. And finally, this got back to China and they clamped down on it and started busting people who were both being smuggled into Macau and the smugglers who were doing it. So people were arrested for going into Macau and and getting smuggled in to gamble. On Monday, they announced that they arrested a a 31-year-old Macau man who worked in one of the casinos who was helping the smuggling occurring, a 34-year-old who had overstayed his visa and a 56-year-old woman who was allowing herself to be smuggled. They also arrested five accomplices to the scheme. And uh, they claimed that the smugglers charged each client between $3,000 and $4,300 U.S. to be smuggled in. So it wasn't cheap. You're not coming in there to play the, the cheap games there. You're being smuggled in because you're a degenerate gambler who wants to play at high stakes mm. and you're willing to pay uh, 3000 to $4,300 for the privilege. Uh, so that's uh, that's how desperate some people in, Macau- in China are to get gambling again. They are working on a system to ease this. Uh, they are slowly uh, lifting some of these restrictions – uh, they still have some of them still have uh, quarantine procedures uh, upon returning from Macau, but uh, getting to Macau they they're not quarantining people, and but they do have to get test, tested for COVID nineteen before going there. Uh, but at the moment they're still not issuing the visas; they're considering it, but they're still not doing it yet. Uh, right now, Macau is working with Hong Kong on a health passport system to expedite the process between those two cities. Uh, Right now, you can't go between Macau and Hong Kong unless you go through a two-week quarantine, either way. But uh, this health passport would eliminate this requirement. But still, as far as mainland China goes, even though they're considering easing this, it still hasn't happened yet. So there might be more smuggling than perhaps the... I don't know what kind of penalty these smugglers are going to get or what these gamblers are going to get for attempting to be smuggled. And I'd imagine the people who are sneaking in are going to get penalties not as stiff as those doing the smuggling. But uh, that's pretty desperate to want to gamble to smuggle, especially in China where the 
you know, they clamped down pretty hard on any uh, law-breaking there. So, you know, you know how it is in, in China. That's not a place I'd want to be arrested and charged with anything. So that, uh, now these are Chinese residents, but it's interesting. These are their own citizens who are getting smuggled into a territory controlled by their own country. The Macau economy has been slammed, as you might guess. They had 4 million visitors in May 2019 and only 16,000 visitors in May of 2020. And June's gross gaming revenue in Macau was down 97% from a year beforehand. So they made 3% the revenue gambling in 2020, in June 2020 compared to June 2019. Prior to that, Macau was doing very well. And that was one of Caesar's notorious fails that they did not make a serious attempt to get a property in Macau. Whereas uh, the Sands Corporation, which is uh, Sheldon Adelson's uh, corporation, they, they have property and, and so does uh, Wynn. And uh, I believe MGM has a presence there too, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so Caesar's, uh, they do not. And Caesars has been criticized for that. In fact, when Caesars was having its financial issues and going through the bankruptcy, that was one of the big criticisms that they were obsessing over expanding needlessly in the U.S. and markets which were not going to be very profitable. And they ignored Macau when other uh, companies correctly predicted that Macau was going to be something very profitable. But at the moment, Macau is is struggling big time. And uh, we will see what happens there by the way i I think this is pretty much proof not that we needed it but that that the coronavirus isn't conquered in china because for so long they remember there was like no deaths there for a long time so they said and it was so not true so and and that there hardly any new cases like they they were just so dishonest about the the coronavirus situation there in china and that's why i always hate when they say oh there's the most cases in the U.S., the most deaths in the U.S. I, I think it has to be China, just China isn't being honest about it, because they have a much bigger population than the U.S., and that's where the whole thing began. So I really believe that this is, uh, the numbers are way underreported in China. And they just, at some point, just kind of stopped. And I think it's it's for economic reasons that they they don't want, they, they'd rather people just die there. Like, China really doesn't give a crap about their own citizens. So they, they'd they rather just say it's not a problem anymore and, and we're mostly past it and and at least hide that from the world and then go back to go back to business. And uh, they, they don't give a crap if people die. China yesterday claimed that 127 new cases were in the entire country, the entire country of like 1.6 billion, 127 new cases... And as far as the death numbers? Zero point zero. Zero deaths in China out of 1.6 billion people. Very believable. Very believable. Now, 126 cases. I, why is there any restrictions then? If there's, if there's 126 cases out of a country of 1.6 billion and nobody's died, then why are there any restrictions? Why shouldn't the Chinese be able to travel freely or at least get these visas again? Why not, if it's not a problem anymore? Hmm. Why would that be? Might it be because China is not telling the truth? 
and they're getting the World Health Organization to lie for them? Might it be that? I think so. Brandon, is there anything else you'd like to bring up? I'm done with my topics. No, I'm good, buddy. i got to get going. Yeah, you, sound, my day. you sound tired. No, I'm all right. I'm okay. just listening to you. Okay, you just I'm tired. Yeah. No, okay. I enjoyed it. No. I don't think I've ever left, come back, left, come back, went to sleep, left, come back again. Here we are. I, I now, yeah, what are you gonna say? I'm gonna, I gotta do a couple things, but I'll be back. Are you still gonna be on in a couple hours? No, 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 come no, back no, I'm, no, I'm done. Oh. I'm gonna play the, all the yeah, family closing. Do I, hold on, we, we do have a call though, from a familiar voice, uh, non-American voice. Uh, caller, you're on Tyrone? the air. No. Hello. Hello. Hey, it's Mr. Tickle. Mr. Tickle, hello. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going good. How are you? I, I do. Yeah, I'm good. I just wanted to say thanks for the shout out last week, Brandon. Absolutely, bud. Right at the end of the show, like right now, basically it was. Yes, it was. He's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you were talking about uh, coronavirus in China. I thought I'd just like tell you a little bit about coronavirus in Russia. Oh yes, let's hear about it. Yeah, so everything like opened up here over a month ago now. Actually, it was June 16th. Everything opened up. So clubs are open, bars are open. It's like nothing ever happened, basically. Now, doesn't Russia – I'll ask you about this because unlike China, Russia is admitting that there's somewhat of a problem there. They're, they are reporting cases and deaths that are occurring there. Uh, yeah, uh, all the, the the stats are pretty, are pretty uh, accurate apart from the uh, deaths stat, which kind of nobody believes. Okay, so so you think they're being honest about the cases, but they're lying about the deaths and claiming it's a lot less than it is, right? Because if you look at like the stats, like you've got, um, like on any website, you see there's so many tests. We've done millions and millions of tests. It's really good, uh, but the the problem is with the uh, deaths. If anyone has any kind of other illness, they'll we'll chalk it down to to that. Yeah, you know, I'm looking so, at the numbers, and this makes sense because it says uh, Russia yesterday. Uh, even the cases are a little suspect. Uh, I see it says uh, 5,482 new cases uh, with a total of 839,000 cases uh, that they found, and then they claim that they have uh, 161 deaths, and uh, they claim they have total deaths of uh, about 14,000. But that, yeah, that doesn't really add up well because. Uh, like the U.S. has way more deaths compared to cases that have been verified. And you're saying that they're testing a whole lot, and then yet there's yeah, a lot dying. And yeah. it's free everywhere, basically. Everyone's getting them. Oh, yeah, I see that. They're, they're showing that they've actually tested more than the U.S. Oh, no, 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 no not more than the U.S. A little more frequently than the U.S. The U.S. way way more yeah, tests. Yeah, per population, right? Per, per population, they're a little ahead of the U.S. And the, the U.S. has done almost 59 million tests. Uh, Russia has done about 28 million tests, about half, but then the population is is also about half. So yeah, it's, that's right. It's it's pretty comparable. Yeah. yeah, and so what happens here if uh, if you're old and you have any other underlying condition and you die with a a positive coronavirus test, though it doesn't matter. They'll put you down as the underlying condition. Uh, but if you actually killed, like definitely you were killed by COVID, hundred percent, no argument. Then they'll put it down as COVID nineteen. I see. So, so like if someone just is, is forty years old and nothing was known wrong with them and they die from COVID, then they admit it. But if it's a, if it's yes. just some 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 eighty year old, they'll find something wrong with them that uh, he already had and, and yeah. say it was that. Yeah, and they'll say they might even say, uh, "Oh, it was an exacerb- exacerbated by COVID," but it won't go in the COVID nineteen deaths column. 
I see. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's definitely a problem. Well, uh, yeah, but you know, every country is doing it differently, right? I think uh, that's the. It's basically impossible to compare country to country because every country's got their own like politics about how they're counting. Yes, and, and then there's the weirdness. Like in the U.S., I don't even know if they're over or under counting because there's there's evidence for both. There's a. I think it's it's occurring in both ways, and I don't. Maybe it's evening out, but like I I know like right in my own county. They admitted they they put right there that a 37 year old man who died of a drug overdose and happened to also be COVID positive, and not because he like got the overdose because he was feeling so crappy. This is a guy with like a known drug problem who just died of an overdose, and oh, he was COVID positive too, probably because he lived an irresponsible life and and uh, um, got COVID and then did drugs. Anyway, they called it a COVID death, which I. And, and yet, while, yeah, that's ridiculous. while admitting that it wasn't directly a result of the COVID or even indirectly, that just he happened to be COVID positive. So there's that. But then there's also claims that uh, in New York City, there are a bunch of people that were found dead in their apartments with, without any cause, like way more than usual, and that it had to be COVID related and that uh, those were not counted. So uh, so there's those claims. And so I, I don't know what to say about the U.S. numbers of deaths of whether they over undercounted or maybe if those two factors combine to make it about right. I don't know. It's, it's so hard to say. And, and yeah, some countries either from just blatant dishonesty or just different standards are, are reporting right. differently as well. So it, it is hard to compare. That's correct. And it's the same in the, in the uh, UK, like my home country, they weren't counting for so long uh, deaths in care homes. It was only like deaths in hospitals, basically. Oh really? But yet, um, yet they still have yeah. high they still have high death numbers. They're higher. Yeah, but then per- they started adding like care homes, and it came a bit later. It's a huge mess in oh. the UK. UK is absolutely fucked it up, like real bad. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like as bad as the U.S. I think in the U.K. Basically. Well, no, it's worse per far worse per million. They have six seventy nine per million compared to four seventy three in the U.S. The the U.K. is one of the yeah, very worst in, in in the world. But, uh, you know, some. I will say that because this is new to everybody, it's it's hard to do everything right the first time, and uh, so some of these some of these mistakes, you'll say, okay, they're going to happen. You're never going to handle this perfectly when you're doing it uh, without anything to reference in the past. If if we have a, a second one of these of a different virus in the future, uh, some of the mistakes that were made the first time around with the coronavirus probably won't be made. But uh, I don't know if that will happen, but. Uh, in, in Russia, yeah, it's like a test run for something really serious. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, and in Russia, how are people treating this in general? Like, are, are they scared of it, or like? Uh, yeah, a lot of people are pretty scared. But all the young people, they gave up because we're all sat inside, like the rest of the world, for six weeks, two months, then and then two and a half months in some cities, and then they said, okay, it's open. So then everyone said, okay, we're going out. Like young people. The bars are full, the clubs are full, the parks are full, but old people are staying home. Now, I, I, well, you're, you're young. PFA's, PFA's own Sonatine, uh, Mr. Tickle, he hasn't left yeah. the house in over seven months. <laughs> yeah, well, fact. Yeah, well, I stayed. I followed the. I decided I'm going to follow the rules to a T. So I won't do anything that they say I can't do. And then they said, okay, everything's open. So I said, okay, I'm going. Yeah, now, for those of you who don't know, Mr. Tickle is young. What are you, like, like 25 or 24? 25, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so so he's young, and so the the risk to him is substantially less than the risk is to myself and Brandon. So uh, he, he ha- I, I would be much less concerned if I was your age. 
Yeah, and it's like when there's so many people outside, what are you going to do? Sit inside? Tickle, are you still following American sports during all this? Yes, I am. I, yes, I am. I know you're. I know that was one thing that was really interesting uh, when I first met you. You know more about American sports than any other non-American I think I've I've met in a long time. What do you think about? Uh, let me try to remember. Were you you're a baseball fan, right? Yeah, I'm a Mets fan. Mets fan. Yep, I was just going to say that. What do you yeah. think? Two things of the new rules that they started this year that you no know, DH. Uh, I'm sorry. The second the base. Thing. Yeah, the second basing, the DH. Now there's a new rule about the double headers going seven innings. So, what do you think of the new rules? And secondly, do you think they're going to finish this 60 game season? Uh, I think all the new rules are terrible. So do I. Yeah, Good man. But um, about the season finishing, I'm not sure. Like, uh, I hope so, but I'm I'm not optimistic. But we've just had in the UK, in Europe. Months ago, football started, like soccer started back up with like no fans in attendance, just like you guys have. And the seasons have finished now. Everything played out fine, but we didn't have any outbreaks. So I don't know what, what's happening in the U.S. to make it so bad. Well, I think Brandon hit on it pretty well that they're just not uh, – the, the baseball – the way they did it, the baseball players are too free to go do what they want when uh, they're not playing and and then some it just takes a few of them to catch it and spread it around the clubhouse and and then you got a big problem sure. so that's uh, that that's what whereas, they're doing wrong whereas i don't know i don't know how much you've read about this uh tickle but basketball they're literally yeah. in like a bubble and that's what they call it but they're literally in this in secure disney, right? campus yeah right at disney where yeah. nobody's you know there's literally a virtual line whereas if a player crosses it it doesn't matter who it is uh, you know, a foot, two feet, inches even, they're not allowed to come back and, and, you know, see their teammates, be a part of it. They have to re-quarantine, you know, I think it was four four days, maybe even a week. So they're doing it right because they're blocking everybody off, you know, from society, like, you know, the interactions. But baseball, like, you know, you go home, you're with your wife and your kids, but you don't know where they've been. And then the people that have been with them, where they've been, and it's just, it, it's, it's yeah, impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, the way they did it, it's impossible. But more so than anything, I think the rules suck. And I think it just it's ridiculous that a game that's been around this many... I think history is going to show that the commissioner of baseball, this Rob Manfield, is going to end up being the worst commissioner of all time of, of baseball, maybe even any other sport. He's just tinkered with it too much. And baseball in general is a game of, you know, story traditionalists that love the history mm-hmm. of the game and, you know, all these changes in such a short amount of time to try to compensate for the fact that the younger generation, you know, doesn't have patience. Like it's ridiculous because that's what a lot of this is about. The speed of play is, you know, an attempt to preserve, you know, amongst the younger generation that just get bored too quickly. And that's why they, you know, the, the rule about what is it? The pitcher has to face three batters yes, minimum before yes, you can pull them. Three batters, yeah. yeah. And second base on uh, the tenth inning. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing. We've talked about all this, but it's terrible. It's terrible. Like you're just I agree, hundred percent. Ruining it. I mean, it just baseball is like a game of chess. Like there's, it's matchups. It's taking your time. It's being deliberate. That's part of the appeal of the game. You know, that's why I think more than more than you know most sports, like a baseball manager can literally win you or lose you. I don't know. What would you guys say? Like the, the the best manager in baseball versus the worst manager. What would you say on a 162-game season the swing is? 
Like how many games? The you know you take the best manager now. Okay, Jeff, who do you think the best manager is right now in baseball? Um, if you had to just hmm. tactician wise, you know whatever. Yeah, you know, see, I'm right. not I'm not sure, uh, but I I've always felt that actually the baseball manager is less important than like the the head coach on a basketball team. That I th- I think the baseball manager uh, is in the regular season at least is uh, a lot of these decisions kind of make themselves in the postseason. That's where things can start to become uh, very magnified. And, and because it's, yeah, a, you know because it's like a I sprint, kind of, you've, got, you've got to make some very important decisions and you can screw it up. I kind of agree. But then you look at someone like Joe Madden, who just everywhere he's gone, you know, part of it's the motivational part. He's a great motivational, ta- you know, but he's also a good tactician. Even if he's kind of like a gambler, he's won everywhere. He's gone to... Two fail franchises, and now he's probably going to do it at a third. Don't doubt him that he's going to turn these angels around. And I don't know. Well, anyhow, but nonetheless, then, even if that's what you you think, what do you think the best manager versus the worst is worth in wins in a 162-game season? If you had a guess, what number do you throw out there? Uh, maybe four. Really? Yeah. I don't yeah, think I meant What Tickle, what do, you, what do you, same question, what do you think? I was going to say like ten. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Ten's a lot. Ten's a lot of games. I mean, yeah, but there's so many intricacies in which I I just you might not even notice they're there. But I, I, I I think I think in the postseason there can be tremendous differences because there's, uh, as I said, there's some major decisions you have to make in the postseason that you don't make during the the regular season, and that if you do it wrong, you screw up. And we've seen examples of that, and not just Monday morning quarterbacking, but just decisions that yeah. are just really and, stupid but you know in basketball i tend to disagree because basketball is just more like listen you could have the best coach or the worst coach if the talent's there okay like you know take this lakers team with lebron james and you know anthony davis you could have you could have popovich as a coach or you could have the, the guy who's there now from frank vogel it's not like he's it was a household name before this i don't think I think the difference is neg- negligible. I mean, well, I really do. Okay, that, well, that's that's. I see. I say that's a little different because, yes, the talent in basketball is more important than the talent in any other sport. In that uh, you have you have superstar players on the team. If you, if you have a few of them, then the team just uh, is going to crush other teams, regardless of who is the coach of either team. That uh, the team with the, the the bad team has is just going to get stomped on. Uh, except for some fluke outlier games, you're, you're, they're going to get stomped on just about every time by the good team because the talent matters so much there. And and, all, and in the postseason, like how often do you you don't see many upsets where eighth round teams in the NBA playoffs uh, uh, make it's it past the twice. first round. Yeah, it's it, it, twice. it doesn't happen often. So so uh, it, the first round is almost a throwaway for the for the upper. And I'm sorry. Let me, teams. let me also emphasize. The two times it happened, it was when the first round was the best of five. It's never happened in the best of seven where an eight's beaten a one. Yeah. So, so, so that, so, yeah. and, and in baseball, that that's very often where the team that's uh, the underdog ends up winning, because because there's much more variance in baseball. So, so yes, it's just a difference in sports. But I, I still feel that uh, the the coach is important. You have to have the talent there. You're never going to have a coach motivating a a mediocre or bad team to become. A champion. It just can't happen in basketball, and that's that's one big weakness of basketball. Is you can at the beginning of the season, you can look and you can eliminate uh, the vast majority but, of the league. Right, as but, a but that's why champion. in baseball, I think you know when 
managers, you know, have to determine over a season how to manage their pitchers, how to not burn them out, you know, how to adjust the lineups. That's why I think there's way more strategy in baseball in terms of a manager making a difference. I mean, you know, how you handle your starting pitching and, and your bullpen so they're not completely exhausted and done when the games matter, you know, getting through what they call the dog days of summer. I think those are, you know, almost as important as any other managing aspect in the sport. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Well, here, here's one problem, though. In more modern times, and I believe this is happening with the Dodgers, you you have some of these strong general managers and or presidents of operations who have decided that they're basically going to manage the game and they turn the manager into a yeah. puppet. But that's that's more recent within like the last three to five yes, years. Yes, it was never more, like that. Before. No, I know, I know it's recent, but, but that's uh, but like, that's happening. But once more they and more. got rid of once they got rid of the legends, like you know the Lou Pinellas and you know those guys, the lifers. Now they're, you know, we talked about this. They're bringing in these managers, are paying them a million dollars, eight hundred thousand, you know, a year, and they're being micromanaged at every level. Like I don't even consider the managers. Like they're just they're being told, like you just said, every level what to do. You know, which is kind of kind of a shame. It, you know? it is a shame. Like, and 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 I wonder, like with with Dave Roberts of the Dodgers, like how much when there is a bad decision made, I go, oh, wait a minute, this not, may not this may not yeah, have been not him. This, this this I, I think it's I think it's coming yeah. from Andrew Friedman above him, and he's he's just the puppet, and he's uh, he has to do it, and uh, he doesn't have a lot of. And I th- in fact, I think that's part of the reason why Don Mattingly ended up leaving the Dodgers because he's an old school guy, and I don't think he was ever going to be a puppet. You know, I mean, you know what I mean, and just not be able to have the input that he felt like and the respect he felt like he earned, you know, being in baseball for 40 plus years or whatever it's been. Um, but no, that's something relatively new. All these young, that's why like last year, obviously before it didn't work out because of the, the scandal in Houston, you can get a guy named Beltran to manage the Mets or someone that is totally inexperienced because they don't really need to do as much now before that, that would have been unheard of. Like putting these guys that just retired a year or two ago right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You had to work 10, 15, 20 years sometimes to get your shot. But now because it's, it's so limited that, you know, they're told who to start. They're told who to pitch. They're told, you know, they're kind of just glorified babysitters to a degree. You know, I mean, it's the truth. Someone like someone like Joe Madden isn't. Like he would never have taken that Angels job if he wasn't going to have the kind of input that he wanted. Like, you know, because he's – you know, an older guy. He's been around. He's managing in the 80s and 90s. So, anyhow. Um, so, so, think... so, Mr. Tickle, I have a question for you. You still here? Yeah. No. Uh, yep. So, how do you feel about this uh, new season? Do you have an interest in it, or are you disgusted enough with the rules that you, you don't want to watch it? No, I'm interested. Like, baseball bike. So, that's the most important thing. I just want something to watch. Especially now, uh, the football, the soccer season's finished in Europe, so it's now it's baseball time for me. Well, Mr. Tickle, my advice is enjoy it as much as you can, because I think when we go live on air next Thursday, the season likely will be canceled. Unfortunately, yeah, that'll be sad, but uh, it's it's very possible. It's just better to have something than nothing, I think. Well, you're gonna have basketball. I mean, you're gonna have the NBA. Uh, you know, football is going to be starting within a month. So, yeah, no, I agree. Did, I agree. Did you see the whole, speaking of basketball, did you see the whole drama with Sweet Lou and going to the strip club? 
Oh, with the chicken wings. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was a funny story. Well, the guy... for those that don't know, go ahead and tell the audience. You know, yeah, okay. I, so, 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 so Sweet Lou Williams, who the, the the Lakers shouldn't have gotten rid of. He's he's such a good scorer. The guy comes off the bench and just just puts up points. He's not. He doesn't play defense, but uh, you you need a guy to come off the bench and put up like quick points for you. He's he's really good. He keeps winning the Six Man of the Year award. He's been on the Clippers for a long time uh, since leaving the Lakers. Uh, Sweet Lou went, uh, he, he violated these protocols about, uh, having to stay on property. And, no, that's not what happened. Well, no, 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 sorry. He, he was able to, he left on property for some, that's right. His, his, his I think, approve, I think his grandmother approval. died or was sick or something like that. Yeah. And he, he got approval. That's right. And while he was out. He decided to stop by this strip club where he had been a number of times in the past, and in fact, they liked him so much at this place they actually had some chicken wings named after him there. So he claimed the only reason he stopped by was to quickly grab the chicken wings, which he loved. He said the the and the story was actually validated at first because he was able to point to previous interviews long before COVID, where he talked about loving those chicken wings. So he said, look, right, I, but, I've proven that. But then, unfortunately, the story unraveled because uh, some of the strippers there said no, that, that he was actually uh, not just in not and out like happened. he claimed. That's not what happened. They, uh, sorry, I don't mean to be harsh. There were no strippers actually on the property, believe it or not. What ended up happening was there was – I've never heard of him, but there was a famous rapper that was there when he was there in the club, and he tweeted – and put on Instagram a picture of the two of them in the club. And Lou Williams was wearing a mask that was given to him from the bubble. Okay, so it from the the NBA had issued it to him while they were there in the bubble. And once the rapper realized what he had done, they he, they took it down. But you know, it's in, it's social media. People Actually, copied well, it. Hold on. People hold, saved it. Hold on, you, I'm you're, sorry? you're partially wrong here. There, no, there, there is not. there no there is a dancer. Go look it up. Go Google it. There is okay, a uh, I, there. It says a a woman who was a dancer from three to nine p.m. said she danced um, last week for him, okay. and that uh, okay. He well, Lou Williams had claimed there were, there were no dancers while he was there, but anyhow, the story fell apart because he was wearing an NBA issued bubble mask that couldn't he couldn't say I was there eight months ago, a year ago, six months ago because he's wearing a mask that he just got a week ago, so. That's how. Okay, that's no, how no, it but so that, that's that's the disconnect we have here. This was after that, where he admitted he was there, but said he was just there to quickly pick up chicken wings, and and leave. So that uh, yes, he was there, uh, but that it was just he walked in, got okay. the chicken wings, and walked out, and then it fell apart because a stripper said that she actually danced for him while he was there this time, not not eight months ago, but she she danced for him this time, and she was working the day shift from three to nine p.m. that day. And okay. and uh, and she even well, said he, she, she said he tipped absolute, very well, but I guess she didn't. He didn't tip well enough to get her to keep her mouth shut. Nonetheless, it's absolutely ridiculous that he's playing for a championship and he would do that. Like, what are these people thinking? Like, it just <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Crazy. So he had to come back and quarantine. I think for seven days. And I think it's ten do, actually. I think he went from four or, to ten because of this. Okay. And what they have to do is they literally stay in their room. For you know, they can't leave the room. It's it's amazing. Like think about that. Like, you know, these NBA players that are used to the nightlife and just you know, imagine them just having to sit in a room for ten days. 
without any interaction. Like, oh, well, all you can do is what? Just watch movies, play video games, talk on the phone. That's all you really can do, huh? Yep. But they're getting a lot of money, so I can't feel too bad for them. No, of course. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, they they, uh, they opened up not last night, the night before. So on uh, Thursday, the Lakers played the Clippers. It was actually did, – did either one of you see that game? Um, first game back, the Lakers actually, and the Clippers? Actually, no, I did not. I meant to, but I did not end up seeing it. Okay. It was actually a good game. It came right down yeah, to I the wire. Yeah, I saw that. I kind of regretted not watching it. Yeah. LeBron James made, you know, a clutch shot with a few seconds left, and they, they won by, I think, two points. So maybe three, two or three. But uh, anyhow, I have to run, guys. Uh, I have to jump in the shower and get going. I'm really saying goodbye for good. Tickle, thanks for calling in. It's a pleasure. I've always enjoyed interacting with you. And Druff, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back on Thursday, right, buddy? We will be back on Thursday. That is the projected uh, next date of the show, uh, Thursday, August the 6th. We'll be on around the same time. And uh, so I can't make it on Friday or Saturday this week. Thank you, Mr. Tickle, for calling in. And I, I'm done. I, I, I'm kind of done, too, so I don't have any more topics. Tickle, what the, what time is it where you're at right now? Uh, five in the evening, afternoon. Jesus. All right. Seven a.m. Yeah, it's like over perfect here. time for me, this, uh, this radio show. Yeah, he wants us to do it this time all the time, 7 a.m. <laughs> all right. Yeah, no. By the way, anyone, thank, thank you guys. anyone listening right now who's saying, oh, good, I'll just catch it in the archives in a few minutes, uh, bad news for you. I, it's, it's late enough here, I guess early enough for, I, 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 I don't have the patience for that right now. I'm, just like last week, I'm, I'm going to sleep for a while and I'll put it up later today. So it'll be there, but not right away. Make sure you point out how I came. I left. I came back, left, went to sleep, came back again. That's true. It's been a weird show co-host-wise. Not only did you do that, we also had four co-hosts to start, and and then we had zero for some point. Too many many cooks in the kitchen. And then not enough cooks. It was just me for a while. Well, at least we didn't apparently offend any of the Daniellos out there that are in the poker. Well, give it time. I might might hear something later. I might hear something. All right. I'm going to say shalom, boys. I am out of here. You all have a great day. Good evening, Mr. Tickle. We'll talk soon. We'll do it again. Okay. Thank you. See you, Brendan. All right. Thank you, Mr. Tickle, for the call, and uh, we will talk to you later. No problem. All right. Have a good day. See you. Bye. All right. I'm just going to finish this off myself. Everybody's off. I'm just going to finish the show without anyone here. I kind of like this version. This is the jazzy version by Ray Conniff. The original was done by Roger Kellaway, who amazingly is still alive. Roger Kellaway, who composed the end song for All in the Family in 1969, is still alive. Which is surprising. I don't know about this Ray Conniff. But this version was made for Archie Bunker's Place. I kind of like the horns in the background. Okay, August 6th is the next show. Our regular day is going to be Friday, so we're not permanently moving to Thursday, but this upcoming week's going to be Thursday. Thank you once again for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio during these crazy times. If you're in a state badly affected by COVID-19, just wait it out. 
give it a few months, it'll be better. Not all better, but it'll be substantially better than it is right now. It doesn't feel like it, but it will be. Just be smart about it. It's a serious matter. You don't want to get it, especially if you're over 40. And I think everything will come back soon enough. Like, casinos right now aren't fun anyway. You go to a casino now, it's not the same as you what you remember before. It's a, like a very watered-down, crappy version. So find something else to do. little tip from me, if you want to go out into nature, don't go where everybody else is going. Think of your first choice of where you'd want to go nature-wise, and don't go there. Look for things off the beaten path. You'll have a much better time, and you'll have a lot fewer people around to give you COVID. That's my Jew tip for the week. Good night, good morning, and shalom.